So this is test, 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 JD. Test, 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 Connor. Test, 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 JD. Test, test, test. Does this look good for me? This looks good for me. Connor, how do you sound? I think I sound good, but I'm gonna, you're the only one who'd know. Yeah, I think this is good. Um, okay, so... Uh, Connor, here we are. Hi, JD. Episode 5, how are you? I'm pretty good, overall. Uh, this is the longest we've gone between new episodes. It is. How? Um, what was the date of our last episode? Uh, was it June? I feel like it must have been June, June right? July, it was the beginning of summer, August. so we... Yeah, I so think we had, it was. We had a whole season, basically. I mean, it overlapped seasons, so we, we had a summer show, which was June, and now we're into autumn. Right, we skipped over. Yeah, exactly. Um, sorry. What are you speaking levels? Um, uh, there, there's always. I just, I just now posted. I, while JD was setting the levels, I was taking care of the social media duties of posting vines, promoting the show we're going to appear in later tonight during the recording of this. And JD is always so worried about the levels because if we were doing a short podcast, you wouldn't be as stressed about it. No. It's the fact that we could conceivably record for 12 hours and then you'll realize afterwards that the levels are somehow not quite right. Right. And the problem is that you and I have different voices. Yep. And now we have different mics. And that's the problem, but it's also like the problem is rooted in what I think is good. Anyways, I'm immediately back. Like, I, I'm always like, no, it'll be fine. It's fine every time. And then my neuroses immediately st- flares up the moment we start talking. Yeah. And that'll um, never change. No, I think even once we get a budget for this show and we're recording it with multi-million dollar equipment. When we're at Abbey Road recording. Oh, that, let's start a, if, if we want to start, no, I don't want to get to a Kickstarter or a petition drive or anything like that. Let's just put it in our minds right now that at some point the goal is to do one of these episodes from Abbey Road. <laughs> maybe not the studios, maybe just from that crossing so that people can tune in. You know, there's that webcam that you can look at. Right. The the Abbey Road crossing at any time of day or night. Yeah. I remember when I first discovered that, I thought, I'm going to watch this all the time. <laughs> yeah, and then after, then you watch it for like three minutes and it seems like an hour you've been watching it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so it's been months and months and months since we've last checked in. And lots of, lots of things have happened uh, yeah. in those months. They've been eventful and... Uh, Interesting bit of trivia because most of the time JD and I do not spend 12 hours together. So it is interesting to note that oh, yeah. during the, this time, JD and I have spent two entire 12 plus hour days together. Wait, what were the two? I know the one was just last week. We did Fear Bazaar uh-huh. at the and UCB, the, which was a I thought 12 you were, hour long show. I thought you were going to remember the other one and not that, not this one, because I was specifically pushing for us to be recording on the other 12 hour day. And um, you were like, no, which was Chris Gethard's wedding. Yes. Uh, which was at a, uh, Jewish summer camp. Um, so a, I mean, a that... lot of the time was fun and hanging out and things like that. It would have been, uh, I think we we could have done it. It sounds uh, borderline inappropriate to do that at someone's wedding, but I actually do think that at that wedding, I'm glad we didn't do it because I think it would have stressed you out and you were only there very briefly. You you flew in and flew out uh, and it, and you would have been worried about it the whole time. Right. But 
if we remove that aspect from it, it wouldn't have been inappropriate at the tone of that wedding. No, I mean, we're sort of jumping into like, this is like, it feels like um, the Aeneid where it starts sort of in the middle yeah. and then sort of like backtracks to how they got there. But like, it would have been possible at the tenor of that wedding. Yeah. But I had literally gotten back. When I arrived at the wedding, uh-huh. I had been traveling for 14 hours straight Yeah. when I arrived there. I think that would have provided a tone that we're not ever going to get in another episode of this. I don't think there's ever going to be another episode. Oh, maybe not. I, I shouldn't predict what your life is going to be like. There may well be an episode that is preceded by 14 hours of travel on your part. Right. And also, like, I don't even remember me at that wedding. I was There was a lot of times I was just sitting there quietly in a chair, just, like, staring at the ground. Yeah. I would have talked during those parts. Yeah. Yeah, but we there's so many friends also, around. I, think I know, but that would have been that would have helped fill up the content. You know, like we would have had so many guest shots on. Chris would have hated it. Also, that's would, the thing is, he would have hated it. That was the main reason why we didn't do it. Although I will say this, he would have hated it, uh, but he also wouldn't have noticed it as much as he uh, would have thought he would have noticed it. Yeah, yeah, and I agree with that. Ten years from now, he probably would have loved having the document of it. Right. He probably would have, 10 years from now, he would have been like, oh, it's cool that there's this weird 12-hour audio document of a lot of different people who were at my wedding. Right. Which I feel about just our day-to-day lives. Yes. I think it's interesting. Um, Which, actually, you know what? I'm going to ask our viewers to... Listeners. Uh, okay. Uh, no, we say both. They're both. Some people are viewer looking. listeners. Yes. So I like to imagine some people are looking at whatever the metadata screen is right. with the little photo and stuff. Or if you just look at a picture of us while we talk. Yeah. That, I wonder if anyone does it. They just bring up, they bring up, they search, search our names, bring up photos of us and stare at it for 12 hours as we talk. Yeah. What should I Google search to see what image people are looking at? Just 12 hour day? Uh, no. Search Connor Ratliff and JD Amato. Okay. Separately and see what the first I'm going to put them both together. I know okay. what my, I know what images will come up for me for just regular ones. It'll be like I bet headshots or something. You know what? I bet it's, I bet it'll be a promo, not quote promo, but I bet it'll be our twelve-hour day photo. Yeah, probably. But I'm more interested in what comes up other than that. Right. Um, Do you have my Wi-Fi still? Yeah, it's Good. saved in here. Yeah. Um, the first, the very first image that comes up, if you search for Connor Ratliff J dot D dot Amato, no quotes at all. Right. Is a photo of my dad that looks like you. Oh right. <laughs> it's that. It's. That's the very first image is that. Then there's my uh, headshot from the UCB page. Then there's a photo of all of the stepfathers except for one who were at the DCM a couple of years ago. That's the third image. Then there's the 12-hour day. Then there's a... Here are the stepfathers, uh, not including J.D. Amato, who's never been a member. <laughs> is that the caption? I guess so. And then there's your name written in like a childish, fun script. Okay. Then there's the original 12-hour day logo. Then there's uh, Should We Keep Doing the Show TCGS image, which is Jesse Vanderberg uh, from the Beef Off oh, right. kind of pose. Um, yeah. Interesting. Um, Lots of interesting things come up then. What was, what was I saying anyways? I completely forget. Oh. Oh, oh. Here's what I would like our viewers, listeners to do is hide a 12-hour day episode somewhere online. Because my fear is, I don't want these to be lost to time. Like if like the server that we host these on goes down, I have the files. But like, 
you know, it's like we're never going to lose Star Wars because there's like a thousand digital copies everywhere. You know what I mean? And like we're not going to lose like there's certain things we just can't lose because it's just like stuck everywhere. Yeah. So if you could just print out every episode of 12 Hour Day, whatever that means, or if you could upload it to other things, like if you have like a safe yeah, a bury, safe it. bury it in various places online, put it in your uh, digital locker. I wonder if someone could put it on archive.org. I know they do. I know they do that. Yeah. I don't know how to do that though. Yeah, I don't I'd know. look into that. Um, if any of our viewer listeners know how to do that, let us know. I'm sure our viewer listeners know where how to how to hide stuff online, how to store stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, um, man, it's been a long time. A lot has happened. Mm-hmm. Now, JD, can't. I'm eating a chocolate, a dark chocolate almond. Right. In case viewers, viewer listeners want to know what that noise is, um, Connor, Connor has brought like a a lunch with him that mm-hmm. he set out on my coffee table in front of him. Yeah, just preparing for lunch. Well, cause which one, is fine because that you know I have lunch here that I can eat also. Yeah, it just makes things easier than having to go out and get lunch. <clears throat> yeah, I just figure we're in JD's apartment. We should say that. Oh right, yeah, we're here in Astoria, Queens, and JD has a lot of work to do possibly today. Yes. So we've decided it's not going to be an exploration adventure today. To the point that I, we almost canceled it because I was stressed out with the fact that I have a lot a lot to get done. And that's the thing. That's one thing we should address right up front, which is I feel like I can talk about almost everything like in terms of the last three months. Right. J.D., there are a lot of things going on with you that you can't talk about. Uh, business things. Yes. That, are, of- that, would be, uh, that would be improper for you to like go into. Right, there's um, a lot of classified things in my life right now, which are, they're all good things. Yeah. And they're all, um, you know, here's the interesting thing, is that um, I I feel like I've talked a lot, I feel like in an episode I talked a lot about all the stress and stuff like that I was dealing with. I've sort of never been in a more comfortable sort of mental state right now, even though I have a lot more things going on that are a lot higher stakes. It's like I feel like I've gotten to a point where I'm feeling very... Um, Zen? Yeah, I feel like I can... You're trying to think, you were trying to think of a word other than Zen yeah. to say about it. Well, to me, it's just like if, um, I feel under control. I feel like I have control of these things now, which I think just comes with, I guess, experience. Yeah. Because I feel like this last year has probably been the lo- largest leap in going from... Like this time last year... What was happening October... No, November... Of going into production on the pilot of Cop Show. Now you've, I think that might be the, this might be the, that might be the first time you've named it on the podcast because previously, oh yeah, we've talked we've talked in cryptic terms about Cop Show, right, uh, on the podcast, but you've never named it, you've never said what it is. That this is a little bit of breaking news. Well, let me double check something. Oh, you do we have to bleep what you just said? No, 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 I don't think so. I hope this doesn't get delayed because of that. No, it won't. If I can find one Google result for it. Um, yeah, I'm looking at my IMDb right now. Yeah, it's up. IMDb. Uh, is it? Yeah, the cop show. Oh, yeah. TV movie 2014 is how it's uh, yeah. classified. Right. Okay, yeah. So, yeah. You can look on. Yeah, you can look on my... IMDb and C. That's the pilot. That's the pilot. Um, 
I don't know who put it up there or why they did. Um, who knows why people do the things they do? Uh, Split Sider talked to Colin Quinn last January about Cop Show. Right. Um, I didn't see this at the time. Um, yeah, I think he just offhandedly referenced it. Yeah. I feel like that was inevitable. Yeah. Because he's such an offhanded, like, he, he strikes me. I don't know anything about him, so I'm just, this, I can say We're whatever about I want. Colin Quinn, right? Colin now. Quinn, yeah. Uh, he always strikes me as someone that, that, like, if you had a project and you talked to him about it, that unless he'd been really, really told, like, you can't talk about this, that someone's been like, yeah, yeah, I was working on this. Yeah, he's, like, one of the most down-to-earth guys in terms of, like, yeah, very little pretense around him, very little. He's just sort of, like, he's sort of, um, it sounds, it sounds like such a cliche, but he's kind of get like, just tells it like it is. Yeah. Well, that's and the like, way, like you, you never, he's never hiding how he's feeling about something. You remember remote control? Yeah. Yeah. I think that would have been when most people of my generation first saw him. Right. Yeah. Uh, yes. And then people that are probably my age probably knew him from, um, weekend update, weekend update. On SNL, but also... Um, what was that show where he was like just talking about the issues on right, Comedy exactly. Central? Um, oh, God, I feel like a jerk. Like right a now. jerk? Oh, God, um, jerk. The show was called Tough Crowd with Colin That's Quinn. right, yeah. Which was... What years was that? It was Tough Crowd. I feel like that... I don't know. I don't remember how long that show lasted. Uh, but it always felt like... Uh, it feels. It almost felt like that show was a little bit ahead of its time, just in terms of like, uh, like, like talking head panel show kind of. Or thing. just like the the tone of it feels a little bit more like if it was on now, it would have more of a following or something. Or yeah, the weird thing about that show, I think, is that maybe on Comedy Central it had a limited shelf life. But if that show had been on like a twenty four hour news network, right, it would be like the biggest hit show on on. Like MSNBC or exactly. something. Like if it was on a, of course it would probably would have no budget if it was on one of those. Right. You wouldn't be able to afford the kind of funny people that, that you would get on that show. Right. But it's weird to me when like, uh, like as I'll go on. I mean, we don't. We try to be positive on this show. And I may have, I may have shit on this show before. Uh, I try uh, as the worst thing on television. What show is that? Uh, the Five. You ever seen The Five? No. It's a show on Fox News. Uh, that it's on, I think, at 5 o'clock. Okay. Uh, and it's five people. And it's sort of spearheaded by uh, c- comedian Greg Gutfeld. Okay. And anytime I've watched that show, I find it to be... I've, I've stumbled across it every now and then when I'm flipping around and I'm looking to see. And I will, in a grotesque fashion flip to Fox News every now and then just to see like what is happening on this channel because it's almost always something that bothers me. Right. And that show I think bothers me maybe more than any other one because I have a thing about and it's not just the political aspect of it because I mean it is a lineup of it's almost all conservatives. Right. Uh and then there's one liberal guy who's a nightmare cuz he's this old like Red hair, old red-haired man that is kind of like a prisoner of war. So I mean, it's it's like this is a guy who probably couldn't get a gig on MSNBC. So instead, kind of like how like for a while Pat Buchanan served this role on MS. He was an MSNBC commentator, and it felt a little bit like they'd captured him, and he was forced to come on and be like the conservative, crazy old man. Right. This is like they have a crazy old liberal who makes 
bad arguments. Like he's embarrassing to me. Even like I don't like it when he says something that I agree with because I'll be like, ah, oh, right. This guy makes even things I agree with seem like bad ideas. Right. And that's why he's on the show. He's there to be like the clownish old liberal who can't string together a coherent argument. Right. But the thing that bothers me about the show more than anything is that I find Greg Gutfeld to be maybe the least funny person trying to be funny that I've ever seen. Uh, like when he tries to do comedy bits, I, f- I find it painful. But he's, in, but he's on a show where everyone thinks he's the funniest guy in the room. Right. And it is like beyond just a conservative thing, it also bothers me just when, not that there aren't some funny journalists, but there's a lot of laughter on cable news well, I have this I have this sort of thing that I've been thinking about recently. Yeah. Um where like right now we're sort of in a comedy boom. Yeah. Like they always talk about how in like the eighties there was like the stand up boom. There was a stand up boom. I feel like now we're back to there's no element of our culture, of American culture right yeah. now that does not contain comedy. Like, no matter what yeah. figure you are, no matter what line of work you in. Everyone is trying to be funny, yeah, to appeal to people comedically, which is insane to me. Like our president does at least like, one. He does at least one thirty to forty minute stand up set per right. year. Like he makes jokes, yeah, and like at press conferences for like insane things, they make jokes, yeah. Like our commercials for like products that used to be like the most serious product in the world. Are now comedic. Yeah. Our insurance commercials, commercials for insurance, feature fucking talking pigs and talking frogs and fucking non sequitur bullshit. Yeah. Because right now, for whatever reason, the zeitgeist has moved in such a way that everyone's like, oh, we need to soften the blow of everything going on right now by making people laugh first. Yeah. To the point that it's, it's made, I think, comedy weaker. And it's made, like, the rest of the world weaker. I think, well... Like, it's just, it's mixed all the colors together to the point that it's become a murky brown. I I wouldn't necessarily say it's made comedy weaker. It's made it so... I mean, like, I think what it's done is... Um, it's It's like with anything, where when there were three networks on TV there was a certain percentage of bad shows. And now that there's hundreds of channels, there are, it may be that there's a higher percentage of bad TV shows than there used to be because there's just more channels, but there's still more good stuff than you would ever possibly have time to experience. I think there's probably more good comedy happening now than maybe ever. But there's also way more bad comedy happening than maybe ever. So it's in some ways – it's also I think if you, if you have taste in it, I think it's easier to find good comedy now than it maybe was at a certain point. Like you can still – like there's still like stuff I know I'll find funny that I have not gotten around to watching. Like I haven't seen Children's Hospital and right. I know I'll like it. Right. But I just haven't had time. I, I always some, – there's always something else – taking my attention and that's like on my back burner of like I gotta watch that show at some point I gotta watch the spinoff from that show I gotta watch you know like I gotta watch 
right. these things. Is so there it's, a spinoff from Children's Hospital? Yeah, there's the one that uh, um, um, Paul Shear did that. That's like a spoof of... Um, Oh, Law and Order. Of NCIS. I can never remember the, the it's SVU. Uh, uh, I can re- never remember the full acronym for it. But. NSFW SVU. Uh, yeah. But it, the like first that. word is something. I don't know. Uh, our, our viewer listeners are annoyed as, right they now. Are. They're, they're as yelling they're, out. They're yelling out yeah. the, the proper things. And I don't care. I don't. I, when I start watching it, I, I will learn. And I've seen bits of it, and I know I like it. Um. JD's printing out a bunch of stuff right now. He's multitasking like crazy. Yeah. So, like, to me, that, I guess it, I know what you mean about the, if you think of comedy as a big lake or a big, <laughs> I didn't mean that to be a reference to Chris Gethard's failed sitcom, but if you imagine it's like a large body of water, uh, the, uh, <laughs> it, it's like, easy. You know, to, like it's, an it's, Iron Man, th- uh, no. Um, if you imagine it as a large lagoon, uh, it's easy to imagine that there's so much toxic or, or undrinkable, un- hazardous, if bad comedy is stuff that ruins the body of water, right? there's a lot of that. But the analogy, I would say, breaks down in the sense that you can choose, there is a way of living in a very good-sized portion of that lake where it's just great. Right. And maybe that's a bigger and nicer section than we've ever had before. Like, I think if you lived in 1950, you'd have access to a lot of good comedy on the radio, on television. But you'd actually have a... You'd be able... I think you'd be able to get... If, if J.D. Amato and I moved back to 1950, we moved back right. in time, we'd be able to get through, I think, all of the good comedy that existed in mass media pretty easily. Right. Now that would be, it would be um, really hard to do. Yeah, um, I feel like I mentioned this last time yeah. on one of the episodes, but like, there's sort of the theory of like, um, at what not a theory, but it's like the, uh, sort of like it's a philosophical question. Like, mm-hmm. at what, who was the last person to have read every book? Yeah, you did bring that up, and it fascinated me. Um, and likewise, I think about that where it's like. How much content is being created right now? Mm. It's too much. Like, if you looked at the actual numbers of it, of like, it's literally impossible for everyone to get their things seen. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah, even just thinking about like, well, Robin Williams died in the interim uh, in the three months that we were off the air. Yeah. So that's a huge thing that is almost like faded in, out of the overall social it's happened so long ago now that it's no longer at the top of everyone's right. awareness um but talking about the numbers of people who watched episodes of Mork and Mindy even at the point where it was considered like oh the ratings are down right are staggering like at the height of that the idea that like 40 million people were tuning in to watch Mork and Mindy right and and now it's it's like a godsend if you can get like 3 million people to watch something you're making yeah um and I, you know, I, I was talking to someone recently about um, just the way that, well, like, like uh, I was, uh, I'm going to name drop some people. I'm going to name right, drop some it. people. Drop it. It's time for the, the uh, celebrity name drop. Well, I did Ask Cat last night and 
I was look at you. Oh my! And now how, how you've you've now been a frequent ass cat performer. Yeah, I mean, I was doing it pretty regularly at the beginning of the year, and then uh, they've started expanding like the pool of people who do it a little bit. So I was doing it sort of like monthly ish. Right. Lately, I've been doing it a little more frequently. I don't know if it's just coming in waves. Sometimes it's that I think uh, there's a lot of people available, and then there's some weekends where there aren't. And it, on weekends when there aren't a lot of people available, those are weekends that I tend to do it, I think. Right. But, but there have been a few times lately where I've been there, and then um, people have been showing up to do it. But uh, like Jack McBrayer is in town filming the, the um, uh, Jack and Triumph. He, right. His adult swim show with uh, Triumph the Insult Comic Dog, which I'm a anticipating is going to be I'm really looking forward to that I think it's going to be really fun um, but um, monologues last night was uh, Brooks Whelan and, from uh, from SNL who's been doing the Gethard show a little bit lately and um, Tim Robinson who was a performer and is now uh, um, still a writer at SNL and Brooks is hilarious Tim is probably one of the funniest like just for like pure like everything he does when he steps out on stage is funny, like. Uh, right, t- I've heard when he performs, it's like I haven't seen him, but people have said that like when he steps out on stage, just like he can sit down and get a uproarious. Yeah. He can get like an applause break for like, like responding yes or no to a question. Yeah, I mean, there are times. There are times when I've. When I've shown up to do, when I've been asked to do ASCAT, and then people will, every now and then I'll have a feeling of like, um, like there was a point last night where Tim stepped out to do something, and it was almost like the feeling of um, being made redundant. That that like he stepped out to do this character, and I thought like, oh, like why am I even here? Like like he's doing the thing that. If he wasn't here, I would have done like a lesser version of what he's doing, maybe. Uh, right. That, like, he stepped out and did this, like, total weirdo character that I'm like, that feels like a kind of character I would do, but I'm like, I would never think to do it the way he's doing it. And it was almost like, not in a bad way, it was almost a feeling of like, oh, I don't need to, I can just stay on this back line. I'm not needed in this show. Right. Um, That's a weird feeling, though. Yeah, I mean, I, it's a weird feeling to see someone. You know, I always, I always feel that same way too. As like, um, recently I was at a party and someone was introducing, like, was introducing someone to me, and they were going, "Oh, this person is like, like they're doing really great, we're doing really interesting stuff. It's stuff that you would really love." Like, yeah. And they were like, "Oh, you should meet JD. He was sort of the person in our generation that did stuff like that." In my head, I was like, "Yeah, that's cool. I'm glad. Like, like we'll." Uh, like I'm glad that you do stuff like that, but it's also like, oh no. Well, yeah, yeah. Not oh no, but like, well, we don't need to meet. Well, because like, because we both do the same thing. Yeah, in a similar way, uh, not related to this, but like sometimes people will make that assumption that like, oh my god, you have to meet this person. You will love him. You are just like him. Right. And I often think like, oh no, I won't. Like, <laughs> I will be, I will be like frustrated to meet this person. I, I and that's not the case with Tim Robinson. He's delightful. Right. But it was more just like sometimes in improv you'll be like it also be like if if um someone who's like an excellent straight man if then they're on the back line and someone else is doing like perfect straight man work it must be like there must be that feeling of like oh wait like 
There, oh, JD just got a phone call. So I'm no, gonna, it's not a phone oh, call. Oh, it's a text message. It's a, uh, no, it's an email. It's an email on his, on his device. Um, but anyway, the reason I was dropping those names is because afterward, after ASCAP was done, I was like, a couple of them were like, hey, uh, we're going to go get a drink. Do you guys want to come to this bar? And I'm, I tend to be a little bit antisocial in general. Like, Not antisocial. You're just, uh, you're very social, but you're... I don't drink. You're not like a big, let's go out and have a night of it kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. And at that point, it's like 1130. Like if they were like, oh, we're going to go to a diner and like. Yeah, talk, I'd be more be likely like, to yeah, go. Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, but also, but I was like, I can't because I'm recording a 12-hour podcast tomorrow. And they were immediately like, wanted to know what that meant. They were like, 12 hours? And they were like, does anybody listen to this? I'm like, yeah, some people listen to that. And... uh but it was very funny to hear, like, it's always interesting to hear that reaction of, right? Um, uh, like, the first assumption is that's fascinating. Also, I bet no one listens to your podcast, and they think that we're doing it as a, like, an aggressive joke or something. But as a bit that we don't want to drop. Yeah. Um, um, well, what's funny is that I, uh, you know, I recently... I'm, I'm now represented by an agency, and as such, I have several agents that are part of my quote-unquote team. Mm-hmm. And at one of the meetings, they're asking, you know, talking about all the stuff that I was doing. And I think the first ever meeting, I, I mentioned 12-hour day, and they're, like, fascinated by it. Mm-hmm. Now, um, now they're, they're listening to this now. They could be, yeah. I think uh, they are. Yeah. I think, JD thinks, I, I'm just, hello uh, to JD's team. It's not, it's not my team. They work. They they help you. Well, it's just a, a gr- different people that represent different parts of this agency. If you won are, an award, would you thank them in the speech? Yeah, you just I mean, like shout depends. out. I mean, because basically, what it breaks down for agencies is like because like you have like a commercial agent, right? Yeah, Connor? yeah. They, I don't think they listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> if they do, great. But I don't think they do. Right. But for me, it's like yeah. There's TV stuff I want to do. There's feature film stuff I want to do, and there's like online stuff I want to do mm-hmm. and those are different departments of an agency yeah. um, so it's just like these people represent those departments and those people that I can talk to if I have something I need I want to try to do through that yeah but so I was talking about it and you know everyone was sort of laughing like that's insane they actually appreciated it more at face value than I think a lot of people do uh-huh. um, but the person who works uh, in the feature section of this agency they 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 said, we want to make this into a feature film. Right, exactly, which is what I'm working on right now as I'm working on this film. It's a 12-hour-long movie based on one of the episodes. Right. We, we can't say which episode, but one of these episodes is going to be made into a movie starring, oh, God, who do they have? They, there, was a, there was a package that one of the other agencies put together, right, of stars. <laughs> right, exactly. Big names. We can't talk about Big it. Big names. Um, but so anyways, they laughed about it, um, and then the one that does the feature stuff, she was like, I'm going to listen to that. And then like a week later, I got an email that was like, I've been listening. And like the moment you start listening, you just sort of like fall down the rabbit hole. Yeah. And similarly, um, my friend and co-collaborator, Christian Spicer, Mm -hmm. who I need to say this 12, 12 heads is that, um, Christian is a brilliant podcaster. He Mm -hmm. does, he's, he does a bunch of video game podcasts and all this stuff. And he's like, He's a great stand-up and a great podcast host. 
and he and I created a new podcast. What? That we recorded out in L.A. Yes. You didn't tell me about this. Really? You're in another podcast? It's a very it's it's the opposite of this. One, one hour minute? No. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. One hour minute. What's one hour minute? It's, one, one hour minute is it, it, it's you a, record a minute and stretch it out to an hour. And you or, slow it down. No, to no, an hour. you record one hour and you speed it up to a minute. That would be a one minute hour. No, it's the one hour minute. So the minute is the podcast, but it was recorded over. It's an hour oh, worth of content squashed down to a minute, so, so people have to unpack the one it. One hour minute could either be. Or it could, could be normal. I actually think that's a good idea that we should do for a podcast at some point is uh, just slice an hour of this out, squeeze it down so it fits in one minute and release as a podcast and be like, for people who don't have time to listen to the 12-hour day, uh, here's the one-hour minute. No, no, just do, do um, the 12-minute day. So we just make it 60 times faster. And so it's, if, you, if you want to listen to an episode, you can listen to all of it in 12 minutes. There you go. Um, so you, oh, what's no, your... It po- should be 12-second day. 12-second day. So make it 12 seconds. So it's basically just like... And then it's over. Um, what's, your, what's, what's your podcast with Christian Spicer? Okay, so I'm going to say it here. And Christian is, uh, I'm no doubt frustrated because we recorded the episode, first episode one like a month ago and I haven't had not had any time to edit it or put yeah. it out. But because I'm saying it here, I'm going to do it. The, the podcast is called Endings Only. Uh-huh. And the podcast begins at the end of a normal podcast and it's only plugs for things that are happening. Funny. Um, and so the first guest was Phil Jackson. Uh Christian Spicer, uh, the joke I'll make about his name is it sounds like in the the first draft of uh, Fifty Shades of Grey, that was the name of the, of the main character was Christian Spicer. Hilarious. Yeah. No, he's great. In fact, 12 Heads, if, if something actionable, if, if, if you could just tweet at Spicer and just say... That's his Twitter, at Spicer? Yeah. Well, he tweeted about 12 Hour Day. Yeah, he yeah. did. Just, and you just tweet at Spicer and say... JD is very sorry that it took so long. Just that JD is JD is very sorry that it took so long. Yeah, at Spicer, and that that'll that'll actually that'll buy me some goodwill back. I think. Yeah, because it's just taking me so long to do that thing. Um, files. But then we also have a podcast that we've created called um, the Thirty Three Word Podcast, where it's only three, thirty three words long, then it's over. Um, if. If you tweet that about JD being sorry at Spicer, if Spicer replies to your tweet, uh, reply to him by saying, that's the best response I've ever gotten. <laughs> Wait, why? I just like the idea of like he'll respond to people and everyone that he responds <laughs> to, he'll get the response, that's the best reply I've ever gotten. That, that's how it be. That's the best response I've ever gotten. Mm-hmm. But... Um... Instead of the E at the end of response, have it be a B. Okay. So everyone, it looks like responds everyone did the exact same typo. Responds? Yeah. So it looks like the exact same typo. That's did. the best response I've ever gotten. <laughs> what a confusing thing to happen, but I love it. Yeah. Um, how, let's, because uh, I feel like we're talking a lot about the podcast at the beginning, and I think that's a good, 
We'll we'll get back well, to that. Well, it's been so long, and it just you know it's it's we're back in the saddle. It's true, it's true. But I also I worry that new listeners might find this, uh, new viewers might find this alienating. Uh, let's get on to a topic. I think <laughs> is that is <laughs> that know, too structured? Know, our, our famous our famous Pobre day topic. topics. No, no. I I, I, what, I what do we need to cover? Because I feel like there's a lot of stuff that's happened in the past. There's a lot of stuff, but. Um, I want to talk because I've already mentioned it. It came up organically, uh, and I don't know if you and I have actually talked about it. But I want to talk about Robin Williams. Okay. Um, maybe is that a bad thing to bring up? I don't know. Um, I. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of obvious things that everybody has said and felt, which Were is. Were you this, with us when we found out? I don't think so. We, it was me, Gethard, Noah. No, I wasn't. Dave, Johnny, whoa. we were eating at a vegan restaurant. Gether told me good. about it, yeah. Yeah. Um, and we thought someone was doing a dumb bit. Yeah, because there are those dumb bits. Happens all the time. Like every now and then, I'll, I'll, someone will tell me that Elvis Costello is dead, and it's the same yeah. dumb bit. Um, there's like a, a bunch of those celebrities that all get the same generic, like so-and-so died in a car crash just Which now. Is, it's like very upsetting. Yeah. As a joke, you know what I mean? It's not a joke. It's a, right. it's a cruel hoax, stupid. Right. Um, and, but, I mean, that is, it's a horrible thing finding out that someone that you've admired or things like that is just suddenly gone. It's so shocking. Like, it's bad enough when someone lives to, like, a ripe old age and then they pass away and you always have that sense of, like, oh, it's too bad. But, uh... I'm trying to think. There's, there's been at least one person recently that's been like that, where it's like, so and so passed away at the age of whatever. But the thing that occurred to me is that um, prior to Robin Williams dying, it was hard to, f- it you wouldn't come across like there was such an outpouring of goodwill about Robin Williams in the aftermath of his death. And it occurred to me that I thought if you went back a week earlier, kind of good luck finding a lot of nice things being said about him. Uh, right. That there in were, terms of there not being nice things or there being negative things? Um, that you would be more likely to find someone making a shitty joke about Patch Adams than you would be to find someone posting a thing about how great Good Morning Vietnam is. Um, you would be more likely to find someone uh, kind of making a, a self-satisfied sort of mean joke about any any latter-day Robin Williams project that that wasn't considered successful or wasn't considered very good than you would to find someone talking about like the the good work that he has done through I would say right it's interesting how if you look at if you actually look at his career arc there are periods where there are like some not good things and there are maybe more of those as it gets further along right. but there's never a period where there it, that isn't peppered with some stuff that's either really ambitious and maybe doesn't work or really ambitious and does work. He never got to a point where you felt like, oh, it's been seven years since Robin Williams tried to make a really great movie. Right. Um, Like, even the movies that he was doing, like the Bobcat Goldthwait movie, 
which I still haven't seen. It's on my Netflix queue. The oh, uh, world's world's greatest dad. World's greatest dad is my favorite of the Bobcat Goldthwait movies. Also, it looks great. And um, Rob Williams is really good in it. Yeah, there's never a period where he just gives up and goes full into a certain kind of like just like trying for a hit, whatever it'll take. There's always a period where he's doing something, whether it's going back to stand up or doing something like Insomnia or One Hour Photo. Um, And it just occurred to me that it's like, it makes me sad when people, on the one hand, I like the celebration that happened afterwards in a real sad moment. It was nice to see people expressing the stuff they liked. But it did make me sad that it's like, oh, this always happens after someone's gone. Um, and I'm sure like Ron Williams was not starved for compliments. There is also that other thing, which is that anytime people see a famous person or come across them, they immediately like, oh, you're my favorite this, or I love this. They want to talk about this or that, but, um, right. Which is a funny thing, which I think is, I think is more like, um, oh, you don't realize how much I've seen you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which I think people do, but yeah. it's that feeling of like, no, 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 no. But I see, I've seen you my entire life, and now I'm actually seeing you. Yeah, and that like blows people's minds. Yeah. Um, I mean, it. It sometimes it blows my mind sometimes, even in very small contexts, like, um, my friend Adam Conover, you know Adam, right? Um, yes, I do. Yeah. Um, who now is in L.A. and does a lot of stuff for College Humor. He was in town this week, and he dropped by to do the... He did, I had him do a tight two on the George Lucas talk show. Uh, you run that show <laughs> like like a weird like comedy like robber baron type, where it's like you ask all these great people to come in, and it's like, great, you have 30 seconds between me doing jokes as George Lucas about political like yeah like it, it, it it's so bizarre well what are your crowds like for that show the crowd this week for the George Lucas Halloween show the crowd was good we actually we actually had a better crowd than the stepfathers had really? because it was Halloween I've never done a stepfather show on Halloween it's never fallen on Halloween but apparently regular shows on Halloween at UCB do horribly interesting uh, almost no one should like it felt like doing a class show. The Stepfather right. show on Halloween felt like it was like the attendance you get for like a solid improv 401 class show. Hilarious. Um, George Lucas Halloween show actually had more reservations than any other show, which I was surprised by, but I had been like plugging it for a month. Right. Um, but we also ran, I felt bad about this. I like to not run late since it's already a midnight show and there's like interns and people have to get home. We actually ran way over and it was just because I accidentally... How long over? Like a half hour over. <laughs> So you ended at like one one thirty, yeah. Oh my god! Um, but it was because like Adam was in town, and I kind of couldn't resist. Like, I hadn't been able to see him all week, and he was leaving the next day. I'm like, "Come do the show," and I'm like, "I know I'm going to run over because I've booked too many guests, and I don't want to." When the guest is out, I don't want to run through him real quick. I want to give. I want to. want to give them their tight too. Well, no. What I just I wanted more time to talk to Adam. Right. So I'm like, I can't. But it's also not. It's talking to Adam as George Lucas. That's true. <laughs> um, but I wanted to see what happened. And so I'm like, can you do a tight two? And he's like, yeah, I can do two jokes. Um, and 
he actually killed in his type too. He was like, he was a total pro. He was able to do this. But th- the point I was going to make initially is that I haven't seen Adam all year, but I've seen him all the time on college humor videos and things like that. And he has this great segment. He should, everybody should look up his, uh, Adam ruins everything, which, uh, is, uh, a series of videos he's done where he'll talk about like, uh, the diamond industry and like what a racket it is, um, in terms of like diamond engagement rings that it basically is just, it's not a, it's not a tradition. It's just a very successful, I mean, it is a tradition now, but it's basically just a very successful, marketing uh campaign that was started by the DeBoer's diamond uh uh company Jocelyn's family uh am I do I have had no is that is she connected to that no. No, no um I do have the name right that is the they are the diamond people of DeBoer's I think so I have no idea I might be saying it wrong and just saying Jocelyn DeBoer's last name instead right. yeah um apologies if that's the case tweet diamond corrections to twitter uh, to add Jocelyn Devore. Sorry for the diamonds. Sorry, for, sorry about the diamonds. <laughs> um, and uh, I like the idea that we'll just, just start sending out some things they'll have no idea like why no they're getting these tweets. There's also people that are like, far enough removed from us that they're going to be like, what? have no ability to trace this back. Yeah. Um, uh, but it's weird when you are only... like, And we're friends, but we've only seen each other via computer screen images, not right. even actual interactions. Right. And then you see them in person, you have that weird feeling of like, oh, wow, I'm really seeing you now. We're really interacting. Right. Uh, even though I'm dressed up like George Lucas. Uh, the uh, So to have that same feeling for someone that you've never seen in person, but you've only seen them in a million movies and TV shows and stand-up specials and whatnot. Interviews and talk shows. Yeah, it is strange. But I do... I like it when people are appreciative and, and very public about the things that they like. And it's not, and they don't just do it when it's too late for that person to realize. Like, I feel like talented and famous people who are successful and, and, and make people really happy are forced by assholes to almost avoid the internet and anything about them because it's just a, there's so many poisonous people out there who just uh, spew venom all the time. I don't understand it. Like I, it, it upsets me how many assholes there are out there who just contribute to, uh, like whenever I see like people making comments online that are like, I hate this show or this show's never been funny or this or that, it's not the opinions that bother me. It's the idea that this person felt like, I know what I'll do. I'll go like, like there's an article about Saturday Night Live. I'm going to make a comment about how this show's never been funny. I'm just like, why is that useful to anybody? Have you ever had that impulse? Um, I probably have. Have you ever posted anything like that? No. Not that I can think of. Um, the like I I do a thing which is I will I, I've done it less lately because I haven't had time to. But I'll like very rarely will I post anything that's like a political opinion or something like on Tumblr. But there's a period where I would I would very frequently write a Tumblr post, right? Read it 
and then come to the conclusion that, yep, I got it out of my system, delete post before posting it. I remember that period. Um, because I would just like, what I would ask myself is, is this of any use to anybody? And almost always I would realize like, oh, no, it's not. Whereas like if I'm, if I'm doing a post about, like I just posted about, there's this new album coming out that is, um, there are these old Bob Dylan lyrics that he found in a notebook that were around the time that he was recording the basement tapes and he never used these lyrics. So he gave them to T-Bone Burnett and he was like, do something, do whatever you want with these. So T-Bone Burnett put together like this super group of Elvis Costello, Marcus Mumford, right. um, uh, people from like My Morning Jacket, all, all, all these different groups. And they were like, hey, you guys, why don't you write music to these songs and then you'll record them as a group. And I posted one of, the, uh, one of these songs on my Tumblr and I was just like writing about like how much I liked this song. And there were earlier songs that had been released from this as preview tracks. There was one that came out that I was like, I was okay with. I didn't particularly dislike it, but I wasn't wild about it. But there'd be no reason for me to post to do a post about how like I found this one track like a little bit uh, not disappointing, but I just wasn't like enthusiastic. And right. I can imagine a lot of people doing a post about how they weren't crazy about a certain thing. And it's like, yeah, it's not really like there's always more than enough people telling you not to watch something. Like that if something's really bad, you will get the message. There's enough out there that it's doesn't I don't feel like contributing to the wave of it. Right. Um if something's not good, people just won't like even if just people didn't talk about it. <laughs> there's an element of like, yeah, you won't go see that cuz you won't hear about it cuz like no one was that excited about it. Whereas the way people get so such delight. Like that was the thing actually I didn't like it when Roger like I loved Roger Ebert and the main right. thing I loved about him was that he was he loved movies. But he has a couple of books that actually I was like I wish he hadn't put those books out. He has a book called I hated 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 this movie and he has a book called Your Movie Sucks. And I'm like I actually feel like those books were a, I know that why he put them out. Right. But I felt like they were actually a betrayal of the central sort of reason for him being a beloved critic. Well, here's the thing that I like about Roger Ebert. Yeah. Is that um now I'm just getting into criticism kick, but um I feel like there's a lot of very weak modern criticism. Yeah. Where um they're not critics. They are um what would the term be? Um, complainers? Yeah, or they just um God, I don't know how how to describe what they do. It's that they they make preconceptions about movies, right? So, for example, like Roger Ebert would watch an insane movie that's awful, but he would give it the be- give it the benefit of the doubt and go, "I'm going to assume that these were all choices, and here's what here's what doesn't make sense to me about these choices." Mm-hmm. As opposed to modern reviewers, of which there's a few that just really bother me, just truly, truly, truly bother me. Yeah. Because they will, their review will be, well, this director got in over his head, or like, you know, clearly the 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 actors in this, you know, the director doesn't know what's going on at all, and so he made he cast this guy, but this guy's totally wrong for this role. Yeah, and you know, um, you know, like it's making a up, making a lot of like assumptions. Yeah, and they're uh, they are assumptions, and. Um, They'll take not the movie as a source document that they need to 
criticized or decipher. Yeah. But as, um, you know, the, uh, another th- a world where this may be more prevalent is in um, um, sports. Yeah. Basically, there's a whole thing where there's a bunch of these um, sports analysts that they'll be they'll say, you know, like uh, LeBron James is a bad day, and they'll, they'll be like, you know, all of the all of the stress of being the leader got to him, and when it came down to it, it was, you know, a do or die, and did he have the backbone to make it work, and he didn't. Yeah, they want to concoct a narrative. Right. They want to and create a story. There's been a backlash recently of sports experts and people who actually know the game going, no, it's because the defense was set up in such a way where they could double on LeBron and that's, he had to yeah. give away his shots to other people and the other people were in this situation would put them out of their shooting. You know, it's like there's a very concrete yeah. reason as opposed to, no, there's a narrative on top of this. And I feel like a lot of critics and a lot of people that take things in as is um and have opinions on stuff is they they're they're inferring their own opinion as to what's going on they're they're inferring a narrative then they get mad about that narrative and that drives me insane so for example like um um god what is a good example of this like um roger ebert would see like transformers yeah and there'd be like a major plot hole yeah and instead of being like you know, well, you know, this idiot doesn't know what he's doing and he, like, you know, doesn't even understand the movie that he's making, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. He would be like, so, we're supposed to assume that this character knows this person. But the fact that they know this person means that either he's done this or that mm-hmm. or that this is somehow a commentary on action movies. And either way, I completely lost me and I was asking these questions the entire time and yeah. left me in a complete cloud and da, da, da. And he would tear apart movies, but he would do it from the source of like, let's grant that everything here is a decision, in which case it doesn't make any sense. Like my favorite Ebert things were if you look at really bad movies, mm-hmm. him trying to describe the plot in like three paragraphs. And he would yeah. go through and have every moment narratively through as opposed to just going, um, it felt like a young director that, you know, just like. You know, had too many things at his at his disposal and sort of played with too many toys. And it's like stop adding narrative, which is like what I feel like so many yeah. modern online movie critics do, where they they add this fake, like oh the directing was terrible, yeah, oh the writing was awful. And it's like no no no, you idiot! Like assume that everything is a choice. Then how does that affect you? And if you want, you can talk about what you think it might have been. Yeah, but you can't just assume some sort of narrative. You can't. They're assume all, what happened. Yeah, there. I think sometimes what I think maybe I mean this is maybe me putting maybe I'm doing the exact maybe I'm about to do the exact same thing to them that you don't like when they do it to films, but like an element of uh, wanting to they're wanting to tell their own story, but it's like instead of going out there and writing a book or uh, going out there and like going out writing their own novel or trying to make their own movie, they're flexing that muscle in reaction to other people's works. Well, that's also something that drives me nuts too, is I think as a critic, yeah, you should be a critic. Yeah. Um, there's too many creators. Yeah. That have no success in creation. And so then become critics. Yeah. And then there's too many critics who then want to become creators, right? It's like, I have so much respect for people that are just like, I'm going to be a film critic. I'm going to study film. I'm going to, talk about how it affects things and, and talk about 
the big picture view of films and get into the nitty gritty. Yeah. But I am not a filmmaker. But nowadays, everybody wants to be a content well, creator. And what's weird about it is... You know, and everyone wants to be a fucking critic, too. And Ebert's one of the few filmmakers who actually has a film credit to his name. Right, but he did it and was basically like, wow, that was tough. Yeah. and he, and, and I learned a lot. And now back to my back job, to, which is being a critic. Yeah, that um, um, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, the Russ Meyer uh, movie... I feel like that the experience of doing that helps make him a better critic because he knew not to glibly. I mean, he did still sometimes do it. Nobody's perfect, but um, I feel like he was less likely to dismiss, um, to be glib about dismissing a film. Like he wanted the films to be good. That I think that was the core thing. Is is that Ebert always wanted the film to be great. And so when he had a bad review, it didn't come from a place of enjoying writing a bad review. It came from a place of, I wish that film had been great. Like, Ebert would have liked nothing more than for all of the Transformers movies to be great. You know? Right. Um, he, gave, he notoriously, I think, gave almost every Wes Anderson movie that he reviewed, he gave not a great review. Like... I think Bottle Rocket got two stars. I think Rushmore got two stars. Like, I remember taking some satisfaction. There was that period where, um, after Siskel died, where he had guests, uh, guest hosts, guest critics every week on at the movies. And one week he had Martin Scorsese, and they were talking about their favorite movies of the decade. And one of Scorsese's like top three, I think, movies of the decade was Bottle Rocket. And I was watching Ebert on that show, and I was kind of taking a gleeful delight in the fact that I'm like, you didn't even give a thumbs up, Roger. And now you have to sit there as your favorite filmmaker, Martin Scorsese, tells you about how great Bottle Rocket is. Right, exactly. And I was like, I loved Roger Ebert, but I did, it, it did feel good that I'm like, this is what you get for not liking Bottle Rocket. <laughs> you have to sit while Martin Scorsese talks to you about what a great movie it is. Um, I was just listening to um, Bill Murray on Howard Stern. I, I, there were, I've been listening to a couple of Howard Stern's off of, uh, they always put those up on YouTube, but like Amy Poehler was on last week and that led me to discover that Bill Murray had been on a few weeks ago. And he said that he once ran into Roger Ebert at some film festival when like Broken Flowers, I think, was out. And he went up to him and they were talking about how great Broken Flowers is. And uh, Bill Murray said, well, you know, when I, I'm glad you like it because when I was starting out, um, I, there was one critic who said that I should never do dramas, that I should only stick to comedies. And Ebert was like, well, oh my God, who said that? And he said, well, it was you, Roger. And I assume that happened around the time of either The Razor's Edge, which was a notoriously poorly received drama that, uh, my memory of it is that it wasn't, wasn't bad. It just was not maybe, as a follow-up to Ghostbusters, it wasn't what anyone was looking for. Right. Is him just doing a completely serious drama. I remember him being good in it. Right. It's a little bit dry. My memory of the movie is it's a little bit dry as a movie. It also might have been in response to, I still have never seen Where the Buffalo Roam, which is like an early Bill Murray. When he was still on Saturday Night Live, he played Hunter S. Thompson in a movie with Peter Boyle. Right. You ever uh, seen that? I never saw it. That was um, Where the Buffalo Roam, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I never saw I'm it. curious to see that it at some point. It seemed weird to me. Yeah, that's it, where him and Hunter Thompson became good friends after that. Yeah. But uh, the movie itself seems so bizarre. Yeah. I also, also, I think I saw um, 
fear and loathing first, which to me is like the, mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, that's like how you do a Hunter Thompson book. So I never want to see where the Buffalo roam because it like. That looks like how you do Fear and Loathing if you have no money, no art direction right, budget. Right, exactly. I'm not a big fan of Fear and Loathing, the movie. I admire a lot of really? parts of it. What, what don't you like about it? I think it's just because I don't have a tremendous amount of interest in Hunter S. Thompson in terms of like the watching people like tripping balls for a whole movie is not that interesting to me. Uh, but I love the way the movie is made, and I, I listen to the commentary track of the movie, and I actually... I think I preferred watching the movie with Terry Gilliam talking over it to actually watching the movie. Yeah. I, um, I love Terry Gilliam so much. And I, I think I think that's like quintessential Terry Gilliam also. Yeah. He's also, he gives great commentary tracks to all of his movies. I would watch my least favorite Terry Gilliam movie with just to watch the commentary. Right. Which is? Um, a later one probably, like Tideland was not, yeah. I did not like that. Right. But I bet the commentary, tra- if there's a commentary track for that, I bet it's great. Yeah. He's just so, like, he's actually, the I think, the most interesting conversationalist of all the Pythons. Yes, I think he is. And I think he's sort of one of the most thoughtful of all of them. Yeah. He's a great guy. I got to see The rest him. of them are sort of, can be sort of glib and sort of like. He's, he's great at anecdotes and he's great at analysis. His opinions are always interesting. Like, right. He's just a great guy. Uh, I got to see a, a great pristine print of Baron Munchausen when I lived in London yeah. And afterwards, Terry Lynn just sat on the lip of the stage and talked for like an hour. It's great. That's so cool. It's so much fun. Um, did you see the Python, the lives? I have not seen it. Yeah. How is it? Uh, I only saw parts of it. I didn't see the whole yeah. thing. I just caught little moments. I would have loved to have been there to see it live. Yeah, um, it was strange. It was, there was something really funny to me about it being this big cultural event, mm-hmm. huge packed theater, simulcast around the world. Yeah. Of all these old men, and apparently it wasn't you know it wasn't great because it was all of them just doing their material and they didn't like you know remember the words every now and then or that you know what I mean it was like yeah. it was what you do if you done if you're doing bits you created like fifty years ago or whatever yeah all the stuff they did in their twenties and now they're re- recreating it at a point where it's harder to remember things right it's also I mean when you have jokes that are forty years old those jokes especially when they're jokes that are so popular they've been repeated for forty years right. There's not a lot of uh, surprise left in any of the material. But I like the idea that a sketch group could be so yeah, such a big cultural thing. Yeah, to be like, oh, it's John Cleese. Oh, and it's it's like so bizarre to me that it's like yeah, that's just a comedy sketch troupe that is like ascended to the height that you can as a comedy sketch group. Yeah, and the thing is. Most of the response to that reunion was exactly what I would have wanted it to be, which is that you could read in the reviews of people who weren't crazy about it that they were mostly still not assholes about it. There were still a handful of assholes about it, but it's like there is no reason. Everybody knows what this is. These are not guys who are pretending to be at the peak of their performance abilities. These are not, but these are guys that all they have done is contributed great work to the world of comedy. These are living legends. And that it's like one of those, one of those few times where you can use that phrase and it's not hyperbole. Um, and it was just a celebration of everything they'd done. Right. Um, I like that. I think people, I mean, everybody's disappointed when work isn't good. Everyone's disappointed when 
comedy isn't funny. Although having said that, there's almost nothing. There's almost no great comedy that doesn't have a sizable amount of the population thinking that it's the worst comedy they've ever. It's not hard to find people whose taste in comedy is so terrible in my eyes that they disqualify themselves from even enjoying anything ever. Um, the oh, just a, one more thing about Roger Ebert. You know, I got Roger Ebert to correct one of his reviews once. Really? What? What was it? There was an error. It actually made me very angry. Um, the movie She's So Lovely with Sean Penn, Robin Wright, then Robin Wright Penn at the time, uh, and John Travolta. <clears throat> it was an old John Cassavetes script that had never been filmed, and his son, Nick Cassavetes, directed it. And I believe it probably was written to star John Cassavetes and Jenna Rollins. It was probably Ben Gazzar. Like, it was intended back in the day to be for probably his core of actors. But I think when Cassavetes was still alive, he was talking to Sean Penn. Like, they became friends, I think, at the end. And there was some talk about, like, making a movie with him. I, I might be misremembering that, but I think that there was a connection. And it's not a perfect movie, but I think no John Cassavetes movie is a perfect movie. But it's in I some ways it's like, what? I agree with that. I yeah. think... They are experiments. They're experiments, and they're sometimes very hard work to get through. I love John Cassavetes' movies, but I can, they're not movies you can casually recommend to anyone. No, um, you can't be like, oh, sit down and watch a couple of Cassavetes' movies. No. You have to let people know, like, hey, are you up for something that might not entertain you fully? Uh, but it also might surprise you in ways that um, other movies, other movies do don't. Not. Uh, She's So Lovely, I think, took some flack because it was a little more polished than any... John Cassavetes movie ever was, um, which uh, but I really liked it. It has a, a early supporting term by James Gandolfini in it uh, as a very sinister character. Years before The Sopranos, um, or maybe not that many years, maybe like two or three years before The Sopranos. Um, but Travolta is actually really good in it, and. Um, there's a point in the movie where, where John Travolta is, he has a stepdaughter. John Travolta appears in like the last half or the last third of the movie. And uh, JD is typing right now. And um, there's a point where it's established that John Travolta is a pretty good stepdad to these, I think there's a, a couple of daughters. Maybe it was just one, but I think there might be a couple of daughters. I'm, misrem- I'm misremembering details because it's been so long since I saw it. But they, there's a point where he lets his little stepdaughter have a beer. And there's another part where, and that's in their house. That's in the house he lives in where he lets the little girl have a beer. Right. But there's an earlier scene where he takes the daughter to go meet Sean Penn, who's been like released from a mental institution and is her biological father. And he takes this girl to go meet him. Um, and they're in a bar in a ho- in the hotel where Sean Penn is staying. And um, in the review, Roger Ebert, I'm going to look it up and see if I actually find the review on here. Um, um, there was a detail that he got wrong, and 
it made me angry because he made it sound like the movie didn't make sense. Like, it was a criticism that, um, yeah, let me find it here. It says, uh, let me find, I'm looking at the review now and seeing, uh, it said, he says, oh, Eddie is released from prison, um, and and it says, in a sequence that has a scary fascination, Joey, the John Travolta character, takes Eddie's daughter, Jeannie, to meet Eddie at a downtown hotel. Would a stepfather do such a thing? Yes, but in such a place? Shut up and drink your beer, Eddie tells Jeannie at one point, not unkindly. In the, that's the corrected review. Right. Um, in the original review, he made, I believe it was that he made it sound like this little girl was served a beer at a hotel bar. And it made me furious because I'm like, if you're reading this review, this sounds like this movie doesn't has things in it that don't make sense. Right. Because there's no bar that you'd go into with a little girl and the bar would serve a beer to a little girl. And it made it sound like, it still kind of makes it sound like that. It's conflating two different scenes in the movie uh, where later on they're in their home and he's just letting his daughter like have a can of beer or a glass of beer or something. And I emailed Roger Ebert and I was like, you have a fact wrong in your review and you're using it in a making a critical point that like, would a stepfather do this? And you're making that you're using it to bolster your criticism in a way that misrepresents the movie. And then Roger Ebert emailed me back and said, Oh, I wonder if I can find the You probably email. can. It's, I think it was on Yahoo Mail. Um, I'm going to look up the Roger Ebert <laughs> It is funny how you can find, like, oh, someone sent me this email once. Like, oh, I can probably find that email. Um, I'm going to look up my email from Roger Ebert and see if it's in here. Um, Got to go back a long time. Um, And, but he did correct the review. He, he basically said that he was writing the review based on having seen the film, uh, like, he saw it at a festival, and then he didn't write the review until it was released in theaters, which was like a year later or something. Right. So he was reviewing it a lot based on his memory of having seen it quite a while before that. Um, which was interesting to me also from a process point of view that he sees a movie at a festival, takes a bunch of notes from it, and then when it comes out on general release, gets a distribution deal, and then it finally makes its way to Chicago. uh, That's when he he writes the review. But he was like misremembering details from it. I thought it was kind of cool that he admitted to it. What was the email? I am trying to find it. It might no longer be in there. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking at my Yahoo. Did they delete decades-old messages? I lost access to my old AOL email, which was a bummer to me. Um, well, I'm also in this weird, because I'm looking on an iPad. It's doing that weird thing where it, it's not the same as going to the website. Right. It's going into a mobile thing that I can't just... Click from page to page, yeah. I hate that. Um, 
There are certain things that have been reconfigured for mobile use. Like it used to be that if you want to look up movie showtimes, Google right. had a really easy way of doing it, and now it's a thing where they want you to scroll and look at movie posters. And like I used to be able to just get a clear list of movies, and now I can't. It's making it easy, but it's also making it so that there's certain functions I can't search for. Yeah, and now our screens are big enough and high enough resolution that we don't really need mobile versions a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, well, and here's another. Here's a, another. There, I, what I hate is when there's things that get reconfigured, and like bad decision compounds into another bad decision. Then you correct that decision with another bad decision. Like the fact that now, at a certain point, they decided to start charging for uh, carry on uh, for for uh, uh, checked luggage. So then yeah. everyone stopped checking luggage and started buying the biggest possible carry-on they could get. Right. Then they're like, well, we allow free carry-on, but if your carry-on's too big, then we're going to check it uh, for free right. at the gate, which means that now airports have this huge infrastructure for delivering checked luggage in a convenient way on these belts. Right. But instead, we have to wait in this weird hallway that wasn't designed for picking up luggage. Everybody gets off the plane... And lines up with no order, no system to it, no easy way to do it. Um, yeah, I've thought about that recently. It's basically like they're they're forcing your hand. Yeah. Like they're they're making the only opportunity you have to not pay fifty bucks to just be inconvenient for everybody. And the, and then you walk past the baggage claim and there's no one there and nothing is on the belts. I'm like, can't we just go back? Honestly, if they charge for check luggage, five bucks to check a bag. Yeah. Everyone would check a bag because five bucks is not anything. And they'd make more money on checked luggage than they would with no one checking bags because no one wants to pay $25. Even if it was 10 bucks. It was 10 bucks, I'd do it. Right. And honestly, the thing that's it bothers me because they have this whenever I fly, mm-hmm. I, depending on the length of the trip, I'll usually have a checked bag, which is a normal size suitcase. Uh huh. And then a backpack. Yeah. Um, and I will like to store my backpack overhead mm-hmm. and then just have my food and, you know, iPod or whatever mm-hmm. out because yeah. I have long legs. And so I do not fit in the seats. So when I have a backpack under there, it's even worse. Yeah. But then they're like, no, no, no. We ask that everyone have their backpacks and small bags under their seats so the full bags are. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not fair because I. These people are trying to get this full bag yeah. to fit up in the overhead spot. Yeah. I paid you $50 so that you didn't have to deal with my thing. Yeah. I still want my space to put up the bag. How often do you lose that argument? Never. Never. Because actually it never it, – it rarely ever occurs because I'll just put my bag up there. Yeah. And my bag's usually not that big anyways, but they always ask, keep your backpack down, backpack. Yeah. Keep their backpacks down. And every – I think it's happened once or twice where someone's gone – Whose backpack is this? And I've been like, that's mine, but that's my only bag. Mm. And then they'll be like, uh, okay, and keep yeah. going. But I just mean, the idea that they're like, we'd prefer that you kept your backpacks down on the ground. I'm like, no, 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 no. That rule makes no sense. Yeah. Because I've are these people are the ones. Yeah. You have a right to part of that make space. Them, make them carry their bag on their lap with them, their big suitcase that they're carrying on yeah. for free. It just drives me nuts that this can, this belt at baggage claim, this infrastructure that was built for this purpose, yeah. is 
lying dormant while we all wait in the hallway. Uh, what do they call those? The hallways that connect from the, the jetway. plane. The jetway. We're all waiting with no baggage claim. With no, there's no system for it. It's just like, oh, that's my bag. I'm at the back of the line, but I'll walk up and get it or whatever. Yeah. We're all waiting there. It's cold or it's hot or whatever it is, but it's not the ideal circumstance. It would be like if the public restrooms at the airport were suddenly pay toilets. Um, but you could also shit in a bucket in the jetway. Right. And now everyone's just shitting in a bucket in the jetway because no one wants to pay for the toilet. Just, why don't we make the pay toilets... They're just sitting there empty. Why don't right. we make them cheaper? If it's a dollar to use a pay toilet as opposed to $20 to use a pay toilet, people won't all line up and shit in this bucket. Uh, it's really... It's amazing to me that nothing's been done about this because they know they're no longer having to bring as many bags over exactly. for the baggage claim. It's just like... It's such a bad system. It's so poorly designed. No, exactly. And it's, you know, it's basically they they saw an opportunity to put a pay gate up. Yeah. But they I don't think they predicted They overdid that people, it. I don't think they predicted the extent to which people would try to get around paywalls. Yeah. They just really really overdid it in terms of like $25. That's $50 if you're going Honestly, two it's, ways. Most of the flights that I'm on, it's fifty dollars. It's fifty dollars for the one bag. Yeah. Holy shit! Really? I think so. Or maybe it's twenty-five. I think it's twenty-five each way. Maybe. Because I always count. Because the thing is, there's things I'd like to. There's things I'd like to bring. Like I went to uh, visit my parents in oh, September. Yeah, you're right. Twenty. Oh no. Yeah, it's twenty-five. I went to visit my parents in Missouri in September for a few days, and. Um, there was – oh, no, I guess this one happened. No, this is when I was visiting – when my dad was at the um, hospital for his uh, transplant. Uh, he had the, uh, a bone marrow transplant in uh, July. Um, so we, had, we were staying in a hotel right next to the hospital. Right. And so we had, like, some foodstuffs in the room. We, like, we went to the grocery – my mom and I went to the grocery store and got some things, so, like – Sandwich making material, things we weren't having to eat out all the time if we wanted to just make like a right. peanut butter sandwich or something. And I bought the kind of peanut butter that I like. And I decided, uh, oh, I'll, I'll just bring it back with me because I only used a little of it. And so I get to the airport, and my assumption was that I didn't consider peanut butter to be a liquid. Right. And uh, like no one's ever like, God, I need some liquids. I, just, I have peanut butter. I, I wasn't thinking. I haven't looked it up, but I was like, there's no liquids, no waters, no juices, no things like that. But I consider peanut butter to be. They say, see, that the, I'm, I'm yeah. not going to jump ahead, but yeah, I know yeah. where it's going. Yeah. Um, I was like, well, no liquids, but I can bring peanut butter on. And they're like, they were immediately like, you can't have this. It's, it's, uh, they, they buzzed it, and then they went over and they said, can't have this. This is a liquid. I said, peanut butter is not a liquid. That's a solid. They said, it's a cream. And I said, uh, <laughs> and and I was wrong. It is on the list. And they pointed out they actually had like a bunch of condiments on top of the X-ray machine. It's liquids as or examples. Yeah. Uh, she it's said it's, a, it's a cream. Yeah, but peanut butter is not a gel either. Right. She said it's a cream, and I said it's not a cream. And she goes, look, and she pointed to it, and it said creamy. I said, that says it's creamy. That means it resembles a cream. Uh, <laughs> If it was a cream, it wouldn't be creamy. You say if you got, if you had gotten chunky, she would have had no basis. Then for... it's a chunk. <laughs> this is a chunk. It's chunky. Well, um, the 
No chunks allowed. But I was like, the definition of creamy is that it's similar to cream. It resembles the qualities of, of a cream. I said, but it's not a cream. And she's like, well, it's on the list. You can't have it. I'm like, and I was furious about it. <laughs> um, and, but at the same time, it's not worth $25 to check a bag so that you can have those things. There are things that I would like to bring sometimes that I used to be able to like put in a suitcase and bring it. But right. then I'm like, oh, it's not worth $25 to check a bag. Right. Uh, I also, this is in a similar, this is a consumer uh, complaints uh, element of the podcast. Right. Recently, I attempted to go see the movie Skeleton Twins, the Skeleton Twins right. with uh, Kristen Wiig and Bill Hader. Have you seen it? No, I have not. Uh, I'd like to say that I liked it a lot, but I haven't seen the whole movie because um, I went to the AMC 25, which I'll sometimes do like on a Sunday morning. At Times Square. At Times Square. Uh, That's your mistake. Uh, it, on a Sunday morning, it's fine because it's like a half price movie ticket no, and there's almost no one there. Actually, they have church in that theater. There's a church that does services uh, at that huh. theater where they like take out, because they have 25 screens. So one of them is like a, some sort of weird church service. Or I, I mean, all church services are weird to me. I don't mean to besmirch any right. particular religion. I think they're all weird. Right. Um, any organization that claims to know what happens, the thing that we all don't know is kind of weird to me. It's like, oh, interesting. I don't gamble. Right. Uh, the, uh, right. But, so I go see the Skeleton Twins and... Uh, I was really enjoying it. I thought it was really good, what I had seen of it. And uh, it's nearing, it's in the final third of the movie. I would say, I would estimate there was maybe five, maybe ten, maybe fifteen minutes left in it. But it was, you could tell from a story point of view, like structurally, we're We're at the point, we're at the point where things are starting to be revealed, things are starting to be confronted head on. And we could have a lot of scenes left, we could have very few scenes left. And I noticed, uh, I heard like a, a walkie-talkie type sound. Someone coming to the theater where you heard like a... Like that. I'm like, who's coming in with their walkie-talkie? And then this guy was standing at the side, and I heard him like... like uh, He was like tapping the wall with his fingers. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, who's coming in here making noise? And then I got a little bit nervous because I always have a little bit of anxiety. I think the the whole like uh, uh, Dark Knight Rises... Um, right movie theater shooting, you know, that's like a, such a nightmare scenario to me because I just feel like, oh, that's just like any crazy person can walk into a movie theater and you're just trapped. There's right. The ways out are at the ways that that person came in. There's very few places to hide. Uh, what a disorienting place for that to happen. Uh, right. It's just like, I, there's always a little small percentage of me that now is like, oh no, like what's this? Whenever so- anything surprising starts to happen in a movie theater where I'm like, oh no, am I in one of those situations and um so then the film stops and the lights go on and the person starts to talk and my initial like the the one percent of me that's always on guard for that immediately like job jumps up to like 23 percent right at alert of like oh no like am i about to hear like this guy's like ladies and gentlemen and i'm like i don't know if the next sentence is like prepare to die and then he's gonna pull out a gun but he's wearing an amc shirt but my brain isn't like that's why I'm at twenty three percent. I I have uh, I have like eighty seven or no a seventy seven percent awareness that awareness like no no he's in an AMC yeah. shirt this is an AMC guy and the twenty three percent is like 
we don't know. Like he's where gone he, crazy. Yeah. He could have killed an AMC guy and put that shirt on. Sure. We don't know. That, like that twenty three percent must be a stressful life to live. That anyone at all times could be a shooter that has donned the appearance of someone who is non threatening. Yeah, one the twenty three percent of me that has now popped up to accept that this the the worst case scenario is happening. Also went to uh, improv training and knows how to do a good justification for a weird initiation. Right. Where it's like, oh, he's wearing this because of that. Yeah. Um, but they announced that um, we're very sorry, but um, we're currently having a problem in the building where there's no water in the building. And so we legally have to evacuate the building um, because this, that means the sprinkler system doesn't work. So the law says that we have to evacuate the building. Right. And... So they said, but we are going to give you vouchers um, that are actually worth more than the value of your ticket that you bought because um, these will get you into like a 3D movie or an IMAX movie or, you know, like any movie, any movie Not at like any a time. Matinee, yeah. um, and as I was leaving, I... I'm walking out of the building, and I, I was just, it was just wasn't sitting right with me because it was incredibly frustrating as an experience. I understand. like I'm right. all in favor of evacuating the building if the sprinkler system doesn't work, even though odds are it's not about to burn down the theater. But I'm like, it's a good rule. It makes Funny sense. coming from the guy who thought that the AMC guy was a shooter for you to be like, come on, let's throw caution to the wind. No, let's no, I, the but movie. I'm saying like it, it – that – I'm in favor of evacuating buildings when the sprinkler system doesn't work. I don't want to burn to death in an AMC movie theater. Right. Um, but as I was leaving, I was like, I don't feel like one voucher to a replacement movie, like, I don't feel like I'm made whole by that because I've just had a movie ruined. I know it's not their fault. Right. But I'm like, I can never experience the Skeleton Twins as a full movie. Right. At some point, I'm going to catch up and see the ending of it, but it'll just be this weird fragment. Like I got food poisoning during the Royal Ten of Moms, and I missed a reel of it. Right. And I've never been able to fully catch up. Like, when I see that movie, I'm always aware there's a point that that's when I had to leave, and right. that's when I came back in, and I didn't know what was happening. It was, like, a crucial point yeah. that I missed. And so I'm like, I'm, I, I never get to experience the Skeleton Twins as a full piece. Right. It's always a movie that stops, and then I still I don't know how it ends. And I'm like, this voucher, like... I don't want to waste this voucher just coming in to see the last seven minutes of a movie. Right. I feel like the replacement for a ruined movie is uh, here's a, you get two free movies. Here's the movie that we messed up, and here's one on us. Yeah. That it's like uh, if you find fecal matter in your salad, the replacement isn't a free salad. It's two free salads. It's the I mean, whole in that dinner case, is it's, free. Yeah. Uh, if... if and I know their thing was you can see a 3D movie or an IMAX movie. And I'm like, nah, I don't really care about that. Like, to me, it's like the gesture is... And so it's like, well, you shouldn't be charging that much for 3D movies and IMAX movies. <laughs> yeah. Um, that it's... To me, it is one of those things that I'm like... I, and I went up to the... So as I'm walking out during the evacuation, I see there's people over at the customer service. And I went over to them and I, and I was nice about it. I was like, hey... Um, I was just in a, a movie. It was almost over, but like we had like another five or ten minutes, and we got a free voucher. But um, I just I feel like, the, and it really felt like a Larry David. Like right. I was being Larry David. I was like, I don't think this is like. Yeah. But I was like, I really believe this. Like I said, I just had a movie. Like I know it's not your guys' fault, but like that movie's ruined for me. Like it's ruined the my movie experience. Like 
I got I came into the city just to see this movie, and now I'm left very frustrated, and right, and I feel like two vouchers is the answer, and <laughs> they just refused to give me a second voucher. They said we don't have any we don't have extra vouchers to give out, and I was like, that's not true. I don't think that's true because I don't think this is a Times Square movie theater. You have 25 screens. You're doing fine, and you're also a big company that. It doesn't hurt you guys to give me an extra voucher, but like it's it, it's kind of made my day feel like I still feel frustrated by this. This is right. weeks later, and I'm still frustrated that AM, that AMC because I know how it works in customer service. If someone like also it, it bothered me because I wasn't being an asshole about it, right? Um, and it bothered me to know that if I was more of an asshole, I probably would have had a better chance. Of getting what I wanted. Yeah. That bothers me about the world. It's true. Um, But there's a part of me that also feels like maybe it's like not about being an asshole as much as just laying out the facts. Yeah. Like I felt myself recently have to be more um, assertive in work stuff. Yeah. Not not in an asshole way, but like just not budging on stuff. Yeah. In a way that um I could see someone being like, "Oh, you just got to sort of be a dick about it." And it's yeah. like, "No, it's just more about saying, here's how it is, here's the only solution. Do this solution." Yeah. Like this is the only thing that will rectify the situation, make this happen as opposed to like you burn a lot of emotional energy trying to yeah. be nice about it or make it present it in a way that's very palatable. And it actually ends up being less palatable because it makes it all emotional and very um, – it hurts you and it hurts the other person. You know what I mean? It's where it's like it's easier sometimes just to be like, nope, here's what's going to happen. Yeah. Here's how this is going to work. Um, and I found that it's easier to get stuff done that way and have things work out that way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Which is frustrating, but it's like almost like a a carapace of emotional. Yeah. Kind of looking very concerned at this phone right now. I uh, I sorry I checked out slightly, but I I uh, no I mean I've been checked out trying to do also do work throughout this. So. I I may have booked a corporate job tomorrow, so I'm I it's one of those like time sensitive things where I have to respond right away. I'm processing whether I can do it. Right. Um, but I'm going to do it. Um, That's exciting. Oh. Oh, it's just one of those things where every now and then there's a thing where, like, I'm I'm having not money problems, but. I'm my, having money problems. You're having money problems? Yeah. How bad? Let's talk in vague terms. Um, pretty bad. Uh, well, not so bad. Well, okay. I was on these jobs for two and a half months in Los Angeles, which were fine jobs. But yeah. They, weren't high paying jobs they were yeah. paying jobs but because taxes get taken out and i have an agent and manager that i don't for those who don't know agent and manager they take 10 percent um yeah. the checks that i was getting weren't large checks and yeah. as a result in terms of 
sort of liquid money that I had at my fingertips, I yeah. didn't. I came out probably even or maybe a little below because yeah. I had to end up paying for Airbnb. Yeah, and I had to pay for like Ubers to get to and from work and all this stuff. Yeah, um, which was cheaper than a rental car. I did all the math on it. Yeah, but so basically, I just sort of spent two and a half months not making any money so yeah. just staying even but I also still had to pay for my apartment here in New York and I had sort of other expenses that I had to pay for so right now I have not much money in the bank right now like I have to pay my rent check and it's like gonna yeah. take my bank account down to a uncomfortably tight spot Yeah. but I have jobs lined up so I'm not stressed because I know I have money coming in Yeah. but I'm just like ugh I gotta make it this like next whatever three or four weeks on this much money before I get enough money to sort of, uh, I mean, I guess it's not even enough money to make me comfortable again, but at least enough money to like yeah. start chipping away at the, <laughs> yeah, those things. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, my thing is I, I have, I try to keep a cushion in my bank account. Um, and I've fallen below my cushion. Oh my! I don't have a cushion. My cushion is yeah, gone. I well, that's the thing is for me. I I try to keep this cushion intact, and just with this year, with having a, I've had a lot more gaps where I'm going home to visit uh, for health things for my dad or other things, or there'll be periods where I'll just like I just have more periods where I'm taking time and not working. Right and. Uh, and then I've had, I had, I've had a couple of things. I mean, these are my own fault. Like I had probably the single biggest extravagance in terms of like a single purchase that I couldn't justify it in terms of like, I bought the Beatles mono box set, the vinyl box set, which is expensive. Uh, how expensive is that? Let me see how much I paid for it. Um, it's, but it's one of those things where the, I have a list of things in my head that I'm like, I'm – when Elvis got out like tomorrow that uh, – or, or next week that basement ta- new basement tapes, Bob, uh, Bob Dylan thing that Elvis Costello's on comes out, there are certain right. expenses that I treat them as if they're just like a utility bill. Right. Like if Elvis Costello comes out with an album, I'm just like, oh, it's like I got a bill from Con Edison. I don't question it. I'm just like, oh, I got to pay this. But instead of a utility bill where I'm like, oh, I've already used this energy and now I'm paying for it. Right. I'm like, oh, great, I get a Costello record out of it. Right. So it's like a bill where I'm like, oh, I have to pay this bill, but um, I get this th- treat that I want. Okay, the Amazon Prime or whatever price for the Beatles in mono vinyl, I don't know if this is what I paid for it, but like right now the price for it is $336. That's not so bad. It's not so bad. But it's a lot for music. It's a lot for a box full of records that I actually have all the music already. Right. But you you are a collection person though. You like the visual. I've also never, like, since I was a teenager, I've been like, I'd love to own all the Beatles records on vinyl. I'd love to own those records, and I've never bought any other editions because I've always been like, someday they're going to come out with the original ones in mono, and that's really what I want to own. And because when I was in, I had a, when I was in high school, I was very aware of the fact that like, oh, if you listen to these, they're all a lot of them are like pan stereo where like vocals are on the right side and the drums are on the left side. I never liked how that sounded. Right. 
And um, so it was always a thing where it's like when you wait for something for that many decades and then it comes out where I'm just like, oh, this is a given. I'm going to buy this. It's not going to get cheaper than it is now. Right. So I'll just buy it. I just accept it. But it is one of those things where it fell at a point where I was also like, oh, I also didn't work the whole month because I had trips and things. And also when you're when I'm going to Missouri, we'll have like, oh, there's also the flight and there's also the right. airport shuttle. There's also like, so there's things that, that's why I've dipped below the cushion for this. Right. Um, so when I get an email, like, fortunately, every now and then I'll get an email that'll be fortuitously timed, which will be like, oh, do you want to do an improv show for like a corporation that's like a half hour show that's like a few hundred dollars for for right. something that... At a certain, like, the show probably won't be great, but that's okay. But there's also, like, this is a thing that I do for free willingly in other contexts. Um, It doesn't really feel like work. The only work aspect of it is, oh, this audience might not like this. This show might not be that great. So, like, you you pay a premium for being, like, uh, doing a less good version of a thing that you do because you love it. Right. Um, I mean, in an ideal world... uh, There'd be a way. I mean, I guess there. It is one of those things. Like when I think back to like the last time you and I did improv was that uh, two prov set that we did, right? A while ago, which was like a drop in that we didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah, Mimi on the hoops' birthday. Um, yeah. Uh, which that set was so much fun that the idea I would never. It would never even occur to me to think like, oh, I wish we'd gotten paid for that. Right. Now at the same time, a world in which you and I do that set and then someone says like, here's five hundred dollars at the end of it. That's a nice world, but that's also a world that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, that's. I mean, there, that's a world that doesn't exist. There's no. There's no realm of possibility where that will take place. I don't know. I could imagine a world. No, I can imagine a world where we do an hour long set and someone gives us money. Not an hour world where we do twelve minutes and someone goes, "Here's five hundred dollars." I don't think this is a world we're going to live in. But let's say there was a world where you and I uh, became super celebrities. Not even super celebrities. We got a we got a little show on Adult Swim, and it 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 got a little bit of a popularity. And then someone was like, "Hey, JD and Connor, uh, I want to hire you to do a fifteen minute set at my birthday party. I live in Manhattan." Uh, and maybe I'll, yeah. Although I have a buddy who is a magician yeah. who gets hired just to go be at parties. Yeah. Not even like perform, just sort of like be around and do tricks every now and then, but like just be there. Yeah, it's very strange. Um, yeah, but the uh, I mean, I don't, I don't think that will happen. But that's not like a that's not a, a fantastical idea. Like, um, it's not outside the realm of possibility it's implausible that that would happen but i can imagine a world in which there'd be someone who would pay us a few a modest amount of money to do a 15 minute set at a birthday where the circumstances are you and i I love the idea that there's like a birthday party that wants improv well like i'm trying to think if i um was a successful person who had a lot of money and i was uh somehow uh, friendly or uh, had some sort of like friendly relationship with like just like Tim and Eric or something like that. And they were around and I was like, Hey, uh, would you guys do a thing at this party I'm throwing? And it's, and it would actually be insulting to offer them a few hundred dollars. That that feels like a low amount. But like, 
I could imagine being in a position where, I mean, people, rich, there are rich people who pay a lot more money for a lot less than that. It's true. Um, in my hometown, I guess that's true. There was a, a party one night, sort of like there was an area that's very wealthy, and uh, they just hired the Counting Crows to come play at their house. Holy shit. Yeah. How much do the Counting Crows get to play at a house? No a idea. lot, right? I'm sure, I'm, I'm, my guess is like, $40,000 It's got to be a lot because they don't want to go to that house. That's the thing about that kind of gig. Right. Counting Crows don't want to go to that house. That's not even like we'll go to Ohio and play at a stadium or something like that. Right. They don't want to go to that house unless maybe they know the person or something. And they didn't. Yeah. Let's put out – I'll put this out as an offer on the podcast. Um, if you want J.D. Ugh. and I <laughs> – I hate this already. I know this is going and I hate this. <laughs> I don't endorse what Connor's about to say. No, I, I don't Go even want to it, say Connor. it either. Uh, we'll do 15-minute improv set at your house for a $500 set fee. <laughs> That's the most – I won't do that. I refuse to do that. I'll do it. No, uh, I no, I won't do it. Uh, it felt. I sick. don't charge people that when I coach improv. You don't charge when you coach improv? No. I have to. If I'm, I mean, I, don't, I haven't coached in a while, but – But also, I, it's not like I coach like yeah. any rent – like. People in 201 couldn't email me and be like, "Want well, to coach?" I wouldn't do you it. You would do it. So you only uh, mostly I, the coach friends. Well, because you you've paid me to coach you at improv. Yeah, I have. Yeah, and I I don't think not personally. It was I was coaching JD's group. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't. I would if you just wanted personal one on one improv I, coaching. I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't charge that, you for that's it. Happened really? I've heard recently that that's a thing that's happening. Oh man, someone char- paying someone to come and just talk one on one about improv. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't charge you to – if you asked me that, I'd be like, J.D., I, first of all, you don't need it. And second of all, uh, okay, let's just hang let's out talk and talk. second beats, Connor. I just oh, feel like God, I'm not and that, – Then I definitely wouldn't charge because I had no idea how to do second beats. Um, the um, I just feel I, – I never charge for improv coaching because I feel like um, there's an aspect that's like a community of people trying to learn this thing together. Yeah. And the stuff that I'm usually working on is stuff where it's like – I'm trying to break a concept or sort of like introduce people to a frame of thinking as opposed to like, I've never coached a group that's just like, great, let's run a Herald. Well, I guess I have early on Yeah. where it's like, great, let's do a Herald and let me give you scene notes. Like I'm ne- I'm rarely giving scene notes or talking about like, you know, yeah. What, you know, doing a, tag-in. I keep saying I'm on the verge of getting back into coaching but I've been saying that for a few months now, and it hasn't really happened yet. I did a workshop recently in Denver, which was nice. Um, but I think the reason I, I – I always feel bad when I hear about people who don't charge for coaching. I know Gethard's done that a lot where he's like – I mean he doesn't do it – he doesn't coach improv I think yeah. anymore. But there was there were periods where he was like coaching, and it was just out of like a sense of duty. It was out of a sense right. of honor. Uh, that he was just like, no, this is like a thing that I'll help these groups that I believe in. Right. Um, and he's sort of the one that I took that mentality from. Yeah. Too. I can't afford to do that because if I'm, if I'm coaching improv, it's not because I want to, or because it's, it's like, I, and right. I've never advertised, I've never advertised myself as a coach. I've only ever coached when like a group has specifically come to me and said, will you coach us? And I've been able to, right. but then I haven't done it much for a year. And the flip side of the gather thing too is that like, if you came in and your group wasn't that good and not yeah. needed scene work stuff, gather would be like, "Here's the three things," and he'd like leave. Yeah. yeah. Um, which to me like, 
if someone someone were to want me to come coach their team that's just trying to learn how to do a herald, yeah, that would bore me so much to the point that I'd be like, you have to pay me. You have to pay me, yeah. So I don't, it's not that I don't think people need to be paid. I uh, yeah, I have varying thoughts on that. I also I'm skeptical of people that make their living only by coaching improv. Yeah, that may um, be me soon. Who knows? Right. I I understand it if it's like a. I have a limited palette of skills. Well, I, I understand it if it's that are a, mon- that are monetizable. a bridge situation and it's like you're doing other stuff. Yeah. Or a situation – like if you're teaching, that's a different thing. Yeah. Because it's like you, people are willfully like they, – Sign, They're signing, signing up. up. Yeah. yeah. Coaching, I guess they still are. But to me, there's something a little – I guess I've always felt that coaches should be like invested in their teams. Yeah, and so it's like always. I'm skeptical when people are like, "Yeah, I'm coaching eight teams a week," and I'm like, "Yeah, okay." And the other thing that <laughs> weirdly I don't like about it too is then I think that when one person is having too much influence on the way that a community is improvising, especially especially because the people who typically are coaching like eight teams a week are not people who I'm like, "Ah, oh, it's a brilliant creative person." It's usually right. people it, who are like, "Jobbing." All you do is improv. Yeah. Um, yeah, that like, like you're a person who I think would be positive for you to be coaching a lot of groups where there's people where they just try to create them, create a, like a market for themselves to just make enough money each week, which to me, I'm like, I want fewer people listening to your opinion on what, yeah, quote unquote performance art. I mean, my, be. I, there's a great website that improvcoaches.com, which is a really great website just in terms of organizationally, like. I wish that that website had existed when I was had a practice group that was right. actively trying. Because to me, there would be a thing where like a coach would have to cancel, and you'd just be like, "How are we going to find a coach?" Where it would just be so hard, right? Because you would just be relying on who do we know, and at that point, we didn't know anybody, right? And I put myself up on improvcoaches.com, and I made it clear on it that I have no availability right now, but I might in the future. But I will still get like a, a few emails a week from people just speculatively saying like, "Do you have availability?" Um, what I think I realized just through doing workshops and the, the very little amount that I have coached is that like I was nervous at first because I was worried that like what do I tell people if if I'm coaching a group and they're maybe not great? Right. Like do I lie to people or do I – like what do I say? What have you done in the past? Um, well, what I – like I remember there was uh, – I won't say <laughs> that what you mean but like the um, – there was a group – that I was coaching at one point that was the first time I was getting to know them, they were doing a set and, um, and I was like, Oh, like, I don't want to be too mean, but like there's certain things that need to be said about what they're doing. And I was like, how do I do like, how do I do this? And what I realized was like, you can pretty much, I think anyway, like maybe you can't turn, like you can't promise that you'll turn people who are struggling into like great improvisers. Right. Because there's certain qualities that like when you look at like a uh, just naming random great improvisers like a Chelsea Clark or so, the people who were like um, or John Gemberling or a Tamanick or a Shannon or people who are just like have it in their bones and they're great and they have something on right. stage that you can't like that can't have been taught to them. There's like a, they I'm sure they learned a lot when they were learning but like they have something that no one instilled in them that's part of who they are. Um uh, but people who don't have that, you can still make it more fun for them. Like you, you can still make it 
they're usually doing things that make it too complicated for them. They're making right. it hard. Usually anyone who's struggling is doing something that's making it harder for themselves. So there's almost always an aspect of maybe there's someone who is never going to be a snazzy dresser, but they don't have to walk around with their two of their shoes tied together. Right. And it's like, well, you can be comfortable and walk around and feel good about the clothes you're wearing. And you right. might not be ever someone who's going to walk down the runway at Fa- New York Fashion Week. But we can make it so that, like, your jacket's on f- uh, the right way and not back to front. We right. can make it so that your hat isn't pulled down over your face. Like, there right. are things that can make it uh, functionally better for you. Right. You can put some pants on. You know, like, there's yeah. things that you're like, oh, well, why are you doing this? You know, if you just – like, oftentimes when I'm, I'm – now this is me just giving away the five things that I know how to say to an improv yeah. group. So, like – Someone listening to this who's thinking of a coach would be like, oh, well, we don't need to hire him because uh, yeah. he just said it. But, like, there's that thing of, like, oftentimes, like, people will do a scene and you'll be like, why don't you just start out the scene by saying, like, lost my cold medicine. Or, so, you know, like, something real simple that is, like, a perfectly good way to right. start out a scene. But they'll want to explain the history of all the cold medicine they purchased and where they lost it. And, like, right. it'd be more fun if you just said something simple and attached a real emotion to it. So there's a lot of stuff like that that you can do. Yeah. But it's funny too, because that's like how you play as an improviser. I think that's what's funny is everyone's, yeah, everyone's notes as an improv coach, et cetera, is always very clearly related to how they are as a performer. I won't give this away on the podcast because I already feel like it's weird that I do end up saying some of the same things every time I'm coaching or doing a workshop. But I have inadvertently and quite naturally fallen into – I have a thing that I talk with groups about that is borderline like um, – Cheating? Not cheating. <laughs> yeah, I got some tricks. Um, no, borderline – well, the one trick I will say, I'll give this one away, is uh, if you can do accurate arithmetic in an improv set, you're going to get laughs. Right. Like it's the, it's the most guaranteed funny thing in an improv set is if you're in a scene and someone says – you said there were 14, but now there's three. If that's accurate, the audience will laugh. If you can point out something in a scene that involves arithmetic, people just find it so surprising that people right. on stage can make up math and it lines up. Especially if the math's about fake things. Yeah. Well, now there's five left. Right. Huge laugh. Right. If it's true that somehow the guy is taking their time to work out that now we only have five pizzas. Yeah. The audience will always laugh at that because they'll be like, it's true. That's yeah. true that there's only five left because that... Giraffe took three pizzas. Right. Um, but I have an aspect that is kind of like inspirational, almost like um, there's no place like home level, sort of like the answer was inside you the whole time. Right. Which is? I'm not going to give it away on the okay. <laughs> podcast. <laughs> this is, so if you want Connor to... You want to find out? I just stumbled upon it. It's a thing I actually believe. I'm just working through groups, and I was like, it's not me telling you, hey, here's some tricks for how you can right. be funny if you do things the Connor Ratliff way. It's that you realize it's me telling people, like, you re- let me point out to you that you realize that you being you, the most honest version of you, you already have the material to do these scenes and have them be good and feel good about right. them. Um, and it's not me saying, like, hey, wouldn't it be funny if you tried this? It's me saying, like, you thought of this, but then you didn't trust it and you didn't do it. But if you did it, 
you have the ability and it's been true of almost every single person I've ever coached. So I'm like, you yeah. can point out something that's like, why didn't you just talk about that thing you were going to do? I have one exercise that I usually, especially young groups that I make them do, that is always the thing that afterwards they're like, that, like they'll point back to that one exercise. Cause it is that thing where it's like, it's not even, I don't know, I, not even an exercise, but it's just a, a concept that I make them attempt. Uh-huh. And inevitably, they will be able to do it and do it in a really great way. Yeah. And no matter what, that becomes a thing that, like, bolsters them as far as, like, well, we did that so we can – we can. Yeah. That means it's out there. It's in the air. Yeah. Um, which that's one of my go-to. I have a few go-to things similarly. Of, yeah. Of that approach to stuff. And the same notes that I give over and over and over again. Yeah. Like the scene work note stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And then usually, though, when I'm coaching groups, too, it's always they're like, we want to do something big. We want to really shake things up. Yeah. And you're a good person for that. I feel like if I was in an improv group and I was like, we want to put on a big circus, I'd be like, we got to get JD. Like, he's the ringmaster. He's the guy that will turn your improv group into something that's, like, new and crazy and different. Um, which is fun. But I think the thing that's hard is that especially a lot of young groups want that. And it's like, great. So step one is get really good at just regular improv. Yeah. Because you can't do any of this yeah, if, if you you're don't not do those good things. at improv. I always, I always feel it's interesting because I feel like increasingly with everything that I do. One sec. I'm going to listen, but I have to put something outside real quick. Yeah. I feel like um, – and this is truer and truer with each passing day and month and year that I feel like, you, uh, do you have a, I don't remember whether you have a, I, I think you maybe do. Yeah, I think I'm looking at it. Uh, in a previous episode, I've been loaning JD Simpsons DVDs um, for him to listen to the commentaries of. He's out of the room right now, but I don't know if you can hear this. But I think I see on his shelf, which by the way, uh, since we're in JD's apartment for all this episode, I take a lot of pride in seeing, oh, JD just came in and did a Macaulay Culkin style. Yes. Um, what'd you get? A check? Yeah. Oh, there's that cushion. I thought that, I thought that I'd already gotten a check that I hadn't gotten yet. Oh, I was like, I, that's the best feeling. Well, I had a moment where I was like the other day where I was like, well, good. I have these checks coming. And I was like, oh no, I already deposited those. I have no checks coming. Yeah. And then I like got really upset. And I was like, Dang it. And I have another check I have to send today. Yeah. It's basically every check that I get I have to send to my agency and then they send ten they take ten, send ten to my manager and send me the rest back. Everybody gets a piece. Everyone gets a bite of JD's money now. I know. Um, um but so a check just came in that I was not expecting. Today is a good day, Connor. It's a good day. Because I was real scared otherwise. JD, I, for those of you who since I know a lot of viewers aren't able to see the podcast. Um Right now, JD is on the floor rolling around with this one check, Scrooge McDuck style. <laughs> I keep diving off a tiny diving board onto this single check. Throwing the check up in the air, letting it hit him on the head. <laughs> yeah. Um, have you been watched? I probably haven't had any time. That's my Simpsons one. That's the current one you're borrowing, right? Oh, I've watched all of them. You've watched all of them. Uh, you are so efficient. Like, people loan me things and years go by and I'm like, I never had time to watch it. No, I've watched that. I watched that the week you gave it to me. And I've been wanting to give it back to you. I'll give it back to you now. Oh, great. Um, so I that, should have brought I should have brought a different one. I know. I should have remembered to. Um, 
I'll bring one to the Gethard show on Wednesday or something, um, if I remember. Um, um, but okay, what I was going to say, and we'll talk because we, spe- we had a specific okay. request to talk about Simpsons in one of the tweets. Oh, yeah, and uh, I need to point something else out. Well, I'm really proud of the fact that JD's entire uh, bookshelf. Well, DVD here, let's, shelf, talk, let's talk about this now. And I'm going to tweet out this photo. There's a little boco, a little. Uh, it's, okay, so last time Connor was in my apartment. Yeah. Um, he w- walked up to my bookshelf and pointed out all of the bad movies that he saw there and all the things he didn't like and all the weird stuff. And it was organized really in a nice, neat way. And he made me feel real guilty about the fact that... Yeah, you had movies that weren't great right next to movies I know you loved. And I was like, what's your system, J.D.? Because you're a guy... You're not hugely anal retentive about stuff, but you are no. an organized guy. Like, you're a guy and who... My, yeah, my system was that I organized types of movie together. Yeah. So it worked for me to find stuff. So I took a day, like a Sunday, like months ago, and I orga- reorganized my bookshelf to present everything in a way that was more um, pleasing. thoughtful and pleasing. And so one of the things that I've been doing is that I I finally made my actual top 10 list of top 10 movies. Oh, and wh- which shelf is the top 10? The movies that are facing you are part of the top 10. Okay, so I see The Muppet Movie. I see Diva. Yep. I see Dog Day Afternoon. I see Playtime. Yep. I say Who Will Be the Survivor? Uh, hands, hands on a Hard Body. Yep. Um, For All Mankind. And then there are one that someone borrowed from me that isn't back yet. Okay. There's another... I see the Toy Story 2 toy box. That may just no, be fixed out as no, a... No. Um... Toy Story. As much as I love Toy Story, that is, that is not... So I've finally written it down here. I'm going to... Yeah. Um, it's a, I keep it as a draft on my Tumblr. Oh, yeah. There's one... Hey... One of the movies is not out on DVD yet. What's that movie? It's a movie that came out in 2014. Mm-hmm. Do you know what movie it is? came out this year. Yeah. Um, I have no idea. But I, I'm always very bad at remembering recent movies. Manakamana. I have no idea what it is. Amazing. All right. It's one of, it was, it's, it, I watched it. Griffin Newman made me go see it. I'd wanted to see it. Griffin made me see it. He saw it for the second time. And it immediately entered my top 10 movies of all time. JD. So the ones that I don't have are, I'm up there, are My Neighbor Totoro, The Red Shoes, which someone has borrowed from me, Monokamina, and then, oh wait, is Loves of a Blonde up there? It should be. Mm-hmm. Wait, where the, where the frick did that go? Loves of a Blonde should be there somewhere. Um, I don't know. Ooh. Oh, man, there's something else I can show you, too. Yeah? Yeah. JD's movie? Wim Hark? What is that? JD's movies with Mike Hark. Oh, these are old classics. Have you been transferring them? My mother sent me our old VHS player and all of my old movies from when I was a kid. Holy frijoles. Yeah. This is a big this is a big thing. It's a big one. And the VHS player is great. 
Uh, have you started digitizing? Yes, I have. And I have this too. Oh yeah, this is uh, uh, my voiceover that you got to digitize right. at some point. To digitize it, I have to set up this system that's very complicated that yeah, connects yeah. everything to this. Yeah. So I had one day where I did like four hours of stuff. Yeah, th this is a. Um, I'm gonna take a picture of this too. Uh, this is an. Uh, I have a video cassette from the Missouri Baptist Convention Mountain Country Ministry, a story about you, uh, from October 25th, 1995. So, 19 years ago. It's an 11-minute uh, thing that I did a voiceover for, and JD is going to convert it for me. Um, very, I th I'm prepared to be amused when I hear this because I haven't heard it in a long time. Um, the uh, um, but anyway, lo but looking at this shelf, I'm very proud to have contributed to this reorganization. I think it's good work you've done. Thank you. Um, yeah, I need to do that. This is stuff. This is hard work. I need to do in my own apartment. I'm in the. I'm at the beginnings of a of a major holiday reclean because I need to get my apartment in shape so I can put my tree up. Oh man, that's one of my favorite moments of life. That's when I was getting rid of the packing when peanuts. When I was getting rid of the packing peanuts. My <laughs> mom talks about that moment. Yeah. How she was like, that summed up perfectly why you and Connor are both friends and extremely different people. Yeah. <laughs> Just that moment. Like, well, you made it clear to me. Well, you were making it clear to me. Like, that was the moment it became clear to me. Like, oh, why do I have these? Yeah. Prior to that, I was like, yeah, I got to keep these. Yeah, it was like insane. <laughs> oh, anyways. Um, Man, yeah, so that was a big deal for me to finally put together a top ten. Here's what I want to ask you, JD. How many drafts do you? How many Tumblr drafts do you have? Just one. Just one. Yep. Oh, I was going to say, uh, what would it take to get you to publish all your Tumblr drafts? Today? I have a lot of questions people have asked me that I haven't responded to. Oh, yeah. Yeah, a lot of twelve-hour day stuff too. Um, someone said I just recently downloaded movie commentary to listen to as a podcast it worked out fine do you like movie commentaries uh, I'll answer that um, someone appreciating the my everyone is everyone is just a person rant from episodes ago someone saying from months ago that I was not a dick or out of line on the Gethard show. Thank when was when was it accused? When were you accused of being a dick? When Gethard did that episode of like, tell us if you want us to keep doing the show. Mm -hmm. And then I was not happy that we we're doing that episode because yeah. I don't really care. And so then oh, I right. said as much on the episode as it's like, I don't care what you have people have to say. Yeah, like I'm not interested. Then some. Uh, I mean, we don't have to. I don't have to get. There is some person that wrote a bunch of stuff totally going after me being like if JD ever wants to be an artist to get better at his craft blah 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 and man did it make me furious yeah. it made me so mad that someone had the gall to tell yeah. me how I should be getting better at my at the things that I do yeah 
So I think there's a lot of people that think that the get there show is the only thing that any of us do. Yeah. We're all just like these like sort of like hapless dreamers that want to make some sort of career out of this and they yeah. feel like they can give us advice and it's like, no, 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 no. Like, I, I, I don't need your advice. I have plenty of things going on that are not the get there show. Yeah. Here's the thing that really annoyed me. I won't say who said it. Well, I'm... I mean, it's to be... They'll know if they listen. Yeah. And I was going to respond to it on Tumblr. Uh-huh. But I didn't know. I couldn't find the, the, the tone that I wanted to respond to it with. Here's... I'll, I'll yeah. posit the question to you. Yeah. This person said, 12-hour day gives me an impression of New York that's very different from that of most things that are specifically set in New York. Mm-hmm. Every interaction, even with complete strangers that one will never see again, sounds polite and courteous and seemingly deliberately effusively friendly. Is it just you and Connor, or is New York really like that? I'm never a part of or even witness to interactions with strangers like that in Toronto, as it would be impolite to be so obvious about being polite. Wait a second. I don't know if I fully understand that. Okay, I'll say it again. Every interaction, even with complete strangers that one will never see again, sounds polite and courteous and seemingly deliberately effusively friendly. Yeah, so it would be rude to be as polite as we're being in Toronto? Yes. Mm. I've never part of even witnessed interactions with strangers like that in Toronto, as it would be impolite to be so obvious about being polite. Hmm, that's weird. Almost a criticism, right? Yep, that's what it felt like to me. Um, and my response, like, I wanted to say this. I, I'm trying to think of what, honestly, maybe this is, I'm trying to think of what interactions we've had on the podcast with strangers, because I can't think of any that have been overly polite. I just think, like, I mean, there's a reason why they call it the golden rule. There's a reason why no one does bits about how the golden rule isn't so golden. It's a fucking great rule. Right. It's so basic. Just, you know how you like to be treated? Try treating everybody that way. That way you, hopefully it goes viral and it comes back to you that most people are, if everyone's doing it, then you get treated the way you want. Right. It's both selfish, smart, and completely good to everybody. Like, try to treat people the way you want to be treated. Right. I mean... That's, as far as I'm concerned, that's the end of all religion for me. It's just like, if you can do that, if you can try to come close to matching that, and it's impossible to fully do it because you're going to come up with circumstances where you have to make choices. Even if you were doing something as simple as like holding Herald team auditions and putting people on it. Well, obviously you can't, you're going to be, that's just one example out of a billion that it's like the second you're running an audition for a thing where you're going to have to reject people, well, you're going to violate the golden rule. Because you're like, well, I want to be placed on the team, so I got to accept. You know, like, right. so you can't do it 100%. But if you just strive for it, even if in that system you strive for a system where you try not, make, not to make people like feel like shit when they don't get placed or something. Even right. if you like, if that's your goal, if that's always somewhere in your system where it's like you keep that program running, try as best as you can to treat people in a way that's like, if I was going to get like fired from a job, going back to the whole Tom Hanks thing, which I always go back to, but as a good example, it's like there are a million ways I could have been fired from Band of Brothers that would have felt less shitty. Right. And obviously, rule number one, I don't want to be fired from Band of Brothers, but assuming I, if you concede the premise that I have to be, my eyes are too dead, I will ruin Band of Brothers. Uh, 
there are ways in which I could imagine being fired from it where I'd still be bummed about it, but I wouldn't feel like shit about it. Right. Um, I don't think the way that you and I interact with strangers is particularly remarkable, but I do think we have a knee-jerk, like, say please, say thank you. Like, there's certain things that are right. ingrained in us where if you're in a store and you're buying something from someone, my assumption is that don't give a shitty time to the... Like, even when I was, like, complaining at the movie theater, I want to make it clear, like... Someone tweeted, I can't remember who it was, someone tweeted something about um, how when they're on the phone with UPS, they are not the best version of themselves. Right. I think it might have been Morgan, Morgan Grace Jarrett. I think that was her who tweeted that when she's on the phone with UPS, uh, a very funny performer at UCB, um, that she is not the best version of herself. I'm like, oh man, I relate to that because I fucking hate UPS. But when I'm trying to deal with them on the phone... I will still try to build in some level of acknowledgement to the person on the phone. Like, I know this isn't your fault. I'm not trying to be uh, angry at you. I'm just frustrated with this system. Right. Um, Which I feel like that's just like a bare minimum. Like, I'm furious with the fact that UPS, a company that has paid money to deliver things to people, has a system built up where they try to deliver it while people are at work. and And their systems for... What if you're not there when they deliver it are so inadequate right? and frequently involve asking you for more money right. for a thing they've already been paid to deliver to you. Um, but even when I'm interacting with them, I'm trying to be, I don't want to make someone's day who doesn't deserve it worse. I don't want to make someone have a worse day than they were going to have if they hadn't interacted with me. Right. Um, to me, that just... That doesn't, I don't understand in this question what is impolite about how, I mean, as long as you mean it, what could be impolite about being polite? Right. And so that, that was sort of what my response is going to be is like, I think this is just a weird term, turn of phrase in their question that I don't fully understand. Um, I'm going to try to secretly urinate while we have the next part of this conversation. I can still hear you. My, cause see my response was going to be. Something along the lines of, I think you have it wrong. Yeah. Like, I think you've misinterpreted the world around you if you ever think it would be impolite to be polite. Um, like, I think, it, I think it's a, there's a level of um, neuroses or self-consciousness that mm-hmm. must, you must be taking on to think that people would be, oh, it's they're obviously trying to be polite, and it's, uh, and that that somehow could be translated to, into a bad thing. Yeah, it's like, uh, shouldn't we all trying to be trying to be polite? Like I mean, everything I'd is rather, so. Yeah, I'd rather err on the side of being too polite. Exactly, just because everything is so frustrating and awful, especially yeah. in a city like New York, where it's like. Every second, there's something that could fr- be frustrating to going on. Yeah. Um, the least you can do then is in the moments between those, dealing with each other, try to be polite. Because guess what? There's probably going to be a moment like 10 seconds later where someone really bothers you and you have to be – someone is rude or you have to do something that's going to frustrate something. So it's like when you can, why not just be polite? I don't know. It bothered me. 
it bothers me to think that there would ever be a downside to being someone could it bothers me that someone could consider that there would ever be a downside or something rude about being polite to people yeah i i'm going to be overly polite in responding to that question and just assume that they did a really good job of secretly urinating i have to say I don't. I don't think anyone will have had any idea that I just urinated. Except for the fact that you announced it. I announced it, and they'll hear the toilet flushing. But I still take pride in the fact that there's not going to be. There's not going to be a point where so. I, I think even with enhanced audio. Uh oh, did I break your hanger? No. It's already was like that. Yeah, it's a, it's just already a, a screw came out of it. Oh wait, what? Oh, that. Oh, yeah. Don't worry about that. Okay. Just set it up anyway. That'll. Okay. I put the screw next to on the on the sink there. Okay. Yeah. It's always. All right. Um, a mess. Yeah, I'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt and assume that that was just like, um, you guys are so polite. It's almost rude how polite you are. That it was just a failed attempt at saying we're very polite, and I don't think New York is. I don't think we're in, we're, I think there's plenty of polite people in New York. Right. Plenty. I also do think that they're, judging just from the number of people who won't let people off of the train when they want to get on, that alone in any given day happens so much. And it's such an obvious thing. Like, you're just clogging up the – you want to get on the train. There are people who are on the train who need to get off first. That has to happen first. Right. Just basic displacement. Um, that in order to make room on the train for you to get on the train you want, uh, you need to let people off first. And the way people just stand in front of the doors and make people push their way off the train is so disgusting to me that uh, – I wish there was a really punitive way of dealing with it. Um, but I don't think, yeah, I don't think that, um, I don't think we necessarily, I think we provide a picture generally of a certain, I think you and I are generally like a lot of people in the in our kind of like fringe comedy community. People are generally pretty nice, pretty considerate. Right. Like I, I think you and I are indicative of like, if you were to interact with the Gethard Show crowd and the people who both make and like attend those shows, I think it's generally it's a nice community of nice people who are, will be polite to you. If you if if someone listening to that came, is that a person who lives in Toronto? I assume so. Yeah, like if you came and saw the Gethard Show and you interacted with people in the audience, uh, it would be people like us who were being nice and polite and right. friendly to you. If you came to UCB and were waiting in line for a show, you'd generally probably be ha- dealing with people who are nice and enthusiastic and, you know, I mean, I think you and I, I think one of the key things that you and I share is I think we are both enthusiasts. Right. I think you and I are driven by our enthusiasms for things, by our positive, positivity gets a weird bad rap. Because there's so many cynical people and there's so many negative people. And you and I both have things that we're negative and cynical about. Right. But we're not negative and cynical people. Those aren't defining. Like Olympic swimming. 
Yeah. Like, you don't like it. Yeah. Um, you should be able to do any stroke. <laughs> um, but I don't, but I think, to me, it's just such an obvious way to, I mean, it's, it's all, it's our natural tendency. I, I mean, I know there are people whose natural tendencies aren't that, and that's, that's just like a burden that a person like that has to live with. If your natural tendency is to be negative. Right. I mean, you're going to have an unpleasant life unless you can curb that in some way. But to me, it's just like the awful stuff in life will happen to you anyway. You're going to deal with a million things that are frustrating and bad and worrisome and make life bad. Like the horrible stuff takes care of itself. So people who dwell on it and lean towards that, uh, you know, to me, it just seems like that's a, you know, it, it's, it, it, to me, there's so much great stuff in the world that it just makes sense to try to focus as much as you can. Like, even something like, just to point, just to bring back, like, something like, I've been now doing these George Lucas talk shows since last spring. And uh, th- this last one, I think, was the eighth one that I've done. And someone was asking me, like, so, like, do you like him more now that you're doing it? I'm like, yeah, I definitely right. do. Like, George Lucas, to me, is a fascinating guy. He always has been. He's been, like, a defining... The first memory I have is of the 1978 re-release of Star Wars. Uh, that's the earliest thing I can remember, that I can remember actually experiencing. And... But the interesting thing to me is that even the stuff that I kind of have fun with that are like George Lucas has made a lot of bad movies. He's made a lot of bad creative decisions. And um, but I actually have a lot more respect the more I've dwelled in those kind of there are things that are funny about him. That, that if you if you're George Lucas up until 1982 or 83, if George Lucas had died in 83, he would only be spoken of as. A, a man who achieved the best version of everything he tried. Right. He would be looked at the way people look at the actor John Cazale. Or Wait, Cazal. how did we get here? What? How did we get here? Uh, they're talking about being cynical or being positive. Right, there we go. And I don't remember how you pronounce that actor's name. John Cazale or John Cazale? The guy who was in uh, Godfather, Dog Day Afternoon, Deer Hunter, right. The Conversation. I thought it was always Cazale. Cazale, maybe. Cazale. Uh, was he in another movie? I don't know if there was a fifth movie, but every movie he made was perfect, and he was great in every one of them, and then he died, which is horrible. I right. wish he'd lived longer. He would have done great in the 90s. Like, I feel like he would have been in Pulp Fiction, or he would have been Reservoir Dogs. Like, he right. would have been... Tarantino would have used him, for sure. He would have been in everybody's movies in the 90s, because even if he'd only made shitty movies after that, I would have liked it. He had such a distinct look, too. Yeah. But people point to him as like he had a – no one has a better batting average than him. Every movie he was in was bad. He never grew up and did Righteous Kill or, or things that like – as like Pacino and De Niro got older, they've done a lot of like movies that aren't great. Right. But I would rather John Cazale have lived longer and been in some shitty movies like Righteous Kill because we have also would have gotten him – maybe he would have been in Rushmore. Maybe he would have been – you know, there's any right. number of things that he would have been great in. And so George Lucas, if he died in 1983 – 
everyone would be like, he was the perfect filmmaker. He made every kind of movie, and then, oh, man, what if he'd lived? What great movies he would have made. And instead, George Lucas, at a certain point, I'd say it corresponds with the exact moment that he started to get complete creative control. He's like a cautionary tale for the dream of getting... Every artist dreams of getting to the point where no one can say no to them and they can just perfectly achieve their dreams. I would say that like George Lucas is the cautionary tale for like he did his best work when he had a lot of constraints. He was having to fight to get things made. He was having to struggle to get his point across, things like that. But I would also say that from that point on, you kind of never again have a perfect thing that George Lucas makes, it, or it's rare. They're the outliers. You have a lot of very ambitious things that all have something wrong with them or some things wrong with them. But you also, I would argue that even within all those movies, even with movies that I don't have a lot of time for, like the Star Wars prequels, he never stops being ambitious. Even a movie that's bad, like Howard the Duck, that was a great idea for a movie. That was like a really weird idea for a movie. It was no one had made a Marvel movie. Right. Howard the Duck was a pretty cool comic book in the 1970s. It was funny. It was sharp. His instinct to make a movie out of it was right. I don't think the way they made that movie was correct. But I can't fault George Lucas. I actually think it's – if that movie hadn't been made but you knew that it was a movie he tried to get made, we'd look at it as like, oh, George Lucas wanted to make a Howard the Duck movie. Pretty cool. It would just be looked at like it's him having like kind of hip taste. kind of weird out there idea to make that movie. Um, The, and even something like the young Indiana Jones Chronicles, which is not a great TV show. It kind of takes what was fun about the Indiana Jones movies. And it kind of is like the vegetable equivalent of that, which is like, now how about some broccoli and some kale? It takes like a swashbuckling adventure film and turns it into a, good for you educational series where young Indiana Jones meets historical figures and you learn something. Connor's got to keep talking. Uh, uh, Connor's got to keep talking. <laughs> All right. Um, JD's going to take a phone call. Um, so JD's left the other room. He's not going to know what this part's about. But what I would say is that like even the young Indiana Jones Chronicles uh, that was a that was a uh, a film that was a TV series where he was so ambitious that it actually changed the way feature films are made because they were he was having to try to figure out how to do things on a limited budget he was having to figure out like how do I show the Russian army if I only have twelve actors well maybe we can film them and then loop them over and over digitally and create like an an army out of these twelve actors and that's how you end up. Indirectly, you end up with a movie like Lord of the Rings, where you have a giant army of, of uh, orcs or something. You, so it's like Young Indiana Jones Chronicles is not a show that's going to be remembered as a great show, but I would say it probably had an impact on a lot of things that, like, it, he still was innovating even within shows that I would say on some levels are not entirely successful, or in some cases, some things I would say like, yeah, it doesn't work for me at all. I would say that's kind of a failure. So I, I really have. Um, even though there's something really funny to me, you know, I've done the, this ongoing bit on the Guthrie show, uh, running for president, trying to win a gold medal in the Olympics, things that I probably can't achieve. Although I do, I do want to win a a gold medal. 
Um, or do we at least figure out a way of getting to the Olympics, into the Olympics, or into a qualifying round for the Olympics? Oh, I'm so lazy with this. I don't know how to do it. But um, there is something that I find funny about striving for success. The ambition to be successful at something is amusing to me. And failure is amusing to me. I mean, I guess it's because failure in real life is actually one of the most painful things there is. When you fail at something, when you try your best and you fail at it. And, you know, things like that are also fodder for comedy. And so to me, the, George Lucas is a unique individual in, in, this sen- in many senses, but particularly comedically in this sense. He's one of the most successful artists of all time, one of the most successful human beings of all time. And yet he has decades of things that are considered, regarded as failures, while at the same time technically being very successful. Like a lot of people would look at the Star Wars prequels and think of them as abject failures. As I look at them and I think of them as failures. And these are movies that by a lot of metrics are hugely successful. They've made hundreds of millions of dollars. Like the Star Wars pre like George Lucas's failures are more successful than most people's successes, uh, by a lot of standards anyway. And that to me is uniquely amusing. There, that's funny to me in a way that I, I almost find hard to articulate, although I am attempting to articulate it. That you can be so successful while doing things that are often just uh, categorized as failures. And yet they are technically, you know, he's built an empire on a lot of these things, you know, an entertainment empire. Mm. But I don't think that that's an especially... I don't think my take on him is sometimes it's cynical, but I also don't think I could spend as much time as I've spent inhabiting that character if I didn't like him. Like, even the thi- I do think there are elements of hubris to him. I do think there are elements of uh, denial. Like when you hear him talk about like Jar Jar Binks, or he'll talk about certain things, and he'll say things that I'll think like, "Oh, you that's fundamentally." You're kidding yourself if you think that, like he'll say that the Star Wars movies were always for children and that very young children love the prequels and it's just adults being cynical. I actually think that's like deep, deep denial. Like it's just disregarding the fact that the first three movies that were made were better and the newer movies were not as good. And he's just dealing, I mean like, I don't, I, I actually hate criticizing people. I really do. Um, and I can, I, I, part, there's a part of me that would be embarrassed if I was like saying these kind of things and then George Lucas walked into the room. But at the same time, not that embarrassed because I don't think you could get to, like, there's so much of my brain that's taken up by THX1138, American Graffiti, Star Wars, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Empire Strikes Back. Uh, Labyrinth, uh, the Ewok movies. Uh, how are the, uh, some, I'm getting into some of the things as we get into the, the phase of, of George Lucas that is less well-regarded and less creatively successful. Um, but it's always like you can't, you can't have the kind of like you can't have that much of your brain taken, or I can't anyway. 
I couldn't have that much real estate in my brain taken up by something that I didn't like. Um, and even though like, I don't, I don't imagine a time I've had to watch parts of the prequels as I've done these shows to look for clips, look for edited things. And they're not films, but they're not films I want to revisit for enjoyment, but the first half of his career and then certain things like labyrinth, I would revisit that. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but I couldn't do a thing that was just like, Oh, let's shit on George Lucas. Like part of it is like, if you come to those, these shows that I've been doing, which now I'll get in a plug while JD's out of the room, starting in December, December 5th, um, we're going to have a a regular slot because we've been just been doing this, um, at whatever time slots are available from month to month. But starting in December, Friday, December 5th, we're going to be doing the first Friday of every month at UCB East at midnight. So I'll do stepfathers over UCB and then head over to UCB East for the midnight show. So our first one is going to be a life day celebration because it's going to be in December. Everyone knows the star Wars holiday special, which is the Christmas special, uh, is really about life day, which is George Lucas's version of Christmas. JD's back in the room now. <laughs> you're, you're talking about the Christmas special. Yeah. Well, cause I was saying that the, I was saying that I couldn't do the George Lucas shows that I've been doing. If I, if he was just this guy that I thought was an asshole who, if I was just cynical about it, like, if someone comes to one of those shows and they are a diehard Lucas fan, I think they'll enjoy the shows. Right. Like, I don't think there'll be people who'd be like, I came for a celebration of Lucas and you just have this bile about him. Like, I don't think it's a, it's not an angry show, even though there's sometimes can be like a pointed joke here and there. I think people who go who are like big, big Star Wars fans, they enjoy the show. They enjoy, like, it doesn't read as just like a cynical, let's shit on George Lucas type show. Right. Even though there'd be jokes every now and then that would be, um, you know, if, if George Lucas came to one of the shows, I might be like embarrassed that I made a certain joke or two, you know, like there'll always be an element like that maybe. Right. But I was also plugging that we have a regular slot starting in December where we're the first Friday of every month of the beast. Uh, and the first one's going to be a life day celebration. Uh, that'd be really fun. Yeah. I want to try to. I haven't yet figured it out. I want to try to incorporate. It's the greatest Wookiee holiday. It is. I want to, without it just being like, I don't want to just regurgitate bits from the show. But I'd like to get someone uh, to sing the Carrie Fisher song, "The Life Day We Celebrate a Day of Life." I'd like to legitimately just incorporate those as if. Uh, oh, speaking of holidays, you know, when I was walking here and I walked past the Euro Market, right? The song "Let It Snow" was playing. Really? Yeah. Weird. I was making jokes, although I kind of do sincerely mean it. If my apartment was tidy, I would have already put up my tree. Um, yeah, someone was saying, are you guys going to put up Connor's decorations today? Yeah. Um, I do no. consider as soon as Halloween's over, we're in Christmas season. And I consider Thanksgiving to be um, pilgrim pre-Christmas. Um, I consider the, 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 the month of November to be the... I am fully on board with Christmas lasting from the day after Halloween until... Um, New Year's and the uh, but I was very happy especially it's also a a let it snow like I think it's maybe a little early to play things like um, uh, things that are just overtly like oh holy night like things that are like December 25th related but I think you can play Sleigh Ride I think you can play it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Right. 
That's a great, like, those are great starters. Let it snow, winter wonderland. Um, I remember a few years ago, um, Eliza Skinner had a hashtag. Eliza Skinner, who I took musical improv from, very funny comedian and improviser. uh, But she had a uh, hashtag called winter jams, which were like holiday, like Christmas songs that weren't Christmas related. They were more winter and weather related that you can enjoy regardless of whether it was too early or too late for Christmas songs. Um, so I was, that really put me in a good mood. I was already in kind of a good mood, but walking here, walking under the Euro market and hearing their outdoor, th- outdoor thing playing Let It Snow because I was like, oh, good, they got the jump on it. Uh, right. I don't, I mean, I think if people are putting, I think it's a little weird. Uh, I was in a Walgreens the other morning and they already had their Santa Claus candy out and stuff like that. I understand that from a retail point of view, there's, a, there's an element of like, well, we got to get it up now. Um, and the, uh, but I like the season so much and I especially like the way New York looks, um, when all the lights are up. I always think January is so sad whenever the lights come down right? because the lights look so pretty. The Christmas lights look so pretty and January is I've such a I've always thought they just keep them up. Yeah. You know what I mean? At least for January. Especially the ones that are like, I love, you know, those lights on the trees at FIT when you um, are maybe walking towards DCB from the one train. Yes. I like those lights on the trees. I think they're beautiful. And those are year round. White lights on trees are always. um... But just January is such a sad month for people because they've got the after holiday blues. And I always think like there's an element of like, leave the lights up at least like. Right. Maybe take down the ribbons and bows, take down the explicitly Christmassy things. Maybe right. take down the candy canes or the whatever, you know, things that are specifically Christmas. Right. But just like the pretty white lights that are sometimes up or some of the pretty, like there's certain displays that I'm like, keep them up in Central Park. Keep these things up. These are nice. Yeah. Just leave it until February when then things start to get a little less bleak. Right. I agree. Why uh, make January more bleak? Can you keep talking for like oh, absolutely. five more minutes? Yeah. I have to fill out an insurance document. Absolutely. Um, I apologize. I'm going to talk. Uh, maybe I'll address a little bit of... Uh, and then, I, then I'll, I'll talk for an extended period of time. Great. I apologize. I, it's just... I got this production coming up. And today a lot of things need to happen. Uh, you're putting on a production of My Fair Lady. Yep. Off Off Broadway. All Mice. All Mice. Yep. M- mice Fair Lady. Yep. Um, buy tickets at Ticketmaster.com. Yeah. Have you have you gone to the Chuck Jones exhibit? At, uh... No, I haven't. How much time? Do I... Oh, no. I'm going to do that. Fuck. I just realized now. I've, I've gotten sad about something, which is that my plan was to go see that with my dad in uh oh, right. He's not coming at the end of November, but now my parents aren't coming for Thanksgiving. My sister's going to Missouri and I'm staying here. Right. So maybe I'll go to the Chuck Jones exhibit by myself. I went. I'll go again. How is it? Yeah, I'll go I'll with go you. Again. That'd be great. Yeah. I look you know, I met Chuck Jones when I was little. Really? I he embarrassed me a little. I mean it was my fault. Of course this there's no story of you meeting someone that doesn't end with like it didn't go quite as I wanted it to. Um no, not true. Because I hung out with Gary Trudeau and Robert Crumb. Uh, right, and that and went, both exactly of those went, went exactly. How like, did Chuck Jones? I went to Webster University. My mom took me to um, Chuck Jones gave a talk, and they screened some cartoons at Webster University. Okay, 
I was one of the few children there. It was all adults. It was like a, because it was a screening, they had like targeted that. And for my question, I had these like um, promotional stills and things from when my dad worked at the TV station. Right. That were um, Warner Brothers related. Old CBS Warner yeah. Brothers. And I basically just wanted to know if Chuck Jones would sign one of them for me. And I guess the way I worded the question, I explained too much about what these were exactly, and I think it made it confusing. And Chuck Jones's answer was basically no, but also he got like a laugh off of making fun of like a little kid answer asks a question. He's like a little kid asks a question, and the question is, um, "Hi, yeah, I have um, I have these like production stills." From uh, my dad works at a TV station and, they, and does a kid show where they show like Looney Tunes, Warner Brothers cartoons. And so I had these like promotional stills that of like Bugs Bunny and Wiley Coyote. And I was just wondering if there's any way that I could get you to sign one of them. And Chuck Jones made a joke, something along the lines of like, I'm not really sure what the question is in there or something like that. Because I was just trying right. to get an autograph. I was just a little kid right. who wanted Chuck Jones to sign something. And I think I may have also mentioned that I owned a limited edition cell. That I, I was very proud. It's still the greatest present I think anyone's ever given me. My parents got me a Chuck Jones. Chuck Jones would do these limited edition cells in the 80s that were, they weren't production cells. But they were all individually signed. And they were basically like he would draw a new drawing on celluloid. The, the way cartoons used to be made, they would the the pencilers would um, do the animation, and then there'd be inkers who would draw the the black outline or the whatever the outlines of the character on the front of the cell, and then painters would on the the celluloid is clear on the the other side of it. They would paint them in in the color, and this they would lay these over the background. And in traditional animation, this is what. Uh, the part that moves is the part that's on the cell. The background would remain consistent, and that's how they'd create movement. And, um, But at the point where Chuck Jones and different animators from the golden age of animated cartoons were sort of... They were old men, they were elder statesmen, and they were making their living doing limited edition prints. And, so, and these limited edition prints... I mean, now I'm, I, I haven't changed at all. This is the same reason why Chuck Jones found my, my answer confusing. It's too much explaining. But there was a, a gallery exhibit at the Clayton Art Gallery in uh, St. Louis, Missouri. And the cells were all like a few hundred dollars. And I remember that the one that they got me for Christmas was $350. Right. More expensive than the uh, Beatles uh, mono vinyl box set. Very much so. Um, but I, I still remember that Christmas morning. I couldn't believe that I owned a drawing signed by Chuck Jones. And my, it was called uh, Night of Nights. And it was a drawing of uh, Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck on a stage together. And it was drawn in his later style. It didn't look like it was from a vintage cartoon. It, it, Chuck Jones kind of had a a different style of drawing as he got older that kind of defined, uh, he had a different sort of more illustrative way of drawing them. And so I think I talked about that cell in my question. And I remember being so hurt that he got this huge laugh off of kind of making fun of how, in, how incoherent my question was. Right. 
And I remember being just like, there were all these adults there who were asking questions. Like I remember this woman asked asked a question of him that was like, I have a question. When, oh, when are you going to let the coyote catch that, that poor coyote catch the roadrunner? And everyone like, and she got like a pleasant laugh. And he, and, and I remember the time thinking like, how come he doesn't make fun of that question? Like that woman right. has no idea. She has like a, a, a casual interest in these cartoons. Right. And I'm like, I know his work. I know his early, uh, Chuck Jones's early cartoons when his style was closer to Disney and he was sort of the odd man out at Warner Brothers. He was his, his like cartoons were less funny. And I know when he it, they took a turn, and I was aware of his work after Warner Brothers when he was still doing, when he took over Tom and Jerry, and he had his own way of doing Tom and Jerry cartoons. It was very identifiably him. I just and I remember thinking like that woman has no idea that there is a cartoon made right. for television where the coyote does catch the Roadrunner. Uh, it was made for the Bugs Bunny's Busting Out All Over special, which was a Chuck Jones special that basically was like three new cartoons made for television. One that was like a, about um, Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd as like like little kid versions of them interacting with each other, and then there was a and there was a Roadrunner cartoon in this one that at the end the coyote for some unexplained reason they go through a a pipe that keeps getting smaller and smaller. And that for some from some Dada esque reason, absurd comedy reason, when they come out of the short end of the pipe, they're both shrunk down to little miniatures. So that the Roadrunner coyote run back in through the pipe that gets bigger and bigger. The Roadrunner comes out normal sized, right? And the coyote is still small. So the coyote catches the Roadrunner, but the Roadrunner is too big. And the coyote holds up a sign to the camera that says, um, "Well, I finally caught him." Now what? Something along those lines. Right. I still feel like that joke, the note I would give that joke, if I was coaching, if Chuck Jones was the improv team and I was coaching him on that Roadrunner cartoon, is I would say you've got two jokes there. One is that he catches him, but he's too big. I almost would have preferred a joke if he caught him outright at a normal size. Because the reason that he doesn't know what to do is because he's a miniature now and the Roadrunner's too huge. In some ways, the joke would have hit harder, I think, if the coyote had caught the roadrunner in a normal way and then just been like, now what do I do? Anyway. I think so, but... Well, he would have known what to do. He would have eaten it. Exactly. Um, this is, I think the comedy comes from, well, you've gotten your wish, but now your wish is different than you wanted it to because the roadrunner is gigantic. Yeah. Um, but I think my joke would have been to have him catch the roadrunner, cut to him... Having eaten the Roadrunner, and then have some sort of joke about like, well, now what? <laughs> like, sort of that like his life's purpose has been fulfilled and it wasn't that great. There's something there. I don't know. Right. Maybe Chuck Jones's, Jones's original joke is the funniest. But I remember being so angry that that woman that I got made fun of when I knew I I felt confident. I still feel confident that I probably knew as much or more about Chuck Jones than anyone in the room, and I was like ten. Um, I might have even been younger. Um, but uh, how did I get on talking about Chuck Jones? Um, 
Because I asked if you'd gone to the. Uh, oh yeah, the exhibit. Exhibit, yeah. But I lo I love Chuck Jones is the best. That's another thing. Robin Williams, huge Chuck Jones fan. Never missed an opportunity. I always thought this was so cool about Robin Williams. He never missed an opportunity to throw himself into. If there was a tribute to Chuck Jones, Robin Williams would make himself a part of it. He right. he so admired Chuck Jones that if there, if PBS or someone was doing a special, Robin Williams would be like, "I've got to be on this special and talk about Chuck Jones." And it always elevated. I always felt like, man, I bet Chuck Jones really appreciated that to have like one of the most popular comedians in the world. Never misses an opportunity, because it's one thing to say like that you love the old Warner Brothers cartoons. There's another thing to really like speak up and say like Chuck Jones is a genius, right? And I always really respected that about the fact that uh, I like it. I I really like it when people who people remain fans of things. Like they don't just like get the thing about being enthusiastic about the stuff you like. I just feel like, I mean, we're so lucky to live in a civilization where we even have the freedom to enjoy what these kinds of, what in a, what in a less fortunate culture would be a, a real indulgence, you know? Yes. And I feel like given the fact that it is like a pretty, you're real lucky if you're living as a human being on planet Earth. And you have the time to wax enthusiastic about a cartoon or about like a thing you've a, a pop culture thing of any stripe. You were lucky not to be being murdered or uh, locked up in a horrible circumstance or uh, preyed upon by wild animals or by other humans. Like once you're in a in a that's what I think what makes me so angry about people who are so unappreciative of how you're lucky to be having the freedom and the time to have an opinion about a TV show. Right. And you're wasting your time saying about how much you hate the show. Go find the thing you like and talk about that. Like for every person who's ever left a YouTube comment on a thing they don't like that's a pop culture thing, fair enough if you're seeing a video of like some horrible atrocity happening – Feel free to leave a YouTube comment saying that you hate that atrocity. I'm not saying that. But, like, if you – like, there was a um, – there were a lot of people uh, commenting about the, the Chris Rock episode of SNL that happened this past year. Yeah, weekend. what was the controversy with that? Um, there are a lot of controversial things. There are some things – I you know, I, this isn't – I don't think this is me being uh, horrible about it, but, like – a lot of people are pointing out that this season, and I'm assuming there might be some weird production reason for this because I've noticed it a little that there have been like some cue cardy kind of issues this season, and that's not something yeah. generally I've noticed. I noticed that also. In the season premiere, I noticed there were a few like flubby things that I'm like, this isn't a normal thing, and, and happening by people who are supremely skilled and who have not had this problem in the past. So it makes me wonder if like, is there some new thing that they're working out the, the bugs of in the way right. the show is made. Right. Seems likely to me. Seems plausible. But the way people... And there was like a moment with... Um, uh, oh, who's the new person who just got made into a featured player? Um, she's did, uh, done Weekend Update I stuff. forget her name. Yeah, she's funny. Um, 
Um, I'll look up her name since I'm bad. I'm bad with the new names of, of people. Um, I'm bad with the old names. Oh, boy. Um, the... But there was a point where, and it is was one of the, like, as a performer, um, there it's it's hard to watch whenever something like overtly uh, goes wrong on a performance level. Um, but the uh, there was a part where something went wrong where the the oh gosh I really want to find the name of this. Uh, player because I feel like it's a disservice to not because I'm not saying anything bad I'm saying she's funny um the um something seemed to go wrong with there was either a missed line or something where she like left and then came back and there's like trying to find uh the cue card and uh it was a solid at least like five seconds uh of a camera focusing on someone who's like trying to find like what's going on, which for any live performer, you know, it had to feel like way longer. Right. Um, right. And I just can't imagine what that would feel like. And then knowing, and then knowing that you're just going to get like shit from it. Um, and Leslie Jones, uh, that's his. And so, uh, and I'm just like, oh, you know that like, the I mean, and there were problems. There there were things that go wrong with the in in various sketches. There were also a lot of really funny things that happened. And Prince did like a 12 minute musical slot in it. And but then you just see people like jackals, just like throng to. Uh, they just like go to Twitter to talk about how much they don't like this thing. And I'm just like, man, like I feel bad for someone that that's their. I was talking to someone a couple of years ago, a friend of ours, and I won't name them, who was saying about how because they're in the comedy community, they no longer feel the freedom to like live tweet during like SNL and make jokes about the show because they know people who work on the show. Wasn't that what? What? Were, were you talking about that? Me? I was talking about that. We did that on wasn't you? No, it wasn't you. Oh, okay. Have we talked about this before? Oh. Oh, this is my nightmare is that I'm just repeating things from past episodes. No. because uh, well, I was saying how I just don't I like I I like to not criticize yeah. stuff anymore just cuz everyone that we know is the ones making it. Well, we we're talking about it with Matt Cohen. Yeah. Um no, this was right. She was actually re- relaying someone else saying that like, "Oh, now I can't live tweet like critical jokes of SNL during the thing. Oh, but well, yeah, I have issues people to do that anyways. Me too. And I was like, I actually think that's a great thing. I said, all it's doing is if that, if the person that this person was talking about has a great joke, that's a legit good joke. They probably still will tweet it because they'll know the joke is so good that it's okay. What it does is it gets, re- it weeds out like, Oh, one person is less compelled to be an asshole. Uh, right. That's a victory, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, because I'm just like, all these people who were like, tweeting about how like, this show's not funny anymore, or I hate this. I'm just like, why are you 
not seeking out something you do like. Right. If you don't like it, fair enough. I'll watch, I'll watch Saturday Night Live as long as they keep airing it because, to me, Saturday Night Live is one of those things that it's been on my entire life and uh, it's gone through periods where I've been less into it and it's gone through periods where I've been totally into it. And the if I truly tired of it, I mean, I will say that, like, for my own sense of, I don't necessarily always carve out 90 minutes on a Saturday night to watch it because I'm older and lazier and very frequently for me, Saturday Night Live now is more like Sunday afternoon DVR where it takes me, you know, I can watch the show a lot quicker because if I don't like a sketch halfway through it, I will tend to move on to the next one. Uh, right. And if it's a recurring sketch that I know what it's going to be and it's not one that I'm particularly into, I might skip through that. So it's a much shorter show for me than it was when I was, you know, in junior high and discovering it and watching, uh, watching it religiously every week. But I just like my advice to anyone out there. Well, I mean, I've also like, I, I remember, uh, I think I gave that advice to Matt Cohen at one point where I was talking about how like. He's, he, at one point on Twitter, was doing some pretty dark material that I thought, like, oh, if you don't know what he sounds like, right? this sounds like you're an asshole. Even if the joke's funny, your personality is not coming through. Uh, you need to hear the way you say it. Anyway. Um, one thing I'll talk about uh, that I'll circle back to, because uh, I'm looking at this Simpsons DVD that I loaned JD, is that... You know, Simpsons has been having a, a good moment this year with the marathon that got everyone talking about The Simpsons. Uh, that's another show that I don't have a lot of time for people who are super negative about The Simpsons. I was happy that most of this year was a has been a celebration of The Simpsons because I know a lot of people who talk shit about The Simpsons who are themselves funny people who I also know that if they got hired as a writer on The Simpsons, they would think of it as a dream come true. And they would immediately change their fucking tune about how The Simpsons is horrible now. Yeah, exactly. I agree. Um, or if they got like an episode on the air, they'd be like, oh, my God, it's the dream. It all happened. Yeah, like, okay. that it's like it's so much easier to be an asshole about stuff that you've removed yourself from and you're no longer thinking about in the way a human being who's behaving in a way that I considered decently. Right. Behaves about things like even if you don't enjoy The Simpsons or don't watch it anymore, there's a couple different ways you can express that, and I'm just always amazed that there's so many people who opt for the way of expressing it that is the most assholeian way they could express it. Uh, it's one thing to just be like, yeah, I watched it for 20 years, and at a certain point, it wasn't holding my interest anymore, so I didn't watch it anymore. Um, the, but the. The other thing that I was, when I was watching, I was like dipping in and out of that marathon because I was also busy the whole time this happened. So I was, I would miss whole swaths of like, oh, I missed this whole chunk that I kind of wanted to tune in for because I went to work or I had another thing I was doing. But it was interesting to dip into later seasons and see that like, oh, when you're not having to watch maybe the whole of season 17, but you're just seeing like the occasional episode here and there. Right. You might stumble across the episode that season that is better than any episode in an earlier cherished season. 
you know, or that is better than some than like the best episode of season seventeen might actually be in the top end of one of the classic seasons, right? Um, and that's an achievement. Um, but it was occurring to me that maybe, and this is maybe more aspirational on my part, but like the way people talk about James L. Brooks on The Simpsons. I feel like that's been the way I've been veering in terms of like everyone always talks about James L. Brooks, not comparing myself to him. I think he's a genius, but um, how his role in The Simpsons is very frequently to be like keep things grounded in an emotion. Right. Like he was sort of credited with when they made The Simpsons movie with like there's the part where Marge makes that videotape for Homer that uh, where it's her kind of saying like I can't take this anymore and it's a very emotionally grounded part of the movie it sort of makes the movie uh makes the movie whole he's always the guy like he's the guy who in the classic uh lisa substitute episode with dustin hoffman the note that the substitute gives to lisa simpson at the end that she opens up and it says you are lisa simpson right that sort of famously James L. Brooks, like, he was the one who came up with that. And the guy who, I think, wrote the episode or one of the producers at the time, like, openly says, like, he didn't understand that at all. Like, when they were writing it, and he was like, the notes say this. And he was like, whatever, I don't get that. Right. And then he was like, years later, he's like, oh, yeah, I get it. <laughs> like, yeah. But it was one of those things where at the time, he was probably like, that's not funny. Right. Um, I do feel like that has increasingly been, like, my approach to almost any comedy thing is to look at like what's the emotion part of this, whether it's funny or not. I feel like that's your like roadmap back to something. That's your, that's always your, your right. It's almost a can't lose scenario. If it's like in anything you're doing, if it's almost like, well, what's the human emotion in this? Yeah. Uh, that it might not always be the, the correct answer, but it's almost never like a bad answer. Like it's, there might be in some ways some things you could think of where there's a better idea, but it's almost never a bad idea. Like you'll never go wrong, I think, if you're like, well, let's look at the human emotion right. aspect of this thing. I agree with that. I almost think it'd be an interesting experiment. Think of something that you don't like in pop culture and then try to imagine it going more towards genuine human emotion. Right. And in almost oh. every instance, that that one note, you're like, oh, maybe that would be better. Like, maybe I would like that movie better if it made me feel something about human emotions. I mean, in some ways, that's a very pat sort of approach to things. I was explaining to some people the other night, we were talking about horror movies. And I was saying about how people get annoyed with me because I define... There's a couple of movies that most people would define as thrillers right? that um, I define as horror movies. Uh, like which? Like Jaws. Sure. And Deliverance. Right. And they don't have like a supernatural element, although I would say that the behavior of the shark in Jaws maybe borders toward, like it's, it's right. enough not like how a real shark behaves that it might as well be a monster. Um, but... I came up with a method of describing what qualifies as a horror movie that I then realized immediately, like, is an unfair way of judging it um, because it makes everything a horror movie, which is, I said, someone was saying, like, no, Jaws is more of a suspense thriller. And I was like, well, if it was about a clown in the ocean that was killing people, it would be a horror movie. 
So I was like, just if you replace anything with a clown, uh, that will tell you whether it's a horror movie or not. But then I was also like, well, that also changes like... I don't know if that's true. Like what? So you're saying if you could make it a clown, that would turn into a horror movie? If 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 you if you turn a thriller's main villain into, into a, clown, a clown, it makes it a horror movie, like a killer clown, like a like a like, like, like evil Pen- clown. Pennywise from it. Like, okay, but <clears throat> that doesn't make. Wait, the problem with so the... what you're saying is you're you're arguing that a lot of people consider movies thrillers that you consider horror movies. Yeah. But I I would argue that let's say you took Clueless yeah and replaced like <laughs> the villain the principal or the whoever principal the, with a killer clown yeah that's what I was saying it's unfair it doesn't work because Sleepless in like Seattle like if we replace Bambi's mom with an, with Pennywise Bambi becomes well, a horror movie but that doesn't work because I'm saying you have to replace the antagonist so it'd be the when man comes to the forest clowns have entered the right. forest. Then it's a horror movie. It also makes it so that, like, uh, you've got mail if, if, if right. Tom Hanks was a killer clown. Right. It would be a horror. Like, it doesn't work because it makes every movie into a horror movie. Yeah, exactly. But I will say so that. So that's not a good barometer at all. It's not a good barometer. But I will say that because <laughs> it makes, like, Die Hard. If Alan Rickman was a killer clown, you'd be like, yeah, it's a horror movie. Right. Or, <laughs> or it makes, like. Annie Hall is a horror movie if you replace Diane Keaton with a killer clown. Right. Or if you, like. No, like Annie Hall would be – you don't replace Diane Keaton. You replace like the concept of love with a killer clown. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the concept of, of how do you maintain a relationship. With a, with a killer clown. And yeah, every time he felt that there was a killer clown just around him. Yeah. Um, so it's a bad drama. I wonder if there's movies that are horror movies that if you place it with a killer clown, it would make it not a horror movie. Probably. Like I – yeah, like The Exorcist is less scary if there's killer clowns in it. <laughs> Like, uh, killer clowns matter space. They make it. They make it campy in a way that it isn't. If you replace killer clowns, if you replace Pennywise with a clown from Killer Clowns Matter Space, it just makes it a different. Yeah, just different. I do still maintain that. To me, I think what makes Deliverance and what makes Jaws horror movies to me, as opposed to Die Hard, which I don't think is a horror movie, which is a thriller, is that there's an element of mystery to the menace. That a shark trying to eat your boat is hard to comprehend, in part because that's not the way... Sharks don't try to eat boats. So there is an element of, like, not being able to fathom the threat. And I feel like Deliverance, there's an element of, like, why are these hill people trying to rape Ned Beatty? There's an element of the kind of unknowability of that threat. Sure. That's why those, to me work at the same level as a horror movie. Um, horror, to me, has something to do with the the dread of something that you can't fully comprehend or understand. That's why the, the Exorcist is scary because you can't fully comprehend that evil. The Shining is scary because you can't fully wrap your head around that, that evil, whereas um, Die Hard you might not relate to the villains, but you understand why they're doing it. Uh, you know? Um, yeah. So. Oh, okay. Uh, I'll, I'll talk now since I've been working. I'll take a break from working. You, uh, I posted a photo on Instagram of your bookcase. Right. 
and uh, you're getting all kinds of love for this bookcase. Uh, um, Tammy Sager uh, liked your photo and left a comment that was six pairs of hands applauding. Ah. So, like, people really like... I recently convinced Tammy to buy a book. We were at a bar, and I, I sold the book to her, and she bought it on Amazon immediately. Uh-huh. Which was, like, it, to me, there was something very, like... I was very impressed by that. Yeah. Of someone just buying a book immediately. Yeah. It felt like she had reached this level of success that I would never be able to fathom of just being like, yeah, I'm going to buy this book. Yeah. It's like a $60 book right now. And I was like, I was like, wow. Yeah. Man, she has it together. Man, Tammy's got it figured out. She's like, yeah, I just bought it. And I was like, hey, the whole thing, it was crazy to me. Yeah. Um, okay, here's something I want to talk about. Yeah, let's do it. I, okay, so I've been, I was in L.A. for two and a half months. We, we can talk about that at some point also. Yeah, yeah. Because there's a lot of, I mean, I have a lot of stories to tell from that. Oh, man, do I. Okay. But, um, here, I'm going to do something. <laughs> I'll do something that the uh, uh, listeners won't be able to appreciate. Oh. There you go. Hold on. We should call, this is. This segment of the yeah, podcast, good, right? Yeah, it's great. You did this for me the other day, and I'll right. never not be impressed with this. Right now, JD is doing magic tricks. We're going to call this segment of the podcast JD's Magic Shop. Here, you can hear you can hear the sound of me doing magic. Well, I just dropped it. That I last mean, time. the great thing about podcasts or radio is like there was a point where uh, Edgar Bergen was the most successful ventriloquist in the world, but he was successful on the radio, right? With uh, Charlie McCarthy and Edgar Bergen. Um, I want to find the quote. There's a quote my dad used to talk about, um, about Edgar Bergen. Um, um, Because that is one of the, that is a fascinating thing. Um, uh, Where Edgar Bergen was, not considered the best ventriloquist, but he was by far the most uh, famous, and it was mostly from being on the radio, which is the one medium uh, where you can't tell what he's doing. He might as well have not been a ventriloquist to a certain extent. Right. Um, But there was a point where he got heckled... um, he got heckled where someone like in the audience yelled something like, I think it was Paul Winchell. Paul Winchell doesn't move his lips. And his comeback was like, yeah, but Paul Winchell doesn't have millions in the bank. It was, it was like some like, uh, like real quick comeback right. to, uh, yeah. Yeah. But doing magic, uh, in an audio only, uh, format, um, I'm going to say, I'm going to say you're good at that trick, but when you just did it, uh, I just saw you do it twice where once you did it at an angle because you were doing it for the microphone where I right. saw what was happening and then you did the same oh, time. Oh, did you not know how it was happening before? I mean, I knew how it was happening, but I can't see it happening when you do it. Right. Um, it's actually, I, I actually had to work really hard, practice a lot. To be I would to never be able to do that, I don't think. You want to try it? I'll try. Um, so you were in a magic realm. You were in a world of magicians. Yes. I guess I can just briefly talk about that too. Yeah. Is that basically um, 
So here, you start here. Okay, so here, I'm holding a, a card. No, nope, you hold it exactly how I'm holding it. Three of diamonds. Well, okay, so like this. Yeah. And now move it down like this. Yeah. Okay, so basically make the rock out devil symbol. Okay, yeah. start like this. Get the card out of your hands. All right. Make the rock out devil symbol. No, nope, yeah. make exactly like this. Yep. Okay. <laughs> this hurts my hand to even try doing really? this. Now yeah. put the card there in the horns. Yeah. Okay. Now. I will never be able to do this trick. Okay, now slowly open up your fingers, and then you're, ho- you're going to hold the card with your pinky and I don't your think my fingers are long enough to do that. You are. Uh, see, it just you only need to hold it at the tips here. Okay. See, you're doing it, right? But you can see a little of it when I do That's that. okay. You can see a little when I'm doing it. It's just about move, moving your hand a little bit. Okay? Yeah. And now to get it back. There. Yeah, and right. then, so watch. This is the motion this way. So now practice doing this. Well, just, just, try, just try this once. Okay. <laughs> Hold it like this. Right? That. Nope. So the two fingers go down. Did it. Now use those two fingers to grab onto the card. Yeah, but move it. You had the card much higher up. But you're doing it. You're doing it. I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to try it again. I don't like the way it feels. And then you've got to get really... This is... Someone tried to teach me how to play the mandolin when I was in high school, and I really liked the idea of being able to play the guitar. I was going to try to learn the mandolin first, and then... Uh, learn the guitar right and i was practicing the mandolin and i was like this hurts my fingers and my friend said oh it won't always hurt uh because you'll develop calluses on your fingers right i was like what i don't want that and they're like your fingers will get all callous and they showed me how the fingers are callous i'm like i don't want that that's basically like having toes on your hands like (laughs) uh i was like i don't want to ruin my hands it's not worth it. So I gave up immediately. I also got the sense I wasn't going to be good at it, just in terms of dexterity. But this is the kind of thing where you start, and the first couple times you do it are really frustrating. Yeah. And then it gets really easy. Yeah. I don't like the way it makes my fingers feel. Yeah. But so here's the thing. is that And I, I don't like the way it makes my brain feel just now. And so, okay, that's the thing. Is I can do it with my right hand. Yeah. But everyone at this show was making in fun both. of me because I, can't, I physically cannot do it with my left hand yeah. because there's something about my left hand pinky yeah. yeah that the tendon is messed up so watch if i go like this yeah I get this far yeah but then now if i try to bring uh, oops one sec and honestly it really frustrates me when i do this so if i that's do how it, i felt if i do it, it it makes my head mad yeah so if i try to bring my pinky back it just shoots back here watch yeah it does that yeah i can't look look if i go like this and try to open my pinky up yeah. It just it just does this. I can do some things with my hands. See, look, see that? Yeah. It's on its own so track. So I physically cannot do it's it. It's on its own track. And as much as I've, tr- I've tried to like do like little workout things to try to do it, but I get to this point and I just fucking... There's also a big difference between... Anyways, there's also a big difference... I was teaching Connor what's called a back palm. If you want to look up back palming, you can see what I was trying to teach him. Is it interesting... Now, 
there used to be a code about magician. A magician never reveals his. It's his, yes, that code still exists. It still exists, but we're also in the internet age, which means that all information is widely available. Right, like I can say the word back palm, and you can look it up, and yeah. there'll be ten videos of people teaching you how to back palm. I feel like there was a time pre-internet where what you just said would have been like a, a, a massive violation. Exactly. Well, that's what I, I also really. I also really like. Um, I also feel like Penn and Teller in a punk rock way. How. Maybe you were interacting with Penn and Teller. I don't know. Uh, do regular magicians feel differently about Penn and Teller? Or are they viewed as like renegades? No, they're viewed as great magicians. Yeah, they are great. Um, I was just watching their show, uh, Fool Us. Yeah. Which I really enjoy, which I didn't realize was like years Have old. you watch Wizard Wars? I don't like that show as much. No. My, uh, two of my friends work on it now. Well, One of my friends won it. Well, the pro- okay, what was funny about Wizard Wars? Okay, let me give some context to this first. Yeah. So, I guess we'll talk about this before I talk about the thing I wanted to talk about. Um, three months ago, I got a call that was, hey, we want you to direct this TV pilot. We need It needs to happen in the next four weeks. It was a Thursday. Here's plane tickets for Sunday. You're going to be here Monday. Mm-hmm. Get on the plane. So I threw stuff into a bag, left dishes in my sink, um, jumped on a plane, got to L.A., uh-huh. did this job. It was crazy. It was fun, super quick. It was with Funny or Die and Telepictures. Mm-hmm. I can't talk too much about that project, but it was crazy. Not high stress, but it was a lot to get done very quickly. And it yeah. was a really fun group of people. We got it all done. Yeah. Um, the week that I'm supposed to come home from that, I get a call from my agent that's like, can you meet with this guy? Um, you're up for another show. So for this other show, yeah. And what eventually happened is I ended up just getting hired as a writer for a magic show, a show called Sleight of Mouth with Justin Willman, which was a magic, a Comedy Central pilot for a magic show. Yeah. So I had to write for that for, I believe, seven weeks total. Um, so then suddenly my... Three weeks in L.A. turned into like 10, 11, 12 weeks. Yeah. Because um, that ended up being the other project was like four weeks or something like that, mm-hmm. which was like two and a half months. And the pilot for Comedy Central was a magician, Justin Willman, who's a super talented magician, super yeah. great. Um, and he was putting on this show that was like a variety show that he hosts. And I was part of the, the comedy team, and then there was a magic team. Mm-hmm. And it was so much fun, and I got sort of like pulled into the depths of the magic world. Like there's this thing in Los Angeles called the Magic Castle, which is a magicians-only club, uh-huh. where there's like four stages and restaurant and bars like that, and the idea is that magicians go and perform there. And you can go there if you're a lay person but you have to be invited by a magician nice. so it's a sort of this LA thing where it's like people always try to like find an opportunity to go etc cetera, etc cetera. and it's like a special thing that most people only do like once or so yeah but because I was part of this group of people we went like three or four times and it was like a really fun strange place and then I got to go to an even secreter thing mm-hmm. which is the owners of the magic castle own a mansion where they've been putting on these shows since the 1920s. Wow. And, oh, you'll love this part of it. 
it's like this like black tie type event mm-hmm. where it's like all celebrities and like famous performers and it's old like vaudeville stage type acts some of them are actual like old acts like that and yeah. the particular night that I went that month it was the birthday of the woman who's she's the widow of the person who founded the magic castle yeah and so it was like a crazy packed with all these people it's kind of place where it's like Justin Timberlake will go to these shows Mm -hmm. is is what I've told and like different like celebrities like that you'll just go there and it'll be full of them yeah Um, and it's these it's not one mansion but it's two mansions back to back on opposite sides of a block so that the backyards are connected making this giant like garden pathway thing Mm mm-hmm and um, they have this old theater that they've had since I, I got to say like the twenties or something like that, and it's beautiful. It feels like it's like World War One era, like mo- like theater. It's amazing. Yeah. And uh, like there's a couch in the back of it, which is Orson Welles' couch because he would go to these shows. Yeah, he would go every every month, and he'd get wasted, and so he bought a couch that he could like pass out in the back on. Mm-hmm. So it's just like just couch that Orson Welles was like, this is the couch I'm gonna pass out on every show. It was like a story where like he was gonna go on. Um, I think it was Carson. Yeah, Does that makes sense. Would that yeah. timeline make it? Yeah, yeah. He's gonna go on Carson. He wanted to do a, show a new magic trick, and this was the house. Uh, the family that owned it was also they produced magic tricks and stuff like that. Yeah, and so he was like, "I need a new trick." So he went to the house, but no one was home. So he just broke through the window, broke in, found something, and took it onto the show. And then a week later, came back. And like fixed the window and then fell asleep and they walked in and he was just like asleep on his couch having fixed this window. <laughs> so it's like a place like that where you walk has around. has like a like, rich history. Yeah, it's like a place where you walk around. It's like every corner is like this insane thing. Yeah. And like when we were there, like Paul Rubens was there and Willie Ty- Like I was sitting between Kate Flannery from The Office and like Willie Tyler, who's mm-hmm. one of the most famous ventriloquists. Willie, Willie Tyler and Lester. Um, and the show was bizarre. And, like, even being there was bizarre because it was me and my friend Oren, who are two of the writers, we were there as guests of, and our friend Blake, my friend Blake, we were there on, as guests of our friend Chris, who was performing because um, he was, like, he's a big part of that world. Yeah. It's like there's this guy, like, Jonathan Pendragon, who's this sort of, like, magician you probably saw in, like, the 90s on TV. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was a magician slash stuntman. And now he's, like, you know, a little bit older. Yeah, but he's still just like sort of a goofy, you know, I don't know, once like early sixties. Yeah, and so like we're sitting there, and there's like all these like stone walls. Like this is just the type of place it is. Is that like mm-hmm. suddenly perched atop the wall like a gargoyle in like a three point stance in this black overcoat is Jonathan Pendragon, and someone, everyone turns and someone goes, Pendragon's arrived. We look up and he's perched atop this thing, and he goes good evening and then hops down like Batman and then like walks to the bar and then like this uh, big Vegas magician who I'll, I will not say his name um, I know who it is no you don't oh. I bet you don't or maybe he approached me with his friend I'm not going to give any details about him so give it away Okay. and propositioned me to return to him to Vegas that night spend the weekend having sex with him Mm-hmm. And when I turned down his advances, they only became more aggressive um, to the point that it was like, it felt like I was in a comedy sketch. It was insane. And like when we went, when the show sat started, like I sat down and this person 
purposely chose a seat in my row so that when he crossed in front of me, he straddled me and like got down like in my face. Yeah, I don't know who this. And then throughout the show, he would try to reach across and touch me. Oh, you would have been his greatest trick. And I'd asked, <laughs> I had asked Kate Flannery to help run interference. So I shut the show. She would like hit his hand and tell him to stop. Uh-huh. It was like insane. The whole show was just bizarre. It felt like I'd entered this insane universe, oh. and I had. Um, Part of me wishes that you had gone to Vegas with him. Uh, well, that, that's sort of like I was saying that. I was like, it's like, how far could I have gone without having to have had sex with him? Like, how, how far along could I have gotten without it ending poorly for myself? Yeah. Given how aggressive he sounds, it feels like if you'd gone to Vegas, he would have regarded that as consent. Oh, exactly. Exactly. Um, and he was already aggressive and I was a stranger. The funny thing was that he kept making fun of my friend who was with me, Oren, and calling him a couch potato and saying that no one wanted to flirt with him because he looked like a couch potato and that he was flirting with me and another guy was flirting with our other friend, but no one was flirting with him because he was a couch potato. Oh. It was like a very bizarre. Anyways, the whole show was rude because also the magic world, the variety world and the sideshow world are all connected together. So it was like yeah. jugglers and whatnot. And like, in the show, our offices, like, every day, like, our friend Brett Laddermilk would come by, um, who was a friend of the host and people on the show, and now I consider a friend of mine. He was the, he's, like, he's, like, the best sword swallower that exists, and he's crazy, and does yeah. awesome sword swallowing routine. And then uh, Scott Flansburg, the human calculator, would come through, and he'd calculate numbers for us. And if we needed help with any numbers, he could give us a hand. Like, it was just, like, this fun sort of, like, rogues gallery of, like, yeah. people with these bizarre, unique skills. Um, so it was really, really, really fun. Um, you also appreciate, I got to meet Elvira. Oh, cool. Uh, cause Brett was performing at, that was another funny instance of this thing was Brett, the sword swallower. It was around Halloween time. It was just like three weeks ago, I guess. Yeah. He was performing in Elvira's big top, which was, a a show at not scary farm, which is the horror version of Knott's Berry Farm that they uh-huh. do around Halloween time. Yeah. Which it was always a weird name to me, Not Scary Farm. It's like, it's Knott's Berry Farm, like K-N-O-T-T. So it's K-O-N-O-T-T-S, Scary Farm. But it sounds like you're saying it's not scary. Yeah. Anyways, within that, Elvira I thought had that was a, deliberate. No, I don't think so. Because the whole thing is like they have performers and fog and it's at night and people jump out at you and everything's a haunted yeah. house. I was trying to think that how they would justify it as it being not scary farm that it's like like they were just using reverse psychology on you like come on in it's not scary. Yeah, that uh, might be it. I don't but that's a hard one. It was bizarre. But anyways, Elvira had a show and Brett was one of the it was two acts. There was like a bunch of dancers, Elvira singing and then Brett does sword swallowing and then um his friend in front of some of the other people in the show uh, this girl Bonnie Morgan Mm-hmm. She's a contortionist. Yeah. So we went and we got to see the show, and then afterwards got to hang out with Elvira for a little bit, which was like really fun. But it was like a sort of surreal. So yeah. You, know, you grew up watching Elvira, and she was like this like weird sex symbol from your childhood, and then like meeting her in person. And I will say she's still very attractive, uh-huh. despite the fact that she's like sixty three or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, not despite the fact. I guess it doesn't have to be despite the fact. But you know what I mean, like. You wouldn't expect her to be still as attractive as she was when no, she was certainly like not an ageist, 30. not an ageist like you, right? I guess not. Um, 
But so then the funny thing was, because they're performers, uh, Brett and Bonnie in the show, yeah, they could get us the front of any of the lines because they're like they're like, oh, we have a couple hours before our next show. Let's all go to the haunted houses. So we'd get to go to the front of the line. So there's this one haunted house that they had mm-hmm. that was called Trapped. Trapped? Yes. And normally it's $60 extra to do this haunted house than admission to the park. Yeah. So it's this like special thing. And the idea is that you get put in these rooms and there's like performers in the rooms and like there's like you have to find ways to get out and there's keys and all this stuff. And the idea is this whole experience. So they let us go in and go through and do Trapped. Mm-hmm. Now, normally, the groups are like four or five people, and we had like eight people. Yeah. And then on top of that, it was a bunch of comedians, a sword swallower, and a contortionist. Yeah. And so very quickly, we sort of destroyed the fiber of what the whole thing was supposed to be. Yeah. Because they have a performer that is just another person that has to join your group for numbers, <clears throat> but like clearly they're a, a performer that's put there to like have stuff happen to them. <clears throat> yeah. But, like, we very clearly knew that that's what it was. So it would be funny because there was, like, situations where it's, like, whatever room you were in, you'd get out. All of a sudden, as you were leaving, she would get trapped in something. Be like, no! And instead of, like, being scared or, like, fearful, we'd all just start yelling at her because it was, like, like, why, you're, why'd you get back into the cage? Like, what are you, like, just, like, yeah. giving her guff. Yeah. There was a funny moment where it was, like, we were stuck in this one room where there's like, you're in these cages and some of the group has to go above and some has to like crawl below yeah. and like give to get keys for each other. But because one of our members was a contortionist, she just like got through the bars Yeah, <laughs> and it was like, Oh no, I'm through. And it was like very clearly ended the thing. Or there was like a moment where it was like, where it was supposed to be trapped. It was supposed, supposed to be a trap, trapped. but like we would just get through it. There's a moment there's like this evil clown. And he's like, my partner seems to have lost his head. And like before he could finish the thing, um, before he could finish his whole like speech, we were like, "Oh, it's in there!" and like unlocked the cabinet that clearly had it in, like, <laughs> like tossing the head around. He like sort of had to go through the script, like, "You won't find my head anywhere." It's so like, "Oh, here it is. Here, do you want to hold it?" Like passing it around. Um, like there's a, a guy who was like this like deliverance type guy, and he's like, "One of you needs to be cleansed," and like you had to like, drink his quote unquote piss, and like. We were just like, oh, yeah, let's all take a drink. And it was like sort of like we kept taking the air out of everything just because we were like. Oh, you guys were a nightmare. Yeah, we were just like sort of like. Like there was a funny moment where you're trapped in this like well sort of like um, um, Science of the Lambs style. Yeah. There's like a guy above and he like has a bucket with a string on it. Mm-hmm. And he's like, the only way I'll let you leave is if you give me your keys. Now put them in the bucket for me, those jangly things. And immediately we were like, no, don't give him the keys. He's just going to take them. He's going to take our keys, and we need those for later. And then, so then our friend had the keys. was like, no, we're not going to take them. And, like, the ca- the guy had to, like, break character, and he was like, in order to move forward in the game, you have to give me the keys. <laughs> and we were like, okay. So we put the keys in the bucket, and then he's immediately like, ah, now you've given me your keys, you fools, and da-da-da. And we are like, hey, that's not fair. Like, <laughs> like, we chose not to give you the keys. Um, and so there's like a bunch of moments like that and the moment that was so funny was at the end this girl who kept getting trapped performer like basically like you end up getting to this area and then finally you meet Satan and Satan's supposed to present you with this like sort of like 
tough situation where it's like you can choose whether or not to like die yourselves or to like kill this girl that's been with you. Uh-huh. Um, and so it's like she's there and we immediately walk in this room and it's the girls up on this like lynching stand and yeah. Satan is there and there's a lever and immediately this girl's there and she's like help and we're like oh my god you idiot you should just stay at home today like every time we try to do something you're getting caught you know what it's good it's good that Satan caught you and we started just like going at her and everyone's making jokes and we're like we're like you want this like, like you, you don't want to be you could have walked out with us but you want this you know what let you and she, she like sort of had to break her and be like you guys are assholes she was like <laughs> you guys are jerks we're about to be killed here and then the, Satan gives this whole speech that's like you have a choice you can choose to take your own lives or this lever will. And before he could finish, my friend just kicked the lever and killed the girl. It was like, yeah, you deserved it. And Satan was like, wow, that was, that was cold. I'm going to send you guys to the death thing just because, like, so basically, like, usually it's like you either live or you choose to die. And so instead, Satan just sent us the thing to die because it was like, you chose to kill that person also, but, like, yeah, you guys just need to... But it was so funny just seeing like a bunch of people who have been, you know, none of this stuff is going to scare them. And then like magicians, contortionists, all these people that like could sort of easily subvert all yeah. of the games that were supposed to be challenging was a very funny yeah. experience. That's funny. Anyways, this is all the long story. So I was in L.A. for this two and a half months and it was um, fun because I was working on these great jobs, but I was also like staying on friends' couches or I got an Airbnb and LA can be a very lonely place because it's like, it's not like you can walk around and go meet up with people. It's sort of like you contact your friends to meet up with them or you never hear from them. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So then my comfort the entire time was reality television. And for whatever reason, I find reality television fascinating and it's like a very comfortable, easy thing to watch. Yeah, I mean, I don't watch very much of it and the reason for that is not... It's not that I have a problem with reality television. It's actually because I find most... Re- I mean, there's, I'm going to make my lunch as you talk. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously, like with anything, there's a lot of garbage reality television that I wouldn't get hooked on, but it's very easy to get hooked on reality television. Um, the few shows that I do watch, I think I watch two reality television shows... And you just get sucked in very, very easily. And it wouldn't, it wouldn't take much but to eat up all your time, you know? Like, the people who get hooked on any of the Real Housewives shows, they're then hooked on, hooked on a dozen different shows, you know? Right, and I don't really like the shows that are... I like the high-concept, bizarre ones where it's like, let's see if they can pull off this weird show. Yeah. And I like seeing these things where... I don't know. So anyways, I found these two shows. Well, I found a bunch of shows that I got hooked on. One of them was Fox's Utopia. Which just got canceled. Right. And Utopia is such a bizarre show. Um, What's the premise? Explain it to me. Okay. So the premise of Utopia is that basically, uh, wait, let me make lunch first and then I'll get into Utopia because I'm going to have to launch into a whole thing about Utopia. Can you guess... Which two reality shows I watch? Yes, you have watched Project Greenlight. 
Oh yeah, I did used to watch that, but that right. that's coming back. But okay, but that two, was like pre-reality. That yeah. was more documentary than reality. Uh, I was. A well, bit, I mean, it was reality. It was but, reality, a little bit of game show, a little bit of documentary. But back then, they can they didn't reality. Yeah. There was no concept of reality. There well, no. I mean, Survivor existed. Right. I know you watch Survivor. Yeah. Because I know that's something that for whatever reason you are obsessed with. And yeah. then the second one, I'm trying to think of. Two words. Two words, reality show, real world? No. Uh, I mean, I dipped in and out of real world back in the puck days. Right. Uh, is this a current one? Current one. Current one that you still watch? Yeah. Uh, and it's not one that you would necessarily think I would watch. Project Runway? Yeah. Yeah. What, what makes you... Wait, I'd watch Project Runway. You watch Project Runway? Uh, I just watched season twelve while I was in L.A. I don't know what that was. The one that are. fucking had all the drama, bro. Wait, was that the one that just ended? I don't I think I there's a know. more recent one that just ended. I, this is the one what where what happens in it? Um, People are always amused when they find out I watch Project Runway. I just got this was into the it. one with the little tiny like Serbian guy who threw a fit and got Sandro. Sandro, I fucking love Sandro. Uh, and then this is the she same. was a gypsy. She was a bruja, a witch. <laughs> it was it was insane because uh, also there's something basically oh god I have so much to say about I this I was convinced I have this theory and I think it holds up um I was convinced that Sandro was a character that Zach Posen was trying out uh because Sandro would always talk about oh, Zach Posen he doesn't like me yeah Zach Posen he, he just pick 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 he always give me bad notes and I'm like, I think that's Zach Posen doing a Borat. Like, we never see them in the same shot. I think Zach Posen has convinced uh, uh, Project Runway to let him do a, a Sasha Baron Cohen-style character on the show. Because Sandro was so ridiculous. Uh, sometimes he was a, a monster. But there were other times that he was just, like, trying to be re- Like, he was just being himself, being real. There were times when he would say things in ways that were just more frank or clear than other people were talking about. Like, he had his good moments, but then there was also the funniest moment when somebody predicted something in front of him and it came true, and he was like, she is a bruja, she is a witch. She predicted the future. <laughs> yeah, and he would get his feelings hurt so easily. Oh, I wish they'd bring Sandra back. I know they never will because he sort of assaulted a cameraman at the end and right. stormed off. So the whole that whole season was the most insane thing. Because basically what's happened was it used to be uh, – what network was on before? It, it used was, to be on Bravo. It used to be on Bravo. Now and it's now on Lifetime. it's on Lifetime. And I think the Lifetime EPs were like, we need to make this more fun. So they've added a bunch of elements to the show that are unnecessary and bizarre. Like what? So, for example, like now Tim Gunn is part of the runway show, and he's I got he's that. got the Tim Gunn save. But then also the challenges. Number one, are either insane, like like almost like double dare style challenges. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. Or like, make a make an outfit out of old hamburger ingredients. Right. Right. Or it's or it's. Oh, our our friends here at uh, Nabisco want you to make a Ritz Those cracker are the worst. dress. Those and you're are the just worst. Like, the way they and are the, terrible at incorporating the sponsor into. They were like, "We're here with the new HP monitor, which is." The, and, and, and then the challenge would be, make a dress that is not using paper, or like, or make a dress that uh, 
is fit for a runway. <clears throat> but also, if you wanted to be inspired by the car, that could be nice. And it's always like, I'll tell you don't the thing, even try to. I'll tell you the things I hate. There, there was one yeah. challenge in that season where literally to get their fabric, they had to go through an obstacle course. Yep. That is not what Project Runway used to be. <laughs> it's, nuts. Project Run- it's nuts. Like, like Christian, it's a great show. Christian Siriano from like season one wouldn't have run through an obstacle course. No, no. Um, <laughs> like now it's – I feel like it's sort of like the bottom of the barrel. They had one where they, they had like old storage units that they were like bidding on the, the things that were in it. They had to make their clothes out of them. Uh I think the show is delightful. I I also I'll say this because I'm gonna I'm gonna and I'll preface this by saying I don't think I'm I mean I probably will contradict myself at some point about people being negative or positive about things that I think reality shows are built in a way that that uh, you can talk about the things you like and don't like about them and it's it doesn't have to be the same as people saying SNL sucks or whatever like that. It's more constructive. Survivor. I'll say this about Survivor first. I have one major issue with Survivor major issue with it, which is that Survivor occasionally does challenges that offend me to my core. They And this may sound weird as someone who's been involved with The Chris Gethard Show, a show that has occasionally gotten for real violent. Uh, anytime they do a challenge on Survivor where the contestants are just being physically rough with each other, it makes me furious because they have a million and one creative challenges that don't involve two contestants just standing on like a platform in the ocean trying to knock the other one off. There's no safeguards. There's no training. It's just two hungry people fighting and Jeff Probst is yelling out like, whoa, it's getting rough out here. Um, And then whenever someone gets hurt, Everybody feigns surprise. You have Jeff Probst being like, oh, like, how could this have happened? And I remember there was one challenge on Survivor. This is one that probably still to this day makes me the angriest. There was a challenge where they had these, like, wooden posts, like a, just like a, a thick post dug into the ground deep on the beach. Right. And the challenge was that one person would hold on to this post and another person would have to try and drag them oh, across I rem- the beach. I remember this, yeah. And it couldn't be less safe. There couldn't be li- Like, it literally is just like the same type of challenge you would have if you were just two animals in the wild fighting to the death. Um, and, Can I say, yeah. I actually like those challenges. Not, not the ones that are just fighting, but I like the ones that aren't like... Uh, what are the dumb ones? I hate the ones where it's like fucking put things through rings and I don't know, like get balls into puzzle barrels. memory challenges, memory, things like that. Those are just so played out to me. There's always new ways to make those interesting, though. They just need to be more creative. The problem is this: anytime there's a challenge where there's even the possibility that at one point Jeff Probst could yell out "No choking," they've they have betrayed the trust of those people. Like, what I don't like about it is I don't like the power dynamic of you're putting people in a position where they're vulnerable and hungry and they feel like they don't have a choice. Like, once you've been on an island for a month, I don't think that, and you've got cameras following you, I don't think that you 
feel like you can say no to things. And I think you find yourself in situations where you're getting physically hurt. And I think that's a betrayal of the television show and the network. I think this is actually just because you, as someone who watches Survivor, yeah, the thought always crosses your head of, I want to be on this show. No, I don't what want to be on Survivor. What would I do? And it bothers you because you would not like to do those physical challenges. No, and actually, if I was on Survivor, which I never would be, if I was on Survivor and we got to those challenges, I would take that moment to say, can I just say that I think that this is wrong that we're having to do this challenge? I don't think we should have to be physically fighting each other. There's enough challenge to this show, and I think that this is shitty. I think that this is lowest common denominator garbage. Um, this might as well just be like, let's get some homeless people and have them fight in an alley for money. Uh, there's no difference between... Because at one point, literally, uh, the one where they were holding onto the stakes, you have more than one person trying to pull someone across right. the beach. And at one point, it was just the sight of like, Three white people dragging a black man across the beach. And I was like, this isn't entertaining to me. This looks like a hate crime. And uh, <laughs> the, there's a million and one different fun challenges that are still hard and interesting. Um, right. That balance challenges, endurance say, challenges. You, you love the stand on the poles. I love those because those are... Those are always surprising. You're like, oh, I can't believe that. Sometimes they'll be like, hey, that old lady beat all these other people because she just had the discipline to hold on to a thing forever. And those are physically right. rough and difficult. But they're not as physically rough and difficult as have a man twice your size try to drag you across a beach against your will. Um, <laughs> to me, there was one challenge where there was a contestant who looked like a Viking. And he got paired with a guy who looked like, what if Andy Dick was dying of a wasting disease? Right. Uh, and they got paired up where they were tied together and they had to go through this um, like weird rope and wood obstacle course. They had to go through these things, but they're tied together, so they have to do it together. And the Viking, who was a total monster of an asshole, right. he got so frustrated with how bad... I mean, the Andy Dick guy was not good at the game and he was not strong and he was, didn't have a, he was slowing him down. And at one point... The guy, they were chained together, basically. The Viking got so angry that he just was like, fuck it. I don't care what happens to this guy who's chaining me. I'm just going to go through this wooden and rope obstacle course as fast as I can. And if he bangs into every post along the way, I don't care. So I was literally watching this other guy being like, oh, God, oh. And he was like, clunk, clunk, clunk. He was just beating. It was just be like, imagine if a giant man you were right. tied to decided to run through a wooden obstacle course and didn't care how many times your head smashed into a wooden post along the way. Right. And I was like, this challenge should end with him in prison. Like, this challenge should end with, you won the challenge, you have immunity, however, we have three police officers who are here to take you to prison for assault and battery. Uh, or for, at the bare minimum, like, some sort of, like, negligent, uh, right. willful disregard. I don't know. So anyway, those are the things I don't like that. On Project Runway... I know. Now we can loop back to Project Runway. Project Runway, I'll tell you what I don't like. Uh, and, and these are mostly just things because I like almost everything about these shows. Right. So the things that go wrong stand out. And they're also things that could be fixed so easily. I don't mind the gimmicky aspects of Project Runway. Sometimes they're fun. It does bother me when there's... And this happens a lot, where there's like a teams challenge. And the wrong person gets, like, voted off because the judges don't know, like, crucial information about what happened. Um, 
I sometimes think sure. that unfair things happen to people on the show where they get voted off by three judges who don't know that the person they're voting off wasn't responsible for what was bad about the outfits or was actively trying to make it better. Right. Or, like, there was in this past season, there was one where two guys who were both great, they both ended up in the final two, but they did a team's challenge where one of the guys did his whole look and did half of the other guy's look, and the other right. guy won. Right. And I'm like, this guy did 150%, the other guy did 50%, and the 50% guy won because the judges didn't know. And there's stuff like that that sometimes irritates me. I will say one of the best gimmicks uh, that is on the, the season you haven't seen yet or the most recent season, right? Um, which I like both for the wordplay aspect of it and the fact that it was super fun, was they did one called, I thought it was going to be dumb, uh, Project Rainway, which was that the runway was transformed it, it, with a rain right. machine, and the outfits had to be designed to incorporate the rain. So like one guy did this awesome dress that was made to look like, like the way an umbrella looks when it's kind of folded up. The dress looked like that. Another guy took a huge risk. The guy eventually won. He took a huge risk. He made a, a kind of boring white dress, but he sewed in these uh, dye packets that when the water would hit them, it would turn the dress into, the, the color would spread on the dress. And there was no guarantee that this would work because it wasn't like they could test it. They were having right. to do this in a day. And it could have been a total disaster, but it ended up being the thing that, like, the judges were just, like, floored with how great it was. Um, I'm a big Zach Posen fan. And I'll say something that involves a, a slight criticism as well. I was never... I didn't watch the early seasons of Roma. I kind of came late to it. So I haven't seen those early years. I've only watched it in the last, like, four or five years, I think. Um... So I saw the tail end of the Michael Coors era. <clears throat> I never liked Michael Coors. I always felt like he was mean. I always felt like he was not as funny as he thought he was, and he got lots of big laughs from the other uh, uh, judges, right. like Nina and whoever the guest judge was and Heidi. And he would say, like, I felt like all of his jokes were at the level of, like, honey, I... Honey, all I'm seeing is crotch. It's like the crotch police have come to town and you're about to go to crotch prison. Like, all of the jokes felt like they were crotch-related right. or easy jokes and kind of mean in a way that I didn't like that power dynamic of people are putting themselves... Right. People have already worked under money and time constraints that, are un that they normally wouldn't be working under certain kinds of time constraints. So sometimes, like, someone who's maybe a slightly slower construction person is now having to do stuff in a day with limited resources and then to have to be made fun of by a bully who's already successful and who never has to make things in a day um always right i never liked that i thought like these people are not tv personnel i mean some of them don't want to be tv personalities they want to be fashion designers they don't deserve your shitty jokes and it bothered me. I actually like Michael Kors now when he comes back as a guest judge because I think it's like small doses. Zach Posen, when he came onto the show, was a breath of fresh air because when Zach Posen is talking about... Um, when he's talking about what he likes or even what he doesn't like about someone's design, he just does it with such a... Such a sense of, he gives off such a sense of integrity. Like, 
I don't know a lot about fashion, so it's kind of fascinating to me to be watching people who are experts. Because I, I buy all my... I feel the same way. I wear the same cargo pants all the time. I buy the cheapest clothes I can get at Old Navy. I'm, I don't know anything about fashion. I, I do feel like maybe I'm entering a phase of my life where I need to start dressing better than I do. Um, somehow? Maybe not. Um, but I respect the way Zach Posen talks to these contestants. And when he gives a compliment, like, I feel how much that compliment means. Uh, it's almost like, uh, it, it, to me, it relates to, like, the way I relate to it is, like, there's certain um, people that I've had as, like, improv teachers that, like, like or, like, 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 just to mention, like, Gethard. When Gethard gives you, like, a compliment on a comedy thing in a real technical sort of way, you're like, oh, that's great, because, like, he knows what he's talking about. Right. Um, and the way Zach Posen will talk about, like, I, like he'll say it, he'll acknowledge, like, how difficult something someone achieved was. Like, I know that's hard to do. That's not right. easy to do that. And, and also, I feel like initially when he came on the show, the way he would give a constructive negative criticism always felt like a great teacher. The way a great teacher doesn't make you feel bad about it, but they do, like, make you know what you did wrong. Right. And this past season, Zach Posen's got a little bit jokier and has, has started making, like, occasionally more, like, sort of jokey comments. And it kind of disturbed me because I felt like that was, like, a Michael Kors thing. And I feel like it kind of went against his natural... What, what I feel is so refreshing about him. And he still does all the things I like. Right. But every now and then he throws in, like, some zingers now that to me I don't like the joking when the joke is to someone who might be voted out today because we don't like your outfit. Right. So when when someone comes up and they know they've made a bad outfit or even worse sometimes they think they've made a great outfit and they learn on the runway in front of everyone that it's right. not a great outfit. I feel like at that moment the power dynamic is so much like there's that thing about in comedy you want to kick up towards the powerful, not kicked right. down towards people. I feel like when you're on the losing end on runway and you're getting jokes made at you, and they're also, to be honest, not, like, in the case of, like, when Michael Kors would make jokes, I'd be like, it feels shitty because also I don't like, I don't think Michael Kors is funny, so I feel like those jokes are not, not good. Like, if you put Michael Kors onto a project comedy show up against comedians and people started, like, tearing apart his little sarcastic jibes, then he would get an idea of how the contestants feel when he makes jokes about their outfits. Uh, maybe. If you put him, but like the the yeah, ostensibly these people are want to be or consider themselves professional designers. I don't think Zach Posen considers himself a professional comedian. No, that's right. No, I'm saying I'm not saying for Posen as much as for Michael Kors, who spends all his time Kors, yeah. getting laughs from these other judges. Right. That it's kind of like it feels worse when I know like it's not even a great joke. Right. Um, okay, but, so... Yeah. Um, here's a thought that I have watching, because now it's like 13 seasons of yeah. Project Runway. Yeah. And each season, there's what? 16 people? Yeah, it starts out something like that. Are we nearing the bottom of the barrel of, like, people who are undiscovered, brilliant talents? Not necessarily, because sometimes they're, like, super young on the show. Sometimes it'll be, like, a 20-year-old. I think it's, like, skewing to people that are just out of school. Or people who are 
I feel like more now it's people who are like, I've been doing, I've just started doing this. I'm three years in, as opposed to people in the early seasons who it was like, well, yeah, I'm I making mean, my way and da da da. It's like I don't know. I feel like it's not everyone, but like now more than it ever has been, it feels like there's one or two. There people might be each, one or two people at, you each think season where you're like. You're they like, wouldn't have made it on in season one. Right. And you're like, you don't know what you're doing. Like, because in season one, you were sort of like, or like the first couple of seasons, you were like, any of these people could have made it to the finale. Yeah. And now it's like, well, this person doesn't know how to sew. They don't know how to sew. Yeah. So that makes it difficult. Yeah. Um, but anyways, I, it's just been funny seeing the subtle changes that Lifetime has brought to it. Yeah. And how the challenges have gotten goofier and more wackadoo. I never like it whenever um I don't like it when they, the celebrity judges when it's like someone from a TV show. I will say Elizabeth Moss from Mad Men always seems to I don't know if she's been on multiple times or if it just feels that way, but sometimes they'll be, bring on an actor and I'll be I always think I thought Elizabeth Moss from Mad Men and Top of the Lake like she carried herself like very well on the show that I was like right. impressed. But a lot of the times they'll have like an actor on the show and I'll be like, they'll be weighing in and I'll be like, stop. I want to hear Zach Pose. I'd rather hear Zach Posen talk for an extra 30 seconds and hear what he thinks right. or Nina or Heidi rather than hear that someone from the Big Bang Theory likes this dress. Exactly. Um, I also don't like it when things I like from pop culture – like when they're like, make a dress for Marge Simpson or make a dress for Miss Piggy or something like that. Then I'm like, ah, I don't like this gimmick. Like I don't like other pop culture things yeah. that I like coming into this world because it feels like such a... I, and see, I like the two things I like are either the challenges where they're like, make anything yeah, with anything or make something great with fucking bottle caps. Yeah. I don't like the middle ground stuff. Yeah. Where it's like you have $40 and like 10 minutes at mood fabric to fucking figure it. And it's like, well, no one's going to make anything that interesting then. Like it's all going to be – or it's like – I also – Make something that reflects the Big Bang Theory. It's like never going to be – like <laughs> it's never going to be like, wow. I really don't like it when – and this is just <laughs> – I really don't like it whenever they – get too hung up on the narrative of their outfits and they try to tell their story it always makes me uncomfortable so in season 12 that one guy who's like I'm sure he made you super uncomfortable that tried to get the the, the message he, about bullying he, or the no the guy who wouldn't give the model makeup and made her walk barefoot oh yeah yeah and then all of his things were like stories yeah I don't like it I hate like the guy in this last one who won he had a story Spoiler. about like he had a story about Caesar and I was just like, I don't care about this. Like, it, it was like hearing actors' secrets. Uh, it was just like, or hearing someone describe their dreams. I don't like, and I don't like it when, well, I've grown to like Nina, despite not liking her at first. Did you hide these here for me? No, I just left them here for you. Um, you. I didn't care if you noticed them today or a day from now. Um um, those are uh, gummy worms, organic gummy worms. Uh, are we gummy just trying? Bears, we, uh, I, thought you, I thought you might I be trying. I thought you might be trying to gaslight the audience. Yeah. Um, just like 
a tiny detail that we would just lie about we, for no reason. One lie. Yeah, JD just looked at me with such shock. Like, wait, what are you doing? What are you doing? Well, because it's clearly a bag of gummy bears. Yeah. And he so confidently said gummy worms, which is like <laughs> such a slight departure from reality in a way that I was like, am I missing a thing here? There's no such thing as organic gummy worms. Um, the, um, I didn't like Nina at first. I've grown to like her, but I do find it very amusing how much um, I feel like my joke with her is that she is like very suggestible about if something is um, looks like it's for an older woman, she hates it. Like if yes. if someone else suggests that something's very youthful and like a young girl would want to wear it, like a young woman, I feel like that. Uh, Nina starts to like that a lot. Right. And I feel like the worst thing that Nina, if someone, Nina's always describing dresses as like, oh, it's very mother of the bride. Right. And she says that some outfits are very mother of the bride with the same contempt that most people use for saying that someone is a convicted sex offender. Right. Uh, to her, the idea of like a woman whose children have grown old enough to be married off um, is like the most repulsive thing you could have in fashion. Right. Um, but I've gotten to like her better over the seasons, I think. Um, Tim Gunn is great. Yeah. I love how emotional he gets. I do too. Um, he just is so... Like, everybody likes Tim Gunn. Like, everybody likes Tim Gunn. He's so... The way he interacts with people is just so kind and well-intentioned, and he's fun. I really want them to make a... Uh, I had a casting, a moment of casting inspiration during one of the seasons. He made a face, and I suddenly realized, I want someone to make a movie in which Tim Gunn is a character played by um, Brian Cranston, hmm. who I think would be great at playing Tim Gunn. If you had him in gray hair and you put those glasses and dress him in a little suit, I feel like uh, Brian Cranston would be an excellent Tim Gunn. I agree. So whoever's making the Project Runway movie, try to, cast, try to cast yeah. one of the best actors in the industry as Tim Gunn. Um, what was I going to say? Um, okay, so... yeah. That all leads me to... That all leads us to this. Utopia. Utopia. Fox had this show that I was describing to someone a project I want to make, and someone goes, ooh, that sounds... We watch Utopia at all. And I was like, what? And I looked it up, and it was this big thing. It's one of the biggest shows Fox ever tried to put out. And the idea is that they created this utopia world where it was like, you know, 16 people are chosen to live there. And there are, like, hundreds of cameras. There's no cameramen. It's all cameras that are mounted. Mm. And the whole thing is that you can log online and watch live feeds of all the cameras if you want. Mm -hmm. And then twice a week, there are going to be updates of what's, hap what's been happening in Utopia the past three days. Mm-hmm. And the idea was, can these 16 people create a utopia society when removed from the world? And they'll have to find out ways to, like, harvest food and do all this stuff. And like, sort of what like, resources do they have going in? Um, 
not that much. It's like a weird, you know, that, that was the premise of it. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I was like, Oh, that sounds cool. It's basically like you're creating the Truman show, but they know they're in it. And like, can they make it work? Mm -hmm. So then I go and watch the show Mm -hmm. and immediately I'm like, of course I should have expected this. Number one, their utopia is like a ranch in LA. That's like not that big. They have like, you know, electricity and all this stuff. And it's like, you have to do it yourself. Well, it's really just wire the electricity from one thing to the other. And it's like, yeah, it's all sort of there. They just have to like do the, like, they don't have to invent electricity, right? They just have to like connect the things to make it all work. They have JD, some JD Amato's version of utopia. They would have to discover electricity naturally. Yeah. I mean, okay. So anyways, it, it's a ranch, whatever they get a certain amount of money they can spend. Great. And then immediately my eyebrow goes out because they're introducing the members of Utopia that they've brought together to see if humanity can create a Utopia together. Mm-hmm. And the members of Utopia are Red, the redneck from you know Alabama who he thinks that you know the, the, the South should have won the Confederate War. And like uh, whatever her name is, She's a polyamorous and like Joe, who's like an angry libertarian from Boston. Who He was a lawyer. Now he doesn't give a flip. And like Dion, who's just left jail four days ago. And like this guy, who's an ex-NFL, you know, just like. All built for maximum conflict. Right. It's like you didn't pick these people to see if they could make a utopia. You just picked people who you knew would argue. And then it's like. Um, so-and-so, she's a topless maid. And, like, Pastor John, who he's a pastor of, like, a fundamentalist, congregation. A fundamentalist conservative Christian church. And it's like, you, you didn't want them to make utopia. You just wanted them to argue a lot. And so then the show just became, okay, how many minutes go by before they're arguing about something else inane? And, like, of course, like, the redneck guy and the ex-con team up. And they start, like, trying to secede and start, like, like destroying everyone's food and yelling about stuff. And it's just like, this is not a utopia. This is not what you wanted. Yeah. And it's like so annoying to watch everyone argue and have these stupid inane conversations where they're like, yeah, this is no different than big brother. Exactly. Um, and so the funny thing is that because Fox poured so much money into this, made it such a big deal out of this, these people thought that this was going to be a huge show. Like, they thought it was going to be, like, Survivor. Remember when Survivor first came out? Yeah. Everyone was like, you knew the name of every contestant. You knew. Like, everyone knew. And so the problem was the show wasn't very – it was a very bizarre show. The ratings were awful. People weren't watching. And then Fox – I never even heard of it until I saw the tweet about you being sad it was canceled. And so Fox moved it from being twice a week to just once a week on Friday nights. Which that's the golden time slot, right? You're you're basically setting that up to have its head chopped off, and so there's what was actually became fascinating about it is that as they would unfold, people on the show kept going, guys, the world is watching, and in my head I was like, oh, they, they don't, don't know, know that it's not, like they don't know that it's they're on a pretty unsuccessful show, mm-hmm. and so there's a part of me that like wanted to see them learn that, yeah. And, like, it was funny because they have to make money and, like, they had no ways to figure out how to make money. And so the one thing was, like, oh, we'll let people take tours of Utopia. We'll let them, like, come in and, like, get the Utopia experience. 
So we had the big opening day and like I think like 30 people came or something like that. Mm-hmm. Which is like fine, but it was like should have been the first hint that like, uh-oh. Yeah, you and I could perform a show and get 30 people to show up. Exactly. Um, so it was very bizarre. Um, and the show itself was not that great because it was just conflict over dumb stuff. There was no ultimate goal. They couldn't try to achieve anything grand because they could barely agree as to who was going to sleep where. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and then it got canceled this weekend. And apparently they didn't tell the performers that it was doing bad or going to get canceled. And I think they just like a producer walked in and had to tell people like, it's over, everybody leave. And so, like, Did apparently people were trying to watch on the live stream to see when they got told. And I think it yeah. cut out before that. I even cut the most interesting part I know. out. But so, I was watching this show, and every week I was watching it, and just, like... How, was, many, how many weeks has it been on? I think there's only eight episodes or something, ten episodes. And it was, the one. I think, it's Fox's biggest flop of all time. Because I think they spent $50 million on it. Mm. Something like that. And it was so bizarre and so interesting. Um, but I just loved the symbol of it also when it got canceled last night of the idea that it's like Fox's version of Utopia was a place where people argued for ratings. Ar- like, well, people argued and that got them ratings because people were arguing. But then no one liked it. So then Fox canceled Utopia. Like, the idea of a Utopia is just like the perfect place. Mm-hmm. And Fox's perfect place was just meant to get people to watch, and people didn't, so they canceled their. It's like they canceled heaven. They cre- they got a chance to create heaven. They purposely made it flawed because they thought people would like that. People didn't, so then they canceled the idea of heaven. Like we don't need heaven anymore, mm-hmm. which I think is so hilarious. Like, yep, Fox tried to, try, tried to create a utopia. No one watched, so Fox canceled utopia and told everyone to go home. Like such a bizarre universe that we live in. Yeah. So then at the same time I'm watching Utopia, I've been watching this other show on ABC, which have you watched this at all? Mm-hmm. The Quest? What's that on? ABC. I'm trying to think if I've seen some reference to that. It is uh, by some people that are like art directors or something for like mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings or a bunch of things like that. Yeah, they, I don't know anything about it. They created a fantasy world. It's basically a fantasy, like, RPG reality show mm. where people entered this place called uh, Everrealm, and they get strung along on this journey, and they sleep in this castle, and they're all paladins, and they're trying to save the queen from all this stuff, and the whole thing is, like, heavy fantasy art-directed cinematic stuff, mm-hmm. which was really fun, but the problem was... Every episode culminated similar to a survivor challenge. It was like these people are taking over the castle, blah blah blah. Yeah. There's ten puzzles in front of you. Whoever can finish it first, uh, it was like that kind of thing. Yeah. I was like, oh. But for a second, it was re- like there, and I watched the whole thing all the way through, and yeah. I got sort of emotional in the last episode, mm-hmm. um, even though it was like cheesy. But there was something fun about it. You should watch it. The quest. The quest. Because it's basically uh, a reality show with a narrative. So it's like if Lord of the Rings was a reality show. Yeah. And it's like who is going to be the one to deliver the ring to the final thing. Yeah. Mm. And I also watch America's Next Top Model. 
Mm-hmm. Boys in the House. That show is insane, dude. That What's... is the most insane show. Boys in the House? Are they models or just boys? They're models. This is the second season. But now they've been male models. Yeah. This is Tyra Banks' show. Yeah. She is crazy. In the best way. Yeah. I want to eat gummy bears right into the mic. Um. Yeah. All of these kind of shows, this is the thing. It's. I feel like sometimes people say, like, oh, I don't watch reality shows. And it's because they. it's like when people used to say, like, I don't watch television. I just watch Discovery Channel. Like, that's the, the answer I associate with. I remember Chevy Chase saying that in some magazine. was like, I don't watch TV. I just watch the Discovery Channel. And it's like a real, sn- it's like a real snobbish right. thing. For me, it's just that a lot of reality shows are really well put together. Even ones that are kind of a little trashy are really well put together to the point where if I started watching them, I'd be like, it's the equivalent of like, well, now I've just, I've just excised like X number of hours from my life that I would have right. gotten stuff done during. So America's Next Top Model Boys in the House, house. is, and the theme is like, boys in the house. It's hilarious. They just added boys in the house at the end of the theme song. And it's like season like fucking 10 or whatever. I hope, uh, and they've like... I want to say, just while we're close to it on the mark, uh, I want someone to... Uh, Clip out JD's rendition of the America's Next Model Boys in the House. Take the audio. It was just a minute ago. Remove the audio and post it somewhere as its own clip of JD Amato covering the theme song <laughs> to America's Next Top Model Boys in the House. I'll give you some more audio elements that you can work yeah. with to edit together. Boys in the house. Ba-da, ba-da. Boys in the house. Please, now you've been given, uh, what's the term for it? Uh, three, um, what do they call it when you get the multi-tracks uh, from? Um, stems? Stems, yeah. Three J.D. Amato stems. Uh, we want you to mix them up, have fun with it. Uh, and put in, yo, one is the J.D. Amato remix. Up top is my remix tag. Yeah. Um, let's make it go viral. We don't have a lot of... <laughs> yeah, I like the idea. Uh, let's make this go viral. As <laughs> if you could just sort of choose... It's like, well... Well, you know, honestly, that's how... That's like how a lot of the... Uh, there are a lot of, like, uh, people who don't understand the way the internet works who are constantly just, like, trying to have a viral thing happen who really do think that's how things happen now. Let's try and make it go viral. You know what? Let's make this viral. Why not? Why not? I mean, if we can, let's let's make it go viral. Um, so, but I, I hope people will mix that and make a fun fun track or two out of it. Yeah, and feel free to throw this solo in. Probably won't fit, but I challenge you. I'll if you want to. This is optional. I would like it to be mostly just JD. But if anyone wants to throw this in, let's go. Oh yeah. Um. Put that at the end. Yeah. <laughs> me, me saying, oh, yeah, and applauding. That's great. Um, so they ran out of, like, normal model-specific challenges or things to teach people uh-huh. in episode, like, 
four of season one. Mm-hmm. So now it's just Timer making up a new term for something that's not real. Yeah. Them judging things that are not controllable. Mm. And the challenges themselves have gotten so insane and so bizarre. Because now basically Tyra tries, she tries to create new terms for every single thing. So the first one was um, uh, smize, which is smile with your eyes. And then sounds like a, it sounds like a, a rough draft Tolkien villain. And then there's Tuchin and Buchin. These all sound like uh, Middle Earth characters that you never met. So you Tuchin and Buchin fought the dragon Smize. So you booty Tuch. That's the first thing it hasn't booty felt. Booch. First thing it hasn't felt uh, Tolkien esque. And she keeps tr- adding these new phrases after things. What's a po- what's booty Tuch? A booch is when you basically just like cock your hips or your ass sticks out mm-hmm. i think booch is for boys tooch is for girls i don't know mm-hmm. so everything so also like now the show is called america's next top model boys in the house 2.0 tootin and boochin it's like the full title of the series right now that's an amazing title it's hilarious but the challenges are the most insane things and it's tyra acting like these are somehow Everything okay with your batteries? I have, I have one bar left on my battery. Okay. Uh, I have two batteries left there. Okay. Um, and there's yeah, one bar left here also. Um, so the challenge, like, the challenge for the episode that I just saw was you're going to walk through a haunted house in the pitch dark, and there's going to be performers jumping out at you to scare you, and you have to be modeling the whole time. Or there's one where ridiculous. people in the house weren't getting along, so Tyra had them do a um, one of those like um, DNA trace back things where you spit into the bag and send it to whatever like company, and they tell you what your heritage is. And so it'd be like, you two didn't get along, but would you believe that you are both part Asian? It would be like point zero 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 one eight Asian based mm. on DNA. Yeah. They'd be like, yo, Ching Chang Brothers. And like immediately just turn into the most like like guys being like, being like, well, uh, I always thought I was just uh, German and Australian. But it turns out I'm, uh, you know, like one sixteenth Spanish. I guess I am a Latin lover. Like stuff like that. Yeah. And then they ma- she made them all like take photos dressed up in like stereotypical garb from whatever bizarre heritage they claim to have. Uh-huh. It was the most like just insane um, out there version of things. Connor's looking inquisitively at his phone right now. Yeah. What's wrong? Uh, nothing. So, something's clearly wrong. Yeah. Because you would have really appreciated the uh, America's Next Top Model situation but i can tell you're troubled by something no i'm back on board what you want to discuss what is your trouble it won't make sense okay i just imagine you're staring at a text message it's just like and you're just like i don't i don't speak that doesn't make any sense that's not a language i know continue oh wait oh i broke the podcast now, ha! now, Dave, he was serious and confused, but now he's laughing victoriously. Like, did you just win at something? I did, yeah. That's good. Congratulations. Thank you. 
I'm in good shape. I can, uh, what it was was, well, that's what, yeah, they'll never know. Um, I need to rent a studio for like eight days, which is very expensive in New York. Yeah. Not a studio apartment, a filming studio for a filming for studio, a thing. studio. And so I reached out to a bunch of places, and there's one place was going to give me a quote, and I was scared that it was going to be high. And so, like, basically, there's two ways you can go about it when you're getting quotes. You can tell them what the budget is that you're working with. Yeah. And they can try to get it down to that. Yeah. Or you'll just let them give you a quote. Yeah. And then you talk them down from that. Yeah. So which, I just, which approach do you prefer? The latter? Uh, it depends what the situation is. If it's okay. like, it depends. So for this situation, there was a new student that never worked with, and I was like, well, I don't even know what the rates are, so I didn't want to insult them by giving them something super low. Yeah. And then I was like, yeah, just let me give me a quote for that. And then the quote they gave me was like lower than what I would have. Oh, good. You won. Exactly. That's the ha-ha. So that was the ha. Was I was like, ha Yeah. I've gotten you. But in other instances, you might be like, I should let them know what we can do, what's possible, and see if they'll play ball. Exactly. Um, you kind of have to trust the person a little bit more in the first scenario. Right? You have to kind of assume, like, I'm just going to be straight with you, and hopefully you'll deal fairly with me. With how much money you have. If you say, like, yes, here's exactly. how much I have. In that instance, you're, like, banking on them being reasonable. Well, that's that's more if you know what their rates are. Yeah. When it's like, I know this is below what you're looking for. But let me, I can get it to. Let and me then you negotiate you. from that. Yeah. Whereas you can open it up. But and be like, it, we but, don't have that money. But in this case, having just asked them, there was the danger maybe that if you'd said what you had, that you might have ended up getting a higher quote. Is that possible? Yes, it is. Okay. So that's where the ha comes in. Uh, continue about the top model, though. Connor's in a restroom, but I'm just going to read this. <laughs> you guys are going to love me reading documents. What? Nothing. I'm just reading something quietly. Okay. Ouch. What are you reading? Hmm. And he's reading something off of his computer monitor. Boys in the house. JD? Yeah. What's wrong? Nothing. I'm just wondering what, what's going on with you. Well, I'm just reading the details of this agreement. Um... um <laughs> Yo ho! Good, that could be doable. Um. Hmm. Sorry, I'm not doing a good job of. Um. Um. Great. I've been drinking a lot of seltzer lately. Started drinking seltzer. It's become my drink of choice. Really? Um, I kind of had to make myself like it. I didn't like it at first, but now I've developed a taste for it where I do like it. I've noticed that you're into that. Yeah. Into what? Into seltzer or into... Into seltzer. You've been drinking it a lot. Yeah. When, when have you seen me drinking seltzer? Just today? This show. Oh, yeah. I had and a big weird. bottle and I have... Your crystal light stuff. Canada Dry, you mean, in the fridge? 
I've never drank Crystal Light in my life. It's not Crystal Light, uh... Canada Whatever the fuck it is. Canada Dry, Schweppes, Polar. Polar, um, maybe? Yeah, Polar. The weird tall thing that you... This? No. It's a weird tall thing you get at your supermarket that we had when you made the... It's like ice. Oh, uh, yeah, uh, sparkling ice. Sparkling ice. Yeah. I've been drinking that less and drinking seltzer more. It's also, you know, um, for when I've been doing shows at UCB, they, they'll have drink tickets now, and I don't drink alcohol, so it's, and I don't drink soda, so it's always kind of wasted on me when I do a stepfather show, and they'll give me drink tickets, but now they've, I've started using them for seltzer. Um, but I've also been trying to lose a little weight. I've lost, I don't know if it's noticeable. If, I, I can never tell if it's noticeable or not. I've lost probably like 15 pounds since I, I started. I noticed it this morning. Yeah? I almost made a comment on it, but it seemed strange for me to do so. I was about to say, you're looking, uh, you're looking more, uh, less flabby or less, less portly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, what I noticed was your hair. Yeah. Is that your hair was, it was like, look, you're looking more like, uh, I don't know what the word, you're just looking like smaller. Yeah. But in a way that was like your hair was. I don't know. I it was a well. My hair is also thing. smaller because I've had. It well, no, it was that your hair seemed in a different proportion to your body than normal. Normal, and I think it was because you had lost weight. Yeah. And then I realized that I was like, oh, the way the reason his, like, basically what I was noticing was that you were standing in the light and your jawline was very distinct and casting like a very specific shadow that yeah. looked a lot more like grizzled. Yeah. Like world traveled. Yeah. And I was like, that's strange, right? And I was like, oh, Connor's lost a bunch of weight. That's why. Yeah. I've lost and like, then I didn't, I didn't point that out because I didn't know if that was appropriate. Oh, yeah. Mention. Because I mean, maybe you uh, hadn't. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, or maybe I'm sick. That's, right, exactly. That's always the most, right. com- the most common time that a weight loss common is inappropriate. So I'm like, man, you lost a lot of weight. Like, yeah, I'm dying. You know, right. there's always like a. Yeah. Um, no, but I could v- visually tell that you had lost weight. Well, I'm glad. Um, I've, I've, yeah, I've lost about 15 pounds so far. I think I need to lose about. 20 or 30 more. Um, but um, it's hard. Um, the I'm going to at least get back down to where I was when I started training for the Olympics. <laughs> um, unfortunately, last in, in 2013, I thought it would be funny to really kind of overtly let myself go a little bit. I thought that would be visually funny if through the course of the the Olympic campaign I got in worse and worse shape. That's kind of a dangerous game to play in terms of like it's very hard to yeah, undo, that's not a, undo yeah, that joke. That's not a safe No. Um it became less amusing as, as I kept getting into the my Olympic outfit and it kept fitting <laughs> less and less. Um but, um, oh, I know something I wanted to talk about. I don't think I've talked about you, uh, with you. Um, just on the subject of occasionally doing, like, corporate shows and things like that. Um, yes. What are you measuring? JD just measured his apartment and is very happy with the measurements of it. But I don't feel like they've changed, so I'm wondering why 
You just use a measuring tape to measure the length of the apartment. Uh, I prayed for my apartment to grow, and it did. It did? No. It's um, amazing. I'm the studio, I was trying to figure out the dimensions. Yeah. And it's going to be good. It's going to work, I think. That's good. Um, I did a corporate job last month that I think you'll find kind of interesting how it happened because it was sort of a disaster. Um, but it was the kind of thing that like <clears throat> in the same way that you got that check and it kind of like – it was like, oh, good. Without this check, I might have been in trouble, but this check helps things. Um, right. This was definitely one of those things where it was like, oh, I just took this time off. I just did this. I just did this. And then I had a job that was a very limited amount of time and work for a, a, a good amount of money for the time it, that it took. Um, but it involved both writing and performing at an awards show that was about, it was like a, basically like a digital advertising awards ceremony. And the, um, basically it was one of those things where it wasn't hosting, but it was like during, doing some sketch comedy during an awards show for uh, the digital advertising industry. And so it basically involved a couple of writing sessions where we like pitched ideas and then those ideas were taken to the client and the client like approved some ideas and rejected other ideas. And um, it had certain weird things like um, there were ideas that were suggested by the client like, oh, maybe you guys could do like a thing like this. And then when we would include those jokes in our right. pitch back to them, they would be like, they would be either like, oh, we really like this idea. And we'd be like, yeah, that was your idea. Right. Or even weirder than that, they would sometimes reject an idea. They're like, we're only including that because you guys asked us to do it. They'd right. be like, this doesn't really work. We don't like this. And we're like, that's what you asked us to do. Right. Um, in other words, behaving the way, uh, in any portrayal of advertising, uh, you know, you'll see like on Mad Men or anything as you with advertising, you'll always see the scenario where the client is being difficult and changeable and, uh, confusing and contradictory. And these are advertising people who now that they were the client basically were behaving the exact same way. Right. Um, saying they really wanted a joke to be like this, then we'd give them that joke, and then they'd be like, we don't like that. And we're like, well, that's what you said you wanted, and we only came up with it because you asked us to. But, so we came up, there were going to be um, four of us performing, and, uh, and uh, the, we originally had this, pitch they, originally they were they wanted us there was a guy who was going to be giving like a keynote speech and they wanted us to come up from the audience and interrupt this person interrupt right. their speech and then the day before they said we were meeting with them at it was at this fancy hotel in midtown uh and we were told that um well uh so and so is going to be giving this speech and it's actually it's actually a really important speech. Like he's going to be talking about some pretty serious stuff, you know, given everything that's happened. And like, <laughs> we had no idea like what they were talking about. Cause we were like, what it sounded like, what has happened that's so serious in digital advertising that, <laughs> that we can't do this thing you wanted us to do. And like, so right. we don't really think you can interrupt the speech. And we're like, well, that's okay because 
we didn't really want to interrupt the speech. You were just adamant that that was something you wanted us to do. So they were like, well, you know, he's just going to be talking about like some pretty heavy stuff. And, you know, we, we just don't want to undermine that. And I said, well, could you tell us like, could you give us some idea of what he's going to be talking about just so we know not to undermine it? And, uh, they said, well, he's going to be talking about how, you know, everyone thinks, a lot of people feel like everything's going to be like technology is going to be the answer from now on. But uh, he's going to be talking about how creativity isn't dead. And that that was the premise of the speech, is that creativity isn't dead. And so I made the joke that I said, well, okay, so, so you don't want us to come out right. and uh, like with a, carrying big tombstones that say, like, creativity, rest in peace, beginning of time through 2014. I made the joke that, like, okay, so you don't want us to do that. And then they immediately were like, oh, no, do that. And so I'm like, okay, well. That was an example of what you don't want us to do. And I'm like, the whole point of why you don't want us to interrupt is you don't want us to undermine it. And literally the first joke that anybody made about undermining the speech, and they loved it and they wanted it. And so we're like, okay, so what we will do is we'll come out and we'll make it that, we had planned a big opening number about the death of creativity and that we just right. misunderstood the point of the, what we were told the speech right. was going to be about, um, which I actually thought was a pretty funny thing to do, partly because I actually think what was funny about the speech this guy was going to give is that nobody's arguing that, that, right. that creativity is dead. No, no one's like, creativity's dead, man. He's like, wait, so, it's still no, here. I'm going to take a stand and say that... People still have lunch. You know, it's like saying something is over, isn't over that no one is suggesting is over. Right. Um, you know, clothing isn't dead. People are still going to keep wearing it. You know, like n- none of these things are. So I thought, oh, it's a fake argument. Let's make fun of how, oh, we thought we misunderstood. We got an early draft of speech and I guess we misread it. Um, so we bought a Grim Reaper costume. Um, and we planned a whole thing about like that we would come out and we'd be like, Oh, we totally misunderstood. We had planned a we we thought we had heard the rumors that creativity was dead, and we planned a holding. Obviously, this undermines the point of the speech you just heard. So, and and uh, one of us was going to come out uh, dressed as the Grim Reaper. Uh, Langan Kingsley was going to be dressed as the Grim Reaper, talking about creativity. I've come for you, and and we'd be like, no, no, Langan, Langan, we don't we don't need it anymore. We don't need it anymore. So, not bad for like an opening sketch type thing, right. I thought. Uh, given the kind of thing it was, so on the on the night of the award ceremony, um, and we'd still be coming up from the audience. They were very big on wanting us to come up through the audience rather than just making a normal entrance on stage. Um, and we're waiting at the back of the room, and this guy's giving his speech, and I start to realize that he's not saying anything about creativity not being dead. He's just not talking about it. And I turned to one of the people that we've been working with, one of the people who's been, uh, one of the client people that we've been working with, and I'm like, he's not saying it. Like, he's not talking about it. And they were like, yeah, yeah, he's fucking it up. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. And So the entire thing is hinged on that happening and yeah. not happening. First of all, he had had a little too much to drink, so he was a little drunk. He had lost his digital copy he had lost the file of his speech he couldn't find it and so he was working off his notes which were on his phone which kept freezing up and locking him out so he kept having to re-enter his password into his phone 
to get access to his notes. And he never says the phrase creativity isn't dead. He never even comes, the closest he comes to saying it is, he, at one point he says, you know, there's still a lot of creativity in this industry. That was the closest he came to saying creativity right. isn't dead. Oh, God. And so I'm at the back of the room. There's nothing we can do. And I'm like, we're about to do a five-minute punchline to a joke with no setup uh, to an audience that doesn't know who we are. And so we had to get up on stage and basically just pretend that he had just said that and do a sketch that made no sense whatsoever. Um, and when we entered... What was the rea reaction? It was reacted just... to as if something that made no sense was happening in front of them. Right. Uh, there also, the banquet room, uh, we'd rehearsed it in an empty banquet room and when you filled it up with people in their chairs, basically picture a bunch of tight tables and chairs where all of a sudden now that people are sitting in the chairs, the chairs are all back to back basically. There's no room to walk through the chairs with all of the various people in their coats and their chairs. There's no longer room between the tables to make a quick entrance. Like you, It was a maze of you could find yourself going around one side of a table, a round table, and realizing like, oh, there's no way through there and having to go back around through it. So it like took forever even to get to the stage as we were doing this bit. And then I'll say this as a blind item. Um, we were also, I mean, it was a good payday, but it was also just like everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. Like it was terrible in terms of the performance. It was mystifying to me why they wanted comedy at this event, because all we did was add uh, minutes to a show that was already too long and people were still leaving early for, you know, from they were, as soon as they got a chance to leave the room, everybody who could would. Um, by the end, there was the room was almost empty. Um, but there was we were supposed to be given access to a a room to rest or to change, and um, I didn't go up to it because I forgot my phone downstairs. When we were heading up to this room, I I went back down to get my phone where I'd, I'd forgotten it, leaving it plugged into the wall charging, and. I get a text from the others that have gone upstairs saying, don't come up to the room. It's terrible. And I'm like, what? Are you joking? Like, what's wrong? They're like, no, we're coming down. The room's terrifying. Wait, what had happened? Well, they, they went into a hotel room that they'd been given the key for, thinking, like, this is our room that we've been given access to to rest or whatever. And the first thing they see is a bunch of empty bottles on the floor when they open the door. And they're thinking like, oh, maybe like the front part of the room is like a staging area where people have been allowed to leave their stuff and maybe some people left some bottles here. And they go into the room and there's a hospital bed that's been moved into the room. And there's uh, empty vodka bottles everywhere and bottles of pills and uh, like a bottle of, uh, an empty bottle of vodka on the back of the toilet. What? It, they said the room is just a disgusting mess. It right. Looked, and... There's that fear of, like, you've just stepped into a room that's not your own. Right. Of, like, oh, no, no, like, this could be a room you get shot in for walking into. And then right. someone says, like, who are you? And I'm going to mouth the name that I'm about to say to you. Okay. And, and de-voice it for the podcast. Um, the, when we got back down, they were like, oh, that was a nightmare. We don't know what the story was with that. Uh, when the client person... There's a squirrel in my window. That we were uh, dealing with when we were like, oh, by the way, that room's not like acceptable. It's completely trashed. This person said, you're kidding me. 
trashed the room, trashed his room. Wait, write it, oh. write it down. We. Yeah, I got that one. I don't know that one. Oh. Really? Academy Award winner. They're Weird. like. Weird. You're kidding me. Trashed his room? He only had access to it for a few hours. And it was. <laughs> and it what was were like, the things? It was like pills uh, everywhere? Pills, uh, empty bottles, and uh, a hospital bed that someone had had moved into it, like an adjustable hospital bed. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, man. That is bizarre. Yeah. I don't know what the full story of it is, but I think that's fun. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. About that person as well. <laughs> yeah. That is hilarious. Yeah. I mean, a good detective will be able to figure out who I haven't mentioned. Um, How? Well, oh, mentioned... just to the timing of when they were there. Yeah, I guess you could figure out who might have been involved in a digital award ceremony Who's won Oscars? Like, right? It's well that that narrowed it down significantly. <laughs> significantly. Um, anyway, maybe they didn't, but the assumption was that this person may have trashed this room since they'd been given access to the room for like the afternoon. Um, yeah. So that was an interesting experience. Um, oh no. Um, I always get stressed whenever I book an audition because it's, I know we're supposed to, like, I'm supposed to, like, let them know when there's a time when I can't do something, but, um, I, I'll get this email saying, like, you have an appointment for this now, um, hmm. Um, I'm going to get it. When do you think this episode is going to go online? Uh, within a week. Within a week? Yeah. Uh, it is relatively quickly. So we can go ahead and plug our spank. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, right now, uh, um, on Thursday, the 13th of November, um, uh, JD and I have created a show that we're going to be uh, doing at least once, hopefully more. Um, but we're going to, it's in a spank slot, which is a night where you go at, at UCB spanks are like auditions for shows to get runs at the theater. And, um, the, and we have a show that we've created called the Terry Withers mysteries, which I don't want to say too much about, except that if you're able to come see this show on Thursday, November 13th at 6 30 PM, uh, be paired with another show that I think will go first, but come at 6.30, uh, UCB Chelsea. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, Google the phrase Terry Withers Mysteries and see what you can find online. Not much because we're keep playing it close to the vest, but if that's our little pitch for it. If, you wanna, if you're a 12-hour a day listener who listens to the things like this, it, you're the type of listener who listens to this quickly enough to get to... Uh, Five hours in, yeah, five hours in, 
than uh, within that week. Otherwise, if you may be listening to this on November 14th and thinking, oh no, I'm too late. That's true. That's why I'm not going to talk about it for too much longer. Um, but uh, that's just a little a plug slash reward for people who are the quickest of 12 heads who listen to this podcast right away. Um, should, should always think to put our plugs in right at the top of the I podcast. Know. Any time sensitive stuff should be put in right away rather yeah. than at the five hour mark of, of the 12 hour podcast. I apologize. I've been silent most of the episode too, as I've just been working over yeah. here as kind of talks. I'm sending out a budget right now. Yeah. Um, if you like, you're welcome to peek at, peek at budgets. Oh, can I peek at the budget? Yeah. This is a segment of the show that we call peeking at the budgets where JD shows me uh, how much money is allotted for various expenses. Oh, God, this would stress me out. Really? All the, yeah, just there's so much money involved. Like, even huh. though this is a low budget, but, like, for me, this is a lot of money. Right. Um, like, the way I think of money. Lots of to-be-announced things on here. Oh, Everything that stresses TBA. me. That stresses me out. Why? What does that mean? TBA. That means things haven't been locked down yet. Here, this is what I was talking about. See that number? Yeah. Ooh. Okay. And, and that was the. Where's the number? Oh, there's some savings. Because here's this number. That was the number. Oh, that's the number that you're going to be paying, and that's the number that you're budgeted for. So you're already under budget to a, well, a little bit. In that one single category. Yeah. But you can you can pass those savings on to Exactamundo, some other department. Um, Exactamundo, my buddy Runo. Um, uh, I guarantee you, after sending this budget, yeah, um, you're gonna get yelled at. I give seven minutes before my phone rings. Ooh, that's a fun segment to incorporate into Twelve Hour Day. Is if we start the clock. I just did it. So it's four oh eight. Four oh eight. So let's see what time you get your email. You think seven minutes? Yeah. What's the soonest you get a call? Seven like, minutes, I think. You don't th- imagine there's a possibility you'll get one 30 seconds from now? No, because this person will read it. Mm. Yeah. And you think that it takes them seven minutes to fully process it and realize, like, i got to talk to J.D. Yeah. I've got to talk to J.D. Right. I looked at these numbers. They don't add up. Yeah. J.D. Yeah, that person is like a... <laughs> A J- giant cartoon cat? JD. Look at those numbers. Um, uh, well, then, I have to respond to one of my commercial agents about an appointment that I don't think I can do because of this other uh, corporate job I booked tomorrow. I always feel bad because you're supposed to book out. Like, oh, I'm not available for this. But if I did it for everything, I right. I feel like I'd be emailing them all the time. And they also don't pay attention whenever I do say, like, I'm out of town. Then I'll right. get... A thing saying, "Hey, here's an audition tomorrow." I'm like, "I told you I was out of town," so I kind of get just I'm bad about it. it yeah. um, so I'm going to just respond to them. Um, so if you want to talk right now, I'm oh sorry, of this. Yeah. I apologize. I thought, That's okay. I was thinking I, I was not we totally gonna... listening while you were saying all that. Yeah. So I realized that was a cue to me. Oh, yeah, I feel bad that I haven't been talking this much this episode, but, um, yeah, Utopia has been an interesting thing. I See, my thing is I wish, 
I wish I had like, I wish I were famous enough that I could just email people and um, like TV shows that were on, be like, here's what you need to change and then they would immediately get changed. I don't think anyone's that famous. I don't think that exists, but I like the idea of just being able to go, no, 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 here's how you change this show. Yeah. So like Utopia, The Quest, Who Wants to Be a Superhero, there's all these shows that I'm like, oh, you're so close, something great. With a few minor tweaks, you could really make this something really special. Um, I haven't seen a movie in about three months either because I've been in L.A. for so long. I haven't been, you know, it's been weird. Oh, man. I don't like L.A. because uh, the weather is the same every day. It's uh-huh. all the same. Yeah. And, is uh, that true year-round, basically? Uh, it fluctuates within, like, 10 degrees, I think. So yeah. I think, like, in the winter, it gets down winter. to, like, the or low 60s. Yeah. But every day that I was there, it was, like, 71 and partly cloudy, which was fine, but I fucking lost my mind by the end of it. Um, it was, like, getting uncomfortable how the same it was. So when I finally returned to New York, it was actually very... Uh, it was very pleasant. Mm-hmm. I think this is a bad episode. You think this is a bad episode? Yeah. Why? Because we're just talking business. Yeah, just because we're talking. We're not talking a lot about a lot of stuff. We're just talking about. We've talked about things we liked. Yeah. I just feel like I don't know. You always. Re- I'll point out that you always regret when you think of an episode's bad and you talk about it a lot. Later on, you always feel like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. Uh, I guess it just feels like we haven't talked about anything today. Because it's just been one of us having to sort of talk. Like, I realized, like, as I said this, like, well, I haven't been saying much at all this episode because I've been working. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And it almost feels like what it feels like is there's so much to talk about that it's, like, paralyzing. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's like so much that's happened that it's it's like I don't know what to even address. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 It, that that it uh, just shuts you down because you're not sure. Well, then it's like, well, fuck. Then I'll just like not talk about any of the things happening. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I don't know. It's weird. Because there's so many things and stories and stuff like that that's happened in the past three months. The amount of new friends that I've made in the past three months has been crazy. This might be the most amount of like new friends I've made in a period of time in a long, long time. Now that I'm friends with all these magic people and variety people. Um, now since you've come back to New York how much contact are you in with the is there a New York magic community that you're also uh, hooked in with now yeah a lot of the people who I became friends with out in LA are in New York or spend time here or stuff like that so I've been hanging out with some of the magic folk um, which has been fun and you know I've been trying to catch up with a lot of friends when I'm back here Mm -hmm. which has been nice 
Um, yeah. What, did, what were the things people wanted to hear about? There was a lot. Christian Spicer's texting me. Oh, wow. T- referenced in an earlier hour in this podcast, and now... He has a new podcast idea for a third uh, podcast that he wants to do. This is his third podcast? And Between you... he and I. Our third podcast. We already have two. You have two with him? Yeah. Endings only and 33-word mm. podcast. Oh, right. Yeah. And now he has one more that he wants to do. What's the third one? Do you want to drop that news here? Do you want to break that news here in hour five? No, because I don't think we're going to have time to do it before this next one. You don't want to let people in? This is already people who've slogged it through to this point. Okay. He said, podcast idea. We read a famous person's tweets from the past week and release it as a podcast. Do you have a name idea for that? No. Tweets of the week. With Christian and JD. No idea. Um, he made a great him and his wife and daughter had a great Guardians of the Galaxy Halloween costume what was it uh, here I'll see if I can find it Guardians of the Galaxy Guardians of the Galaxy <laughs> Come on, feel Jim's noise. Jim, ooh. I don't know. Okay. Um, I'm going to go through I, I know that there were a couple of what's this it's the beautiful Spicer family oh cool that's awesome isn't that great yeah did you watch see Garden of the Galaxy I did I liked it a lot I really liked Garden of the Galaxy too and as much as it was like oh man this is like I was like whenever they played the music I was like ah oh, this is manipulative but I was like, but I'm totally into it. Yeah. It was Although fun. that 10cc song that they play, I was mad they used it because I've been wanting to use that for the longest time. Which one? Here, I'll play it here illegally. Um, there's actually a funny story about this song. Mm-hmm. That when I was doing my thesis film, I shot it eight hours upstate Yeah. in this small town. Uh-huh. And um, me and my one of my best friends, Blake, were driving up. It was the middle of the night, and it was very eerie and sort of desolate winter. And this song came on, and something about it was so strange to me. And like I sort of like, you know, like got that moment got engraved in my memory of just like driving through the pitch darkness with my best friend in the middle of winter, uh-huh. making a movie, and just hearing this song. And it was, I don't know, 
there's those moments with songs that are just like, yep, that's the moment for this song that I'll remember. Yeah. 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 So, like, I loved it. It was a very emotional song to me, but I was also like, oh, man, I wish I had gotten a chance to use that. Yeah. I was like that. Um, I had a song. There was a period where I was writing a lot of screenplays. Right. Um, that uh, there was a period where I had written actually quite a few screenplays. There, I think they've all been rendered obsolete by other things at this point. I had. <laughs> That's I, the spirit. What do you mean? Is rendered obsolete. <laughs> is it, was that a bad thing to say? No. I just think it's funny that you're like, oh, my ideas are obsolete now. No, it's just that like I had ideas that were um, funny at the time that have been now would be looked at as ripoffs of other things that other people made later. Right. Like I had one that I was pretty proud of that was I had a, a script that I'd written called The Best Actor that was about that it got destroyed Thoroughly, thoroughly, both in the idea I had for how this movie could be promoted, right, and um, and the central joke of it too. This was probably like late '90s when I wrote this, right. And it was basically about a um, an actor who was like a light comedian film actor who really wanted to win an Oscar, sure, and um. He, he had done a film where he played a gay astronaut and uh, did not get nominated. Or he, or he got nominated, but he didn't win, I think. Right. And he felt like he... And he was furious with his agents because he felt like he had blown two possible routes to the Oscar in one movie. Right. Uh, and was really upset that he had, like, kissed another man on screen. Huh. Like, he'd done all... Like right, every, he'd done... Across all these lines He'd just done to all get these it. things for nothing. And... Um, and I think he won, and he lost to uh, like a young new actor or something like that. And he was just like, at a certain point, he was just worried that he wasn't going to be, he's going to come so close so often that he wouldn't be regarded. Right. And so he basically, um, he, I'm trying to remember the order that things happened. There was he was developing a script that was just designed to be like a surefire way that he would win an Oscar. And he basically was like, I have to play someone who's got some sort of like a, a mental handicap, like a physical right. thing. And so uh, there was another actor that, that actor was, I mean, would have been kind of like uh, a, a Tom Hanks or a Nicholas Cage, someone who's like respected, but also had roots in like lighter fare or weirder fare who wanted to be like taken seriously as a, like an Oscar right. type actor. And then there was another character in it who was sort of like a John Malkovich type character. And the main actor heard that there was a rumor that the Malkovich type actor was developed, was considering doing another 
script where he played like a, uh, oh, you have your phone call? Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm going to pause this because I want to actually have interaction. Yeah. Oh, was it seven minutes? Okay, well, that segment <laughs> where, we t where we carefully time out. Um, uh, JD is now on the phone. I guess I'll go ahead and keep continuing to discuss that, but the uh, there was a period where I wrote a lot of things that nothing that I never did anything with. Like, I, I, would, I came close with certain things, but they're not things that are like, I don't have them in my back pocket like, oh, I could someday make this. They're sort of things that are a time capsule of a certain period in my life where uh, it was useful as a writing, as an exercise to write those things. And I feel like they would in some ways inform future things I might work on. But as far as actual being actual, like, useful documents, um, I don't think... They they would be if even even pillaging them for scraps, I don't think uh, they would be worth it. Okay, I'm going to pause from there, put a pin in that, and come back when JD is done with his business call. And I want to talk for a minute about the return of Twin Peaks because I'm very very happy and excited about that. I mean, there was um, the Twin Peaks Blu-ray came out uh, this summer in July and that included a like 90 minutes um, basically like a 90 minute feature that was uh, was all of the long long awaited um, long awaited uh, deleted scenes from the Twin Peaks movie Twin Peaks Final Walk With Me which is not a movie I liked particularly well I, I saw it two times the weekend it came out when it's original release because I was so obsessed with Twin Peaks that I was excited about the movie. And the... Uh, JD, are you having to close the door because I was too loud? No, I closed the door just because I, I can't hear it. It's not your being loud. I was being too loud. JD's being nice about it, but... Um, I... So anyway, so... The, there's a trailer that came online for the Twin Peaks movie, Deleted Scenes, that uh, I was very, I mean, I was so excited to see this trailer. Like watching, if you go watch the trailer for the Twin Peaks, The Missing Pieces, to describe the feeling that that trailer gave me, it was just like, just clips edited together of, uh, you know, all my favorite Twin Peaks characters or most of them anyway, from the time when they still looked the way they did back when Twin Peaks was being made. Just seeing new footage with them was just amazing. It was just like a buried treasure, like a forgotten... It would be like finding out that there were a bunch of, you know, Kurt Vonnegut stories from the 1970s that were suddenly discovered, like from when he was operating at the peak of his powers, you know. Um, and... So I was very excited, and I really thought that that was going to be the end of Twin Peaks. I thought that Blu-ray with the deleted scenes from Firework with me, I felt like this is like the last stuff that's left. And so to suddenly find out that Twin Peaks is going to be happening again, that David Lynch is going to direct all the episodes, that he and Mark Frost are going to write them all, and that presumably all of the important, all of the most important people, sadly there's a few people like Jack Nance, 
um, and Frank Silva. Like, there's a few important people who sadly passed away in the in the decades since Twin Peaks ended. But other than that, like I mean, Kyle MacLachlan is. I mean, without him, there really is no Twin Peaks. That was one of the big problems with the movies that. Agent Cooper was just a cameo because I don't think uh, Twin Peaks just he is Twin Peaks like David Lynch is Twin Peaks but really in terms of characters like Agent Cooper is it like they could leave Twin Peaks and keep showing Agent Cooper solving mysteries in other places and that would be more Twin Peaks to me than remaining in the town uh, without Agent Cooper to me he's as much as it is a show about a town and a place, really, it's kind of misleading in the sense that it really is that it's Columbo and Agent Cooper is Columbo. That that is the, for me anyway, the main draw. If you don't have Cooper there to appreciate Twin Peaks, it's almost like you don't have Twin Peaks. He is the thing. And... It really is. I, I want to talk a little bit about. There was an article in. There was an article in the New Yorker. About Twin Peaks coming back. That really made me angry. I'm gonna look at. I'm gonna look at. Um, I'm gonna hold on. Actually, uh, I'm gonna play some music while I do this. Uh, who wrote the article in the New Yorker? Um, there's an article that made me really upset, really angry, really annoyed me. Um, some thoughts on the planned return of Twin Peaks. And this was like the day after it was announced. It's by Ian Crouch, who is a... Let me look at his little bio. He is a writer and producer for NewYorker.com, where he began working in 2009. Let me see if there's a bio for him. Um... He contributes to the sporting scene, Page Turner, and the Culture Dust blogs, and he lives in Boston. That's his bio. I mean, maybe he's a great guy. I don't know. I know I didn't like this article that he wrote about Twin Peaks, where he said that... Uh, where's the thing that he says here? That regardless of the qualities of a new Twin Peaks, its very existence will be a diminishment. Basically, in the article, he's saying that everyone's excited about Twin Peaks coming back, but that no matter what, it, it's not... Even if it's great, he's saying, it will diminish what Twin Peaks originally was. I think that's... That's the worst attitude you could possibly have, personally. Uh, I think there is some truth to you can't go home again. There is some truth to that, clearly. That's, you know, reunions and comebacks and things like that, they're often disappointing. They're often more about celebrating something that no longer exists. Um, and, it, you know, Twin Peaks, as it was in the late 80s, early 90s, like, that can't be recaptured. We live in a different world now. But to me, the idea of... Uh, to me, I don't think... I mean, there's a chance the new Twin Peaks won't be good. That's possible. But I think to publish something the day after this... It's also fair to say, I think, that 
in the same way that tw the original Twin Peaks was unprecedented, I think this is kind of unprecedented. I don't think there's ever been a, a show like this that um, uh, has come back after such a long period of time and with the original creators who still do good work. Like David Lynch still does good work. I mean, David Lynch has done a lot of his best work since Twin Peaks. Um, and uh, there has never been a... Uh, hold on, I'm going to play some Twin Peaks music while I talk about Twin Peaks. Um, I, I just think it's so... Hold on. Here we go. I try and play music. Um, yeah. So I'm going to play a little Twin Peaks music while I'm talking about Twin Peaks. I just think to say that they shouldn't even try when this reunion, this return, 25 years later is so unprecedented in its own way that to try to predict what it will be like, I mean, you can certainly play the odds and say that most reunions are a disappointment, that usually you can't go home again, etc. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, maybe the smart money is on that. And maybe it's foolish to think that uh, this is going to be any different. But I, I just wouldn't want to live in a world where you didn't try. I think... I think uh, I think living in a world where you just assume that no matter what, even if it's great, it will be a diminishment. I think it's such a, a defeatist attitude that I'm kind of surprised that a person who would write that would even have the... the I mean, why bother writing anything if you're going to view everything that negatively, if you're going to be that hopeless... It just seems like that's a sickness in the head. And I'm really excited to see what they do. Um, I'm fully I'm fully prepared if it's a disappointment. Certainly I've, you know, I grew up as a kid wanting to see the Star Wars prequels. And by the time they rolled around, I was aware that, like, they probably weren't going to be very good, you know. That didn't mean, you know, if you go back to... Uh, what was it, 1999, when uh, I was visiting my friend Sean Peterson out in uh, Santa Monica, and we went and saw Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, and I'd heard bad buzz about it from, like, the night before when it had premiered, but the first, like, five or ten seconds when that Star Wars theme rang out in the movie theater, I remember the two of us, we were both so happy that... We couldn't believe we were watching a new Star Wars movie, and that I mean, it it, it last it didn't last because the second the the opening crawl, episode one, the Phantom Menace, and as soon as they start describing what's happening, that description at the beginning is not very good, and it immediately kind of uh, you become aware very quickly, like oh, this probably is not very good, <laughs> it's not going to be good. Um, it may be that within a few minutes of the new um, Twin Peaks that 
I'll realize like, oh, it's different now. This is not as good as it was. That could easily happen. Um, but I choose to believe that, I mean, I felt a little weird watching. I mean, the other thing is Ian Crouch in this article, um, he, one of his examples is about how people didn't like Arrested Development season four, which is longtime listeners slash viewers know I get very, I get, that gets my hackles up a lot because I think Arrested Development season four is amazing. Uh, I think the people who have, fair enough if you didn't like it, but I think a lot of people who didn't like it just revealed that they were not, they were not really, they didn't like the show for the right reasons. Maybe they didn't even like the show at all, or they were just casual fans that, you know, were just, I feel like uh, it would be like people who liked um, A Hard Day's Night by the Beatles but they didn't like the White Album. You know, that it's like, okay, fair enough, but the White Album's a lot more ambitious. Um, fair enough if you only like the early Beatles albums, but those later albums are pretty great. And they're trying a lot of different stuff, and not all of it works, but boy, uh, it's much more of a meal to mix metaphors. So uh, the fact that Ian Crouch shits on Arrest Development Season 4 makes me trust his judgment about predicting Twin Peaks even more. Um, but I... Let me see if I can find Sycamore Trees on here. That's one of my favorite tracks um, from Twin Peaks. Um, it's the Sycamore Trees uh, song from the f series finale. Oh, it is on here. It's a uh, Sung by Little Jimmy Scott. Yeah. I've got Great song. So, I mean, that's a little bit about my feelings about Twin Peaks. I mean, it's just, it could be anything. Like, I'm actually glad that there's uh, a little bit of time before the new Twin Peaks emerges. Because I think this period of time to, uh, to really enjoy it. Like, when is it coming back? It's coming back... Uh, is it 2015 or 2016? Um, 
the return of Twin Peaks um, yeah late there's a book that comes out in late 2015 and then the show is coming back in 2016 I really like that we have this time to anticipate it to enjoy it I mean I I know a lot can go wrong in that you know there's a risk in waiting because uh, it could not happen. Something could go wrong. You know, you never know. But uh, the, I'm really, I think in some ways this is the most precious part of the time is the, the anticipation of it returning and the, the limitless possibilities. Um, I really like that. Um, I was in a situation earlier this week where uh, I had like a general casting meeting, like a general a general audition. I don't have an agent as an actor, and maybe I'm getting to the point where I need to start looking for one. Um, I need to start getting a little more ambitious, maybe. Um, but I found myself in a in a in a general audition meeting at CBS, and. It was a good meeting. It was a very pleasant meeting with some very nice people there. But I was sitting on the couch in the office, and the two posters on the wall were for The Good Wife and Person of Interest, which are, for my money, two of the greatest shows on television right now. They are, they are two shows that I do not wait to watch them. Like, I usually get home and have to watch stuff after it's aired on any given night, but those are shows that if I get home late and like on a Sunday night, if I've done ASCAT and I get home and it's like 1230 at night, I am going to watch The Good Wife before I go to sleep. I'm not going to leave it until the next morning or the next night. I'm going to watch it that night. And I'm new to The Good Wife. I only started watching The Good Wife this year. Uh, I caught up with it on Amazon Prime where all the seasons were and... Boy, that show is great. Let me tell you something, because I think there's like a, for people who love good TV, and there are a lot of people who already know all this. They don't uh, need me to tell them that The Good Wife is a great show. But for people who were like I was a year ago, people who like great TV but who have not seen The Good Wife, The Good Wife is very fun, very smart, very uh, compelling television great acting, great writing, lots of great recurring characters, um, very well cast show. And I burned through it. It was just like, I don't think I've enjoyed a show about the law since like early LA law. Like I was never someone who was into the practice or Boston legal. Like there was like, I wasn't into those shows. This show is good lawyer show. Deals with law, deals with politics. I really, really like it. And Person of Interest, which started off as kind of a weird procedural. That's produced by J.J. Abrams, created by Jonathan Nolan. Uh, who wrote the original story that Memento was based on. He's co-written a couple of, uh, um, several movies with uh, his brother, Christopher Nolan. But this show started off as kind of like a weird procedural. And over the course of a few seasons has developed a lot of recurring characters and a great arc mentality like there's a it has one of probably one of the best arcs 
on TV. Great payoffs, great action sequences. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, man, it is good stuff. And so, I mean, I don't know if anything will come from that, but uh, it really was exciting. Also, it was exciting to me because my dad worked at the, the TV station that my dad worked at from until I was about 10 years old. KRCG TV 13, Jefferson City, Missouri, was a CBS affiliate, still is. And so I grew up uh, seeing, my dad would bring home like publicity things from work for like various like, you know, holiday specials. They'd get like a, a media packet that would have like some glossy photos and stuff and they'd all be branded, you know, CBS, you know, and there was like a Charlie Brown Easter special or something. And I was just grew up around a lot, a lot of things that said CBS, CBS. And I was felt very like, I would go visit my dad at work and it was very exciting, you know, to be at a TV station and to, uh, see all the different CBS, uh, posters on the wall. And so it's very weird to decades later be waiting to go uh, to have a meeting in the CBS building in New York. That's exciting. Especially because, you know, like I, there's a lot of CBS shows that I don't watch, but man, the ones that I do watch are some of my favorite shows. I, I would, I get as excited about those shows as I get for any HBO or FX or any, any of the other shows that have like the great reputations for doing quality programming. But CBS has still got skin in the game. Like, they've still got some great shows. Man, what do I... I mean, JD's in this meeting in the other room, so he is still going strong. I'm trying to think what I have going on. Sometimes I get a little bit... Um, well, I guess I'll give an update. I mean, if, this feels weird because um, I'm not talking to JD about it. This is just me talking to you guys, whoever happens to be listening. Um, I've met a couple of people recently who listen to the 12 hour day. It's always nice. If you listen to it and you see me somewhere, come up and talk to me about it. It's, uh, it's very nice to meet people who, who listen to the podcast and it's always a little surprising, uh, because it means that this person's actually spent like a lot of time quote unquote around me. Um, it's not like if someone like sees you in like a, two-minute web video or something like that. Like, they've listened to me talking for 12 hours. Um, but, um, oh, God, it's so easy to get lost in thought in this, especially when, it's, especially when I can hear JD talking in the other room, but I'm just rambling away in here. Um, what else do I have going on? I... I guess I can go ahead and say, yeah, um, I have a web series coming out on IFC, uh, on IFC's website, ifc.com, uh, that we filmed last month. It's called Bottled, and I play a sort of pathetic guy who works at a, a beer distributor, like a, a liquor store, warehouse kind of who can't make friends and is just desperate for any kind of human contact. So it's another, like, sad character played by me. And, uh... I don't know. I sometimes wonder 
if it's a mistake for me to be pursuing all this, like, some of it does make me genuinely unhappy. Like, even today I'm getting emails about having to go to an audition tomorrow and they make me feel stressed. Like, they make me feel anxious. Maybe I just need to, maybe I just need to do it more. I'll be less anxious. I'm sorry for yawning. Uh, I'm lying down on JD, uh, futon that's out in JD's living room here. Um, I could easily fall asleep right now. Oh God, I know that's, you're not supposed to say that probably on a podcast because that would make people listening to it want to pause it and go to sleep or just go to sleep during it. I mean, oh, oh no. It's so easy to feel tired. I wish I had more time to sleep. Uh, I even gained an hour with daylight savings time this weekend, and it's... Oh, wait, is J.D. back out? Oof. How did the phone call go, J.D.? It great. I started getting real sleepy the last 60 seconds. Really? Yeah. I think when you talk by yourself for a long time, it wears you out. Yeah, I could see that. Um, is your microphone still operational? Oh, I hope so. Boy, that would yeah, be the worst. Is. It's work. real low on battery, though. It's real low. Do we, should we do the swap out? Uh, yeah. Or should we wait for it to die altogether? We can wait for, uh, if we wait for it to die, we'll forget about it. We'll be talking about something. and then The problem is I don't know if I have four double A's. Uh-oh. You mean for both of us to do a swap out? Well, you, you need four. I need four? Yeah. Holy shit. I don't need any double A's. I'm working on a mic. Yeah, but eventually what happens when we leave? Oh, you just don't need any? No. Okay. The mics don't require batteries. So I have. That's an empty cardboard box. That's useless to us. Sure is. I have one, two here. Uh huh. All right. All right. Uh oh. Uh oh. I should have brought some batteries. Uh oh. And then I got these loose, loose guys. I wonder if these have any power in them. Find out. You have a battery Only tester? one way to find. No, I do not. Okay, taking Connor offline. Bye, guys. I should have. I should have made you watch my childhood films. Um, no, I bet I can scrounge them up. Yeah, we should get the batteries. We can buy batteries when we go to that show. Okay. I'm on JD's mic now. Um, tell me in cryptic terms how your phone call went. Uh, it went very nicely. Um, it was actually three phone calls that just took place. Yeah. Um, good. Everything came together in the last five minutes. I was very stressed out this morning. Not stressed out, but I was just like, ooh, dog, we got a mountain of stuff to get done. And then all these phone calls took place, and all these things happened today. 
and now I'm in much better shape. So I'll be very, I'm much more talkative now because now I feel like I can talk a little bit as opposed to just having to like eke out numbers and contact people and we're in good shape, Connor. The day is looking great. You can, you can just tell my voice right now that I'm so much happier than I was. Um, here, you can you can sort through my business cards that I have as I... All right. Wait. Oh, I thought this was literally going to be a folder of the various business cards you personally have had over the years. I was like, oh, no, JD, this is too many. Well, are these friends or all business? No, that's just any time anyone hands you a business card. Like, you got one from Mood, yeah. uh, who do fabric for Project yeah. Runway. Um, oh. Right, I'm, I'm going to look for the drawing. Treasure, JD Yamato Treasure Trove. I'm more interested in the drawings than I am in the business. Uh, like, uh, I feel like the business cards, it's interesting that you kept them. Oh, that's from an animation that he sketched. All right. Look at JD's. It's basically like looking at a comic strip, a silent comic strip by JD. Uh, did you make that animation? Yeah. Oh, some good, good art. These are people I know by JD. Uh, it looks like he drew just a bunch of friends, right? Yeah. And did little descriptions. And one of the things was a, as a street light, and he wrote, I just love lights that are on late at night. Kind of contradicts JD's uh, feelings about when we walked through Times Square, and he talked about how disgusted he was that they keep the lights on all night. Yeah, those See, those lights are advertising to no one. These lights are there for you if you need them. These ads are there for you if, if you need them. If you need... What if you need... An, like... Always there for you. Uh, there's a. Is this this is just a comic book that or comic strip? Pizza is not a pie by JD. Yeah. Sometimes you set out for pizza, and get something extra. For example, maybe the process of life dis disassembles itself and allows you a quick look inside. My beer from counter and it's good artwork on this. And nicely, is this watercolor? Gouache. Wash. Wash. Gouache. What's gouache? Okay. My brief encounter took the form of a routine pizza delivery, a pizza delivery which I witnessed from birth. Behold, the miracle of birth. While I ordered my two slices, a girl I never met made my order over the phone. Watched as her pizza was born. Made an order over the phone. I watched as her pizza was born. Insert pizza pun here. At this point, the pizza was dead to me, another casualty of affordable cuisine. However, as is often the case in life, I was reunited with the pizza, except under new ownership. Or was it adoption? Nevertheless, it was a pizza I'd never forget, a girl I'd never remember. There's lots of little sound effects in this, too, like bing, bing, and ding, 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 ding. It's very moody, and I like it. Ah, oh, some good drawings here. And then there's some empty slots, and then... I have one folder... Yeah. Drawings of Captain Marvel. That's Captain Marvel. Or is that Shazam? Uh, that's Shazam. Shazam. Alex Ross. Is that 
one of the Twin Towers fighting off uh, airplanes. That's the Hancock Tower trial. Fighting off airplanes? Is this post 9 11? No, that was pre 9 11. Alright. You, uh, no, that might have been close. That was close. Yeah. You had a whimsical take on the way Skyscraper would fight off airplanes. And the Skyscraper has arm, uh, hands in. What's this? I have an equivalent folder to this that is like a big leather folder. It's old cartoons and comic strips that I used to do. This is a series of drawings. This is a series of drawings of a guy standing in the rain that I saw that I just kept drawing. This is back when I was doing more animation, so I was drawing constantly. And so I just, any time that I was doing anything, I would draw them. So this is just me drawing the same image, like... Yeah. Yeah. And it was just different days, different situations. One of them I remember I drew on the plane back to... Uh, back to home, Thanksgiving, yeah. Oh, weird. This was a dream that I had. I forgot about this dream. Weird. It's good. This is a good uh, folder, JD. Um, what was I saying wh- oh, that we? P- I wanted to put a pin in. What was I saying when the phone call happened? I was talking about something. I was at the beginning of something. Um, let me think. Oh. I'm trying to remember, dear viewer slash listener. at the very beginning of describing something <sighs> what was it was it a movie was it a series of movies mm. was it something someone tweeted about looking through to see things that people have tweeted. Um, I was explaining something to you in some detail. I think we should venture out. You can turn yours on. Okay. Yours is activated. Talk? Talking? Yeah. I think we should go get batteries. Go get batteries? Okay. Talk while I put my... Um, uh, I'm stretching. Uh, uh, um. Man, that's going to drive me crazy if I can't think of what we were talking about when your phone rang.
you're telling a story. Yeah. And the story was about there was someone, an old man. <laughs> it sounds vague, but I'm just seeing images that I remember. There was an old man. could that story have been? What sucks is that r right now the people listening to this have a pretty fresh memory of what it was. Um, and I have nothing. Um, oh God, this is the worst feeling. I've had this Every now and then I'll have this feeling where it's like your brain breaks. Whenever you can't remember something, it really does feel like, oh, this is what happens when your brain just starts shutting down and won't work anymore. Um, I had talked about doing that corporate gig. I had talked about... Um, what could it have been? Trying to think because it felt like I was at the beginning of a long story. I apologize to people who've gotten this far. I mean, we are at what point are we at? What time is it? It is five o'clock, so we're roughly at the halfway point now. An old man, what could I have been saying? Uh, I don't know if it's an old man per se, but that's just the image I yeah. remember. Five o'clock. Um, we'll go get batteries. We'll go get batteries. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hey, Chief. You good? Fantastic. JD's putting on his coat, and we're gonna go now to buy batteries, and we're gonna deliver his rent check. I'm gonna try to remember the thing that I was forgetting. It's a horrible feeling to not be able to remember something. It was right there, minutes ago. I do worry about that. Five o'clock. 5.02 now. What time is your rent due? Is your rent due at a No. But you asked with such urgency that... I'd like to go to the bank. Yeah. So we might go to the bank as well. Glad you're feeling better now, JD. I don't like seeing you stressed like that. Test, 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 JD. Test, 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 Connor. What are you thinking, JD? I can carry some of it. I could try. 
KD's getting a bag. I want to see what the bag says. Oh, it's a South by Southwest bag. It says Adobe on the other side of it. I don't think I have that bag. Um, hmm. I have a bad habit of saying um and then not having anything to follow it up with. Yeah, it's better than mine. What's yours? Not talking. Uh. I see two AA batteries right down there. Those are all dead. Dead. Is this a box of dead batteries? Yeah. Talking like I need it, like I need it, like I need it. Uh, can you move your lob just so it's not... Rubbing up against stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Um... Every time we do this podcast, I always, I'm like, oh man, I need to get something to hold this gear. Yeah. We looked at those nice pouches last time that, uh, they're very expensive though. They're way too expensive. Um, I was reading an article today talking about that Richard Branson's, uh, private space exploration. Right. How it exploded. Yeah. Okay. And someone just died connected to it. Yeah. Uh, try, I'm going to turn iPad to yeah 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 um what do you think of all that JD uh you know I don't like when people die no I what do you think about the whole uh private space exploration thing I think it's great yeah I think it's what we need uh the article I was reading took a hard line against it you pick up my rent check here. Oh, that's where you keep it under the plant? Yeah. Where are we yep. taking this? Uh, you want to put it in your pocket? Okay. Um, JD and I are now leaving his apartment building for the... F this. It feels like when we spend... When we spend six hours in one room and then all of a sudden this is like an action sequence. Yeah. This is. There's even sirens. Everything's... If you can see visually, I don't know if sonically this is uh, a, a tremendous change, but visually everything about this looks different. The, we're just past the magic hour, right? Lighting-wise, but I actually kind of prefer this lighting. Yeah, this is. Uh, this is like. Uh, this is like. The, what's the name of this? Uh, uh, what do they call it? Uh, whatever it is, it's. Day for night. The light turns purple. Um, purple haze. Yeah, they call it purple haze. That's what, th that's what I was thinking of. Um, this, is it, ba this is back to like episode one when I carried around the mic the whole time. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you this, J.D. If in the next six hours, I don't think of what it was I was talking about. I should have written a note down. Well, what's funny I like about when this happens is that our listener viewers can they just turn it. back. And they, they know, know it. it, but we can't. Yeah. I even said I'm going to put a pin in this and come back to it. 
What I'm excited about is that this will be our first episode. Well, I'm going to jinx it now, but I was going to say without any major tech difficulties. <laughs> well, we were, we were saying, you're saying that on the way to buy batteries. Right. Who knows what could happen? Oh, no. Oh, what? Hold on to all this stuff. Okay, JD got a phone call, so I got to hold everything. I'm being double mic'd. I'm in both channels. Um, okay, I'm going to step away from JD because he's got to talk business. Uh, and... Uh, JD's stepping significantly ahead of me on the street. Um, oh, God. I had, on my mother's side, there's Alzheimer's. And I'm not trying to uh, trivialize anything. I'm just saying that memory issues to me, even though I don't think, I think I'm still too young to probably have any early indications of that, but Memory things frighten me because I have a fear that as an old man, anything where you kind of lose yourself mentally is terrifying to me. And both of my, my mom's parents uh, died of Alzheimer's. Her sister did. And, uh, or, or had. She didn't necessarily die from it, but she suffered from it later in life. And it's a rough thing on everybody. Like, it's rough on you in the early stages when you kind of have an awareness that it's happening to you. And then you lose yourself. And then it's you're the more moment to moment. Uh, but it's also incredibly hard for the people around you because I think there's a feeling that you're gone. That even though you're still here, you're gone. It's kind of a walking death. And there's also, like... There's a way that an old person becomes the opposite of a baby. I mean, the, all the things that are celebrated in a baby are weirdly, weirdly not. People have a different approach to dealing with old people. I, I do wish that, uh, that, like, babies have all these, like, people don't think twice about making a... If you can make a baby happy. Like, if you can sing a song to a baby and the baby likes it. Nobody nobody says, oh, well, that baby won't remember it. There's no point. But they, people do have that attitude towards old people where it's kind of like, well, they don't know me. They don't recognize me or they won't remember this. And so people will deny older people who are at the end of their life who maybe don't have their faculties together they won't they won't necessarily attract the same kind of nice gestures that people willingly bestow on a infant uh you know little comforts little things to make the moment a little better to make the the immediate present moment happier more enjoyable uh it always kind of gets me. Always bothers me. Uh, right now, I'm walking around JD's neighborhood. It's a little bit bustling. He's on his phone, probably about ten paces in front of me. I'm holding the microphone. I also have the lab mic, and I'm just doing what I can. You know, just trying to keep going. This this episode is far more of an endurance test for me. JD feels bad because he's having to work a lot today. 
I feel like maybe I'm a little boring today. Maybe a lot of the things I'm saying are not uh, of interest to anyone. I don't know if maybe anyone's interested in the things that I was saying about Twin Peaks before. Um, or The Simpsons. But uh, this is just the sound of me putting my best foot forward, trying to... Uh, okay, I'm going to describe uh, where I'm at right now. I'm passing a place called... Uh, oh, what's this? Oh, that's Subway. It's right next to a Carvel, which is a, an ice cream chain, for those of you who aren't familiar. Oh, it was a, car, a joint Carvel and Subway right next to the Rite Aid. I don't know where JD's going exactly to buy these batteries. I'm not sure. Uh... There's a Rite Aid pharmacy. That's what we're passing. And then there's a regular Rite Aid right next to Key Food. We're at 32nd Street and 30th Avenue in Queens. Right here, there's a place called Burger Club. Kind of wish JD had told me about Burger Club before because I like the sound of it. Looks like a pretty nice little restaurant. Ooh, Burger Club looks fancy. It says, join us for brunch on weekends. They serve wine and draft beers. I'm not interested in that, but Burger Club, come and try our California burger, braised short rib fries, turkey burger, buffalo wings, Greek tomato salad, misspelled tomato, salmon burger. Is that an alternate spelling of tomato? I don't know. Farmer's Market Panini? I don't know. Okay. JD's way ahead of me now. He's off on a tear right near the New York Bakery Cafe. This is a nice neighborhood that JD lives in. It's very active, very bustly. I can imagine living around here. Maybe I should look into it. I don't know. Nah, I'm fine where I'm at. I like it. Um, yeah. I do like the hustle and bustle around here, though. It's pretty good. Uh, 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 boy, oh boy, oh boy. Let me look and see if there's a topic that hasn't been addressed from Twitter. Just give people some of the answers to some of the questions that they were looking for. Do-de-do-de-do. Uh, okay, I'm going to go to Twitter. See what people are saying. Yeah. Uh, Okay, we've already talked about JD's depression over Utopia getting canceled. Uh, any car games I can play while I'm driving long distances? Removing. Uh, I'll tell you a game that you can maybe translate into a game of your own choosing. This is a game that uh, one time in London, or in England, uh, Jeff Falzone and I, my friend Jeff Falzone, he had come to visit me in England... And we took a train ride from Liverpool to London. And the train stopped. Some technical problem, some technical delay. And we were stuck in the train for hours. And it was very boring. But at the same time, it wasn't that boring because we were hanging around each other and having fun. But it didn't ruin our London trip. We barely had any time to explore London together. And we played a game. We're both... Jeff is the person who got me into Elvis Costello when I was uh, uh, in high school. And so we would both know every Elvis Costello song, basically. And we started playing a game where we would talk about Elvis Costello songs 
and albums and we would say like which songs would be friends with each other uh, and we would describe the nature of their relationship like to give an example uh, we would say that like the song Every Day I Write the Book which was kind of like an early 80s hit pop single was friends with The Only Flame in Town but we would describe the friendship dynamic that like The Only Flame in Town was a follow up like the next like he had a hit single with Every Day I Write the Book and it was kind of poppy and commercial and 80s and then a year later he came out with The Only Flame in Town which was an even more kind of transparent grab at a certain kind of he was clearly trying to do the same kind of hit single so we would say like that they're friends but that The Only Flame in Town kind of was the one sort of pushing the friendship like the friendship meant more to The Only Flame in Town than it did to Every Day I Write the Book and uh so we would talk about which albums didn't want to have... Like, if if all of his songs and albums were at a party, like, who would be hanging out with who? What so- what songs would want to hang out? So it's kind of like just a signing person. So you can do that with anything. You can do that with... If there's a certain uh, actor that you like uh, comparing their characters or if there's another uh, songwriter or band or something that you like their work to so just try to assign personalities to those things and decide who would be friends with whom, who would be enemies, who would be whatever. I don't know that's a very fun game. Uh, you could also do it, incorporate it with things you see at the side of the road, like you'd see maybe two billboards and talk about what is their relationship to each other. Like, are they friends? Or does one of them feel like, oh, this other billboard moved in and it gets all the attention and no one pays attention to me? I hope that answered that. Uh, three minutes fast uh, on, on Twitter says thoughts on new shows of fall 2014. I, as far as new shows go, I'm trying to think if there's anything new that I that I watch. I just, I have a tendency to not necessarily watch brand new shows. A lot of the time, I think it's because I've been burned so often with new shows getting canceled really quickly. I tend to not be an early adopter uh, of TV shows because I don't want to watch and get really hooked and have, find out a month later that they cancel it and there's no point. Um, also, I, I tend to be ca- always catching up a little bit. Like, uh, I think HBO shows I tend to watch from the beginning for some reason. Like, I watched The Leftovers from the beginning. That's one of my favorite things this year. A lot of people don't like The Leftovers. I love The Leftovers. I think it's great. Um, I think The Leftovers has everything that I liked about the TV show Lost, minus the things I didn't like about the TV show Lost. I think one of the things that's great about it is that the power of the show is in the questions and the not knowing. It's not a show that you need to know the answers in order for it to be satisfying. Like, if they never answer any of these questions, I think it would be just as powerful. Compared to Lost, which was great at raising questions, but often would uh, disappoint people whenever the answers would come and they would maybe not be what people... They would not be as satisfying as people were hoping for. I think some people are watching The Leftovers thinking that it's going to be Lost all over again and that they want answers. I don't... I don't think answers are necessary. I think that they've perfectly captured the the terror of existence 
is often rooted in us not knowing what's going on. And I think that's the story hook of The Leftovers is that a big thing happens that no one understands. And it's a way of kind of retelling the central question that we forget about our existence, which is that we don't know what's going on. Like, we don't know where we came from. We don't know what happens when we die. So to tell a second story, which is about a big chunk of the population, like 2% of the population disappeared and no one knows why and no one can detect a pattern. And as a result, it causes everyone to lose their shit, everyone to freak out. Um, it's a great way of, of, of adding an urgency to this central confusion of existence and telling it uh, as this kind of strange supernatural thriller. But it's not a mystery. I don't think it's... I don't think... I think they've been very upfront with the fact that they are not going to answer the question of why people disappeared on The Leftovers. So, I love that. I really... I love that that's what that is. So that's one show this year that I watched right off. It's not a new fall show, but it's a show you can catch up on that I really would urge people, watch... Watch the whole first season, I think. Like, I... Uh, I mean, if you hate it from the beginning, don't watch it. But if you're even kind of intrigued, stick with it. Because I think it's really great. Another show that I just watched recently that is new-ish, but I, I, it was another show that like I caught up with the whole show right after the whole season ended is uh, Garfunkel and Oates. Man, I really liked that show. I, re I hope it is going to come back for another season because I think they're really funny. Um... And, uh, I mean, the obvious comparison I think has been made, not that everything has to be compared to something else, but, but I only say it as a point of compliment, is uh, they've been compared a lot to Flight of the Concords because it's, you know, a duo and it's uh, music and comedy, comedy music. But I, the, the TV show Garfunkel and Oates, I've, I've, I've been slightly aware of them. They're, they're a name that I've always heard good things about and I would see occasional things online like little bits and pieces of stuff that were funny but I think they did a really great job with the first season of their show and I would I would recommend it to people who like things that are funny and good uh, seek out Garfunkel and Oates, uh, Garfunkel and Oates on IFC um, I watched it all in like a couple days because I, I watched one and I was like man I love it and I watched all the others immediately um and I don't know, like, I, I'm frequently unaware of what people are buzzing about. So I have no sense of how much buzz there is about that show. But I think, yeah, if you like Broad City, if you like, uh, um, if you like Flight of the Concords, um, if you like good things that are fun and comedy, uh, that is a good show. And I hope they do many more seasons. I hope they're around for a long time. Um, and, uh, what other show? I'm trying to think what other shows, but I, those are all the shows I can think of right now. Those are the two that are on my mind. Um, let me look. Oh, uh, taking down my Christmas decorations. We kind of talked about this. Will there be any put up in episode five or six? Hopefully I will put my decorations up between this episode and the next one. I hope to get everything up in the next few weeks. We're not recording from the display case at UCB. I still kind of hope that we'll be able to do that for our, our Christmas episode, which we're hoping... Oh, I know there's a big gap between these episodes, 
we're hoping that episode six will be recorded in December. And uh, we're hoping, because that will bring it up to six episodes in a year. So it makes it, makes it uh, bi-monthly. Here's the thing. That's an issue I have. And I don't know if I've talked about this before. But bi-monthly can mean both twice a month or every other month. And I think that's a major fuck-up in our language. I don't think it should be able to mean both. I think bi-monthly should be every other month. Uh, oh, oh, that's an ambulance. A um, couple of these questions. Uh, I'm going to skip because I want to talk about them. Uh, oh, someone wants to know if we could maybe have a foot race. I'm going to say no to that just because I've had leg issues over the years. And the idea, uh, JD is younger than me. He has long, lanky legs. And I have occasionally hurt my legs running. Uh, and I don't want to risk it. So I'm just going to say we won't have a foot race, but I would concede to JD that... Um, I'm going to talk about Twin Peaks some more. Uh, because I'm, as I go through these tweets, I'm noticing a lot of people uh, talking about Twin Peaks. Um, wanting to know about the new season of Twin Peaks. Um, I'll say this. Um, I've seen a lot of people making wishes about what they want the new season to be. And the only wish I have seems to have come true, which is that it's those two guys and Kyle McLaughlin working on it. Anything they do within that framework, I don't care how similar it is to the old one. I don't care how different. I just want to see where the, wh what they want to do with it. I've seen a lot of people who have very specific, like, demands or criteria for what they... Like, there are people like, it's got to be like this. We've got to find out this. We've got to find out this. I don't have any... Other than the involvement of uh, Lynch and Frost and Agent Cooper... I want to be surprised and I want them to do what they want and let the chips fall where they may. Um, I can't imagine what uh, will happen in this new season because it, the first two seasons, there's going to be that book that resolves a lot of open questions that maybe aren't uh, uh, the kind of questions that would fit into the new series. I just hope... I just like to see, like, what is their intriguing new... Uh, what is their intriguing new idea? Like, it feels to me like they've had enough time to think about this. I bet they have a spark of inspiration. I bet they have a feeling of... of it also, I also just feel like in a weird way... I feel like it's going to look really great. And as long... I guess my fourth demand of, the, of those three people, the, the fourth person who is the secret weapon of Twin Peaks is uh, composer Angelo Badalamenti. When I did... A, I did a rewatch on my Tumblr a couple of years. I guess... Was it last year? Jeez. Um, yeah, I think it was last year. I think it was 2013. I did... Uh, I watched the whole series again. And what I noticed was that even the weaker episodes are kind of saved by the music. Like, the underscoring is so good that even when the storylines get weak, uh, the music just sucks you in. Like, the music is the thing that keeps it consistent. So, 
I hope that they will use there's a there's a giant thing you can buy it online uh, that is called the Twin Peaks archive I think it's called and it is all of the music including a lot of unreleased music and demos it's all of the music that Angelo Badalamenti did for all of Twin Peaks and it's if you like that music it is well worth it because it is just a treasure trove of music uh, and sometimes it'll just be like 15 different versions of the theme but like one will be like with an oboe another one will be like a banjo one will be like the love theme from Twin Peaks but played on the flute uh, like a flute solo. Good stuff. Um, yeah. Uh, what else? Let me look at these tweets. I'm, I'm right now. I'm standing outside of the Rite Aid. I'm gonna go. In, you know what? I'm gonna go in. I'm gonna get some batteries on my own because uh, I'm gonna go get batteries and. Uh, I'm just on my own. JD's still out there. He's on the phone. Let me get some, like, four AA batteries. I'm inside the Rite Aid. And, oh God, where do you go to get batteries in a place? I don't know anymore. Sometimes I think it's one of those things that's, like, kept behind the counter, maybe? No, no, no. Maybe not. We got headphones here. Yeah. yeah. I don't know where I'm going. Alright, I see headphones, I see this, I see that. Some batteries. Greeting cards. Toys. Medicine. Um, shoes. Uh, uh, uh. No, I don't know. I guess I'll just go ask at the front. I don't see anything apparent here. Oh no, here it's tons of batteries. Uh, yeah, let me see. How many batteries do I need to get? And I'm just deciding how many I want to get. Alright, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get these. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm gonna get all these batteries. And I'm now gonna go up to the checkout and pay for them. Hello, how are you? Uh, there was a thing on there for buy one, get the. I think I. Yeah, let me see if I have one. I thought I had one. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. Um, no thanks. I'm all right. Okay. That's a pretty good deal. I'm happy with that. All right. Thank you so much. You have a good day. Oops, oops, sorry. Uh, I'm now actually a little paranoid being polite because of that question earlier. I don't know if I was just too polite. I said, thank you very much and have a good day. Is that so polite that it's not polite anymore? Ask the people of Toronto. They know the answer. Uh, 
I'm gonna give the signal to JD that I bought batteries, but I don't want to distract him from his important business call. Um, uh, but yeah, I'll text you tonight. Uh, JD, oh, it sounds like JD's wrapping up his phone conversation because he's he's saying things like "I'll text you," etc. Those sound like wrapping up talks. At which point, JD will return to the podcast, and then I'm gonna put these batteries in and deal with it. All right, JD is back on the podcast. You get the... Yeah, I, I, there was a buy one get one free thing there, so oh, I got two great. things of the batteries. Um, Sorry, I was. That's okay. Where we gotta take your rent check? Uh, up the street. Let's change your batteries first. Yeah. I'm sure they're out. No. I, I bet it's out on this side. Oh. Okay, I'm gonna. No, no, you're still good. Wow, that's really impressive. I think we're we're we're. Oh, it now. just went out. Hilarious! It literally just went out. Um, I was just on the phone with Sadie from IFC. She had many good things to say about you, Connor. Oh, she says your series is hilarious. I'm allowed to talk about that, right? Or is that not allowed? What? That you have an IFC series. Oh, yeah. I've already talked about it a little bit when you were in your meeting. Because we have a show at, at the Beast next Monday, so I figure by the time this is out, that will be public. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm glad they glad they like it. Yeah. Um, she said yours was very funny. Cool. I was nervous about it. What's that one? Nothing. I just need your batteries back in before this one will stop making a awful noise. Keep talking. Talking it. There we talking go. Talking it. Okay. Uh, I was just saying. Uh, oh, now we have some more dead batteries for your dead battery graveyard in your apartment. Ooh, finally! I love those. Um, I was just saying. All right, let's do it. In my interaction in the uh, in Thank the right age. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, in the interaction. Oh, and actually, what I was just saying actually ties into what we just said to each other. Uh, I was polite, and I got a little paranoid about it because I was like, oh, is that so polite it's not polite? What's happening, JD? JD's lost the ability to walk for a second. Uh, no, there was a weird clicking sound. Click? There's it. Click, click. Test, 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 JD. Test, 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 Connor. Oh, no. Test, 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 JD. Test, 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 Connor. Yeah, we're good. Um, I was just polite to the person who write it, and as I was polite, I got a little self-conscious about it because I didn't know whether I was becoming a parody of politeness. <laughs> and then when I came out and <laughs> you that's you the, said, I, thank you for getting those batteries, I said, oh, you're welcome. And I was like, oh, is this the, is this the kind of stuff that's going to drive the Toronto listenership crazy? Because they're like... No, you know what? I, that, that bothers me about that thing. <laughs> it's just like... Just be let, let everyone be nice to each other. <laughs> like it's pleasant that I can say thank you for the batteries, and you go, oh no, no problem. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. I'm not like, wait, did he really mean that, or did he feel well, like he had to say that? You know, I think in both cases it probably speaks toward. I think there are. I think it's a really good thing that nice parents do, which is that they instill in their kids that like it's important that you say these things. Right. And. That you get into the habit of saying them 
so that it's second nature. Right. If someone does something for you, you thank them for it. If you want something, you say, please. Yeah. Uh, if someone thanks you for something, you say, oh, you're welcome. Or, you know, you say something like that. Um, I used to listen to uh, Charles Grodin used to do these podcasts that were, they weren't really podcasts. They were a thing he did for CBS radio. It was a CBS radio minute with Charles Grodin. Right. And they were weird because I'm a huge Charles Grodin fan. He's one of my favorite actors. If you ever see the the original movie of the heartbreak kid there's nothing better he's so good but he would do these radio minutes that were i downloaded a ton of them at the time that they were available and they were clearly a priority for him because he would talk about writing i'd write these radio minutes you know he'd talk about like uh i do these commentaries for cbs radio and and they would veer wildly from the nitpicks of an old man uh, to uh, very serious causes. Right. Like, he'd be like, I belong to a country club. They have a rule. No denim. (laughs) (laughs) And And he would go on for a minute about... Why no denim? I don't understand. What's the deal with denim? You know, right. basically just, and then the next time he would be talking about, I'm talking about the felony murder rule. Uh, which, and he would be talking about like this guy who's been locked in prison because while he was asleep, his friend borrowed his car and committed a right. crime. Right, right, right. And, and the guy whose car it was is in prison for life because of the felony murder rule. And so he'd be like... That's a wor- really worthy cause, but it's really weird that you didn't, you just never knew what you were going to get with Charles Gordon's podcast. Right. Because he'd be like, uh, I was at the post office. What's the other a shooting day. star and what's a comic? <laughs> yeah. yeah. He did one where he was talking about how uh, too many people were having conversations in the line at the post office, and he was like, Ladies, please, I'm here to mail a letter. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but, uh, I don't even know how I got on talking about this. I, 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 this is a big thing with me is I get on these tangents of talking about things and I don't know how I got to them. Right. Uh, oh, and one of the things that had to do with politeness and it was that he was talking about how uh, he doesn't like it when you say thank you to someone in a store and they say no problem. It really makes him angry because he's like, when I say thank you to someone and they say no problem. I didn't say there was a problem. I said, thank you. You're supposed to say you're welcome. <laughs> and I feel like I don't ever want to have that kind of react. Like, that's right. one of those markers that I look at that I'm like, you're being annoyed by something that you should just know that no problem is a new way of saying you're welcome. Right. It's the same intention. It's a good intention. Right. Don't get too annoyed. Don't let it make you angry because don't be frustrated you're actually it. dealing with the modern version of polite. Right. Um, I mean, I guess it would be weird if we get to a point where we get older and we say thank you to someone, they go, fuck you. Right. Uh, that we'd be like, that's rude. Uh, right. Are you going to personally hand this rent check? Yeah. Ugh, terrifying to me. Why? I just deal with a faceless management corporation. Is, it, is this your landlord, landlady? Yeah. Is she going to be on the podcast? Yeah. This is Paul, the landlady. Hi, Paula. I have my rent for you. This is my friend Connor. Hi. Walking with nice, me. To nice to meet you. I was came yesterday. I said, well, he's, you know how many, five days, after five days, I received the mail. Oh, really? Right. Because I sent it from Los Angeles. Uh, that, that's okay. 
I'm Press sorry about that. I was scared yesterday, but you was not there. Yeah, I'm sorry. I've been <laughs> working back and forth. Because the last two, I was in Los Angeles, and I had to uh, figure out how to get you the rent check. He's a wonderful guy. I'm in love with him. <laughs> too bad he's too, he's too old for me. <laughs> <laughs> Paula, come on. <laughs> You're getting fresh. <laughs> you know, you're a human. We meet. Right? Yes. Yeah. So, but he's special boy. J- JD is a special boy. Yeah, you're also too tall. Yeah, I think exactly. he's too tall. Yeah. And you're too short. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay, sweetie. Thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah. And so things are well with you? you? So far, no complaint. Good. The city floor. I've, I've heard about that. I've heard about that. You know why she refused to pay rent? Because I had tennis to the top floor. Yeah. She was there 10 months without pay. And my lawyer said, because he's a sticky guy, just get rid of him. Yeah. And she has the idea to do the same thing. Right. Mm. Yeah, but you know something? You do what you get. You, you do. I believe it's something stronger than us. Right. Yeah. You believe in that? Yeah. So you pay what you're doing. Yes. I was raised without mother, no mother, no father. And thanks God on the street. I, I, I look at her once, I was slept at the Haney house. Jeez. Compared with the stones, the Haney house was nice as well. Right. I said, oh, Haney house am I? And I became a nurse in Greece, and I bought my money, I was safe. Right. Because they have food and sleep there. Yeah. And I bought a house, I gave it to the street boys, two boys, 22 years. The boys will stay for free. And now the boys die. And the house came back to me because I did have, I had a papers to give it to his name, but it was no brain. Right. I said to my daughter, I have a special daughter. You know why it's special? Because I went to be born and I adopted her. Right. And you know, ah. go to Alaska. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. But I go once a year. So you go to Alaska once a year? Yeah. Once a year. Wow. I've been to Alaska one time. Fairbank, I'm going. Yeah? It's 13 hours inside to the fly. It's so long. far away. It's yeah. long. Yeah. yeah. And then the boys died and the house came back to me. And now the money... When I get it's in Greece, the house, I will give it to the poor yeah. because always right. you get what you do it. Exactly. Yeah. Me or the North, I can afford it, pay for the poor people. Yeah. So, That's in nice. life, I do believe, and this lady, the stinky lady, on the second floor, she want to do what the top floor did. It. Right. But, she will get it. Yeah. yeah. I do believe if what you do, you get it back. I think so. Yes. Do you believe in yes. something stronger than us? Something. Something's going on. Yeah. So nice to meet you both. Yeah. Yeah. Nice to meet Good you. Good to see you. Oh, sorry. So you have a good time? Yes, I did. And I'm back here, which I'm very happy about. So, Mom, you saw your mother? I haven't. Because I was in L.A. My family's in Chicago. Uh, yes. Chicago. I went a couple times. Right. Because sometimes the flight to go to Alaska, you, you have to do three flights. To yeah. You can't go straight. So I stopped in Chicago and I bought one electric brush. Huh. 
I was looking at Shakti Rao. Right. And his mother said, Oh, please accept my son. And if you do not pay the rent, I'm responsible. Right. Mommy said, Yeah. It's nice letter. Yeah. yeah. It's nice to be nice. Yes. yes. I agree. It's that, nice to be nice. And you know, one day you get a buck for a good doing. I think so. I, I hope so. Believe it. You do believe yeah. it. Yeah. Yes. Do what you think they have to do it. And you get a buck. Look, I. I asked for a house. And I got five houses. This house said the I go I bought to the river to school, internet to school, mm-hmm. to learn the language because my heart was not spoken Greek. Yeah. So Janice wanted to speak English. I said, English, you English, Eva? What I learned? So I put her to learn the language. Right. And then yeah. I learned the Greek language. And she wrote history of Greece. And the rich language, it is the Greek language I learned for my daughter. Hilarious. That's so great. Right. It all comes around. Yeah. Yes. That's yeah. What I said. Nice to meet the boss. I'm Dr. Nice. To no, no. No, no. It's great. It's great. It's nice to say something. Absolutely. It's Not to take the money and get out. No, so exactly. Yeah. Life is full of half a cup of The food needs the pepper salt. That's right. Make it more taste. Exactly. And all we've got is people, right? Nice. Good boy. Exactly. So don't wait. I will grow more. Okay. Sure. <laughs> yes. Well, when you grow up, then we can. Talk <laughs> exactly. Okay. exactly. Okay. Nice Have to meet you. Nice to meet Stay warm. Yeah, of course. Where are we walking to now, JD? Uh, we can walk back to my place. All right. We can loop around though. Uh, so that's that's Paula. See, I send my rent check off to a faceless management corporation, I would be terrified to meet them. Yeah. Uh, I think the two things we got out of that, which hopefully you might need to like pump up the volume a little bit on Paula. Yeah. Um, are, we, are we good? Yeah. Give me a test. Test, test, test. Test, test, test. Yeah. Um, well, I like that it all came around. And it, I heard, she had a quote that I don't know if you guys heard at one point, but she said, it's, it's nice, nice to, to be, be nice. nice. And she also said, it's nice to say something, which I feel like those are the two, uh, I feel like we translate those into Latin and uh, right. put those on the crest. Yeah, she had no idea, but she was. She was on game. Speaking directly to what we're talking about. She's a very nice woman, too. Yeah. And that's why whenever I tell anyone that I live in Astoria and how much I like it, I always reference, like for years, I gave my rent check like you to like a faceless corporation. Yeah. And it's so much nicer to give it to, for those of you who couldn't tell, Paula is, what, she's got to be like four foot 11. Yeah. 80 something years old, Greek woman, who always has a big smile on her face and always has something to say. Yeah. And literally, I, I always say this, and I don't think people believe me, but I'm like, when I deliver my rent check, my landlady literally, like, invites me in for tea, tells me that stuff, and literally pinches me in the cheek. And did she not yeah. literally pinch me on the cheek yeah. while we were sitting there talking? Well, it's weird, because I haven't thought about it in a while, but the instances where I have had a, an apartment where I've had a management company that I deal with are never as I mean the apartments themselves are fine 
but just in terms of my feeling when I pay rent. Right. Uh, also, like, when it's a management company, you know, the rent just goes up automatically. Like, there's right. sort of no dealing with them. Um, and... Uh, oh, we got the subway overhead. Yeah, we have a little subway overhead. Um, well, the thing that I like about my rent situation is that my rent has not gone up ever because, quote-unquote, um, she does not raise rent on good boys. Yeah. And, you know, I, I say that sort of jokingly, but, like... You're not a problem tenant. Right, and it speaks to a thing that I really think I really respect, which is if I'm happy, if they're happy... If everything's fine, then there's no reason to try to squeeze out. Any, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. if, we're all, if, if we're all able to make do as is, let's just continue doing that. Well, the apartment that I lived in before I moved to Woodside was uh, an apartment in a co-op building. Right. And there was an old lady who lived there who owned her own apartment in the co-op building, and she owned a second apartment that she rented out. Right. And the rent never went up. And eventually, I got to the point where uh, she wanted her son to move into the apartment. And I've been operating month to month with no uh, lease for a few years. Uh, and, you know, she gave me like a few months' notice for when I had to leave. So she was considerate about it. Right. And she had never raised the rent at all in the, in the several years that I lived there. Right. Um, when I lived in Liverpool, uh, the la- the last year that I was at the Liverpool Institute for Performing Arts, my landlady was this woman who, if you look in a, in a, any detailed biography of the Beatles, yes, yes, she will be referenced because uh, she was a woman named Beryl Williams. Okay, and her husband whose name I can't remember, but it was Williams was the surname. Um, He was the manager of the Beatles before Brian Epstein, and he's sort of famous as the man who let the Beatles get away. Uh, That he's kind of like one of those footnotes that it's like, oh, this guy blew it. He had the Beatles, and he let them slip away. Right. But she lived in this big old mansion. I was actually thinking of her earlier when you were talking about the the Orson Welles couch and all that stuff. Uh, She was renting a house and across the street from the house she had this little weird apartment that uh, could be rented to two people. had two bedrooms. And so I rented that with... uh, There was uh, another... There was a girl on the course who we were both looking for an apartment. So we said, oh, let's go in for this apartment. And... uh, the uh, when we went to her house to sign the lease, there was it was just like the house was just filled with weird junk everywhere. There was like pianos that had clearly been like rained on, right? <laughs> like, just like it, it Strange seemed like stuff, a waking yeah. nightmare almost. But she would talk about like, oh yeah, John Lennon played on that piano, etc. She was always like dropping names of people. She was a very nice lady. And then there was a point where. The girl that was renting the other room in the apartment, who was effectively like my uh, flatmate, she moved out early and kind of broke the lease. And it wasn't, uh, uh, 
she like decided to like leave early and she was like going to live with her boyfriend or something but it sort of left me in the lurch because right. I was still my name was still on the lease and I remember Beryl coming over and she was like oh I'm very disappointed in uh, Tracy that she did that but she wasn't going to penalize me for it she was like I'm not going to hold you accountable for the full rent right you still just have to pay like your half of the rent right and I just remember thinking like oh it's great to actually deal with a person who understands right. that like just because this other person bailed on the deal, it's unrealistic to assume that I would somehow have the money to afford the whole thing myself when I'm assuming. Right, or that you should in any way be responsible for that. Yeah. Yeah, no, and that's why, you know, Paula, she's a very interesting person. She sort of referenced it there. I'll try to boost her audio so you guys can hear it, but she, told, she briefly told Connor a little bit of her past. Yeah. But she was an orphan in Greece literally had no parents was like an orphan on the streets like straight up Greek orphan and then she became a nurse and then the first thing she did with her money is she bought a house for some other orphans that she like had to come up with or whatever or that she knew and gave them the house for free and then when they passed on they gave her the house and then she started renting that out and then, like, you know, sort of started making money from that and giving that money directly back to orphanages and stuff like that. Yeah. And she has the apartment that I live in, which is just four apartments, and she's very personally invested in all the people that live there, and she's very kind. I don't know. It's just, I just I like it a lot more. You know, like, she talks about my parents and how they're doing it. She tells me how her daughter's doing, who lives in Alaska. I don't know. It's a very pleasant experience. I'm glad you're. I'm glad that you got to meet her, because I yeah. I always tell that story of like, no, I love a story because I get this experience. Yeah. And you got to see firsthand. It's like, yeah. I walk my rent check to her, and we talk, and then you go about your day, and you're like, oh right, everyone, it's all people. Yeah. I liked her thing too, where she's like, you need the salt and pepper. Like, yeah. the, you know, people and talking and stories, that adds the spice to the everyday life. Yes. Which, that's exactly what the interaction that I have with her is. It's like, I could just be writing this check and giving it to a fucking robot mouth that accepts it and turns it, you know. Yeah. But it's much more interesting to give it to a person. Yeah. That was the first time she'd ever hit on me, though. That was a new bit. That was a, that was a new bit? Yeah. Do you ever hang out uh, in this park? Uh, no. In Athens Park. Athens Park? It's real close to where you live. Yeah. But kids play soccer all the time. They've actually, they, it had been under construction for the past seven months, I want to say. Oh, so it's kind of newly reopened? Yeah. And the, uh, the statue there was a gift from the mayor of Athens, Greece. Oh. To the people of the story. Very nice of him. Yeah. And now, Riley and Elena live just around the corner from me. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Like, you can almost see, we can almost see each other from our windows. 
That's the point. To the point that as we're walking, it's like, oh, we might run into Riley or Elena. You want to say hi to them? Oh, wait. Literally, there. Riley! That was such a bizarre coincidence. Is real? Literally, Riley. Hey, Riley. Riley, I was oh. just talking. I was like, oh, Riley and Elena. Like, it was so weird. Wow. I was like, Riley and Elena live just around the corner I from said, me. I said, do you think we can go say hi to them? Oh, and I said, I said, oh, I was half expecting to run into them on the street. And then literally I saw you walking right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Hi, guys. Hi, 12-hour day. I'm such a big... I, you know, I saw you guys... You were planning on recording today. Yeah. And I wanted to, you know, I wanted to say, hey, you think it would be all right if I dropped by or so? I didn't oh, want to course. push the issue. Oh, man. You could have pushed it. We're, we're friends, right? I know. I know we're friends. And neighbors. Yeah, we're neighbors now. I live in, or are we allowed to say? Yeah. Astoria, Queens. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. but I didn't want to, I thought you guys might have had a plan or something. No, well, actually, it probably would have been nice because I was working all morning. Yeah. You should have come over and talked with Connor. Oh, that might have been nice. Hey, uh, next time. Yeah. The only thing we're not allowed to say is where I work and that when right. Sal Gentile was... No, I know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I remember. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I, uh, JD, have you gotten mad over the sound issues yet? Uh, yes, I have. Yeah. Okay. I, I got upset right near the beginning because I can never tell if it sounds good or not. All right. As these are like, as if these are like the equivalent of like, oh, A drinking you game, su- yeah. Petrix? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's a long-running uh, bit. Yeah. I just delivered my rent check to my landlord, so Excellent. Connor got to yeah. meet my Astorian landlord, Paula. Yeah. Very cool. Now I was just talking about how excited I am that you guys live right around the corner. It's so nice. Yeah, yeah, you got to come over again. And Connor, you should come over too. Yeah. Yeah, That'd I came fun. over one night and Elena had cooked uh, a vegan meat lasagna. It was, or it, what was it? It was, it was turkey meat. It wasn't vegan, right. but it was gluten free. Gluten free yes. turkey lasagna. That's Midwestern vegan. Yeah. The noodles were brown rice noodles. Pretty good. It was really good. Where were you headed whenever you, we came across you just now? I'm going to go eat a cheeseburger, then I'm going to go to my Herald team practice. Where are you eating your cheeseburger? Probably going to go to Five Guys on 34th. Okay. Pretty good. I mean, you know, I uh, can't complain about their burgers. I think, no. I think they do things pretty good in terms of like, ethics to their employees and uh, the freshness of their ingredients. Have you had any Astoria burgers? Have you had uh, no. Burger Club? No. Or Petey's? I, I, I talked about Burger Club I when had, we oh, you know what? I, I have had Petey's. I don't know what people in Astoria are thinking. I think it fucking sucks. I'm not a... Petey's is good for when you're like, you're like I need a burger. You don't want to wait more no, than like two minutes for it? Not even, because we waited so long on a Friday night. Oh, the really? place was empty on a Friday night so I knew something was up if nobody's there on a Friday night and then the fucking painting on the wall of this kid with a skateboard and his hand is all fucked up yeah it's pretty whack yeah and then uh, I got the burger and I was like okay this will be just a burger like you know it was the saltiest fucking I, I, could, I could barely eat the thing. Riley you need a little bit Weird. of salt and pepper they're the spice of life they make your food taste good that was the advice that my landlord just spoke to us about it's good advice it's just that i mean too too much salt on this on this pack. I'm, i'll tell you this crave? i'm never going to Petey's. no connor wouldn't like Petey's. have you ever gone to crave i haven't been to crave yet i've been to some other like meat place that was really good i can't remember the name of it i uh, get takeout from crave and go to pita hot oh yeah i've been to pita hot got a great falafel there that's my jam he, uh, he hand makes all this stuff they're awesome he says they're the best falafel in new york city <laughs> i was eating at pita hot and their uh, the the uh, the boss's uh, little adorable child, maybe four yeah. or five years old, got his head caught in the door, <laughs> and uh, he had to run out and open the door. 
for it. Yeah, I mean, it was it was uh, it was funny, but also sad. I uh, he's fine. The kid's fine. Yeah, it's like a family business, and like the kid will be around sometimes. <laughs> he got it. Like he got his head caught in the door. One day, one day the son came and he just had a camera and he was just taking photos unasked of everyone that was eating there. <laughs> and his dad was like, what are you doing? Stop it. Stop it. And he's like, I'm taking photos of all the people eating here. It's, <laughs> like, it's everyone was fine with it, but it was one of those things where it was like sort of a bizarre thing to have a kid walk up and take a photo of you but, and on to the next person. Yeah, that's the perfect yeah. way to do it if you're yeah. going to be a restaurant owner. I will say if anyone, if either of you or anyone listening is ever in Woodside and you don't know what to do for burgers, you have three good options as I see it. There's the Stop In, which has a pretty good burger. Okay. Uh, there's Ottomanelli and Sons, which uh, Ottomanelli is the is the butcher shop. It's like a family-owned butcher shop, but they also open a burger place. They have good burgers, good fries, not great service, I will say. <laughs> uh, that's a Woodside thing to me. Really? What? Woodside is full of rude people. Well, you, that's your seven train thing, but you don't like that whole train line. I think that whole line is full of jerks. You haven't spent a lot of time. Have to go. I think I do have to go if I want to get a burger in time for yeah, practice. All right. Uh, I'm glad I ran into you guys. Such a hilarious question. Yeah. Good to see you, Riley. Good to see you too. And uh, enjoy the rest. Do you want anyone to tweet anything out? Tweet anything out? Uh, Robot Riley on Twitter. Yeah, Robot Riley on Twitter. That's fun. Uh, Tweet at Burger Time. No, no. Tweet at Robot Riley. Burger Time. Burger Time. Hashtag Hold the Salt. Hold the salt. Yeah, there you go. There you go, baby. I got enough salt in my diet. I had a bag of Takis yesterday. (laughs) You guys ever eat Takis? They're like Doritos, but like they're little rolled. tacos. They're like little taquitos, and they they taste like hot sauce, but they're so hot, so salty. I can only eat a few. I feel like I would hate that. Ooh man, they're they're terrible, but great. Okay. Um, what time's your what time's your practice? Seven. Seven till when? Ten. All right. You gotta go. Have a good I one. Go. Yeah. Have good a good to see one. See you, Riley. <laughs> Excuse me. All right. Bye, Bye Riley. See you, Riley. Um. And the third place. Well, no, like Ottomanelli's like that. Really fun and Sons, like the burger place. Uh, it's not that they're rude; it's that they just seem to take way longer than they should for what it is. Right. Um, and to the point where it's like, I would go there every like it's infrequent that I will ever get a burger, but I've tended to get them from Stop In rather than from Ottomanelli. Uh, because simply because I'm like, Ugh, I don't have time to deal with the possible wait for delays. Forty five minutes, yeah. Um, then there's a, the the an older place which is just an Irish pub there called Donovan's. Uh, that's great. But that's more of like going sit down, have a like, they have like a nice fireplace. It has like a real nice feeling to it. Right. There are other Irish bars in the Woodside neighborhood that I've been told like there's one in particular that is right in the center of everything that I've been told like. Not that I go to bars, but like, don't go in there. Like, as if it's like the, 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 there's one that I've been told, like, this one you can go into and they'll be happy that you've come in as a right. person on the street. And there's another one that's like, don't go in there. They'll, they'll, they'll be upset that you've gone in right. and they'll, and they're, they're like dangerous people. Oh man. Like a, like the, the dangerous side of like Irish gangs sort of. Wait. Was that the one that we went to? No. No. Where did we go to? We went... It was you, me, Gethard, and, like, George Harriman. Or, no, Tom Levin, maybe. No, that's Woodside Cafe. That's just right. a normal cafe. No, 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 no. No, no, no. It wasn't Woodside. It was a bar. It was an Irish. Oh, the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah. No, that one's fine. No, it's near there, though. It's, like, right... Just, like, that's at the top of the T. Right. Sort of. Uh, 
if you're heading down towards the subway, there's a bar that's right there in the center of it all that I've been told, like, that's like a rough bar. Okay. Uh, that stuff sort of excites me. I would never go in it, but I like that it exists. I always feel weird when I walk past it late at night because I always think, like, yep. I'm always intrigued by the idea that, like, if it's rough just right inside there, what's to stop that roughness? What keeps that roughness from spilling out onto the people who walk past it? Right. I'm always fascinated, like, um, in St. Louis, um, well, I guess this is, a, this is a big thing that we can talk about a little, yeah. uh, is that since, since our last thing, all of Ferguson happened. That's a huge thing that's happened in the, in the time in Wait, between. Wait, that happened since? Oh, yeah, it happened in early August. Oh, I guess so. Well, the thing... Here, I'm going to change where my mic is. Just get in here. After use. Um, yeah, um, well, I'll give a little update on my dad. That's weird. I, just, oh, I accidentally gaslighted the audience again. What did you do? I opened the door, walked in, and went, after you? So to them, it sounded like I let you in first, but I had just walked in first. Always gaslighting the audience. I'm going to put these batteries into JD's battery crypt. Oh, yeah. Thank you. That's my donation. Um, so in July, uh, my dad had his bone marrow stem cell transplant, which he just had his 100-day... Um, he just had his 100-day checkup which is was mostly positive uh from what uh, they're still going to be getting some details back in the next few days i think um but i guess the bad news is that there's still some remnant of the cancer uh it's not completely obliterated but it is severely reduced like what was like at like 93% or something is now at like 11%. Oh, so it's a, to my mind, not understanding the way things work, that seems like, oh, that's good. That's a lot better. Right. Um, but they would have liked to be completely gone. They would have been like at zero or 1%. Right. Um, but that's still better than still, still good. Yeah. Um, but so he had this, uh, transplant in July. I went to visit, um, and, uh, he was in a very weakened state. It, you know, he was basically was in a hospital for like a month, right? which when you're in, in isolation basically, and it was fascinating to watch, like when I got there, um, it was a few days after he'd had the procedure and he was like, at that point, he had like uh, he was tied to uh, an IV. Like they had him on a drip. So if he wanted to get up and go to the bathroom, he had to walk with like the the IV pole um, was hooked up to him. And he's like, oh, I just want to get rid. Of, I just want to not be hooked up to this thing. You know, like all he wanted was to not be hooked up to this thing. And I was like, well, Dad, I mean, that's still like a lot better than. You got to think back to when you had the catheter, and that was a lot worse. Right. And he's like, yeah, yeah, you're right. And I, I do feel like my dad always, and I feel like I'm like that too, where like, I'll be like, oh, I'm having the worst day. And it's still like, oh, it's still a lot better than when I, you know, when I felt sick or when I, you know, like it's sometimes you need someone else to remind you that like, you're not in your worst case scenario because we, right. we tend to treat 
are, are, it's human nature to kind of treat every bad thing that's happening as if like, oh, this is the worst because you're in it at that moment. Uh, a victory just happened for JD. Yes, what was another it? victory. Dude, can you say what it is? Uh, I just got a script in and it was much shorter than the script that was out there before. So that means less money production. Yeah, it just all, it's all working out. All, all those savings are going to go spilling into those other categories on it's that list. It's just all working out. Things are happening that are great. Um, God, Connor, today's been a good day. <laughs> I, it makes me nervous the more victories we have because it feels like they set up, like those things exist in narratives often to set up like the... Uh, yeah, I guess, but I choose to... Choose life. Choose to like them as they happen. Um, so, um... The, uh, no, so I was like reminding my dad that it was better, you know, being hooked up to the IV than it was when we had the catheter in. And then they got the IV out, so he didn't have to walk around with that anymore. And then he was like, well, I just want to get out of this, uh, hotel room. Like, I'm just tired of being cooped up in the, I mean, in this hospital room. And that's all he wanted was just like, oh, I just want to get out of this hospital because my mom and I were staying. There's a hotel that is attached to Barnes Hospital in uh, St. Louis. And so all he wanted then was like, I just want to get out. I was like, well, you know, at least you're not hooked up to the IV anymore. He's like, yeah, yeah, you're right. That is better. But that was all he wanted. And then I remember the day that we moved him from the hospital over to the hotel and there was probably, I said to my mom, I said, you know, he's going to, he's going to like, be happy with this for n- most of one full day. And then he's going to realize that the hotel room is just another prison, basically. Right. Um, and... It, it happened exactly on that timetable, which was he was in, we were in the hotel room and he very, very quickly realized like, oh, this is bigger and nicer and more comfortable than the hospital, but I'm still stuck here. Basically, I'm still not at home. Uh, and he got, he started, and then they were in the, the hotel for like a week or a week and a half. And he just got so stir crazy there. And I think I left to come back to New York. And it was that weekend that Michael Brown got killed by the police and that the riots started happening. And it felt very weird because Ferguson, I, I feel like, like everybody knows Ferguson, Ferguson, Ferguson. Right. And... This may be me being slightly paranoid, but I do believe that some savvy person real in St. Louis real quickly got out in front of it being referred to as St. Louis primarily right? to make sure that people were referring to it as Ferguson, almost like cordoning off like it's not a St. Louis problem. It's a right. Ferguson problem. Ferguson's on the outskirts of St. Louis. But the thing is, St. Louis is made up of outskirts, right? Like Downtown St. Louis is the Archbush Stadium and some banking offices. Right. Most of St. Louis is sprawl. So the fact that Ferguson is its own county with its own whatever makes it no different than Clayton or any other area of right. St. Louis to me that 
the people who are there, they might think of it as Ferguson, but they also think we live in St. Louis. Right. And I feel like the second things started going bad in Ferguson, somebody there was like, let's make sure this gets referred to as Ferguson and not as St. Louis. There's a part of me that feels like it might not have been St. Louis. It might have been someone from Ferguson that... Could have been. Like, I feel like it was almost like the community of Ferguson was like, this is not... We want to know. This is us. I'm more paranoid in the sense that I feel like it was almost like the Chamber of Commerce was like, make sure that this is thought of as a Ferguson problem. Right. Not a St. Louis Interesting. problem. Because... St. Louis. That could be true. Well, the reason I think of that is because a couple of years ago, I read an article about how St. Louis for years, maybe even decades, has been trying to get one of the major uh, political conventions to happen in St. Louis, like the Democratic National Convention or the Republican National Convention. And neither party wants to have the convention in St. Louis because they don't want to go to St. Louis. Neither of the parties wants to spend their week in St. Louis. Right. And they'd rather spend it in San Francisco or, you know, wherever else, Atlanta, you know, they want to go someplace else. They don't want to go to St. Louis. And St. Louis has actively been like trying to make it happen because they think it'll be. There's also a misconception about there's some disagreement as to whether or not it's a good thing to have a political like what people are like, oh, it creates jobs. It brings in money. And other people are like, no, it costs money. It costs this. It creates congestion. It does this. Right. But. It felt very weird to be leaving my parents in St. Louis um, when they weren't really that far from Ferguson. I mean, they weren't close. It wasn't close, but there is that weird thing of like, oh, there's this chaos happening that could spread. Right. Where's the line? And I'm always a little bit fascinated by like when you're in a place and they're like, oh, don't go two blocks over because it's dangerous two blocks away. Right. And I'm always like. That is, you know, of bad areas in New York, that is sort of how it works. Yeah. I'm fascinated that that's how it works because my feeling is if I was a troublemaker, how would I know to stay on my street? Yeah, I think it's more... If I Like if I was inclined to mug someone... But see, that's the thing is that I think that's a, the false premise. I don't think, Probably is. I don't think there's troublemakers. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't think it's that it's people that are troublemakers. I think it's when people see someone that's not supposed to be in their area. Yeah. And then they get protective of themselves and they start causing trouble and then it escalates. Yeah. Like I've never been mugged. Uh-huh. But I think it's because... You're so tall. I think that's a part of it. But I also... A situation never escalates around me. Yeah, I think there's a reason why Dave Bloodbend has been mugged more than you. Right, exactly. Like if someone says something fucking nuts to me, mm-hmm. I think I'm very good at just disengaging and continuing walking. Yeah, to the point that like I don't even get people like shouting at me or saying shit to me. And like you know, I I spend a lot of time smile, in JD. You got a beautiful smile. But like if someone says something crazy, like there's people that will be like, <laughs> like make a face like that, and then people, it just creates this emotional. Yeah. This is a thing that yeah. happens. Whereas I think I just like let it. I don't know. Yeah. I don't think it's. A, I'm not saying it's like a super. I'm just saying like. I, don't, I think there's very few people in the world that truly want to fight. Yeah. I think most people would rather just be hanging out with their friends talking. Yeah. And only when you put them at risk for embarrassment or pride or anything, then mm. does it become an issue? Yeah. 
Yeah, but I guess it does disregard people that are like mugged outright. Like, yeah, I'm trying. Like your situation where you were mugged, it's not like you were you escalated anything. No, but I was in the wrong part of town. Right. Like I, the area I was in is most famous for the Toxteth riots. Right. I was going to visit two friends who lived in that neighborhood, and I'd never been in the neighborhood before. And they asked me what time it was, and I told them, and they instantly recognized my accent, and then it escalated to that. Right. Mm. But <clears throat> um, yeah, but it is just ama- it is amazing how like there are boundaries right that seem almost supernatural in the way that they're well, like for example, this apartment here uh-huh. is not too far for some pretty bad projects, mm-hmm. not awful, but projects, yeah, there's one project that's like not great, and there's one that's v- pretty pretty bad like pretty notoriously bad mm-hmm. um and i've never had a problem anywhere around here uh-huh. and i also uh, i was dating someone once that lived closer to the projects here in astoria mm-hmm. literally there's like a street where if you turn down that street it just leads to the project yeah and she lived like one block over from that street but literally it was not there's never a problem because it was just like yep that street no one goes down that street you know what uh-huh. i mean like no one yeah there's not crossover there. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's something that exists. Um, key, what time is our show? Um, our show is, is around 9.30 when we're up. We're uh, where is the show? I'll find that out now. Because Haskell's willing to give us his love. Because um, I, I think it would be less fun to perform with a microphone. I don't think we're going to be performing. We're just going to get up on stage and talk. I thought we were doing an improv set. No, we're doing a 12-hour day uh, live set. Right, but I thought we were doing improv. I thought the idea is that we do an improv set. And it just is a part of 12-hour day. Well, we can do whatever we want. How long is the time? Uh, like 12, 12 minutes. minutes. Um, I thought it was going to be like how when podcasts do a live show, but we just do a live segment because our show is 12 hours long. Oh, I think it would be fun to do improv. Um, I'm open to do anything, but my imagination was, was come see a live taping of 12 minutes of 12 hour a day. That can't be how, let's see. Is there Facebooking of it? Yeah. Um, I don't think they're expecting an improv show from us. Really? I think they're, uh, what's the show called? First crush presents. Will you go out with us? It says, um, it's a variety of comedic endeavors, and it features, like, we're listed as 12-hour-day podcast, so we could do anything we wanted. What should we do? I think part of that should be dictated by what happens when we get there. I think we could talk to people in the audience. I think we can... Are we the closer? No. First Crush is the closer, like the... But we're like the... We're like the... Of, penultimate act right exactly um, I think we should treat it like we're this American life or something we're there and we should make the segment out we should involve the people who are there um, but we should just create a segment based on what happens there I think it'd be some, I think it'd be fun to do something performative because I think mm-hmm. it'd be funny for a listener to hear us go from being us right before the thing yeah to performing to afterwards <clears throat> dissecting how it went all right 
Um, let's do that. But also, I think... just I haven't done improv in a long time. Okay. Wouldn't have been improv though, but I think I think it would be less fun just to do twelve hour day in front of people, just to talk like this in front of people. Yeah, uh, I think regardless, um, we'll do something that incorporates the audience that's there. Yeah, I it agree. won't just be that we get up and keep talking about what we've been talking about. Right. Um, but I, I think we should talk to someone who's there. If we do an improv thing, I think we should interview. At least one person in the audience. Bring them up. Talk to them. Uh, figure it out on the fly, I guess. Yeah. Um, the uh, so you're gonna get a laugh from Keith. Oh, I gotta find out where it's at. Sorry. Yeah. Um, Wait, I can look right here too. Mm-mm-mm. It is at Twenty Five Avenue A. Where's that? I don't know. What? What is this place? Um, is this in some sort of new venue? We can make this a blind item also, but did you witness at all the... Uh, there was a public... Uh, tar and feathering of a certain member of the UCB community online like months ago it was like a Facebook explosion that I witnessed only when Phil Jackson alerted me to it um tell me something else I may have there was um a person who a bunch of people publicly just started like having issues with and people came out of the woodwork and it became a huge thing about that person it was bizarre to see. I'm only re- thinking about this because I'm looking at the Facebook. Um. Oh yeah, yeah. I didn't really know what. I don't really yeah. know that person. I didn't really know what. Um, yeah. What the deal was? I just thought it was a very strange. It was a strange thing to witness people uniting on that yeah okay so 25 avenue a is near st mark's bookshop or i guess the new st mark's bookshop um i guess st mark's you you should tweet from uh the 12 hour day account that the show's happening tonight uh i thought i had but maybe i'll do it oh did you Maybe, um, maybe maybe you did. I'll look. Okay, so I guess the nearest subway is the Second Avenue. Oh yeah, su- subway station. You did tweet about it. Um. So it's near the Beast. Yes. Okay. Um, JD's typing. Um, I think we should also ask, maybe just ask the audience what they want tonight. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, that'd be good. Like, offer them up some just, options? or, or No, like, just say, 
What do you guys want we from us? We have to us? perform tonight. What do you want us to do? You'll be hearing it on the podcast. Yeah. And or seeing it live. Yeah. Um, Keith asked if we want to meet in his hood to get his lob, or if he wants. Wait, in Williamsburg? Where does he live? No, he lives deeper in Brooklyn. Deeper in Brooklyn? Yeah. Um, won't that take a long time for us to get to Brooklyn and then get all the way back to the beast? Yeah. Um, and we can, I guess, right? <laughs> yeah, we don't have to, though. He said, want to meet me in my hood or do you not have time? Pretty close to the F. Um... What do you want to do? I want to do whatever is easiest for you. I told him I was worried our batteries wouldn't last that long in the subway. That's a good one. A little white lie to you listeners. I'll out there. do it. Uh, oh, you got to watch. I want. I want you to see uh, some of my childhood movies. I would like to. I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna try to put together my uh, VHS here. I have them digitized, but it's more fun to watch them direct off the VHS, right? I guess so. Connor, what do you mean? Connor, you're so involved in your iPad. Well, I, you know, what I'm honestly trying to do is I'm really just desperately trying to um, remember that thing that I was talking about earlier. It really bothers me that I can't remember it. Um, it was. No, I don't know. I'm trying to look at things to spark my memory. Yeah. Hoping it relates to something. Um... We're meeting Keith at 9 p.m. at the 2nd Avenue F train. Gotcha. That's great. Oh, no. I owe Keith asking rechargeable batteries. 
Oh no, because we lost them. Twelve hour day, one episode. Um. Keith is going to give us his disposable batteries. His disposable batteries? Yeah. We lost them once, and I still owe him, too. I uh -huh. should buy those. Um, what was I going to say? I had something really important to say. Uh, this, um, this memory thing is killing me. It's just killing me. Gee. You gotta let it go. I, no, because I was in the middle of like a specific thing where I was like, I don't want to keep talking about this without you in the room to wait. Have the stop! 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 I almost have it. Um. It was. If I make this poll, that'll be amazing. Oh, man. What was it? I remember going, wait. Can you hold on one second? I have to take this phone call. Yeah. You said. Well, I'll just put a pin in that because I, I want you pen. to be able to react. I lost the pin. There was something that happened to you. What happened to me? It wasn't about your job. Thanks, sir. Did it have something to do with the Beatles albums? I don't think so. Dang. Was it about America's Next Top Final Boys in the House? How's the theme song go? Better, better. Boys in the House. No. Um. What's a big thing that people are talking about? Maybe what's a what's a big topic that was happening? It's a big trending topic. It's a big old trending topic, JD. Not the Chuck Jones exhibit. No. It was something to do with. Something I don't know. Well, us sitting here remember, trying to remember something that we we're going to talk about is probably not productive. 
I hate that most people listening to it know what it is. It's f- infuriating. I mean, worst case scenario, I'll have to just listen to the podcast and then episode six. But you know what's crazy is that the people listening to things right now yeah. know stuff about our future we don't know about. No. Like right now, you listening to this, you can think of something that you know about what what we've done in your world right now within yeah. the week that we don't know about. Yeah, it's possible that you, the listener, know more about us than we, the participants, do right now. It's true. You know things we can't possibly know. Look at that tweet that I just tweeted. You just tweeted Favorite a tweet? it. No, I'm telling t- listener. Favorite it. I don't know what it was, but favorite it. Is there a way that we can tell them to do something? No, there isn't. I was trying to create a time loop. Oh, do something that will happen now? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not how time works. I realized as I was saying that there's no way to take advantage of it from this end. We're, we're helpless. Well, I mean, there's always a thing where it's... Even an alarm going off. Or it's just getting either a text or whatever. Oh. Um, I mean, there's always a thing of, like, we can make a pact right now that if time travel happens, we'll time travel someone back outside that window right now that's dressed like a scary clown. No, I would time travel back and tell me what I was talking about. A scary clown to knock on the window right now and tell you what you're talking about. Okay, if anyone ever invents time travel and listens to this, send a scary clown back to that window to knock on the door, knock on the window, and tell Connor what he was thinking about. In three, two, one. Tell him what time it is. Now. Oh. 6.32 p.m. on Monday, November 3rd. I'll redo the countdown. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Time travel is never, never invented. You were talking about... Yeah. never. It was either never invented or we aren't famous enough for that to have any impact on anyone. <laughs> so let's hope time travel is never invented. Um, do you think that the Team Zimmerman people, the people who were all like, I'm on Team George Zimmerman after he killed Trayvon Martin, do you think that those people, all of them made the jump to I am Darren Wilson, the cop who shot Michael Brown in St. Louis? I don't know. Uh... Or were there people on Team Zimmerman that were like, I'm not on board with this? I have no idea. I don't know. I just don't think it's that. I think I think most of those dumb opinions are reactionary. I'm just weird. I don't think it's that they actually believe that. I think it's that they just see everyone else thinking another way, and it makes them mad. To me, what's shocking is that in both cases... One guy, both are cases where one guy has a gun, shoots to death someone who doesn't have a gun. Right. And immediately there are people jumping to all kinds of like, well, Trevor Martin was like being aggressive. Michael Brown was being aggressive. So we shot him a bunch of times. 
in both cases, like all the people who were Team Zimmerman, you can't find a hashtag Team Zimmerman since the verdict, basically, since he got uh, cleared, basically. Those Team Zimmerman has very quietly abandoned him every time he has caused an embarrassing situation since then. Every time he's threatened someone, every time he's caused a disturbance. Like, he's been nothing but a nightmare. Right. Ever since. Like, all the people are like, this guy's a nightmare. And all the people who are supporting him have been very quiet. There's been nobody saying, like, no, no. When, recently, when he, like, threatened this person or threatened that person. Right. Um, no one. Yeah, exactly. He's quickly proved himself to be the embarrassment that most reasonable people knew he was from the beginning. Right. You're talking about Zimmerman, right? Zimmerman. Yeah. And I'm amazed with Darren Wilson that, like, someone who, are you hooking up to show me old movies? Yeah, unless we just want to talk about Ferguson the entire time. We got a lot of, we got some time left on the podcast. I agree. Um, No, I just want to know what you were hooking up for. Um, The... I'm just amazed that it's one thing for a cop to shoot someone. I'm just amazed at the number of times that a cop feels who shoots someone that many times who doesn't have a gun. Right. That you can... I find it much easier to comprehend someone making an argument for like, yeah, he was threatening me, so I shot him once. Or I shot him twice. He... He was shot twice by me, and that's what I felt I needed to do. But once you get over, you've done more than one, more shots than you can count on one hand, at a certain point, it seems like no matter what the circumstances, unless the circumstances are literally like out of a Terminator movie, where it's like, I just kept shooting and he just kept coming at me. Like, the fourth bullet, the fifth bullet, like nothing was stopping this creature. He was made of liquid metal that changed shape as each bullet hit him. And they seem to have no effect on him. And that's why I unloaded well, my... I think you're... I, listen, I am on your side in this, but I yeah. also think that you're discounting uh, the emotional aspect of any of this stuff. And logically what you're saying makes sense, but like, have you ever killed someone? Have you ever been around someone? Have you ever shot someone? Like, I'm sure that when you make the decision, you're not thinking logically. You're not thinking, great, this one bolt will stop them. You're thinking, maybe you're angry. Maybe there's you're scared. Maybe you're something. You're just doing whatever you can. And all you know is the more times you press this button, the more time you will be able to vindicate whatever that emotion is. You know, six or seven seems like a lot, though. It's not that many, though. Bang, 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 bang. It seems like a lot. But that happens. Bam, 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 bam. That's a lot. But that's also... I mean, have you ever... Like, when... This guy was in the wrong, clearly. Mm -hmm. But... I I tend... This is going to be a weird statement. But... I don't think he was doing it... To kill someone in cold blood. And just really just fucking pump lead into him. I think that might have been the result of 
immense ignorant anger or immense ignorant fear that this person had. Yeah. And that was the result. Um, but it's not like... Well, it's different than a premeditated right, exactly. killing, a motivated killing. But it's also one of those things where it's like the crazy guy a few days later who was walking around about a knife and you see the video of the two cops that show up and uh, they immediately like shoot him like more than nine times. Right. In like a second and a half. And right. it's one of those things where it's like that's terrifying to me that there are people who can walk around who can have a snap emotional reaction that involves you being shot that many times when you don't have a gun. Yeah, and I think that's a uh, law enforcement issue. And I think that's an issue of guns. Yeah. But to me, it's like an example of people who are really proud about guns jump to the fence of every time someone emotionally or accidentally or however, for whatever reason, ultimately misuses a gun to kill somebody else in a hail of bullets. That it always seems weird to me that the people who are most like pro gun and gun proud and all that are also the quickest to defend incidents that are examples of like right. these are terrifyingly dangerous because if if somebody panics they just unload a spray of bullets into another person uh, because of adrenaline because of uh, not being properly trained to deal with high pressure or stressful situations that. Like I got into a disagreement with a guy on Facebook once who had posted a comment about me on a friend's page. And his whole page was about guns and gun pride and all this stuff. Oh, I remember reading this. Yeah, and I basically got to the point where I was like, I paid this guy who I don't know the hypothetical compliment of saying, like, I bet you would never allow yourself to... Uh, allow someone to be so irresponsible with your gun that you would allow yourself to be disarmed in this way so that you're, you would end up having to use your gun right. in this haphazard and dangerous fashion. Uh, and once you put it in those terms, that you're, like, I think the thing that I'm surprised by is that all of the I am Darren Wilson support from a guy who's previously was let go from a police department that got disbanded because there were such huge issues with the department that basically a whole department got right. disbanded because of, of too many disciplinary and, and bad issues that you end up with these movements of people that are identifying with um, what no, what no one is holding up as like, this is the ideal of law enforcement, how right. it should be handled. Even if you remove any hypothetical malice or bad attitude from it, you didn't see, like, when there was that period where it almost became a cliche that um, postal workers uh, coming into work and sh shooting, shooting up the yeah. post office, which clearly there was something about the way the post office was being run that has changed because you don't right. see that anymore. But there clearly was a period where the way that the post office was run was creating a work environment that was driving people nuts. Right. After a postal office, office worker would come in and shoot everybody up, you didn't have people then like wearing armbands saying like I am, you know, the name of the guy who came in and did that. Right. Even though, uh, to me, it's kind of like that, where it's like with Zimmerman or with Darren Wilson, even among the people who have sympathy for them, 
holding them up as like this is the way it should be done. Right. Is very strange to me. Right, and I think that's just a reaction. It's a reaction to people disagreeing but not knowing how to, so they just polarize themselves. Yeah. What's the name of the first movie I'm going to see here, J.D.? I have no idea. <laughs> is that you in that helmet? Yeah, this is... Let's see. Maybe I... Uh... I'm going to jump forward to later years. I don't know what these tapes are. These are very old tapes. I haven't watched this one yet. This is very old. What are you embarrassed about you don't want me to see in that? Well, that... I think these ones are like 20 minutes long and just like... You talking into a microphone with a hand. in front of the camera. Which is fine. But you want, to, you want me to experience something richer? Well, I want you to see the stuff that we made and not just us playing around in front of a camera. Yeah. Which, I don't know what the... difference is, but... Craft... That's the difference. Because I think these ones are right when Mike Hart got iMovie, when that first came out, and his family like, had it, and it was like crazy. Mm-hmm. Like his dad got it. Yeah. Um, it was what, funny. What, what I, year would that have been? 99? Earlier? Mm. Yeah, somewhere around that. Um, I got to meet up with Leo in Los Angeles, who is the third member of our... Uh-huh. Because he's now, like, a big film composer. Yeah. He, like, did the score to, like, Edge of Tomorrow and a bunch of things. Wow. Yeah, he's very successful. Oh. Cheesy Movies Presents. This, a JD, Mike, and Jack production. This is Louisiana Jones. Our oh. Indiana Jones movie. Um, Which. To, oh, go ahead. Uh, some of my like mentors when I was starting out doing plays, I was friends with these uh, guys who were 10 years older than me, named Brian and Barry Kirk. And I, for, when I was in grade school, they came to school and taught the gifted program they taught a course on filmmaking right and um the uh they had made a short film called uh missouri smith and the dimple of tomb uh and that was their version of an indiana jones movie right no it's just louisiana jones there you go and this was i remember we talked about in the episode you probably don't remember because rambling but this was when leo his family got a summer home in Bayfield, Wisconsin. Uh-huh. And so he started up he started up Bayfield Pictures that summer. Yeah. Because he wasn't he was gonna be there the entire summer. Yeah. So he started making his own movies up there. Yeah. And I got really mad and Mike got mad. So we, we like created a rival because we were cheesy movies. That was the name of our our quote unquote company. Mm-hmm. And so we were like, fine, then Bayfi- Bayfield Pictures is our nemesis. So yeah, yeah, I remember this. In a, in a meta a meta move uh, to show our discontent, we named the villain of Louisiana Jones Bayfeld. Which is also a play on Blofeld. Yes. Um, oh, my gosh. This is great. I haven't watched these in such a long time. 
Wait. Oh, no, this isn't. This is a different one. What is this? Mike's overacting. That's Mike. When you're not in the shot, are you holding the camera? No. This is Mike's younger brother, Jack. Hey, kitty. How are your fingers? A real... A real, garden, real garden shears. I think this one gets pretty meta. And now Mike's on the camera, and that's Jack, Mike's younger brother. Predates Inception by many years. so tired in that shot, JD? Because I've been running back and forth from dream to reality. 
This is a comedy take on on Freddy Krueger. Nightmare Before Elm Street. Yeah. Let's see what other ones we wait, have here. Your character has no redeem. Oh wait, well, what was the ending shot of that movie? It looked like there was a twist where the younger brother had uh, the garden shears. I think that I think that was probably what it was. Oh no, he kills himself. Because who would want to live? Oh, this is from our Mr. Wimpet series. Oh, this was a film we made where when we realized we could edit stuff out and put stuff in, we had this version, and then the director's cut, which is every scene the main character dies at the end. Yeah. That was the director's cut. But these were more... I want to get to the our most influential work. Louisiana Smith? Louisiana Jones? Yeah. Uh, maybe it's not a different. This was also this is reminiscent of like what it was, the VHS days. Like what tape was? What it tape on? is it on? And like trying to find it and. Yeah. Be like no no wait wait just wait. This one's called Kids and Movies. Your holidays complete. Okay, commercial. Yeah, I directed this. This child. What is this? Katie's just fast running to tape through a lot of old commercials. Yeah, I think there's something really interesting about old commercials also. Yeah, they're great. Must have been Christmas time. But it's very far back. Um, yeah, it was weird meeting up with Leo though in LA because mm-hmm. we're both like sort of still doing it. Yeah, it was sort of fun. And who's and uh, Jack? Jack is Mike's younger brother, uh-huh. and he is now a um, like project manager for like high-level financial analyst uh-huh. software. So he's like this like business mastermind guy. Yeah. Which is really funny because he was always like. He was always manning the camera or like learning how to do some effect or this or that. Yeah. So it was always funny. It's, it's funny to me now that it's like, yeah, of course he turned into a guy that like runs Does everything. Practical stuff. Birthday fun? (laughs) 
Is this at your house? No. That's Mike's younger sister, Maggie. That's my older sister. That's Jack, and that's me. It's always weird to me to realize how much more recently you were a little kid. Yeah. Why is that weird? Just our age difference. Um, I don't feel it that much in our general interactions. Right. But then when I realized that, like, oh, I was, like, driving around while you were a child. Yeah. Well, that was While I was, like, a kid, you were, like, in high school. Yeah. Or probably later than that. Yeah. All right. JD, will you take care of me when I am demented? No. Come on. No, I'm going to I'm going to gaslight you until you lose all grasp on reality. Come on, JD. That's not nice. No one none of our listeners like hearing that. <laughs> they don't like that kind of joke. And they just want to hear a firm commitment that you'll take care of our me. Our listeners don't want to hear you talking about you becoming a demented old man. I as think. if you're as if you're like already in your like late 80s. No, but when I get to that point, if I don't have offspring, which I don't think I will, I'm, you're going to have to be something like a grown child of mine. That's not. With responsibilities towards me. Duties. Just to make sure I don't want a lot of unnecessary procedures. I don't want to be in a care facility that's abusive to me. I want to be someplace good, you know, J.D.? This is Mike as Steve from Blue's Clues. I never watched this. This is the cold open to a. Is that a raccoon? Yeah. This was a comedic. This is one of our comedic powerhouse performances. Hello, I'm Dr. Hubert. Let me look at you. <laughs> you look fine today. Let's check your tummy. JD's holding a, a lion doll. Yeah. As a doctor. It's the Prudential Lion, also. Because Mike's dad worked at Prudential. Oh uh huh. Oh wait, this is a different one than I thought. We have a better mystery than this. This is, these are still very young. This is a running series that you would. Yeah. How often would you watch these once you'd made them? What's that? How how much would you watch these once you'd made them? We watch it once and then go on to the next one. Would you show them to other people? Yeah, we'd get our parents to watch it and friends and stuff like that. Yeah. But it was usually we'd watch with friends and then it'd be like, well, we got to make something now. Yeah. We'd go on to the next thing. Um... 
it's so fascinating to see what people did before YouTube. Yeah. JD's always playing a killer. This is when we learned how to put music into things. Pretty good ending, right, Connor? That's a great ending. How often were you the villain? Almost out. Almost always, except for Louisiana Jones. Here it is. Ah, finally. Yeah, a lot of these movies, just for the listeners to know, seem to feature JD wielding some sort of blade or weapon. Yeah. There's a text on screen that says a Mayan, a Mayan temple <laughs> just outside of Egypt. Yeah. <laughs> our, our concept of what those places were in relation to each other is very... That's hilarious. JD was just being strangled by a mummy and he's holding a giant knife in his left hand but he defends himself with a just a punch from the right hand. Right. It's hilarious to watch a character who's wielding a giant knife with one hand use the other hand to punch instead. That was our that's how Louisiana Jones rolled. Classic New York City office. <laughs> yep. With a bed in it, an unmade bed. <laughs> With Mike's unmade bed. Character named Pablo, wearing a sombrero, who's just Mike's younger brother again, wearing a sombrero with a weird accent. That was a good insert shot of Thank an airplane. You. Yeah, there's a big R2D2 in the frame. I would give anything to see a real movie uh, have a main ha- character dressed like that. <laughs> like a big windbreaker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and kind of baggy pants. And just have an adventure. Hey, Pablo, wait there a second. Okay. Pablo. Pablo, come on, let's go. Pablo's dead. 
pretty pretty thick plot, huh? Eight pounds. Hello, Louis. Tom's Pablo. You killed Pablo. Pablo. Wait, did you have a second knife in your pocket? Yeah. That's amazing. Louisiana Jones carries a big knife, but when it gets shot out of his hand, he just reaches into his pocket, pulls out another enormous blade, stabs Lightfeld to death. And the Mayan relic falls from Bayfeld's hand. Alex is not going to be happy with this. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I love that you have the power to freeze and the power to do music, but you have the choice to just say, the end. Um... Genuinely surprised by how well Alex took a second <laughs> film. And she goes, that's okay. And he also sounded exactly like Linus from the uh, from the first two Charlie Brown specials. Yeah. So he was like, that's okay, Charlie Brown. Maybe the world wasn't ready for Christmas. Jack was uh, was like the Linus of our group of friends. Yeah. This Mike's little brother. And he was, very, he was extremely... Jack Hart plays three roles in the movie. Yeah. And has a good little credits joke. He then. was Pablo, Alex, and... Uh, and the little the joke. The Mayan guard. Now leave, will ya? I know, because we were like, we could put anything in the credits. Even though you're probably showing these just to your parents, right? Yeah. Oh, outtakes. This was the the like thing we were most excited about that we could edit stuff, is that now our, our, our outtakes could be seen. Yeah. That was our special effect. Is that I had my arm in the jacket to push out the... You know, when we were on set, we always tried to make sure we had a good time. Uh, so, you know, I tried to keep the set loose. I tried to make sure that we were really... Uh... Uh-oh. The cameraman would sometimes get a little silly with his angles.
I like, I, I like the structure. I genuinely like the structure of. Uh, I mean, I guess that is Indiana Jones. He fails a lot to bring back the artifact, but. We had to hit this joke a bunch of times. Go. This is me telling the audiences in the theater to leave the theater. Go home. Don't you people I feel like there must have been a movie that did this. Ferris Bueller's Day Off did it. Ferris Bueller's Day Off, yeah. Um, the, uh, but I like just how Louisiana Jones has no success. Right. Both times he comes back. Oh, this is our performance art piece. That girl is like in her 20s now. No, she's like 18 now. Yeah. That's weird, right? Yeah. Um, Judy Partapanka. I completely forgot about her. Connor O'Malley and I actually recently uh, were texting, reminiscing over old local Chicago commercials. Mm -hmm. And I feel like someone should like do a documentary on like every areas, like local commercials. Yeah, because I'm sure you have ones that are like either St. Louis area or Jefferson City specific that are like... More mid-Missouri, yeah. Right. Mid-Missouri things where it's just like... Yeah. You'll know them. But mm-hmm. like for me, it was uh, Peter Francis Geraci was his attorney and he'd go, I'm Peter Francis Geraci, attorney. He looked like Will Ferrell so I always thought it was like, SNL has to do something about this but it was like because it was only a local. Yeah. I remember radio ads for things that like there was one that you'd always hear, ones I associate with like when my dad would drive me to school, or it'd be early in the morning. He'd be going to work and he'd be driving me to school, and there'd be a com- we'd listen to like CBS radio news. So there were certain sounds that you hear that were still like they when when it was time for the news at the top of the hour, you hear it would go, it had like the old fashioned right. kind of had never been seemingly updated sound, but then there were certain local commercials that would come on. There was one that was, uh, not, not agency for all your insurance needs. And then it would go, da, 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 da. Yeah. And then there was uh, a, we play- had five, a- eight, eight, two, three hundred empire. I still hear that here. Yeah. I think they recently turned to a national brand, but mm-hmm. for a while I think it was just Chicago local. Yeah. Cause I've heard that one. There was a local, still is a local um, fast food restaurant on the far east end of town called Daisy Delight. And the theme music for Daisy Delight was Daisy Delight, Daisy Delight, hot food that's fresh, a delight. We had Moo and Oink. Sing it. Moo and Oink. Moo and Oink. There's some rap that went with it. Sounds like a Cartoon Network show. No, it was like a like a breakfast diner. And then I'm sure you've seen Eagle Man. That was a local commercial in Chicago. Oh, Eagle Man was crazy. Eagle Man or Ego Man? Eagle Man. Mm-hmm. It was 
um, this woman, she'd go, she'd get in her car accident, and someone would go, he was like, Debbie, do you have car insurance? I don't. And then she'd go, it must be Eagle Man. And then there's a man in an eagle costume on the roof of the car, and he went, I've got something for you. And then he laid an egg. Ah. And then out of the egg popped a baby eagle with an insurance policy in his mouth. And the women go, look at those low rates. It was I've never seen this. viral video but it was something that we all knew oh here it is growing up this is on like all the time in Chicago what's that do you have insurance on this car no it must be Eagle Man I've got something for you And that was the commercial. That's great. It was so bizarre. And then they released a sequel that was even weirder. Sequel, Eagle Woman? So the first thing, the reason they made it Eagle Woman is because the first time everyone was like, how come Eagle Man is laying eggs? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah. I love that people get hung up on the logic of something like that, that Eagle Man can't lay eggs, but his eggs can contain insurance policy papers. I remember one Thanksgiving sitting around watching like football at the Amato household. And the Amato side of the family is like, Catholic Italian, uh-huh. like Chicago, yeah, and my oh. uncle, um, who's my dad's sister's husband, has a very thick Chicago. He's sort of, he's not heavy set, but mm-hmm. he he has that. Um, like I grew up around people that were like the Dub Bears guys. You yeah, know yeah. What I mean? yeah. So he's sort of like that. His name's Joe Nimrod. Joe Nimrod. Joe Nimrod. That <laughs> was Nimrod. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he he owns the company Nimrod Realty. <laughs> Which, yeah. Anywho, um, it was always funny. But I remember sitting around one time watching that commercial. And I just remember this. Whatever that sticks in my head is that commercial came on. There's like a silence afterwards, and he just goes, "I don't get it. Why is Eagle Man laying eggs?" And there's just like something very funny about just like that moment. And like no, it was not discussed any further. And then it went on to the next thing. But he was like, I don't get it. Eagle man's laying eggs. He's a man. I don't get it. And it was just like, 
moved on from there. Yeah. But it was just like one of those quintessential, like, yep, that's the Chicago. That's like what <laughs> that Chicago mentality. Yeah. Oh, man. Alexis Pereira says we, he hopes we're having a good episode. Thanks, Alexis. Thanks, Alexis Pereira. Um, uh, he said he was initially going to ask to be on the show, but Connor and you, he and you smoothed out your issues. Yeah, I don't remember what our issues were. Wait, what are you asking him? I said Connor can't remember what the issues were. Tell him to come by the show. Yeah. Although we have to leave in like 45 minutes. I need to go uh, because uh, normally I normally I do um, my grocery shopping on Monday morning. But when I was scheduling out my morning this morning, I w- I've been trying to do an hour on my... Exercise your stationary bike bikes? My recumbent stationary exercise bike. It's the weirdest part of your apartment. Really? Oh, yes, by far. What's weird about it? I don't know. Like, who has exercise equipment in their apartment these days? I don't know. I guess just me? I mean, not... Like, I have, like, weights and stuff like that, and I'll do my fair share. But it's so weird. To, I don't know. Something like you and that recumbent bike is just such a strange image to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, of course, this is how Connor chooses to work out. Is this like <laughs> wheelie? Well, it takes up the least amount of room of anything. Like, it doesn't sure. have a big wheel or anything. Um, and uh, it's like, if necessary, I can fold it up a little bit and it takes up a little bit less room, but I don't usually do that because it's just me there. Right. Um, but I've been trying to do an hour a day on that bike. Um, and I use a kettlebell right? while I'm on the bike. What do you do with it? Lift it. So you bike? And I'm watching TV usually. That's not, that's a pretty good workout. Yeah. That's not bad at all. Do yeah. you do like push-up sit-ups? No. I mean, I might start at some point, but I haven't. I've just been doing that for an What's hour What's the last day. time you've done a push-up? Uh, probably... First term Obama administration. You should try push up right now. You may do a push up right now? Yeah. I'm bad at push ups, you know? Can you do a pull up? Give me a thing to pull up I'll on. I'll give you a try to do a pull up. Some of strong arms, you know? Okay, I'll try to do one now, but I mean, already I feel kind of bad. Ow! Oh, my mic came off. That's, that's what you use for. Is that like a, your Max KD machine? That's on Max KD when he's calling uh, yeah. Juliet Lewis. He's on that, and he's playing Aretha Franklin. How how low down do you want this push-up to be? Uh, keep going. Oh, God, no, that hurts too much. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you got to ease into that. But you should do push-ups. Try to do a pull-up. Pull-ups are tough. Other way, other way. Other way? Yeah. Or you can do, like, that's probably harder. What about, how much the best way to do it? Like that? Yeah. I might get I probably it. can't do even one, I don't think. I'm yeah, also pull-ups scared. are hard. I'm also scared of this device no, of yours. No. Oh, no, I can't do it. I can feel it yeah. already starting to hurt me. Yeah. Pull-ups are hard because it's not like push-ups. You can sort of like 
use other muscles to help. Yeah. Pull-ups, it's like you go from like not doing pull-ups to like your Breaking entire your, body yeah. weight. Yeah. Um, I'll do sit-ups before I'll do push-ups generally. I don't. Yeah. I don't, push-ups are really good for you. You should, you should get, you should just try to do one a day and then try to like keep up how, how good are they for me? I don't like I don't like them. I'd rather do sit-ups. I don't like sit-ups. I hate sit-ups. I can do a lot of sit-ups before I can do push-ups. My thing is that I will work, and then like between working, I will like lift weights, do push-ups, pull-ups, like that. Yeah. I'm out of shape right now because I have not done anything. And when I was in LA, I didn't do anything. Yeah. But How's a slender guy out of shape? What's out of shape about you? I'm not. I don't have my strength back. Like when playing basketball, I'm in. But you're not in bad shape. You're just like. Uh yeah, but I'm not like like I can probably only do a handful of pull-ups, and I can probably maybe get to twenty push-ups. But before I could do like twenty pull-ups, and. Just not concerned. I'm never concerned with arm strength at all. Yeah, I also want to look good, Connor. You look great. If I'm ever gonna date Taylor Swift, I got to. uh, Walk up a little bit, you know? I know. Oh, I can't wait to hear that song. <laughs> I would... Uh, I, um... Her video for that new song is pretty funny. Have you seen it? Which one? Shake It Off? Yeah, have you seen yeah, the video really for that? Yeah, I really like it. It's a very funny I video. I legitimately she's... have a crush on Taylor Swift. She's funny in that video. Yeah. Like, I don't know how much of that is just down to the director being like, do this, do that, but... Right. She, her performance uh, surprised me in the sense that I'm like, oh, this seems like a funny person making right. this video. She, like, that's the one where she's it's going like to she's all, got the a, all the different styles of music video. Right, she has like a sense of humor about herself yeah. not being good. I also think she's beautiful. Yeah, so it's like ballet, and then she's also got... All different kinds of styles of dancing. Would you be proud if you directed this video, JD? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think this is a solid music video. It's, it yeah. reminds me of what was fun about videos when I was growing up, and I'd like a video to be something yeah. fun like this. I also just think Taylor Swift is super cute. Oh, JD's in love. I'm in love with Taylor Swift. Um... I mean that's what, uh, that's what's going to happen, JD, when you're moving out to LA and you're going to when things are really taking off for you, you start dating starlets. It's going to be a different someday, thing for someday, you. Connor. Well, don't leave it too long, or else you'll be creepy about it. You know? Hey, been dating starlets. Yeah, I don't think that's part of my future. You don't think? No. Why not? Uh. I don't think I don't think I'm the type of person that would attract starlets. But I think you're. Uh, I think 
someone who's interesting like you, I think you'll do interesting work, and then that will <laughs> that will change things for you. And then they'll meet me, and then things will crumble after. I don't know. A month. I think my impression of the Taylor Swift in that video is someone who'd be open to to someone who's interesting <laughs> and fun. Okay. You know, like someone who would agree to look silly in that video because she looks silly. She's playing kind of like right. she's the goofball in that video. Right. We'll see. Um, you going to buy the Pee Wee's Playhouse Blu-ray? Uh, I don't think so. Why not? It's just the TV show on Blu-ray? Yeah, but I thought you'd be impressed by the fact that the level of restoration that they've gone through, you should watch the little... little uh, you know I got to meet Paul Rubens in L.A. Yeah. yeah. The level of restoration, apparently they were saying that basically the original versions that aired on TV, the versions we've always seen, was shot on film right? and then transferred to video and all, all the post-production right. was done on video. What they've done for the Blu-ray is gone back to the original film elements and restored everything so that it's the first time that anyone will have ever seen it with the actual colors of the set. Oh, cool. Um, with uh, the effects have all been like recreated, but with the film elements so that they right. still have the same feeling that they used to have. But every, the clips I've seen, it's like, oh, wow, it does look like better than it looked when it first aired. Right. Um, the... I'm trying to think. I mean, I don't know that I would actually watch it if I bought it, but I'm tempted to buy it. Okay, can we talk about Simpsons for a second? Yeah. Um, you were getting very upset about the fact that they were cropping the image. Yeah. I don't. They didn't originally air uncropped. No, they aired square. Right. Yeah. And oh, for this, they're cropping the tops off. They they were stretching it when there's credits, so it'd be stretched. The image right. would be distorted when it needed to be, and then it would be top and bottom cropped. So they were cropping up the top and bottom to make it widescreen. Yeah. Ah, I see. And most of the seasons are square. Like, they didn't turn widescreen until, like, right. season 15 or 20 or something. I see, I see, I see. Yeah, so yeah. most of the Simpsons marathon was distorted in some weird way. I thought you were complaining that it was square, and I was like, no, they originally square. No. You just thought I was stupid. No, I'm I not, did. I'm not stupid, JT. I'm smart. Well, uh, I also get with TV stuff, I think people don't realize, too, that it's like, yeah, you'll shoot something widescreen, but you're really framing it for 4.3. Yeah. So it's actually a lot of times, even if there is a widescreen available, that's not the one that was intended to be seen. It's I know all that, about the intent of what was meant to be seen. I know that um, for uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Joss Whedon has said there are widescreen versions that I think if you watch it on Netflix or something, it might be widescreen. Right. But he was like, I always framed it for 4.3. Uh, he doesn't like it when you see those extra sides. Right. Um, I have less of an issue with that than I do with cropping. Uh, I, I still would prefer the original intent, but I am kind of excited about there's apparently when the X-Files comes out on Blu-ray, it's going to be widescreen. See, I actually, that bothers me more. That bothers you more. Uh, as a filmmaker, I would feel 
violated violated to have things that were not part of my frame now part of the frame yeah um, whereas cutting stuff off is annoying but it's like well yeah but you're not getting the full thing when you add stuff in it's like no no no, no. i didn't mean for you to see that like to me that's scary to me um for me i guess i need to hear more apparently there this is just a rumor based on the fact that in germany they've started airing it in widescreen where you're seeing the full image including the part that because couldn't uh, there be like effects stuff like that that they didn't well, what I'm assuming, what I'm hoping, uh, is that they wouldn't do that unless the directors were originally uh, told, like, frame it so it works both ways. Right. So, like, I'm assuming they're not releasing it so you don't see, like, crew people at the sides of the frame or right. something. Um, although, I would, in its own weird way, I would maybe be just as fascinated to see a version of the X-Files. Where you, just see, like, the, you just see the boom up. <laughs> where you just see like random crew members and stuff at the sides of the X-Files all the time. Almost every right. shot features things that are completely Brechtian, uh, right. uh, the Brecht's files. Did I, ever, I, did I ever tell you that story? About Bertolt Brecht? No, about um, Jeff Garland's movie. I Want Someone to Eat Cheese With? Yeah. No. So I went to uh, the screening of I Want Somebody to Cheese with the, some friends back in college. Yeah. And Jeff Gaughan was there. It was at the IFC Center. Yeah. And the entire movie was about how all of Jeff's friends had made it and he hadn't and all this stuff. Yeah. It was right around the time. You know, was, reality television was having a boom. Yeah. And there was a bunch of shots where you could see the reflection of the cameraman and boom in the shot. And it was very apparent to the point that I was like, Oh, this is like a Brechtian thing where he's the whole thing is that he's being filmed like a reality show. Yeah. And like the idea is that he is famous. Yeah. But he's complaining about it. And I thought that was like really interesting. And I was like, Tom, I was like, me and my friends were arguing. It was like, because there'd be shots where it's like the boom be full on in the shot. Yeah. And like you could see cameramen and you could see all this stuff. And I was like, Jeff Garland like, is reinventing the language of cinema. I was like, he is doing this interesting thing <laughs> where it's like he was on this TV show the whole time, which is why because he has these lines where he's like, it feels like this is like things like this only happen in a TV show. Like, how can this happen in my life? Like his character yeah. says shit like that when he's like falling in with Sarah Silverman. And yeah. I was like, oh, he is on a TV show. That's what this whole thing's about. He just doesn't realize it. Yeah. And blah blah blah. And afterwards, he was there at the screen doing Q and A. And in the lobby afterwards, I came up and I was like, I need you to like settle something. Is that like my friends and I disagree. Like, so there's all those shots where like you see the cameraman, you see the boom in the shot. Yeah. You see all that stuff. Like that's because he was in a, in a movie, in a show within a show. Right. And mm-hmm. Jeff Garland's face like dropped. Yeah. And he was like, what? What are you talking about? You could see the boom and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, no. I was like, no, like, you know. Most of the movie, the boom was in the top, and he was like, "Oh no, they cropped it wrong." Oh no, oh. are you kidding me? And I was like, "No, I." You're saying it wasn't intense, and he's like, "Fucking leave it to the NYU kids to fucking see that shit." Fuck. <laughs> well, thank you for telling me. Honestly, thank you because you know, I'm the, and now I need, know they need to like reprint it and blah blah blah. And I was like, "Oh, okay, sorry." And he's like, "He's like, no, no, it's not your fault. It's just you know, it's just frustrating." And I was like, "Oh, okay." It was like a really weird, sad, yeah, moment. Uh, well, the um, the other thing that was frustrating is 
you know, they made a big deal of the we're showing every Simpsons ever completely uncut. Oh, Alexis is here. Here. And then. Hey, I thought you were going to come to the show. No, I said have a good show. And, uh, yeah. Are you Phil? Oh, you were Oh, yeah, I didn't know you were recording. What's up? Hey, how are you? How you doing? Is Alexis Pereira here on 12 Hour Day? I thought you were going to come to the show with us. I might, I might do that. All right. He can still do that, but he also, Alexis doesn't live far. How long of a walk was it? How long a walk? A 12 minute walk. Oh, 12 you're minute, off 36 Ave, right? 12 minute yeah. walk, 12 hour day. A That's minute it. for the hour of the day. Have a seat, my friend. Have a seat. Right. I hope I wasn't interrupting anything. You, it's fine to stop by and say hi. You were. No. We'll get back to it. We'll put a pin in it. <laughs> we're gonna for, we've been forgetting stuff all day. Yeah. Uh, what have you been up to today, Alexis? Um, so I recently watched uh, an episode of The Big Bang Theory. H- have you ever seen that? I remember The Big Bang Theory. I remember when uh, the new pilot season was happening. This had to be whatever, like eight years ago now. And I remember seeing all the new pilots, and I saw the Big Bang Theory pilot, and I was like, this will never stick. Uh-huh. Like, no one will want to watch this thing about, like, fake nerds. And it baffles me to this day that it is the mega hit that it is. The most popular show. I was thinking about this show about, like, obviously you'd have to be on the web, but it's just, like, a family of, like, five people. Like, like maybe, like, uh, two parents, like, one grandparent, and, like, two kids. And it's just a half hour of them, like, just watching the Big Bang Theory. Just kind of like not laughing that much, but like weirdly, like kind of like, oh god, this show is so safe. This is perfect for us. So, like, your show is just a show of a family watching an episode of The Big Bang Theory. Yeah, I think that's great. You can make that show. Yeah, I think I think that'd be that'd be really funny. I think people would love that. That'd be a hilarious web series of just a family sitting there eating TV dinner. Start with the pilot. Start with the pilot and. Do, go chronologically. You have to go. You have to do all of the episodes. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. I was thinking about. Well, I, it's, the show's terrible. But I've never just, seen it, so I, I actually, I actually can't confidently speak towards the quality of the show. Uh-huh. Well, the the thing that I think is terrible about it. Well, okay. Well, and this what? is. I I've never been drawn to watch it by any of the promo or any. Like, there's been nothing that's compelled me to check it out. No one's ever said to me like, Connor, you got to watch it. I am someone with a fondness for multi-camera studio audience sitcoms. Uh-huh. Right. So what they do really well is their A story, B story, and like the way that they have its structure and that their format is yeah. it's very clean. The rhythm goes through very quickly. Just like any other show. It goes down easy. It's like they yeah. nail the format of multi-cam sitcom. The only problem is, you know, multi-cam sitcom is like the same things. You just replace the nouns and verbs of what's happening. Uh-huh. Their nouns are like nerds, and they're playing these. St- they're playing like what if like jocks, if the people who like were popular in your high school put on a play about nerds. Yeah. This is how they would act. Uh-huh. And the jokes aren't jokes. It's just references to things that quote unquote nerds like. But it's like the most like level one reference yeah. of things like that. Where it'll be like. You know, like, someone will be like, you want to go to this party tonight? And it's like, uh, I'm not going to go to the party. I have a big night of watching Star Wars ahead of me uh-huh, kind of yeah. thing. Where it's just like, really? That's your yeah. 
that's what you're going with. They like, watched Buffy. They watched Buffy in the episode I watched, and they were like making jokes about Buffy, the Vampire Slayer of the show. Right. And I was like, what? Like who? I don't know. I just I was like, I've never seen a show do that where they're making jokes about another show, and they they also made fun of The Office. Uh, they're like he calls the director of The Office and is like. Uh, how does the show really end? And he like gets the answer. He's like, well, that's why your show is canceled. And he hangs up. Like he's like, ooh, take that, The Office. Well, that's the thing too. Is that like all the make like what? What was the deal that he? What's the lead guy made? He gets like twenty million or something. He must make three million an episode. Must be something like that. Yeah, it was something insane like that. That was just like Jim Parsons. Yeah, Jim Parsons, and he always wins. Um, comedic performance in the Emmys and it's just like ah, I guess so but man man is that not my cup of tea I don't know they do this multicam format really well but just the characters are caricatures and the references and the things they're saying are so one note so just like two inches deep mm-hmm. I don't know it, that sort of drives me insane. Is there a classic episode that people reference? Like, like there are episodes of like Cheers and Frasier and things like that right. that people will point to, and, or Seinfeld, uh, or Friends, where they'll be like, "Well, this is the classic episode." Right. Is there an episode of Big Bang Theory that someone would say, "Like, watch this one"? I think that I think no, and I think that's one of its strengths, mm-hmm. perhaps, because people are like. Every episode is so. It's like, like a, so in that sense, it's like Law and Order, where it's like there isn't yes. a, no one points to like you got to see this episode of Law and Order. It's like oh, just watch any episode of Law and Order, and if you like it, you'll like it. Exactly. I think, and I think that's what people. I guess what most people love about it. It's a mega hit. I think it's like the, one of the top ten highly rated shows. Um, it's the most popular comedy on TV, right? It probably is. Uh, the only one I can think of is Blackish. If that's more popular, but no, I, there's no way that's more popular. It's because that's new, first of all. And then Modern Family. Yeah, but I don't think um, it's that Modern Family is that popular. No, I don't think Modern Family is as popular as Big Bang Theory. Um, and I I've only watched Modern Family intermittently. Like I've seen it every now and then when I've been around my parents, and like it'll be on in like a marathon or something like that. And I was I always find it fun. Modern but Family, it, yes. Modern Family, but I it's not a show when I'm not watching it that I actively have sought out. Mm-hmm. But whenever it's on, I'll watch it. I'm like, oh, this cast is really funny. Right. And this is like a fun, very pleasant show that sometimes has like edgy jokes that are uh, surprising for the, for like, it'll have like a joke every now and then that has like a real bite to it. Mm-hmm. That it, it, it kind of has more bite because it's in this very friendly, very li- easy to like kind of show. Right. Mm. And uh, also, Modern Family. Whenever I watch it, I'm always like, "Oh, good callback!" You know, like the yeah. sh- episodes always end with like really smart callbacks. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite thing to do? My favorite thing <laughs> to do. Um, you know, I- I've been rewatching uh, the thick of it right now. Uh, I I always feel like there's a season. I ha- I always feel like I have like one more season of that that I have yet to catch up on. Um. But I don't know if that's true or not. I always just feel like they're secretly making another season that I don't know about, and I'll have to find it. They just ended it. They just ended it for good. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure I'm at least two seasons that I haven't seen of it. Yeah, you should. I mean, it's... It's really good. It's really... It's, the way British TV works is bizarre, because, like, the first season is three episodes, 
Is Peter Capaldi in it through the whole thing? The whole thing. Yeah, whole but uh, I've seen at least one season where it's um, after the main guy got in trouble in real life. Yes. Uh, yes. For was woman. it for child pornography? Yes. Yes. And then they brought in the woman who I can't remember the actress's name, but I know her from she was on the uh, the show Knowing Me, Knowing You with Alan Partridge. Yes. That that was the. Have you ever seen that? Knowing me, knowing yes. you. Yes. Uh-huh. She was like part of the ensemble uh, that would play the guests. Uh, she's very funny. Yeah, um, she's in it for like maybe two or the last three seasons or something like that. Yeah. So. So she's in it through the end. Yeah. Okay. You know, I was in a. I was thinking about this. Uh, I was in a waiting room recently, and uh, you know, for at a doctor's office. Uh huh. And you know, it's kind of bizarre how everybody will be fine. For you know, because they understand that it's like okay, you know, sometimes some, you know, some s- s- visits last longer than others. But then all of a sudden, one person speaks up, and like is just like, "What's going on here? What's up with this weight?" And then it just the whole place like falls apart completely. Isn't that so bizarre? I've also had the experience where it will cut the tension, and everyone will be happier if they say something. Yeah, if someone says like. Like, hey, what's the wait? And the person's like, uh, things are behind. It's like, okay, we've been waiting for a while. I feel like then everyone's like, yeah. And then everyone sort of like relaxes. Like, well, it's not just me. Right. But I've also seen it where everyone just fucking loses their shit. It mm. depends on that person's outlook. Right. I think. Because you, in the way, in the example you said, it's like if they're happy about it. Oh, if they're, they're at least not happy about it. If they're like, all right, well, I guess we all got to wait. And then everybody's right. like, yeah, we all got to wait. But then if, if somebody is just like the first person to speak up is angry then that sets the tone for the room. Then everybody starts getting up and talking to the person. It's like, come on, you're all, we're all going to wait. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, I had that today a little bit where I was waiting in line to get a prescription and like the people in front of the line just kept taking forever. They had like another thing and another thing. Everyone's like frustrated. And then at one point they're just like, I'm sorry, this is taking so long to the line. And everyone they, was they like, yeah. And then everyone was like, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah. It was like totally fine with it then. Like yeah. all it took was that them they just using the it. The acknowledgement. Bit. Yeah. I didn't know though you can. Rare, rarely have I seen people <laughs> at the pharmacy being like, "Oh, by the way, I also need to regrow my hair." And like just like, or what was it like? Did they? It, uh, it was like an insurance thing, I think, where they're uh, like, "Well, can you ch- can you check this? Can you try this one?" Okay. Well, okay. It's not supposed to be that expensive. It's been cheaper. In the, it was like them going oh. through, the, and then they're like. Oh, I'm also supposed to pick up my my wife's prescription for this. Is that well? No. Well, yeah, I'm her husband. No, I don't have her right. It was like that kind of thing where you're just like, oh my god, dude. Yeah. Where it's like, yeah, I guess you can do all this stuff, but like, this is taking forever. Yeah. But yeah. everyone seemed pretty fine with the whole thing. I don't know. It, it there's a major group think thing that happens where if like. Multiple people get upset. It's very easy for lots of people to get upset. But if everyone is like, who cares? It, like, diffuses the situation entirely. Right. I don't know. I, there was a funny thing the other day, yesterday. Um, is that there's all the people coming back from running the marathon together. And on the train, they're all, like, talking and, like, sharing war stories and being like, oh, you ran? Congrats, dude. da da Man, that bridge was fucking crazy, right? The wind? Uh. And it, like, made everyone else in the train very, like, sociable also. Because it was like, <laughs> oh, these guys are talking. Oh, well, I guess we can all talk. Like, there's a moment, I feel like it happened once in the podcast, 
where sometimes the air conditioning units or heat or whatever will turn off in the train car. Mm -hmm. And then, so that means like the generators that are running those will stop. And that's most of the noise the subway car makes yes, inside. That's right. So all of a sudden it just becomes dead quiet. And I call it like the, I call it the we're all in a room together moment mm -hmm. where suddenly you're just standing there and whenever that happens, they just like to go. And now we're all in a room together. Because all of a sudden it goes from this thing where like, you can be sitting sitting in a subway because of all the noise. You can sort of like tune out everything. Mm -hmm. But when suddenly you're just in a room together and like someone like moving their feet, like makes everyone can hear it and sort of like see it. Suddenly it's just like, oh, we're all in this like very tight room together. Yeah. And we could choose to interact, but we're just choosing not to. And it's such a bizarre, weird occurrence that I feel like if in that moment I was just like, so, how are your guys' day? Like, <laughs> yeah. people would just be like, nah, yeah. it's fine, and like, get into it. So it's just like, yeah, we're just in this room right now. I had a class when, you know, when I was teaching, when I was teaching seventh and eighth grade, I had a class that weirdly pulled a silence prank on me where I, it was a horrible school where kids were constantly yapping. And uh, one day, I was like, all of a sudden, they got quiet, like, completely quiet, and then I got quiet. And then we all just stared at each other, and they were all like, enjoying it so much. They were like, like this is crazy. It's so quiet. Like, we're just getting away with it. And then, like, all of a sudden, they're like, one kid's like, I can't stand it. I can't. And he just started, like, talking out. And I was like, all right, you know, whatever. But I, I was like, it was so bizarre that we were, like, the, the silence prank, as I call it. It was four minutes of silence. Right. And it just, like, became this comfortable thing for everyone. Yeah. But I got quiet, too, because I was, like, really into, like, just seeing what they wanted to do. I'm like, what's, what, what are you guys doing? Being quiet. All right. Well, I'll be quiet too. Let's see how that works. Well, you're comfortable with silence. Very comfortable. What class did you teach? I taught social studies, seventh and eighth grade. That must have been so bizarre. It was the worst. It was horrible. I used to have a nightmare or a dream where, like, the worst kid in my class, like, I had dreams where he would, like, I would, I was going up for a dunk, and he would, like, block my shot. That's how, like, it would, it was like, and like, in my dream, he like. A very very clearly he blocks my shot and like stuffs me where he like pulls me down mm -hmm. and then like a, like I was like oh wow I'm, like this this is really upsetting me and as far as like dream metaphors go that's like pretty clear <laughs> yeah it's yeah. not like huh what does that mean it was terrible I always noticed I always used to notice that you were like. If I initiated an improv scene and you were like the second line person, you were unusually comfortable with taking as much time as you needed. Like most people have that like panic of like, oh, someone just started a scene. I need to like speak now or people will think I don't have anything. Right. Yeah. And you were always really like unusually comfortable with someone would say something like, hey, you took all my letters <laughs> and you just stare at them and you would just be so comfortable taking your time where you'd just be like. Just stare down the person, and then it's normally like, "Yeah, I took him." Yeah, <laughs> like that. The the confidence of that is always impressive to me, uh, because I think people don't realize they look way more nervous when they just respond real quick with whatever. Right. Or five seconds go by, and then they're like, oh, "I gotta say anything." Uh huh. That if someone on stage doesn't say something for thirty seconds, that they'll probably get 30 seconds worth of laughter. Yeah. Like, even if they have nothing at, at the end of it, you're still stronger waiting and waiting and then saying whatever you feel comfortable with. Yeah. I mean, it's it's half of, like, 
I, I, I just love enjoying like moments. Yeah. Know? And I just, I, you know, if somebody says something super bizarre, it's, it's like, let's all, let's all take let's a moment and bask in it. Yeah. But, uh... Our rehearsal's from 4 to 7 tomorrow, right? Yeah. You had a rehearsal? What? For the Terry Withers Mysteries. Oh, are you, are you going to record your podcast? <laughs> yeah, we were we rehearsed for this podcast. Yeah, yeah. That's part of why. Yeah, it always takes long yeah, between. Yeah, you're coming rehearsal and being on the rehearsal. Yeah, we're not recording. These aren't uh, turned on. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because usually rehearsals is like you do the show like ten times, so like the idea of you doing like ten, twelve hours. I like the idea of doing it at, like twelve hours, but like. All right, let's try that again, but um, I guess let's take it from the perspective of, I don't know, instead of being sad about the things that happened, let's try to make something positive. Great, great. All right, let's take it from the top. Great. And then just doing a 12-hour long. Yeah. I was thinking about this. I was thinking about, like, parodies about, you know, what if somebody did, like, like the worst parody idea uh, and just, like, committed to it real hard and just produced as much as they could about it like and uh, I was thinking about how uh, there's like that law and order special victims unit so you know if somebody did a parody of it it would be like a minute you know it would be like law and order you know on on special victims unit and it's like you know let's get a minute of that but like (laughs) what if somebody also did like a bunch of just like just really pushed the joke so hard it's just and it was like so, Law and Order, six victims unit. They tried to like make like a season of like twenty-four episodes of of like this hor- horrible parody line of like like uh, six victims. You know, it's got to be six victims or else we can't answer the call. <laughs> yeah, or it's like in that scenario too. It'd be like five people were killed up at Crest Hill, and they're like, "Here we go, we found another body." All right, it's go time. We found two. All right, never mind. We're out. We're out again. We're back out. It just keeps going. Like They're like just waiting for that one thing. Yeah. JD, I can't remember if this was talked about on our previous podcast, but I, you and I disagreed, didn't we, about I am uncomfortable with when Sesame Street parodies certain adult things. Yes. Oh, no. We, we didn't talk about it on the podcast. We had it out via Tumblr. Yeah. That... My my specific one is when Sesame Street uh, parodied Special Letters Unit for Law and Order Special Letters Unit. That I was like, that's a show about rape crimes, JD. Like, I also have a problem with the Twin Be- Twin Peaks uh, parody. That I'm like, Twin Peaks is a show about spoiler alert for anyone who doesn't know. Mm-hmm. Do you, is it okay if I spoil yeah, Twin Peaks? Yeah. About a father who is possessed by a demon who repeatedly rapes his own daughter. And I feel like while the Muppets in Sesame Street can frequently traffic in things that are sophisticated and adult but also targeted kids, I feel like there's something about if I was working at Sesame Street and we're like hashing out spoofs, 
in the spoof room, someone would be like, hey, let's do a Blue Velvet parody. I'd be like, no, it's not. That's got too much rape in it. Let's not do any spoofs that are of adult shows centered on rape. They did Breaking Bad, I believe. But also, yeah, that's one that you were mad about. Here's my here's my thing. Yeah, I grew up with Monsterpiece Theater where they did all those spoofs, and I had a vague awareness that they're about grown up movies, but I yeah. didn't know what they were. And then as I got older, it was fun for me to be able to see them and understand those references. I was never. It's not like no, through no. osmosis the I kids know. learn about rape because like. There was a title that was similar to that. Yes, but here's the thing. Monsterpiece Theater is parodying Masterpiece Theater, which are adult things, but very few of them are quite... No, Monsterpiece so- Theater is the one that had like Twin Peaks and all that stuff. What? Twin Peaks was part of Monsterpiece Theater? Yeah, I believe that's part of Masterpiece Theater. Oh, I thought it was pas- parodying Masterpiece Theater, which would tend to be more things like Pride and Prejudice no, basically the like that. segment was called Monsterpiece Theater. Yeah. Then you go, here's a segment from Twin Peaks. Why didn't Sesame Street ever do... Uh, I am curious yellow, a spoof of, of uh, I am curious yellow. Uh, why didn't they spoof porn? Why didn't they do a deep throat parody? <laughs> they could have, but deep, the, my, my point is it's deep not. Throat. I don't, <laughs> why, the reason that they didn't do those things is because there are some things that are a little too adult to put into a. But they're not adult. They're doing kid versions of it. I know, but I, it actually would have creeped me out. It's not, like, it's not like the special victims unit version of it is like, oh, an A has been raped. <laughs> We need to figure it out. What are some words that start with A? Because no. it's been raped. It might, they might as well. Yeah. Little no, kids wait. don't know what rape well, what, is. Is it? Is it? They might. They as well, grow up Connor? and find out what rape is, and anything like, oh, that's neat. I didn't know that. <laughs> that's not true, Connor. You're there. There are special. There are special number letters. Special unit. letters unit. Instead of the, rape victims, they've been replaced with letters. No, no. It's like, oh, that A has been taped. You know, somebody <laughs> put tape. Would that be okay with you, JD? <laughs> I mean, that's yes, what, it would honestly, because no. No, 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 no kid, no kid would be like, wait, taped. Oh, it God. must mean raped, which is a word I don't know, which I'm assuming means sex crime. <laughs> these are I funny. Rape people now. These are funny jokes for the grown-ups who are working on Sesame Street. That then at the end of that conversation, they say like, let's not actually put no. this on Sesame Street. No, I just disagree. like there are jokes that are made the in the genius of Sesame Street was that it was for kids. And parents to watch together, and there were jokes for the kids and jokes for the parents. Imagine like eight, like eight silly meter, <laughs> like Nicholas Cage. Well, like, what's the most disturbing? What, what's, what would be something? Is there anything that would be too disturbing for for Sesame Street to spoof? Or porn? Would Would a deep throat parody be? Uh, what no, the, I actually think they might have done a deep throat parody. I guarantee oh, no, because God. Jim Henson wouldn't have allowed that. <laughs> All of these parodies you're talking about are once Jim was gone. No, not all of Twin them. Twin Beaks was after Jim. I don't believe so. Jim died before Twin Beaks, didn't he? He died in 91. Oh, uh, so he lived for it. But I don't <laughs> think Twin Beaks was on Jim's watch. I think there was a handful that was before. Most of them were after. But the genius of Sesame Street was that it was for adults and for kids. So that it was a kid's show that adults could watch and think it was funny. That adults could see, I'm a serial girl the music video about a girl eating cereal and yeah. know that it was a Madonna parody, but the kids had no idea. Or Henry portrait of a serial killer. Mm-hmm. Did they do a spoof of that? They, might, I think they might have done something like that. Deep, deep boat. Yeah. Like deep boat? They, I, yes. Like, this is how boats swim in the sea. My or, boat is so deep. Okay, here. I'm going to look up the list of what those were. <laughs> I just think 
Am I a prude for thinking this? Yes. For thinking that Sesame Street shouldn't do as many rape skits. Bert. No. Bert, can you come no. into my office? No, 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 no. <laughs> you don't get to call them rape skits. I do get to call them that. Rape there was no. It wasn't like it was. There was no rape in the skits. Twin Beaks and spe- and Special Letters Unit are both spoofs of shows that have rape that in have it. rape in them. So you're saying like anytime anyone references anything from the Bible because the Bible has fucking rape yeah, and murder. Yeah, I it? actually do think that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But anytime anyone mentions the Bible, what they're really mentioning is fucking rape and murder. Uh, no, no. But my problem with my problem with that is that people don't talk enough about how much rape and murder there is in the Bible. They act like, oh, those parts don't really count. Okay, well, this is a different conversation. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you on that on that part. But the idea that because it's a Law and Order SVU spoof, it is immediately a rape spoof, a sketch about rape. Is what not is true? No, but it is spoofing a show. That is primarily about solving sex crimes. I just think it's a little bit too close. Like, there's adult themes on Mad Men. Right. Oh, they do. They did and they did a yeah. Mad Men spoof. But I don't find that one as problematic because the premise of Mad Men, right. the central plot of it, now it is about an alcoholic uh, adulterer <laughs> who's, okay. good at, who's good at advertising. So they did I, Claudius. Okay. Spoof. Uh, I'm going to give a waiver for things that are um, old. Old enough that, like... I would, a 39 Steps parody. How much rape is... I don't know what's in 39 Steps. That's how much rape? Hitchcock. Like, I'm going to give Gone a pass to... I'm going to say that things that are part of Greek... The Sound of Music, Upstairs, Nazis, Downstairs. That's a Nazi spoof. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. They did a 400 Blows spoof. Yeah, but that's only a, that's only a spoof if you spoof the title. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was called The 40 Blows. Yeah. them blowing out candles. But yeah. the 400 Blows has awful stuff in it. What's... Oh, I don't remember. I, no, just a, not really. No, I mean, not uh, anything. Okay. Get... Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. Agent Cookie investigates a mysterious town trying to discover why the town is called Twin Beaks. It's because one of the fathers in town is possessed by a demon and raped his daughter. No, that's not why. <laughs> Sun Also Rises, Merchant of Venice. Postman Always Rings Twice. The I have a little issue sea. with Merchant of Venice. They did... <laughs> one one flew over the, over the cuckoo's nest. What what they, what they call it? Uh, theirs was one flew one over, flew the, over the cuckoo's nest. nest, where it's a number one flies over a cuckoo's nest. Yeah, I don't um, have a problem with that. Dad, Dad, why can't I watch Sesame Street? Why <laughs> Wait, are you turning off the TV? This is a weird one. Okay, they did a spoof of Lethal Weapon Three. Called what? Lethal Weapon Three. <laughs> well, it sounds like they're not spoofing it very well. Lethal Web? They called it Lethal? It's, they, they used the word Lethal? And they just called it the name of the movie? Yeah, it's Lethal Weapon 3. What's it's, the I, twist? Mel Gibson and Danny Glover star in Lethal Weapon 3. <laughs> Gibson and Glover read a sign that says Danger. Suddenly they duck and take cover from a gigantic stone number 3 which falls from the sky. Oh, that's, that's inappropriate. Wait. Uh, is it actually Mel Gibson and Danny Glover? Yeah, yeah that's good. And then my favorite one is Hamlet. That was one that was meaningful to me as a kid. That's the one yeah. where Elmo goes, Why, Malith, do you cry? Words, Elmo, words, words, words. Twelve Angry Men. Twelve Angry Men, West Side Story, Much Ado About Nothing, Cyrano de Bergerac, Spalding Gray, Angels with Dirty Faces, Room at the Top, Little House on the Prairie, Anything Goes, Waiting for Godot. 
Um, Little Red Riding Hood. What do you think about that mom in Florida who wanted the Breaking Bad toys pulled from the shelves? She's stupid. Really? Yeah. Why? They're rape toys, Connor. There's no. When's the rape? Oh, I guess there's a little bit of marital rape in well, Breaking Bad. It's murder. It's a murder, murder rape toy. Yeah. That's a murder rape toy. The doll had methamphetamine. Because Toys R Us isn't primarily a kid's store anymore. It's got sections in it that oh, aren't. Yeah. And, and it was not in a kid section of the store. It was in a section that had more adult toys. Oh, okay. Well, I didn't know that. Um, no, and I'm not saying that these things should be banned or anything. I, what I'm questioning is that if I was in the room working on Sesame Street when they were making them, my impulse would have been to say, right. let's not spoof a sex crime show. I know the special letters unit sounds like a good joke, but that ties us specifically to the law and order that is about rape. I, got, I just got the perfect one and like, like Silence of the Lambs. Uh-huh. And then uh, you have this like weird like horse who keeps like like uh, taking like lamb's wool and wearing it mm-hmm. <laughs> at one point dancing in front of a mirror. I would call know? that. I would have Silence of the M's. All <laughs> oh, right, in like in lamb. Yeah. Yep. Or. Mm. Or I would have mm. Silence of the Lambs. My Silence of the Lambs is that it's a bunch of lambs at the library talking. Yeah. Quiet lambs. And then it's a buffalo going. Mm-hmm. I'd shush me. Yeah. <laughs> um, he just goes, I'd fuck me. <laughs> and they dropped the first ever F bomb on Um, I think they could have done a Law and Order spoof. I think the fact they chose to do it, Special Letters Unit, tied it so directly to the sex tra- crimes one. Yeah, that- that it's weird to me. Well, what about the conversation with your kids if your kids are like, what's this about? Like, I, what, what's that about? It's I'd a say, show. I'd say it's a grown-up show. Talk to, your, talk to Uncle JD. He, he's really happy that they spoofed it. Uncle JD, what's uh, Special Letters Unit? What do you, yeah. It's for rape victims. So that's people who had sex against their will. So if, uh, here, take down your pants. So, okay. If I, this, if I don't like penis, this bit. You see your penis? I don't like this bit. You see your penis? If you force that into a girl. I don't like this bit. Um, That's how I describe it. I don't like it. I uh, kind of the point being, you don't have to unwrap all that stuff to a kid. It's something that they don't oh. can think is funny. Well, no, I mean, I actually think it's fine. I just think it's such a direct line to. But my point is, it's not a direct line. It's such <sighs> an indirect line, Connor. No, it's direct. Because the, I just think I would avoid shows that are explicitly rape-themed when I was doing Spoof on Sesame Street. <laughs> I used to, when I worked at my friend's preschool, I had these stories... But they're not just picking rape shows. They're picking the most popular shows of the time. Yeah, the, the, the psych guys. It's, yeah, it's tr- not like, like, huh. Oh, let's do 40 Days of Sad M. And it's an M that's getting brutally raped. Uh... Have they done a Fifty Shades of Grey spoof on Sesame Street? I wouldn't be surprised if they have. No. Because it's colors and numbers. Oh, my God. They definitely didn't do that. They definitely didn't do that. Why not? JD, you should be in favor of a Fifty Shades of Grey spoof. Uh, Don't put his opinion. I know. I think it'd be fine. No, uh, but, but uh, I actually, no, I'm, I'm actually, uh, I agree with you, you know, uh, Connor, I'm pointing at right now, audience. Uh, but, uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but. I'd like to point out. That Alexis wasn't pointing at Connor, but then said that, and then felt it necessary to then point at Connor, said he wasn't lying. Um, 
I think I think they want to do things that people would not be ashamed of admitting they watch. I think they're like that's the line. It's like oh, Special Victims Unit. I watch that, but it's like oh, Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh, I don't want people to watch that. I think you know my thing. My problem is with the Special Letters Unit one is I feel like if they'd worked a little harder at it, they could have come up with a joke that was just specifically a Law and Order thing. But I think they went for the easy joke of calling oh, it Special yeah. Letters Unit. Um, Something in order like a math thing. Yeah, Functions I don't know what it would be. What what if you just spoofed Law and Order and you didn't have the Special Victims Unit uh, subtitle? Um, is there a joke that is a pun on either uh, the, with the just Law and Order, just that title? Maybe that's too hard. Yeah, it is. Yeah, well, because it'd be like Operations in Order, but is that? No, I mean, is there a word that sounds like law or sounds like order? Oh, that would fit into the Sesame Street spoof style. Mm-hmm. Um, like Twin Beaks. Right. Um, Raw and order. And it's about uh, like how you like your steaks, like teaching kids. It'd be lion order. Lion order? No, I said uh, raw and order. It'd be lion. It'd be a lion ordering food. Lion oh. order. Dun-dun. Uh, oh, I'll have a... Um... Yeah, I don't know. Um, I never said it was easy. I just said oh, yeah, they, yeah. I think they well, went... Well, I bet, you know, I bet the Sesame Street people who are listening right now, they're like, oh, well, you guys are so fucking smart. You know, you... You, you like, come up with you it. You come up with it, and we, we couldn't, we can't do it. And they're like, yeah, that's why we do this. Yeah. Hot shot. Yeah, rape spoofs on yeah. <laughs> for preschoolers. No, they're, yeah, they're just kind of like, we need to get something out that will get parents to watch, that's in the zeitgeist, that's easy... <sighs> You know what? And if sometimes if it's going to go into you know that territory, then so be it. Uh, they do a lot of Shakespeare. Now, I have an issue with them doing a Merchant of Venice spoof. Yeah. That's, um, yeah. Well, because I the thing is, I Merchant of Venice. You are the person who what? that destroys like entertainment stuff. Why? Your letter. Your your. You're the type of person, the letter writer, that sends stuff in. No, because I there's I, no reason to be sensitive about this stuff. Kids, it's not being passed down to kids. It's not like it's it's not they're not absorbing this as part of the parts that they're absorbing of this aren't rape and aren't like racism and like they're not taking any of this stuff. I think it's going over their heads, way over their heads. It's planting a seed. I what seed? Eh. I don't even care if it has an effect tell, on the kids. Tell me, okay, give give me a reasonable plot line of a child's life that goes I from them. I don't even watching. Care. I'll tell you what it is. I don't. I actually don't. Letters unit. To I don't, them being like rape is good. Okay. I don't care. I don't care about the kids. My problem. <laughs> my problem with it is is from the adult end of it that I think it's creepy as an adult. For for me, it's. It's that, you know, the kids will watch this and be like, oh, I used to love Special Letters Unit. And then they grow up and they're like, oh, my God. What, <laughs> what is this? Yeah, like, has, has Sesame Street ever spoofed Birth of a Nation? I just bet they have. No. No, I, I doubt they do. Um, I, I tell you, the... the um, for me, I don't... It's one of those things where it's like, I don't have a problem with, my problem has to do with less that I think like, 
I have a problem with the woman who's like, take the Breaking Bad action figures out of the Toys R Us. Because I'm usually like, I'm not someone who's like, oh, they should pull those Twin Beaks clips off of YouTube. <laughs> uh, that's never my thing. Like, fine, they decided to go ahead and do it. My thing is more just at the originator level, I would be like, ah, if I was in the room, I would have been like, let's not do this. Um, that. Uh, yeah, I just think I got. I think I'm, I like my barometer for these things. Uh, I I think that, for instance, Mer- there's only a couple of Shakespeare plays I haven't gotten around to reading. I've read most of them, and one of the few that I had never read was Merchant of Venice. I just never gotten around to reading it. And then finally, one a while ago, I saw a production of it, and I was kind of stunned. By the fact that I'm like, oh, like, why do people still do this one? This yeah. is a weird one to do. Um, I feel the way about Othello as well. But Othello is a little more interesting to me because Iago is such an interesting character. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a real shit, you know? Like, that he's really like the, the, the juice of that play is like, he's such a tricky piece of shit that it's like, oh, it's kind of fascinating to watch him like, perform this con uh-huh. Merchant of Venice what's weird to me about it because like the con that um, is pulled in Othello basically is a, a, a weird complicated romance and jealousy relationship thing so even like even pulling out some of the racial dynamics from it it doesn't feel to me fundamentally about race Okay, it feels like it. it's about jealousy and about it's in the uh, title, though. What? Oh, yeah, Othello, the Moor. <laughs> yeah. um, the, but it doesn't feel like it's... You could eliminate that... If you could do a production of it where you cut that and you just made it like about a jealous guy and eliminate all reference to race, and there, you'd still have a story to hang it on. Oh, okay, okay, I got you. That it'd just be like... A guy who's like gets in the head of this guy, gets in the head... It makes him think like, uh, you know... Makes him doubt... Uh, Desdemona, etc., sets up this house of cards and knocks it down. Sure, right. Um, am I unplugged? What am I doing? Here? No, you're no. Oh. Um, Do you walk around like this? Uh, usually we have two lobs, which is what someone's giving us a second, a second lob this evening. Oh, but are you gonna walk? You gonna... first episode? I walked on the entire stage. Like oh that. my! Uh, for those of you who don't know, I am holding a. Uh, microphone like an actual I mean, that's everyone listening didn't know <laughs> and uh I, jd just there wasn't me. like a select part of the listener show was like no nah, yeah we know we know what you're doing <laughs> well, actually, actually i'm talking to the three of us people who people <laughs> subscribers to 12 hour prime uh who, who have the the live video feed while we record it <laughs> no i'm talking to the three of us who know yes so like when i say those you don't know the three of us are who are, will probably listen to this podcast we, we know that it's, not, that it's a mic. Um, the thing about Merchant of Venice that's weird to me is that it's not just based... All right. It's not just that it's an anti-Semitic play. It's that it's based on, like... It's not even based on the things that people in our, in our world who are anti-Semitic... Uh, it's outdated anti-Semitism because, like, the, one of the main things is like charging interest on a loan, mm-hmm. which yeah. is no longer a controversial uh, practice. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that it's like 
that's like a big deal uh-huh. in the play. And it's like, well, no one in the audience understands why that's a big deal because right. that's an accepted practice. If you loan someone who is a stranger <laughs> money, yeah. part of the way the system works is like, yeah. yes, you'll pay some, some, uh, yeah, that used to be illegal in, I think, you know, in Christian Europe, I think, right? Yeah. Um, I just remember seeing that. I think I saw it at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. And I remember being like, why are they doing this play? Like, this, it's weird. Yeah. Uh, when they got a lot of other plays to choose from, they can do anything they want. It's weird because I don't find it an entertaining enough play to justify the, the, that weirdness. I want to go back to the, the uh, Breaking Bad discussion real quick about, yeah. like, you know, I, I started to realize, you know, just from another perspective, you got these parents who are, like, exhausted. They're watching these cartoons, like these kids' cartoons, and they're just kind of like, oh, you know, I don't, I don't want to care about this stuff. Yeah. And, like, just... There's an attempt to be like, you know what? You guys probably like Breaking Bad, right? The uh, the audience, you parents. But we're gonna give you this toy, this thing to, for you to enjoy that your kids won't understand. Just like a five minute break in a show full of like people arguing with, you know, about about cookies. Uh-huh. You know, like this one hour of. Sh- oh, doing a spoof on Sesame Street, Breaking Bad. Yeah, it's just like it's like a, a morsel for parents. I love that description of Sesame Street. The show full of just. People arguing about cookies. Which is like, that does sum up a lot of... It's often like somebody like who's disappointed and doesn't know how to, under, like, how to react to it. And then they're like, well, well, Linda, you should tell her how you feel yeah. in a respectable voice. You know? But then after seeing all these spoofs, the kids, all they learn is, if Lisa doesn't like how many cookies she's got, you got to rape Lisa. Right, I, that's what she's. I'm, I'm in favor. I'm in favor of, what, of addressing the idea that rape exists. Um, I'm in favor of there being. I, I think that all chill, all the best children's entertainment has levels that go over kids' heads that are for adults. Uh, mm-hmm. I do think that there are, um, and I don't think doing a special letters spoof is that it's. The, the worry for me isn't that, oh, kids are going to seek out the source of the spoof and then find a show about sex crimes. <laughs> it's that there's something to me that's unsavory in the first place about... I do think that they did a deep throat parody on, uh, on Sesame Street or uh, whatever the modern... What would be like the modern equivalent of a deep throat parody that, that they Nail would do on... Uh, that's that, so that, specifically that. political that it's just a, <laughs> and outdated at this point. There'd be like Sesame Street does a spoof of a porn movie relating to the 2008 presidential campaign. <laughs> that's like the only one I know. So, um, the the nude leaks of all celebrities. Oh yeah. Uh yeah, like well, there's a leak in our boat. <laughs> all our nude photos fell through it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought that they would reintroduce nude photos. Well, I mean, it'd be rude photos. It'd be people be people looking mad. That's different though, because I think one of one of the classic Muppet Show episodes is the episode where the rats are stealing everyone's clothing, and uh, well, the Muppet Show and Sesame Street are very different. It's true. Well, not to you. You think they should have fuck jokes in all of them? Um, The uh, God. um, (laughs) For those of you who don't know, Connor is now pointing at JD. Um, <laughs> like that, 
Wow, this is a. I, you, people must be like approaching you all over the place. It's like you have that mic. Not really. No. no. Oh, really? No. Uh, people in Astoria, there's a lot of people like sort of smiling, looking at us, wondering what we were doing. It also looks like, in a weird way, like if somebody had some kind of social anxiety. And it's like the only way he can get through life is by like now. Acting like he's always on a talk show yeah. or something. Yeah. yeah. That's what it looks like right now. Yeah. Who's, who says that's not the case? Okay, can you say that again for a second? Oh, yeah, sure. I'm not holding the mic. <laughs> That'd be great if it was like a 12-hour day prime and it, you guys hooked up like a webcam. <laughs> Someday we can offer that, at least for one episode. If they ever invent it. Webcams? Yeah. If they ever met webcams. Um, what do you think about Taylor Swift, Alexis? Uh, you know, I, I think- he, now, before he says the opinion, I want to st- say to our listeners and viewers that as you started giving the answer, you started violently shaking your head no. Like, so whatever you're about to say, your visual language was like, uh, I, uh, and you were just shaking your head no, 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 no. So you're either about to say something negative or you're about to say something positive, I, but I, you're kind of reacting against it or nervous. I think she gets a bad rap. All right. And uh, too much of a bad rap. Well, I think it's coming around, though. Saturday Night Live did a um, pretty funny uh, pre-taped thing on in the last episode where it was a commercial for, like, people – Suffering from anxiety, the anxiety of realizing that they like Taylor Swift. Oh, yeah. And it was people like listening to the new song and realizing it's Taylor Swift and then immediately going uh-huh. to like Vertigo, um, which was a pretty funny way of like addressing uh, – it, it both was like critical and also critical of people who are critical. It kind of got everybody. Right. Oh, yeah. Um, well, I, I like her music less now, now that I like her more. Weirdly, hmm. but right, I know what you mean. Uh, you know, I just don't like it when people like gang up on anybody. Is that how you felt when Qaddafi uh, was murdered? <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> uh, I am wearing a Qaddafi shirt. Um, yeah, you are wearing a shirt. As a picture of Muammar Qaddafi, it says, "Hey guys, back off." <laughs> um, let's um. If you want to tweet at Alexis with the hashtag leave Qaddafi alone and you can spell it there's a number of ways to there's a number of ways to spell Qaddafi so we'll let it we'll just see which one uh, hash, oh, which hashtag you, catches on you guys should also hear Alexis can you just do real quick that character you've been working on uh, Qaddafi duck <laughs> uh, for what everything's okay so you're despicable as Qaddafi duck yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. oh I thought you meant Qaddafi duck like that's a, like somebody saying Qaddafi duck. Like, look oh no, but that was a great joke for Qaddafi duck to make. Yeah, so he's kind of like he's oblivious. Oh, here, here's the sketch: is it's uh, Momar Qaddafi duck <laughs> talking, and he's about oh, to he's about to be shot, and then someone goes Qaddafi duck, and he goes what? <laughs> Actually, Qaddafi duck would be a great uh, Sesame Street parody. And uh, they could have uh, like them, like like uh, some geese going to his pond, and like pull him out from under the pond. If it were down to JD, JD would have done lots of 9/11 things on <laughs> Sesame Street, just about the numbers. I also like the idea that uh, Warner Brothers brothers characters are part of the Sesame Street universe. <laughs> that like 
Daffy Duck can just show up in a, in a Sesame know, Street. There was a there was a time when an idea like that was like a spoof of corporate synergy, but the fact that Disney now owns the Muppets and Marvel and Star Wars and Star Wars, um, even though I actually think it's a great trailer, it is hilarious to me that the trailer for the Avengers: Age of Ultron prominently features a song from Pinocchio. Mm. Have you seen that, JD? No. What is it? Well, first of all, I do think it's the... Even though I do think it's an effective thing to do in trailers, one of my favorite things that makes me laugh in modern trailers is that how many modern trailers feature a cover of a song that previously was like maybe kind of poppy or silly, but it's now kind of slowed down and sinister. Um, So you'll have like a Kate Bush song, but it'll be like, if I only be running up that hill you know they'd have like a right and it's like a lot more they make them all sound more like they're a nine inch nail song or something so the new one you hear this like haunting melody and you just hear i got no strings to hold me down and it's like a sinister version of the song i got no strings to hold me down to make me laugh and which is also sinister and, it's, and what what is the image that's over this? All the different haunting images of like destruction or ominous things that are about to happen. And there's a the villain. I love this place. The villain is made up of um, of like parts Booty of party. Iron Man prototypes that Tony Stark has made. Okay. And the villain actually says in the dialogue, uh, "I've got no strings on me." <laughs> like he's. Uh, like, I've got no strings to hold me down. Um, so I'm like, oh, this is like, it might be that it's well utilized in some way because the trailer is a really good trailer. But it's hard to believe that that song would have been incorporated into an Avengers movie if they'd had to pay Disney yeah, extra. Right. No, to, like, we've got to get the royalties right. uh, to Hakuna Matata. <laughs> it, right. means, it, yeah. it means no worries. For the rest of your days. <laughs> By the way, did you see the Star Wars Disney commercial for, uh, at Disneyland? No. Wait, no. what is this? There's a commercial where this family goes to Disneyland and they love Star Wars. And they have like all the gear and stuff like that. And then like the kid and the dad are, are doing the lightsaber battle, like just like with their fake lightsabers uh-huh. at Disney. And then all of a sudden behind the dad is uh, a Darth Vader appears. And then they start battling with swords. And it's like, come to Disney. What up? And I was like, wow. I, that happened. Like, a sword fight with like a big Darth Vader at Disney World. That, that would be awesome. That's bizarre. I also... I thought you were going to have a more cynical take on it. And you ended with, you ended with like, I love it. <laughs> well, I, I, I just say, obviously, that wouldn't happen. But, oh, God, that would be great. Like... <laughs> This segment is called Commercial Fantasies. <laughs> oh, man, I saw this commercial where Ronald McDonald was right there at McDonald's. They had lunch with him. Yeah. yeah. That'd be something, wouldn't it? Yeah. Oh, man, what if everything was McDonald's? <laughs> oh, boy, oh, boy. That's okay. I didn't want to run with this equipment. Imagine if they had like have coffee with Ronald McDonald Day. <laughs> Just grown men. <laughs> 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 
I think that there is something really funny about like specialty days with like corporate sponsors. Like, <laughs> have coffee with Ron McDonald, or like, <laughs> like wait in line with the Jolly Green Giant. And it's just like, what you said at a grocery store? Yeah, well, it's like a fake grocery store, and you walk up. Like he leaves, he keeps having to leave the line because he just forgets something. Right, and he comes back and he goes, "You in line?" And you go, uh, "Yeah." He goes, "Okay." And that's all—that's the extent of the interaction. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, G chat with Tony the Tiger. Right now, if right now if someone like came to me and just like this second, just based on what's in my head, was like, "Here's the budget. You can form a, a pop-up shop." I have the idea of just opening up a, a Jolly Green Giant Polar Shop that just sold their vegetables. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> all you had was Jolly Green Giant brand, like just frozen corn, frozen green, but not, not a lot because they don't. Have, they've got a lot, yeah. but not enough. Like if you had a whole store that was just like we got frozen, we got canned, we got frozen. Yeah. Like near Bryant Park, just like a big pop-up shop. You know that would that would actually hurt Green Giant because then like people would realize that it's like oh this stuff is all frozen bad you know but mixed in with like a lot of other stuff they look good but if they were just by themselves so just have images of like the isis beheadings and all that stuff on so just like in contrast yeah like oh this just looks pretty good i, uh, I prefer this to i get my head cut i off. mean if, if i have to choose between these two i'm gonna choose jogging and giant every time uh that's classic behavioral economics yeah um uh-oh. Uh-oh, that train's trying to sneak up on Connor. <laughs> uh, I have this, from where I'm standing, you're facing me and the train is perfectly over your shoulder and it, it's moving really slowly and it feels like it is trying to creep up behind you. We should say where we're at. Oh. We're at the 30th Avenue Grand train Avenue. station. Yeah, the Grand Avenue, which I don't know why they called it Grand back in the day and then decided to keep it for some things. Um... NQ train station. And yeah. In Astoria, Queens, above. Where ground. do you transfer Next to the F? Train will arrive in three minutes. To the F? Uh, at 34th Street, Herald Square. Gotcha. Are we better at the at this end of it then? Yeah. The downtown end? No, we're better on the other side. Oh, right. the front. The front the is front. the F. The front is where the F is. Oh, yeah. You get right up. Yeah, oh, man. that's true. I was pointing at the fr- uh, front of the. I was thinking of. Oh man, there's a backup. Look at it. There's one train. There's another train, and there's another train that's just what, left. Th- what if it's like maximum overdrive? <laughs> the trains have become sentient. I love the maximum overdrive as a kid. Love it. Love that movie with the with the the, the Boy Scout who knows uh, like the like the car learned uh, Morse code. For some reason, and he's like, "Oh, it's Morse code. He wants us to fill him up with gas." Uh, do you know who directed Maximum Overdrive? Is it Stephen King? Stephen King yep. directed Maximum Overdrive. Because everyone knows that trailer for it, right? And do you know who did the score to Maximum Overdrive? No, I don't know that. Connor? No. Nope. ACDC. Oh, I wish Joe Bob Briggs taught me that. Didn't I'm going to tweet stuff. a picture. I'm going to tweet it as some little boco for the people of the trains backed up. Great. Uh, what should people, I say? People are going to love to just be like, wait till you get to the trains backed up section. <laughs> we reference it for a half a second to know to nothing, but here's a photo. 
I would, whoa, wait till you get to the part where the trains are backed up. What if there was like a, what would you, what would you say about a, a, a Sesame Street, like mice beddings? You know, like ISIS beheadings. <laughs> JD's fine with anything. Like I'm JD fine. is it, like the ultimate Sesame Street libertarian. Oh my God. Uh, what the hashtag should we have for the trains backed up? Sesame Street libertarian. <laughs> hashtag, uh, hashtag maximum overdrive. At, then tweet at Stephen King. Emilio Estevez in that movie too, I believe, right? Yes, he is. What a weird movie that is. I love that movie. I love the scene where she's running down the street, or somebody is, and you see how the different ways they died. Right. And one person is like a car window, uh, like choked them to death. Uh, somebody had their headphones go up too loud and has blood coming out of their ears. Right. That's the one that kills me. It's like, like how loud and how long did you And I love the idea that like the people that make car stairs are like, yeah, I guess let's just make them go as loud as they can, huh? And the manufacturer's like, well, you know, it's going to make their ears oh, bleed. We have our like, own train car. Look at us. Wow. We got our own train car. We got our own train car and we're heading down the tracks. We got our own train, train car. car. We got our own train car and we're heading down the tracks. Oh, uh oh, you don't know what beautiful. Oh, uh oh, you, you don't, don't know, know what beautiful. beautiful. <laughs> oh, that's, yeah. Um. Um, so. They've recently updated the subway maps to include that little square thing up in the top right corner. What's that do? It tells them, tells people what the late night paths are. Oh. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. Um, what else, Alexis? Are you coming all the way in with us? I actually have dinner waiting for me stop so I'm getting off at 36th Avenue oh dinner waiting for you dinner at the stop so like right at the station no my apartment near the station uh, and what's your dinner that is waiting for you uh, it's gonna be uh, some uh, chicken breast with some rice and some salad are you preparing this when you get home yeah because I'm the only one who knows how to make rice that's not true Wait, is that true your girlfriend doesn't know how to make rice well yeah uh, it's not true in total uh, but Alex's face was contorting in a way that said that this, the answer to this question was more complicated than he was willing to get into. I'm the only one who knows how to make rice. It's a grand <laughs> well, claim. I, rice is hard. Rice is secretly hard. You need, you know, you need a lot of practice. I'm pretty good at it, so that's all. You know, I don't like to brag. So are you cooking dinner? Or are you just cooking that part of dinner? Uh, yeah, everything else is basically done. I'll just quickly put the rice on, and we'll have some dinner. That'll be it. White rice, white rice brown rice? Yeah, white rice. Long grain, short grain? Long grain. Uh, do you put any sort of seasoning on it? Yeah, just a uh, little bit of salt, a little bit of oil. That's it. That's great. Yeah. Now, do you put anything on your chicken and rice when you eat it? Just uh, some sea salt and black pepper. That's all. Oh, wow. I, I usually put some sort of sauce on mine. Some sauce? Too salty. No, it doesn't have to be a salty sauce. All right. All right. That makes sense. I'm it's good to have you on the podcast. Yeah, it's great. This is great. It's it such a great. treat. I'm such a big fan. Uh, do you, you have any questions for the viewers? Uh, you know, my only question is, like, why don't Democrats stand up for Obama? That's the only question I have. That's a good topic to go for. What's your Twitter? Okay, bye. Uh-oh, now there's people on the train with us. That's okay. We're allowed to talk still. That's true. 
Oh. Oh, oh, you don't know we're Beatles. You know what bugs me? What's that? Is knowing that, like, I don't have a problem with liberals who have um, issues with Obama. I have issues with Obama. I think that's totally fine. Right. My problem is there's that stupid little 10 to 20% of people who just flip back and forth on every other election they'll vote Republican or Democrat they're kind of right. they are the ones who sort of I don't know, even have as big a problem with the 40% they're just outright against him so I'm like ah, that's just what you believe Right. You, I think you're misguided but whatever but that flippy flop middle section that's sort of like the independent swing voter is that I know that like five years from now six years from now whatever they're going to change their opinion of Obama from what it is right now and it's always just so useless it's like I always have someone always being in panic mode and always like idealizing 10 years earlier right like the people who like had an issue with Clinton during impeachment but then a decade later were like oh things were better under Clinton yeah that always uh, bugs me what's that that always bugs me yeah I don't have as much of a problem with I actually prefer people changing their opinions on things so I think the process of moving back and forth from an opinion, uh, the friction is what actually gains you the knowledge of it. See, I, don't... I, I think if you stay in one opinion, you just stop thinking about it. And if you ch- are changing your opinion, the whiplash of going back and forth, you start learning things each time. Maybe. I, I got I, my own laugh. Yeah, you don't need to, to hold that. the mic out to me. Finally. I got um, my mic. No, I think when every four to eight years you completely change your opinion on what approach to government you want, then what you end up with is progressive politics are never able to... The changes, by the time they start taking effect, they start being repealed. Sure, I think that's true. But I think that also speaks to a problem with our governmental system. system that yeah. It does... I think people should be allowed to have their opinions changed. You know what I mean? Like, I think... Oh, yeah. Um... Yeah, I think that's the both the. Yeah. My problem is that people don't give things enough time to actually take effect, so that by the time Clinton era regulations start really having an impact, they're already being repealed by the George W. Bushes. Right. And then by the time the George W. Bush things start being effect, then Obama gets blamed for them. And then by the time Obama's regulations start taking effect, whoever's next, which I. I hope and I pretty confidently assume it will be Hillary Clinton barring some unforeseen event. At least if we have Obama followed by Hillary, I think some of Obama's changes will take effect under Hillary in a way that will benefit her. Right. I also think I also think there's major problems with government in terms of how quickly and how soon things do take effect. And I think it's because we've been we're too deep in the system. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think there's a lot of things that are just stuck now. You know what I mean? They are what they are. Yeah. Um, yeah. This has been the 12 hour day political roundtable. Yep. That's, that's as political as we get. Um, that, it's as political as it gets. Right. Um, gotta make sure I'm on mic. Yeah, you're still on mic. Uh, can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, yeah, but you're getting my, my feed in your cans. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. That's good. Let me see. Hold my mic. Now I'm on JD's mic and I'm on my mic. Yeah, you're good. I just didn't know if you could hear it on your uh, Sennheisers. Give me a test, test, test. Connor, test, test, test. Yeah, you're good. I can hear you. And the problem is it's in that ear if you're also right there. 
so I can't oh. differentiate between real Connor and and radio Connor. Is it real or is it radio? Real deal. Hashtag real deal. So you know what's funny is that you see that billboard, right? That empty one. Yeah. Um, we're about to enter the Queensboro Tunnel. And there's an empty billboard. For the longest time, there was a a watch commercial. Oh no, I can't remember what the brand was. That's pretty funny. And every time I went to the thing, I really liked the watches, and I would go, you know, someday I want to get one of those watches because they're really nice, like platinum watches, but they had like this like colorful. Yeah. They're very colorful, and I was like, oh, if that, if I'm going to get something fancy, I want something that looks like colorful like that. And I remember, like every day, I'd be, like, huh, I want one of those watches, huh? And now that it's gone, I've completely forgotten what brand they were. Let's ask people to find out what that watch was. I think it was Rolex. But I don't even know. I feel like you remember that. That's like, Rolex is like Rolls Royce and watches, right? Right. Um, but yeah, it's funny now that I just, I don't. Like, every day I would think about it. And that wasn't even enough. I guess it entered my subconscious, and now I will think I'll be making a free choice later in life, but really I'll just be enacting the years of uh, marketing that have been done to me. Uh, what time do we start recording? What time is what? Do we start recording? Uh, I think it was after 11. I think it was like 11.20, 11 11.30. So where... We're heading towards the home stretch. Yeah. Um, how have you been feeling other than career-wise? How are you, how are you feeling personally? Really good. Yeah. Really, really good. I found a really good balance in things lately. Um, just, you know, I've had a lot of stressful stuff. Like today, I should have been really stressed out, but I wasn't. No, you were cool as a cucumber all day. And thanks. Oh, you want to know what it is? You should move your lot to the other side. You're turning away from your mom. You're talking. There yeah. we go. Yeah. What, I want to know what it is. Uh, what what is? You said you want to know what it is. Uh, yeah. What it is is, I think. Um, I've worked on a lot of things this past year. Been put in a lot of very stressful, high pressure situations, and they've all sort of worked out. I feel like I've gotten over the hump of I don't know what I'm doing. I gotta figure it out, and now I sort of have a pretty good sense of how things work. Yeah. So I'm not surprised by the things. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I know. Okay. Well, it's gonna feel like this at this point, and then this is gonna happen, and then it's all gonna work out, and then this is gonna happen, and then this. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm not like every step of it doesn't cause me anxiety. It's just like, yep, I know it's coming next, and I know mm-hmm. it's coming next, and I know it has, has to be done. I don't know. It's a good feeling. Are you worried that your uh, logical response to high-pressure situations will cause people to call you J.D. Roboto? No. In college, Nick Vitale accused me of being robotic and not having a personality. Uh-huh. What did you say? Well, he didn't even know me back then. He wrote it in a blog post. And you didn't know him? No, he was like part of our group of friends. I don't know. It was a weird thing. Um, no, I don't think that. But he used the word robotic at one point. He didn't use roboto? He didn't go for that joke? No, he didn't. People have used, throughout my life, though, people use that joke. Yeah. 
Um, other things are good. What's though. more? What's more wow. common, rubato or tomato? Tomato. Yeah. Yeah. I do get thank you very much, JD. That's nice though. That's a fun yeah. little song. And then yeah, other life stuff, family stuff's going well. My sister just gave a TEDx talk. Yeah. Which was fun. She sent me over to do a little editing pass of it, which was it was fun to like read the like TEDx talk she was gonna give and like edit it. Both from like, oh great, my job is to, like take this in, understand it, and simplify it. And so in doing so, I like understand better now what she does. Yeah. Um, so that was fun. She's doing really well. Um, I have to sign a document. My parents have me sign a document that, like, if something happens to them, saying that I'm like uh, legally responsible for like determining the what happens to my other sister in like, yeah. emergencies, which was like a one of those like things where, like, oof, yeah, oh man, that'd be a tough thing, yeah, um, and yeah, otherwise. Same money stuff we were talking about earlier. Uh, dating wise, things are going great. Been going on dates and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Nothing too serious. But, you know, interested in relationships, etc. Yeah. But also not like. Not terrified of them like I was for a period of time, and also not like desperate for them, which I think is also a dangerous thing. Like a good medium medium sizzle. Yeah. So it's been fun. I'm feeling really good. It's yeah. Good. How have been things with you other than career? Other than my what? Career. Um, good. Um, yeah, I'm a little bit. I'm a little bit uh, sad that this is the first Thanksgiving, really since I think 2002, that my parents haven't come to New York. Right. Because that's really, that's become our Thanksgiving tradition. We did it all through high school where we would, obviously there was a period where I lived in England where Thanksgiving was not a thing that happened. Right. Uh, And they wouldn't fly over to England for Thanksgiving because they'd usually be going one way or the other for Christmas. But since I've been living in New York in 2002, I think every year since then they've come to New York for Thanksgiving. And so my sister lives in Jersey City, um, so we'd have it. Right. And they just weren't sure whether or not he would be uh, cleared to fly. Right. You know, and whether it was a good idea. Um, so my sister and her boyfriend are going to Missouri for Thanksgiving, but I am staying here. Um, which. It's a little bit sad, but um, I'll be in Missouri then a few weeks later. Yeah, uh, I haven't been home for Thanksgiving in a while. Yeah. Years and years and years. Yeah. Um, but, um, no, uh, pretty pretty good. Uh, and uh, trying to think. I've been really busy lately, but in a good way. Um, it stresses me out like when I look at when I look at my week ahead and there's something every day that like that right. does stress me out because then it feels like oh I never have time to just relax or take care right. of things or you know um, 
but it's all stuff I want to be doing, so it's not a bad problem to have. Sure. Um, I do feel like I'm uh, closest to not working my day job anymore, and I feel like when that happens, I do feel like there. This is. I mean, it's pretty much been the only day job I've had. Right. I had some day jobs when I was an actor in London, but they were mostly like temp sort of things. And then I worked at a preschool for a couple of years, and then since like, I got my current job, I got as soon as I moved to New York, and I just held on to it. Right. It's been one that's been flexible enough for me to do other things, but I don't think I will. Weirdly, I don't think I will ever have another regular job after this. I think everything I do will be kind of weirdly in some way connected to performing or comedy or creating like I feel like it'll all right. be connected in some way even if it's yeah, like at the simplest level it'll be like oh I'll coach improv teams right and at more complicated levels it'll be like oh this project will come up or that project will come up or a teaching thing or you know have you thought but, about directing again directing like what I mean I never uh, really have directed web stuff TV stuff films like when I you think you'd be a good director. When you say directing again, what do you think of as a thing I've directed before? I guess the stuff that you did when you were a kid. And <laughs> like, I that was more just. I would argue the like the movie that you made in Missouri. But I didn't direct that though. I bet you had a pretty good say in some of the uh, decisions. Some of it. Like I bet you were equipped to direct things. You know I. I don't know that I think I'm good I think I'm good at um, post-production directing I don't think I would be particularly good at on-set directing really? I don't like all that stuff you know? what? actors? Um, just like setting stuff up to film it like but that's not your job as a director your job is to say do it like this yeah set it up here you don't set it up everyone else sets it up and then you go great looks good and then work with your performers uh, see, I've never done that. Anything I've ever, quote unquote, like directed, it feels like I've had to like set everything up, right. do everything. That's right. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I guess the closest thing would be like the. You'd be a good director. The well, thank you. I think the, like the old enough to be president would be like that would be an example of something that I like kind of directed. I would like to see you direct something narrative. That's kind of narrative. Like a short, well, not, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Something that you are choosing where the camera is and how the camera moves and then how the performers are performing. Yeah. I bet you'd be a really good director. I just don't know how I'd ever get into those circumstances. Just ask the people around you. That... I don't know how to choose the right lenses or whatever. That's not your job. You get a DP to do that. I don't know how to find one of those. Um, do you know who Tom Levin is? Yeah, I'll just get him to direct it. He's better than me. Why would I direct it if Tom You're doing like a, an evasion bit, but what I'm saying is the what? Like, you're doing like a negation bit, I feel yeah. like. But I'm, I legitimately think you'd be a good director. Well, thank you. I mean, I th but I think I'd be good at, once everything was filmed, directing from the stuff that was... Being an editor. You think you'd be a good editor. Um, yeah, but I don't want to just be like someone's editor where like a director can come in and be like, don't do that, let's do it like this, let me see another pass. 
like I feel like I'd be good at the actual like making the decisions for what everything's going to be once I think you'd be a good director uh, I, I would I would have also the stuff that you claim that you don't know about I think yeah. you do know about mm, like I the think fact I... that you're mad about what's being cropped in the Simpsons is like yeah you understand like you understand lensing right like great nanomorph lens going to give you more laterally regular lens even already more. like I always get a little bit confused when people say anamorphic lensing I'm like oh, but okay. you could look that up in 10 minutes and just know it but other people are so good at like that like when I hear people who are actually good at directing talk about stuff they get so passionate about how like this kind of lens or this kind of film stock or we'll do this or we'll do a tracking shot or this and I'm always just like ah, let's just film it quick I just want to get the footage done so I can start fixing it in the editing. Right. I bet if you were behind the camera, it'd be different, though. It's very different. When you are the one making the decisions, it's very different than seeing people make the decisions. But I wouldn't even know what to decide about. I would just be like, it doesn't matter. Let's just film it on whatever we have. Like, when I see the way other people are so careful about the decisions they make, and I feel like my thing would be like, let's just film it on whatever, and whatever it is, we can fix it in post. Right. And I, like and I'd almost rather direct something made out entirely out of found footage. Okay. Which is a thing. Uh, nothing gives me more pleasure than just taking footage and editing it into something. Um. We're in the 34th Street station. We're now at the 34th Street station. We're transferring from the N train to the F train. I don't realize I said that. What are you saying about me? Nothing. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Wait, that might be us. You mind, it was run us. for no reason. You Wait, saw was... another man run and you ran. I know, that's what I do. It was exhilarating, though. Oh. <clears throat> this is always a weird station to me. So did you tweet out see what we should do at our show? What? See what we can do at our show? Yeah. We're going to tweet out to see what people thought we should do at our show. I thought you said I already did tweet out about that. You said that. Oh, and then you said, oh, you did tweet out. No, it was whether or not you posted about the show. I thought I did. You, po- you tweeted about the show that existed. Yeah. You also had the idea to tweet out to see what we should do at the show. Okay, I'll do that now. Is this the coat that you had Terry wear? Yeah. It's great. I think you should wear it in the show. In what show? Our show. The JD show? Oh, that, that Terry, the Terry show? Terry show, yeah. 
Keith's there. He is? Alright. was the ambient noise of New York City. Connor's getting close to whisper something. phone call before I answered some of the questions that some people tweeted. Oh, really? Yeah. What were um, the questions? I don't oh, remember sorry, now. I don't remember now. Hey, have I ever told you that... Uh, here's a little fun fact. Okay. I don't think I've mentioned this before. You tell me if I have. Okay. That when I was first taking improv classes and I was very nervous about whether I'd be able to come up with premises for scenes. Like in one of those oh, yeah, classes. I this. Yeah, you yeah. know this? Yeah. I've already said it, so... Right? On yeah. The podcast? Yeah, you have. Yeah. We can finish with people that no, maybe no. haven't. Okay. Go back to the previous episode and find out. Yeah, just go back and find it. <laughs> um, I believe it was episode two that you mentioned this. Yeah. Oh, probably because I was in the apartment. I probably pointed to them. Wait, pointed to what? What do you think? Off mic, what do you think? You had the premises ready to go. What premises? Three Stooges? What? Three Stooges? No. Okay, then I haven't said this before. You said that you had premises. I had one premise that was a backup premise. Right, which was? Which was, uh, uh, you shouldn't have hired me to uh, be the entertainer at your kid's birthday party. Right, exactly. Um, now it's a burnt premise. Right. No, but I bought a bunch of Three Stooges DVDs with the intention of watching them to get the premises from them, thinking that those would be good. You conniving uh, weirdo. Well, no, my thinking was, I never, I still haven't watched most of them. I mean, I, most of them are still in the wrappers, and I never ended up, but my thinking was that the premises would be so old and unusual that they would effectively be new again. I was trying to think of, like, what jobs can you be... You're trying to pull into old Catskills jokes that no one's used and be like, no, like, no one's have things know. like a dog washing business or, right. uh, you know, uh, we're detectives for this or right. something. That uh, we're old clock collectors or something like right. that. Uh, and my feeling was like, oh, if I, if I can't think of something, then I can draw on these for material. Right. And it'll be fresh because no one else will be looking to these for inspiration. Right. It wasn't about, like, stealing jokes. It was more just about, like, trying to have more professions in my head right. from those things. And then I never ended up using them. And I very quickly realized, like, oh, that was a ridiculous right. thing to be uh, pulling from. Yeah, it, it was. Uh, but that was at the point where I was, like, really worried that, oh, I'll just never be able to think of anything. Except, like, I'm a grave digger. and start with, like, pretending to dig a grave. I'm trying to think. Um, I don't think I ever had 
every now and then I'd think of something I'd be like, ooh, I should do that in an improv scene. And it might come up months later, the opportunity to do it, and I'd be like, ooh, yeah. I'll do it. Um, I don't think I ever had, like, prefab ideas, though. I think I would think of them and be like, oh, only this could happen. Yeah. And then I would just forget about it the moment I was on stage. I think the only prefab thing I always had was usually now I guess I'm not even a free that doesn't even count that's improv where I could tell if a show was too we're treading on normal territory like the first two scenes were like pretty standard I would be like well I'm gonna wait for the group game and really pull out something yeah. crazy really just go crazy do something weird um Like, in Creature, I would just do a lot of group games, I feel like. Mm-hmm. And in Rocks. I really like group games the most on Herald Night. Because I could initiate bizarre things. Yeah. And people would go with them. But I don't know, as far as pre- like ideas that I like had in my pocket, I don't think that I really ever had any. For me, it was there was just like a very brief phase where I was like nervous about... I was con- not even nervous, just concerned, like, oh... I need to have stuff just in case. I need to right. have more stuff in my brain. Right. Uh, but it never would end up coming up, fortunately. Like, even in classes, it would never even end up coming up. But I I was just like, I better, like, because I'm going to run out of ideas pretty soon. Right. Um, F train heading down towards uh, the East Village. Have you gone any? When's the last time you went on a date? Have you ever gone? Have you gone on a date? Um, in recent memory? No. This is I don't think I. I don't think you could say one, I've been on a. Two, three, on like a understood date. To, You've been on date-like things, probably. Maybe. Uh, I think like I can think of a couple. For me? Yeah. That are what? In what way are they date like? Am I aware of their dates? Mm, no, it's just you this and a person going out. Yeah, I mean I've been social with people, but right. not in things where I'm like, this is a date. Right. Um, but I'm saying there are probably things that probably could have been considered dates. Right, if someone else was on them. Maybe. Even just in the context, of the, yeah, okay. Um. But I also don't, like, I don't know that, uh, I was always more relationshipy than datey. Right. So, uh, like, I wouldn't say that I've ever been on something that, like, when you think of what, like, going on a date is. Right. I don't, I wouldn't say that You've since high school that right. I, I've just gone straight to being in relationships. Right. And within the context of those relationships, you do things that are like dates. Right. But the process of like dating, yeah. where you don't yet know what the status of it is. Yeah. No. And I couldn't imagine doing it. Like I, I genuinely don't think I could. I could imagine a context where I was doing something with someone I knew that could become a date. Right. But I don't think I could ever be in a situation like when people are just like, oh, I'm going to go on a date on this person. I don't really know them. And maybe through the process of dating, right. we'll, we'll figure out whether or not right. we want to keep dating. To me, 
that feels like a horror show. Like, I have no interest in that. Sure. Interesting. That's for other... That's... I mean, I don't... I'm not judging other people do. I'm just saying, like, I don't have the constitution for that. Like, do you, do you think it would just be fun to have, like, a zero... Sort of just like, well, whatever. This could be a disaster, but that's okay. No, to me, that would be the equivalent of going into a restaurant where they prepare you a, a, a meal, and you don't know what it is until you get it. You're just like... I just be like, oh, no. See, the, the fact that that was your metaphor is Lewis, because I think that would be a fine restaurant. I think that would be fun. Yeah, you would, but you... See, you like adventure, and I don't. I feel like you do, though. You know why you feel like I do is because you do. Maybe. But, like, I think you're... I feel like the stuff you do, like the presidential stuff where you're out in the field doing stuff... Yeah. I feel like you like following that adventure. Maybe yeah. Maybe you have to be in character to like adventure. Honestly, um, I'll, I'll tell you this. This is a fascinating thing. A fascinating... I feel like I, I you mentioned that anecdote. What? I think I know the end. What's good? Yeah, when we were at Gethard's wedding and there was a zip line. And, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And. Uh, uh, well, to paint the picture, people, um, Chris's wedding was at the summer camp and they had a high ropes course and a zip line that was really high off the ground that went across the entire lake. It was like and, a huge zip line. And to, but, and to get onto right. the zip line, you had to climb this very high like telephone pole, basically. Well, basically, so it's all these people standing around, you put on helmets, and then there's a layer at the bottom that comes you in. Then you have to climb up a regular, like a step ladder, that's leaned against a, a telephone pole, and you have to climb all the way to the top step of the t- step ladder, and then grab onto just um, poles on the other, on you know, like little uh, handholds that are stuck onto the, the telephone. It pole makes me sick just thinking about and it. And climb up them, and you know, it was like a lot of people doing it. But if you're someone that's sort of like fearful of heights or things like that. That's like a pretty scary thing. And so Connor, Zach Woods, and Will Hines spent maybe a good like half hour, 45 minutes, like psyching each other up and out about whether or not they should all be doing this. Because everyone was doing it. You kept seeing people it was like going kids across and the lake. People, and, yeah. All these people doing it, having fun. And all three of them also all were like, we have to do it. But we're like, I can't do it. This is going to be the end of me. It's going to be the, the, the absolute end. And Connor was stressed. And what was funny is that Connor had made an observation. Or someone made the observation, I think, to I, you. I made it. You made it. And it was very true, which was... If I was in my Olympic outfit, I would not be as scared. I still would be scared. But I would be significantly less nervous. Like, that is to say, if he were in character as someone who was gung-ho and not scared about things, Connor would himself have been not scared and gung-ho about this thing. And I knew it for a fact. It was it was like, if even though that outfit would have been less practical for doing it. Right. Like, that would have been a ridiculous, cumbersome, with fanny pack and yeah. everything. But I would have been in the mode of, of uh, oh, I'm doing something crazy because I'm doing this crazy character. Yeah. Which I think is so interesting to the point that it's almost like you should just be in character for different situations and not let people know. Or like, like have little like smaller medallions that can turn on or off. Like you know, like instead of having a whole outfit, have a necklace that represents that character. Yeah. It's sort of like the my um, uh, productivity shrine. It's like I know it's fake, but in thinking about it, then it makes me have to click into that. Yeah. 
Um, I'll also point out that the best part of that zipline performance is Connor made it up at the top, and then you get ziplined to the line, which is high above your head, and then they, they let you go. The only thing is you just have to sort of jump off because you're connected at your hip. Um, but Connor... Uh, Connor just instinctually sort of jumped off and grabbed the line in front of him, which is troublesome because, you know, the, the, the mechanism that rolls will naturally try to roll on that zip line. So if you put your hands in front of you, you're going to run over your own hands. So Connor accidentally instinctually grabbed the line. Then the person operating it at the top went, uh, no hands, no hands, no hands, yelled at Connor. And Connor had a moment of, like, Pretty pure fear of just like no hand, like this person's telling me to do something, so I'm more scared, so I'm gonna grab on. Oh, wait, they're saying don't grab on. I'm getting conflicting thoughts. What do I do? They're saying let go. So Connor just threw all caution to the wind, was just like, their command was to not, not touch, so he threw his arms out. And his legs up, and the the image that it looked the most like was if you remember back to like <laughs> early '90s, cars would have those suction cup Garfields where there'd be a suction cup on each leg and each arm, and they'd suction cup it on where it looks like it's like trying to get out. Yeah, it was that image flying through the air, just kind of <clears throat> like arms out. And it was you maybe can, one of the funniest things, and just everyone cheering and laughing. You can see, you can see, um, if you go to my Vine, you don't have to scroll back too far. Scroll back to, uh, was it late August? Late August on my Vine, you can see, um, someone filmed it. Second Avenue, East Avenue. I would also say that uh, one of the other funny things is that when I was up on the top get, getting uh, hooked in for the zip line and somebody yelled up uh, what do you want us to cheer for you and I I was terrified standing up on that platform hey, Laura. hey? Um, the, uh, I was terrified standing up on that platform and I said it doesn't matter and then everyone started cheering. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Oh, yeah. Which is a really funny thing. That's what you get when you do something like that at a summer camp full of comedians. Um, are you trying to get a hold of Keith now? Yeah. All right. Oh, wait. We should have walked to the house. What? Go back down to house. Back down to house. We're getting lots of suggestions for what to do. We're getting, but they're all involved things we don't have. We're getting juggle, uh, live cooking demonstration of the proper way to prepare rice. Um, let me see what else. Oh, yeah, hilarious. Some, well, not hilarious. Never what? mind. I'm not gonna say it's hilarious. What? Remember when I accidentally um, tweeted out my number? Yeah. Not tweeted out. Uh, said it on the podcast. Yeah. So, 
I just got a text from someone that was like, do improv, I've got a cold, slash hashtag 12 heads. And I was like, <laughs> is this Mark Ledgerwood's number? Like, I thought yeah. I had his number. Like, what, who? And then I was like, who? And I scrolled up and it was just someone that had texted me from that scenario. And I was like, God damn, damn, damn. You can't just keep using this. So Keith's coming at us from the other direction? Yes. Okay. Um, we're right near the Sunshine Cinema. Which for a while was my top theater in the What city. happened? What fell off? Uh, it's programming went down. Oh, yeah? Uh, I think it stopped programming fun, interesting stuff. Do you think they'll ever get it back? I think it, they will. I think the problem is they start, I think they start going more for the Angelica market. and they, um, I forgot their roots. Yeah, I don't know what happened, actually. It's just... Uh, Do you think you changed? That could be it, too. Um... Hey, there's Bethany and Keith. Oh, we're going to have some more guests on the podcast. Hey! Keith and... I've been recently watching Keith's work on uh, comic book men. Hello. Hello, Keith. Hello, Hello Bethany. Hello. You, hi, Bethany. How you guys hi. doing? Good. Good. When did you shave your beard? I shaved it on uh, November 1st for November. From November? You're doing, yeah. So you're growing in the mustache there. I'm growing in a mustache. I have only shaved my face. I haven't, like... Yeah, yeah. refreshed it since I shaved the full beard off that. Yeah. I've been dating him nice. for over two years and I've never seen his chin before. Yeah, what do you think? It's nice. He's got a good chin. It's yeah. Nice. Thank you. Yeah. That's sweet of you. How do you, are you pro chin or pro beard? <laughs> well, you're sentimental, so you probably missed the beard I, a I little. I missed the beard a little bit. But it's got to be reassuring. It's got to be reassuring, though, because that's a big question mark. Like that was a secret that Keith kept from everyone. <laughs> like I knew Keith back, no beard, Keith. Yeah, in, in college. college, I also had a bald head, right yeah. at the same time. I used to have a goatee, though. I don't think I was ever. I remember that. Anything. I remember that. I kind of like the goatee, but I don't think you could pull it off as an older male anymore. You know, it's a it's sort of a weird look these this day and age. Yeah. Yeah, I have to say I'm impressed. You got really strong features. Normally, like someone like me, I have a beard to compensate for like a lack of facial structure. That like when the beard's not there, it's just sort of like oh, no, it's like my face is like an improv scene in which no one makes any choices, and the beard is just like let's just make a choice, just do something. Uh, the funny thing about a beard is that I think when people look good with a beard, yeah, maybe you have the beard because you don't like your own face. But the beard looks good. Like, no one knows you're covering something up. They're like, oh, that makes sense. You have a beard. You look good with a beard. Yeah. Like, you have great facial hair. Thank you. But, like... And a great face. Ah, uh, thanks. I wasn't face. fishing. I'm just saying, like, you have, like, really solid bone structure. you got a good chin. Yeah, you've got a very solid, pronounced draw. Yeah. Because you, should you have be, such you a should big You should be more pro beard. no beard. He's got a good jaw there. It's just so much more maintenance. It is. You know, I'm really just doing this for charity, not for looks. Yeah, this is for the yeah. people. It. I. I have to shave like every day, and if I've come to the point now where I can get, I. I could probably go beardsy if I wanted to. It's yeah. not super thick, but it. I. It grows enough. I could definitely go full out mustache if I, I wanted to. I cannot picture you with a beard. Yeah, neither can I. That's when it grows in. It's something weird. It. You don't need it, JD. Right. I, I can grow a full-on mustache, though, in, like, four days, maybe. You should do it just for kicks. Like, have you ever done that? I In L.A., I almost just let it go. Because one day, I I let it go, on for, go for a while, and it was very long. And I was like, oh, God. It's, like, itches for me. 
So then I shaved everything except my mustache. And I was like looking at myself in the mirror and I was like, this looks strange. And I was like, what, should I just let this go? Just like, since I don't, I'm just working in LA. It's not like I'm like seeing that many people. Maybe I should let this go. And then I was like, no, fuck it. I shaved it. Well, mustaches are something inherently douchey about a mustache. But if you actually grow it and you maintain it, people are like, oh, that, that looks so interesting, you know? And also, yeah. well, mustaches, like I can already tell because... Like, uh, I remember Allison Rich a couple years ago, she tweeted a joke that I was like, okay. The, tw- the tweet was that uh, beards are spanks for men's faces. <laughs> and I was like, yep, that's true for me. That is like... Spanks uh, <laughs> like the... Spanks like the... Spanx, like the, 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 the yeah, the tight... That's that like a way of, like, disguising or covering Shaping up. your, yeah. Shaping. Um, but when I see how strong your jaw is... Uh, oh. Uh, a mustache on you is going to be your. I think you probably fall in. I think JD is probably true for you too because you're strong. You got strong bone structure. That there's that small percentage of people for whom a mustache is like you're a Tom Selleck, you're a Burt Reynolds. You uh-huh. can like wear this mustache and not look like a creep. I will tell you this. I there's one photo of me. Uh, you've seen it uh, where I have a mustache that's just for the photo that I think looks yeah. pretty good. Yes, I think it looks good. I think it looks good. But generally speaking, that is a trick of the moment of that moment. Generally speaking, if I have just a mustache, I am a total creep. I actually fully disagree. I bet you look great with a mustache. No. I bet you There's one good. photo where I think I look good with a mustache. I want to see this photo. Yeah, it's a good one. But at the time, those who were around when I took the photo were like, that photo is like a freak of the instant. Where it's like the other 23 frames per second of that moment <laughs> were me looking like, oh no, lock him away. Uh, be honest, was that the only photo that you took at that moment? Or were there a lot of them and that's the best one? There were other ones. I'm like, this one's good. The rest of them look creepo. Um I found that I think I look the best with like sort of like a five o'clock shadow thing going on. Yeah. Especially here, jaw wise. Yeah. Then I don't look good because this grows in thick and I don't. It starts looking like goatee-ish. So like ideally, ideally, like ideally, this would stop growing so much. This would keep how it is, and then I'd just get rid of the mustaches needed. I'm super. I feel like if JD had a mustache it would put you back a hundred years in terms of setting you in an era. I feel like your mustache would be like build a butcher and gangster. Like you'd be able to grow a great handlebar mustache and you would look like, yes, I'm the local uh, blacksmith. Well, can I admit something else today? I didn't do it, but I recently bought hair product for the first time in my life to start what kind of product? shaving my hair a little bit more. Uh, just like, uh, I don't even know what you call it. Fudge? Mousse? Uh, I guess Fudge? it's not. Uh, it's um, mud. Called Gel? like Gentleman's Crew, yeah, mm. just like it. <laughs> I wish that I thought you were going to say Gentleman's Cream, and I thought oh, no. like that's some weirdly like a hilariously yeah. gross name for a hair product. Like, no. oh, I use yeah. Gentleman's Cream on my white hair. milky, yeah. <laughs> no, but it actually <laughs> it nothing was, nothing it was beats making the, my hair the look shaping nice. of, of, of I didn't milky put it in Gentleman's today. Cream. All I think you have great hair though. I know, but um, the oh, problem. You're welcome. The problem I. No, I appreciate it. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying this self-deprecatingly. Like my hair no, looks bad. Hair. Also, Bethany, you have not been stingy with the compliments in the past ten minutes. So, <laughs> at a certain point, JD's probably skeptical because so, she's right. already heard no, you I'm, I'm talk about how great I would look with this I hypothetical mustache. You have a great mustache. Yeah, but Bethany, she I know. Has a great chin. That's she true. Got great hair. That's Thank true. You. But Bethany, I also know that you're like a compliment generating machine, and that you're like you think the best of people generally. I hope so. I mean, even that answer is, is, right. is hopelessly yeah. optimistic. <laughs> uh, that you're like, I bet if you did this, it would be terrific. 
because it would a, be. Yeah. Let's be honest. It's a good quality. We're like four pretty awesome people standing in a square, right? And so I agree with that. Anything yeah. that we go for is probably going to be awesome. I do want to see JD with the mustache because you're saying he's like a period. His, his face could be a yeah. different genre or a different era because he looks like Daniel Day Lewis. So him with a mustache reminds me of like Daniel Day Lewis. I think Daniel that's why Day I thought of Bill Butcher. Where Daniel Day Lewis has a mustache. I guess I think Daniel Day Lewis has a little. I, I his draws out a bit for. He's more of a yeah. He has draw. more of like Keith's right chin. Thank you. Because my problem is that like my jaw and neck just like blend into one another from a certain. No way, dude. Yeah. Oh God, no, no. I, I, no, they don't blend in. You have a short. You have a short distance from right. the end of your jaw to the beginning of your neck. Right. But it's not blending. Like, mine's blending. Mine is blending. Where okay. it's just like, there. it's just like, there's no clear point. It's like, because I have, like, back and shoulder hair, whenever I get my hair cut, there's frequently a point where when they're cutting in the back, because I usually grow it really long and then get it cut short, I'll have that point where they tense up, where I realize they, they realize they're no longer cutting head hair, and they're like, <laughs> oh, And... They're like cutting the hair that's growing up right. from my back, um, and uh, the point I'm making. There's not a clear mark between where my where this is. Like, what's neck and what's chin? You just don't sure. know. I have that too. I do. Look. Much less. So. I hate looking well, yeah, at pictures less, yeah. of myself from the side because I'm like, oh. I have the same thing. I think I my best, and also this. I see because we're just gonna put it out there. Everyone knows. Everyone has self conscious things about how they think they look best. For me, this is gonna. Oh, be the you, you got thing. a Streisand thing. I have a Streisand thing. Side. I have a side. Which side? This side. You like that side? I like this side. Let me much see. Better. Let me see. Why? I know the viewer can't see, but what is it? See, one thing that I noticed about JD from his uh, right side profile looks like a slice of pizza. It's a triangle. Right. Well, let me see the left side. More of a potato. <laughs> what? Pink! <laughs> um, that sounds just, like, it almost sounds like the makings of some sort of weird game show. Yeah. Pizza or potato? Yeah, but I think everyone's very acutely aware of their weird things that are... Yeah. My ears, oh, yeah. I have two different ears. I had really? surgery when I was much younger, so this ear just connects straight down and this one doesn't. Oh, interesting. But then my nose is lopsided. It's a thing that runs in my family. My grandfather had it, and I have it too. We can see like the As one you're nostril is. These things, I can see them. Yeah, there's a lot of like weird things like that that are like slightly off. I have like a button on my nose, like just a flat out button. Yeah, I've noticed. Flat yeah. nose, and then yeah, like Connor was saying, I. Have this... I don't think it's like. I wasn't it's not a flat that. nose. You have just like a nose dimple. You could like, I could have a small feast. Rest on my nose. <laughs> I don't think that's the top of my yeah, nose. Yeah, like a grain of rice. <laughs> I feel like you have. I feel like you have a good nose, though. Like it's like that's like a good quality. You're saying is those like a bad thing? Oh, I don't know. When I was a kid, and this is also like uh-huh. a kid thing, but I used to like cover my nose and be like, oh man, I got like good mouth, good teeth, like interesting color eyes, weird nose. Really? That's, yeah. I always like I had this thing that I would. Look like Halle Berry if I had a different nose. I feel like everyone has such weird things about how they look. Yeah. That no one else considers, but like in your head, you're like, man, this is glaring. This is totally obvious. I feel like mine are pretty obvious. Anyone would notice. I'm just balding. But I've worn hats my whole life, so it's not that big of a deal. But I look in the mirror sometimes and I'm like, oh, fuck. 
<laughs> you just are getting so bald. <laughs> Everyone knows that, though. I can't keep staring at himself in the mirror one day. Just so sad. You're oh, no. So sad. That's worse. And I was like, are you staring at yourself because you're sad that you're balding? And he went, no. And then, like, three days later, he's like, you know that time I asked you? <laughs> That's I was adorable. Really sad. But, like, also an hour had passed. Like, I stopped. <laughs> stop. I just staring like, Damn it. <laughs> it just stinks. <laughs> but that's the thing. It's not like... Like, when I see someone that has, is balding, I'm never like, oof, look at them. It literally just never crosses my mind. It just... To me, it's like a style of hair. Yeah. You know, for me, it's like, you're that much closer to death. Like, you're not a kid at all anymore. You're getting old. Mm. Sure. I could see I could see how you might take it that way. How old are you, Keith? I'm 28 years old. That's so young. How old are you? I'm 39. It's not bad. Not great. You're not even halfway. <laughs> halfway to death? Yeah. <laughs> he's not even halfway. Do you think, so Connor will die at 80? Or older? I said he's not even halfway. Right. Yeah, that, that doesn't imply anything, actually. Yeah. No, well, it implies that he will live to at to least, least 78 yeah. years old. Yeah. I think I might uh, die by like 60 or so. You? Just have a hunch. No, I feel like you're going to be one of those guys that'll be like 110 and be like, Oh, let's go for a walk. Hubba, hubba. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope so. I gotta get a dog. I think a dog would keep me excited and like youthful. I don't think you have a problem <laughs> getting excited. I know. I was like, he was like, yeah, I need something to keep me youthful. Not me. But I don't think. Not me. How often do you feel sad, Keith? In life? Yeah. Uh, it depends on like what's going on in my life lately, more than normal. Sometimes yeah. not at all. What yeah. time do we go on? Uh, nine thirty something. Okay. What time is it? 920. Oh, you should go. Yeah, we should probably head over. No, because, I mean, generally, are you offering me that? What's this that? This is the, the labs that okay. we're meeting Thank you for. So much. There are rechargeable batteries in there, so don't throw them out. Thank right. you. And they're, they're in there. They're in there. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, just because your demeanor is so uh, pleasant and cheerful that it's always interesting to me to hear when people are sad about Like, it's hard for me to picture you being sad about being bald because you seem so... Uh, uh, like you roll with things so well that it's hard for me to imagine that time being carved out in your day where you're just like staring at the mirror and being like oh boy oh no I mean I'm, I'm a sincerely happy person but like things get me down like anyone else I yeah that's normal I'm not in public when those things when like the things that get me down are happening yeah like for the most part I'm happy like playing Nintendo you know yeah when's the last time you've cried uh you can just give me a time you have to say what it was no I wouldn't even tell you what it was I don't remember Bethany do you have any idea July July. July. Oh, Bethany knows exactly. Had, uh, what, the shroom trip? I had like a shroom trip where I thought I died. What was in July? A what? I had a shroom trip where I convinced myself that I was dead. I thought you said a shroom uh, trip. I don't condone like... the use of, of shrooms or any drugs, but I had one particularly bad experience. I don't even experience them that often, but one was real bad. What was in July? She can whisper it. Oh. Yeah. Bethany and I were going through some tougher times, and I was crying. Yeah, that's yeah. part of life. Yeah. 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 That's, yeah. That's a very easy thing. What are you guys about to do now? Where are you going? Are you going home? Yeah. We really have plans. I, I told Bethany before we met up with you guys, maybe I'll go to the Steeler Improv show. Bethany's like, I'm probably not going to do that, but. Yeah, you don't have to come. You don't have to come. We don't even know what's going to be. It might not be improv. I came from a work. Now I really want to go. I don't like improv, but I would see. Go get dessert. JD wants it to be improv. I'm more open to anything happening. I'm this is the one, a rare oh. instance 
This is a rare instance where I'm more the wild card than you. Well, because I haven't done improv in like a year. I know. Oh, that's so exciting. Have fun. Thank you. Yeah. Go get dessert. Go eat dessert. I just want to... Yes. Hold on. Before we go, I just want to know, Bethany, how do you think our set's going to go? Oh, my gosh. I think you guys are going to be great. I can, I'm already regretting not being there. Uh, oh, if it's man. as entertaining as this, you guys would be fantastic. Oh. Yeah, I think it will be great. We might just recreate this. You guys are two nice people. Uh-huh. Yep. Great. Bye. Bye. Now we're just uh, hugging. I'm hugging Bethany, uh, and now I'm going to go around. I'm JD's hugging, hugging Bethany. Bethany, and I'm hugging... Ooh. This is what hugs sound Thank like you, on a podcast. Yeah, really Thank you, Keith. I give this back to you whenever you need it. Wednesday night. Perfect. Unless you need it more, but Wednesday night. No, that's perfect. No, that's great. No, will not. Later, guys. Bye, guys. Um, so that was fun. That was really fun. Um, and uh, yeah, check check those guys out online. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it is funny how everyone has their physical things though that they like think about. Yeah. About themselves. I recently. I've been trying to dress better. And I have feel been, like I have to do that soon. I can teach you some of the things I've been learning. Okay. So I've been like doing lots of actual research and trying things out. Yeah. And I bet I can recommend you places that would be good. Yeah. Um, oh, man. We should do a shopping episode. A style episode. Well, I, like... I bet we could convince one of our... My sister Female would... friends to take us shopping. Fashionably, my, my, well, uh, like Elena would definitely go with us. Yeah. Well, you know, last last year when I uh, Stone Cold Fox, which is a sketch team that I'm with on, at UCB, for some reason got a chance to audition for this uh, Lexus commercial on TV. Right. And one of the things that which they, you guys got. Yeah. And one of the weird things that they did, they were they were sending us all these emails that were really insistent. We we had to like, we need this today. We need this. Right. They're all like. We wouldn't hear anything for weeks. And then all of a sudden we get an urgent email that needed, like, we need these pictures today. We need this headshot. We need, you know, like, by the end of the day. Right. And they were a little bit stressy. You know, when you get stuff and you're busy and you're out doing stuff, suddenly, like, they need something by today. Right. And one of the things was that they wanted um, photos of us wearing a couple of different, like, contemporary cool looks. Right. Like, fashion looks and I was like I don't have anything like that yeah and so I was like kind of a little panicked about it and so my sister um who for a long time worked for uh Armani and uh she was like a fashion design major and everything in in college um she was like oh I'll just take you to Armani and we'll like get some stuff right uh at Armani Exchange and so, like, she picked out some stuff for me that I, I was like, what looks cool? I have no idea. Like, to right. me, it just it doesn't even occur to me. I, like, I wear things that I like that feel comfortable. Right. And, uh, and like, she picked out some stuff. But you know what I find hard for some reason is, like, I will wear something once and then I'll never be able to get it to look the same again. Like, it always feels like everything warps, everything... Uh, it feels like, and maybe it has to do with like the quality of the stuff that I'm buying. That yeah, very quickly, you should, you should get high quality stuff and take good care of it. What does take good care of it? I wash it, I iron it. What What do I need yeah, to do? Yeah, wash it, iron it, hang it up, fold it the right way. But then I'll find that stuff where like the pockets very quickly lose their shape and structure and become like these weird warped things. I'm gonna run into uh, that. Might just be low quality. 
Sona uh, is definitely that. that. Sona is definitely that. Where like it looks I'm good. I'm walking sort of blindly. Okay. It's 25 Avenue A, right? Right. Yeah. Um. So it's this side of the street. Dino. Double down. Double down. Um. The. But I like I don't know how to like it's almost like the equivalent of like when I get my hair done and they they want to look they I get my hair cut and then they want to put product in it. I'm like no no don't because I won't right. know how to I won't know how to handle it like I won't know how to recreate what the person at the salon is right. doing okay we're here but I don't know is that the entrance is this the entrance no okay. No. We probably go in through the bar, to the back. Yeah. Yeah. Must be here, right? You guys get eat a little bit, and that's a relationship. Yeah. All right. Let's try it. Let's try it. Let's see. Okay, we're now entering the bar. Trying to figure out what is happening. Unless it's up. Is this thing up here? I'm in the... I couldn't talk out there, so... Uh, I'm in the toilet with David Bloodband. Hey, Dave. How you doing? Um, the, uh, it's a real small toilet, but JD's setting up the mic out there, and I can't really talk out there. And so... Uh, what That noise you hear in the background, that's just the sound of Dave urinating. He's very comfortable. Well, I've urinated a lot during this podcast, but, but I always make a point of being like super quiet about it. This is just like a thing I do. Um, but I mean, it's obvious when I flush the toilet afterwards. I think people catch on that they just miss it. Sure. Um, and uh, yeah. So, how are you doing? Yeah. Just switch places. Okay. And uh, are you? You're up before us, right? You haven't yes. gone yet. Okay. I haven't gone yet. What's your What's your bit going to be? Uh, I am just going to tell a story. Because okay. the, uh, the show that Connor and JD are doing is hosted by a team called First Crush Will You Go Out With Me? So I'm going to be telling you a story about one of the first times, in fact, the very first time I ever asked out a girl. Oh, wow, that's amazing. Uh, do you mind if we record that on our podcast? Not, not at all. It would be great. Okay. Uh, is it a funny story or a sad story? Uh, it's a little bit of both. Oh, no. There's no real way to dry off here, is there? Okay. All right. I'm going to stay in here and go to the bathroom. Okay, now it's just me in here, and I'm going to try as best I can to mask this, but I don't think I can, because I don't think I want to sit down on this. 
Um, I wonder, JD is really set on doing improv in this set. I'm less set on that, but I'm fine doing improv too. That'd be really fun. Um, I wonder if JD is talking during this. I don't know. Out there, I feel like we can't talk. So you're going to hear some ambient noises, uh, but it's a really small little venue. I kind of feel like it's not, um, it would be rude for us to talk at full volume. I hope this has been coherent. Uh, I don't know if it has been a coherent episode. I like it when we have visitors, and we haven't had a lot. This has been a lot of me rambling. Okay. Okay. And I've definitely, the choice to drink seltzer has definitely made me have to urinate more than I have in past episodes. But, alright. I'm back in the bunk. They're playing uh, Bruce Springsteen, Dancing in the Dark. Oh, I was just talking to the mic that they're playing Bruce Springsteen, Dancing in the Dark here. Uh, very successful song, but also, I think, a great song. Uh, my favorite part in the song is that, is maybe it probably just happened where it says, uh, uh, thinking about your little world falling apart. I like that part a lot. I think I just heard it. I just like the way that it breaks the lyrical structure. Okay. Yeah? Cool. You can't start a fire Thinking about your little world falling apart I like that part. I've never been a Bruce Springsteen fan. What's your favorite Bruce Springsteen song as a non-fan? I don't think I can even name one. I just don't connect with any of his music, really. Yeah, you never worked in a factory or rode on the highway. Never did. Nope. Um, There's that, I think that type of genre of music, that like great American music. Yeah. Oh, JD's whispering me to come over. Okay, right. Well, Jay, uh, Dave's going next, right, Bloodband? I think he is. Uh, he's going to tell a story if we want to record his story. Oh, yeah. I'll put a lob on him. I'll put my lob on him. Uh, cover your lob? Cover my lob? Yeah. Test, 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 JD. I hope everyone likes this music. Yeah. Test, 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 JD. Test, 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 Connor. Test, test. Test, 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 test. This is the closest the podcast has ever come to JD and Connor go clubbing. Yeah. JD, JD, JD. Connor, Connor, Connor. JD, JD. Okay, good. A lot of people have pretty artsy suggestions for what we should do in the show. People are saying 12 minutes of silence. Uh, they say that uh, a scene, a 12 minute scene where one of us only says yes, the other one only says no. It's like they're trying to sabotage, they're trying to see it, set challenge, double dare style challenges for us. Yeah, I don't know how I into that. I wonder if our listeners and viewers can name the song that's playing right now. 
If you can, tweet it out. I like this song a lot. Who is it? I forget who, but there, I have a sense memory associated with this. Oh. Is this Tegan this and Sarah? Was pro, this was, I don't know. Uh, oh. This is from the, we used this song in the magic show I did. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I feel like it's Tegan and Sarah, but I don't know. I don't know who that is. What? I don't, I've never heard of them. Tegan and Sarah are great. You're more hip than I am. I don't know. I don't think that's true, JD. I think it might be. I don't think I'm more hip than anyone. Song. Is this Tegan and Sarah? Uh, no. No, who is it? Yeah, I mean, that's something. Uh, I don't know this. I don't know. I'm asking. It's like Miley Cyrus or. No, no, Robin. This is Robin. Robin? Yeah, It's a pretty good song. I really enjoy Robin. Yeah. Uh, Tegan and Sarah was the only band I knew that had this kind of sound that I could think of. The tonally, it's a little similar to their harmonies. I'm not very familiar, but I also don't know a lot of Tegan stuff. and Sarah is great. Look them up. If you like this, you'll like them. I probably will, because I love that. Yeah. Um, what are some other Robin songs I should check out? Um, call Your Girlfriend. Uh, oh, yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. What are you doing? I'm going to All right, I hope everybody washed their hands. All right, this is a guest, guest appearance by Dave. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go silent. Uh, so this show is called First Crush, uh, Let Me Go Out With You. Is that it? Let me go. Let, yeah. So I thought I would do, I do storytelling, and I thought I would tell the story of the first time I ever like asked a girl out. And this was like a, a really important moment for me. I guess the important moment in anybody's life. But like when I was a kid, I was super awkward and kind of a loner. And I didn't have many friends in high school. I kept to myself and just watched Kids in the Hall reruns every day. <laughs> like, and just like, just kind of, uh, didn't really have that many people to talk to. And I also went to an all boys high school from like fourth, well, all boys school from, I went to Yeshiva. So from fourth grade throughout all of high school. Yeah, I heard a groan in the back. <laughs> Is someone else from Yeshiva here? Oh, yeah, oh, which one? <laughs> My man! <laughs> MTA! Yeah. Um, but I, uh, so, uh, I went to so I went to MTA for a little bit. Which, for anybody who doesn't know, it's the Marshall Stern Talmudic Academy or, or Yeshiva University High School for Boys. And um, when I was there, I was like, 
I, I just didn't have that many friends. But my, so I, I didn't interact with that many with girls at all. Like for that, for that, for those like really important period of my life <laughs> where I should be interacting and forming relationships with other with, with girls, I was like, had no idea. So I was like, a, so I was like a weird robot, just like, Bleh. and but my mom was a uh, a part of a, an organization called Gateways. Uh, which, for those, for, for if you don't know, it's like a Jewish organization that like they organize events and plan like these travel things to like all different parts of the country, to all these like uh, lush hotels and like, or and sometimes Israel. And as a kid, it was I had a, a blast. Not because of the Jewish shit. That shit was mad boring. But like, <laughs> my mom would go to all of these lectures, and then uh, I would like roam around hotels all the time. <laughs> and that was dope because <laughs> I loved hotels as a kid, and I still think they're fascinating. And it was a teenager. That just meant I got to like people got to all the kids just got to hook up with each other, like and except for me because I didn't hook up with anybody. But like, <laughs> but like all, but like all when I was like I guess starting to be a, a teenager, like I know and we were like we stay at the Eden Rock on the on the boardwalk of Miami, on like in in Bell Harbor and just like all these like amazing like movie star hotels and this stretch of like awesome boardwalk, and then like we just like. Our parents would be in the lectures, and we'd sneak into hot tubs and just like, and just like, hang out, you know, just being bad. Um, and I had a crush on this girl named Rebecca, and Rebecca was gorgeous. <laughs> it was like to a 15-year-old boy, like to me, it was like, like she was tall, she was Canadian. She was, uh, she, uh, she was really funny. Uh, she uh, she loved she loved my Beastie Boys impression. So I like laid down, I, like laid down the weirdo charm and was like just sort of trying to hang out with her all the time. And there were other kids I hung out with while I was there that were sort of like regional friends, because we all like kind of migrated to different gateways events together. So there was this kid named Shmuley Gollum, that was his name. Um, uh, if, you're, if you're listening to the 12-hour podcast, <laughs> sorry. Uh, but um, uh, but Shmuley and I went to high school together, which is how I actually know him. And then there was this other kid named Daniel, who was nice, but real boring. And then his friend named Bianca. And Bianca I want to talk for, to for a second, because she was dope as fuck. <laughs> Still one of the coolest people I've ever met. Super funny, really pretty, deaf. Uh, just... <laughs> She was she was a, she was a really cool she was a really funny deaf girl and I just like I, I just, it wasn't like super important but it was just like oh you're deaf because she had like a cochlear implant and she would like always like talk about it like not like in a like Mwah, I mean but it's like didn't hear you and then just like make jokes about it and it was like so like and she and she had this like great like fuck you attitude that I thought was super cool and I ended up like just hanging out with her and this other kid Daniel a lot. So there were a lot of there were a lot of different like um, secret parties on these like especially in our Miami Gateways trips. All these kids would sneak in liquor from the bars and the hotels, and we'd drink on the beach. Uh, except for me, because I didn't I didn't drink. I was I was I was that kid. I was just like kind of silently watching everything. Um, and um, I find like I, there was this kid named Jason Turk. Oh, I fucking hated. <laughs> he was like everything I wasn't. He was cool. He was like bald by choice. 
Like he shaved his head. Like he shaved his head to be cool because he knew he had a great head. And that like he was athletic. He was athletic and he was gunning for Rebecca Miller. He was just like, ah, and I, felt, I felt super threatened by this kid. And I was just like, oh my god. And plus, like, uh, like Rebecca and Jason were both in the same age. I was a grade younger than them. So they had, so in my mind, I was like, oh, they have a leg up. I'm just, I'm not going to win this game. I'm not going to win it. And then just, because um, women are prizes to be won. That's how, I, that's how my 15-year-old brain processed it at the time. Um, uh, and, I was asking, and I was asking Bianca about this. And I and I was like, what should I do? I, just, I don't think I'm I don't think I'm cool. I'm, I'm not I'm not Jason Turk. I don't play football. I'm not cool. And she's like, fuck you, man. You're cool. Just don't, just fucking go for it. You know what? Take the first step off the cliff and then fuck off. Which is her advice. I was like, wow, cool. Oh, awesome! I didn't know it was that easy. Thanks, Bianca. That's a great. That's a great idea. I should just take that first step and see what happens. And then, um, at one of these parties, I'm like, I'm hanging out with. I'm hanging out with Rebecca. We just like we break away from the group and we're walking on the on the beach. It's very romantic. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, cool. I'm, it's, it's great. Things are going well. I I think I'm I think I'm gonna like try to make a move. And fucking. Shmooly Gollum <laughs> falls off the fucking boardwalk and onto the beach and onto the sand and like a, like an, like just lands like nearly in front of us like a Donald Duck cartoon and just like his head buried in the sand he's like, like, like and I'm like dude what the fuck is this and Shmuley's just so drunk. Shmuley's, Shmuley's like so wasted off of like whatever stupid punch they sold at the, at the like kitschy luau themed bar they had at the hotel. And, uh, and Shmuley's like, Shmuley's like all over me. He's like, you gotta take me to my room. You got I was like, I can't. I was like, I don't know. And then Rebecca just like, pieces out and so I'm just I, I'm like I can't run after because then I mad make me look like a weirdo and a jerk in my mind is what I'm thinking and then I like I'm like ah oh, fuck so I carry Shmuley on my back his hotel is like whatever the equivalent of like burrows away in like he's like super far away and I was, uh, and I'm like just carrying my back. He's yelling. He's yelling something. I'm like putting him down to throw up. I'm like, he's like trying to. I have to do guesswork to which room he's staying in because he's too drunk to tell me. So he finally says four. So I drop him on the fourth floor, and then I drop. I like. I literally do like the the thing you do at, uh, when you're a kid at birthday parties where you just like pick a, a direction and like that's the person that's it. I did that with rooms and I was just like, that's your room. And then just like dropped him and was like, bye. And just like left. So Shmuley's passed out. I'm trying to find, I'm trying to find Rebecca Miller. This is, I didn't have a cell phone at the time. I had no connection. I just had to use my wits. And uh, I find her. And she is with Jason Turk. 
and she slaps him across the face. Because Jason Turk apparently tried to make him, uh, tried to kiss her, and she was like, "No, I don't want to do that." And then she sees me and is like, "I want to go home. Let's go. Let's go to the. Ho let's go back to my hotel." So I walk her back to my hotel, to, to her hotel. That would been, that'd been way baller of me at that time. I was way more confident than I even knew existed at that time. Um, so I walk her back to her hotel, and I'm like, and I just like, cause I, I don't, I don't know how this works. So I just start spilling my guts. I'm just like, hey, listen, I like you a lot. Blah 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 blah. We know each other. We've we've been pen pals for for a couple of years now, doing gateways stuff. I see you all the time. I think like we should. And it's just like, ah, oh, Dave, you're sweet, but no. And then I'm crushed. Like I kind of just like you know, she walks back to her hotel. I kind of I watch her leave, I go back, I go back to my hotel. I'm kind of wandering around the boardwalk. Uh, there's Bianca and Daniel kind of like sitting at the edge, like their feet hanging off of the boardwalk. And um, Daniel says something about John Kerry that I didn't give a shit about. <laughs> he's, just, he's just really going on about this thing. And I'm like, fuck, what, what are you talking about? I don't care. And he's just, he's just like, man, I need some cashews. So, I'm, so he just like walks and leaves. <laughs> and Bianca and I are just sitting there. And um, and she's like, you look down. I was like, well, I, I I did what she said. I took the first step, and I asked Rebecca out, and she said uh, she like she was like, I don't feel that same way. And she was like, and I was like, well, I'm I'm kind of bummed because I thought you know I, I like I like this girl, and I was like, who gives a shit? <laughs> was her response? Listen, like. 90% of people aren't going to like you. <laughs> just, like, be you. I like you. And then we just kind of, like, looked at each other. And then she said, this is the part where you kiss me. And I'm like, and then we do. And then we, and then we kiss, and it was great. It was, like, my first real kiss. And it was uh, very wonderful. Only because it, like... It was with someone that I kind of like. I think now, like in, as, a, as as an adult, I feel like uh, relationships are based off who you can like sort of say, "Fuck it." Ninety percent of people aren't gonna get this, and I feel like that was the first time I ever made that sort of connection with somebody. So that was really cool. Anyway, thank you very much, guys. Uh, 
we're, we're not sure what we're going to do yet. JD's got to test his audio levels. Test, 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 JD. Test, 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 Connor. Test, 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 JD. Test, 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 Connor. Good to go. Uh, before we start, I do... This, this will apply to anyone here, but also anyone who listens to this later, because we're now... Uh, we started at like 11.20 this yeah. morning, so it's 9.50 now. Um, and for those of you who don't know, our podcast is a podcast where every episode is an unbroken 12-hour-long conversation. <laughs> yeah. And so we start recording at some point, and we don't stop recording until at least 12 hours have gone by. We so. have gone over every episode. We've gone over time. We've accidentally gone over 12 hours. We've never hit that right. mark. Um, I so do we're it. 10 hours deep into this episode, baby. Yeah. <laughs> I do want to. I do want to say, and this is a request for anyone here and also anyone listening, that uh, if you could take the uh, a little snippet of audio from Dave Bloodband. So we put a lav mic on Dave so that his story would be part of the podcast. I want someone to take the audio of him saying the phrase "schmooly on my back" <laughs> and put it to a beat, like, uh, like ideally, if you could do if you could do "schmooly on my back," maybe a, a, a mashup with that and all about that bass. Uh, yeah, I got that smoothie on my back, on my back, on my back. Yeah, um, I like that. That would be good. So if anyone here wants to do that or anyone listening to that, I think that would be really good. Um, let's talk for a second to them yeah. about what they want us to do. Because I think we, and uh, JD wants to maybe do some improv, so I think we'll have an improv element to I'm whatever not, this I'm is. I'm not tied to that. I'm not tied People to that. People love it. I don't want to put that onto this. Uh, but we're also open to suggestions. We, we tweet it out to people. What should we do? And we got a lot of suggestions like, how about 12 minutes of silence? Well, actually, uh, can I do that? There's something I'd like to do real quick because, uh, listen, there's a part of our podcast, which is we have people that are dedicated listeners, some of whom are here today that are, that are people that listen to the podcast. They're called 12, 12 Heads. Some of our 12 Heads are here. Yeah. But some of them are around the world in different places. And I think one of the great things is um, having them, who these are pe- people that listen to this podcast and sort of like, during their job, during their commute, just like throughout the day, stuff like that. We'll have them connect with people that are just in the world they wouldn't otherwise. So just real quickly, um, if you guys, I, I, I'd love for all of you to very quickly to do some quick guest spots on the podcast. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So basically, Connor and I get up, and we're just going to quickly just do a little quick interview with every person. We have our lob mics here, just so you can be on our podcast and be a part of things, right? Does that sound good? Great. Yeah. Hi, sir. How are you? What's your uh, name? Uh, I'm great. I'm David. Welcome to 12-Hour Day, David. Hi, David. Hey, hey. Where are you from? I'm from... Uh, well, I live in Brooklyn. I'm from Chicago. Where in Chicago? Uh, North Side City. Okay. I'm, I grew up in Wilmette. Oh, yeah, there yeah, we go. Yeah, See, Dave, yeah, nice yeah, to meet you. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Welcome to the Hi. How are you? Welcome to 12-hour day. Hi. Thanks for having me. This is great. What's your name? What's your name? Oh, Emma. Emma. Hi, Emma. Emma. Where, hi. Are you, where are you from? Where'd I'm you from Jersey. Jersey. Oh, Jersey. Emma, what's your favorite podcast? Have you ever been on a podcast before? I have not, so this is now my new favorite podcast. Oh, that's very oh, exciting. And a podcast debut. <laughs> oh. Uh, that, ladies and gentlemen, the Emma podcast debut. Very exciting. Woo. All right. Hi, how are you? What is your name? My name's Caitlin. Caitlin? <laughs> Caitlin, what's something that happened to you today? Uh, ooh, I got to help... Um, I work as a vet tech, so I got to help the surgeon um, take a penis off a cat because he couldn't pee. Oh, we oh need god, to that's an extreme. Much. That's a, oh god, that's a job. Wait, so if a cat, I really need to know this. If a cat can't pee, 
Okay. Is that a last resort? Like, let's take his penis off and the pee will just come well, out. if he continues to block with, like, stones, then it's like, all right, we got to take his penis off. Wait, that's the You option? can't remove the you stones? You can't remove? You just no. cut the penis off? Because they keep getting stuck, so he doesn't have a big enough opening, so we make it really big. Okay. <laughs> Wait. I hope you and your people never become real doctors. <laughs> I hope you stay in the animal world forever. Wait, so, so... Do you try expanding the whole, the, the middle of the penis? Like, let's hollow out the penis first. Also, Connor, for those of you listening, is doing a motion where he's sticking his finger into the hole and moving it around. I was imagining my finger was some sort of a veterinary tool, like a surgical instrument that you would hollow out so that stones could come out. And in, that, in this example, your hand was the cat penis? Yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you. Nice to meet you. Thank you. What's your name? Hi, my name is Tori. Tori, nice to meet you. Tori, what what you do today? What did I do today? Yeah. Uh, I did, I just, I, oh, I took Goo Gone and I tried to get a lot of adhesive little sticky things off my wall. Why were they on your wall to start with? Because I bought some cork board and I put it up and then the cork board fell off immediately and I was left with little adhesive sticky things all over the wall. Oh. So, wait, can I, can I predict was the cork board, were you going to put up like things to do on the cork board? I did, I put up a few things to do, yeah. But then the cork board fell apart and it became a thing to do. <laughs> Exactly. Now I have to I have to repaint the wall. Wow. So in an effort to be more efficient, you've actually given yourself more tasks to do. I hate my life. Yeah. You should. <laughs> Thank you. Th- thank you. Thank you. Welcome to our podcast. What is your name? Hello, my name's uh, Jason. I'm a longtime listener. Oh, Jason. Oh, God, Welcome. Jason. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Hey. Jason, what did you do today? What, what's happening uh, to you? Today, uh, I bought a pair of uh, non-slip shoes. Were you, work. Were Are you, you slipping a lot? Yeah, do you slip a lot before that? <laughs> no, the, the job's making me buy non-slip shoes. So do people I, slip but, a lot? What do you do? Do you work at a um, water park? I'm a food runner. I wish I worked at a, a water food park. runner. Oh, you can't slip with all that food. <laughs> no, no, no. That's a good thing to have. Uh, it sounds like they know what they're doing. They shouldn't have made you buy them, though. They should buy them for you if they're so concerned. Correct. I agree. Couldn't agree more. All right. My friend, what is your name? Oh, Sparrow. 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 Nice to meet you, Sparrow. Yeah. What happened to you today? Uh, I got money out of the bank for my dad. For your dad? Yeah, money for my dad out of his bank account. You know, I took oh, I got right. the money. I see, I see, yeah. I see. Was, was, did they think for a second you might be robbing your father? Uh, that, it was a machine. Oh. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Nice to meet you, Sparrow. <laughs> How's it going? Welcome to 12 Hour Day. <laughs> What's up? Chris, we we know each other. Yeah. How, what have you done today? Uh, I went to class and now I'm here. Oh, that's a very exciting day. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for being on Twelve Hour Day. <laughs> ah, Royce, Chris's twin brother. Hi, Royce. Hey, how's it going? How We're, are you doing today? Pretty good. It's what been, did you do today? Uh, I went to my first 101 class at UCB. Oh. oh. Didn't think I'd get that reaction. All right. Uh, uh, JD's going to give you a suggestion. You're going to initiate a scene. <laughs> All right, I'm going to give you a second line. Okay, uh, cobblestone. <laughs> hey. <laughs> How about these cobblestones? Yeah, I don't know any other way to do it. Blackout! 
Hannah, how are you? What did you do today? Uh, I struggled with a fridge repair situation in my apartment. A fridge repair situation? Yeah. You were trying to repair your own fridge, or um, you were struggling with a repairman? I was struggling with my landlord to get a repairman slash a new fridge, but it did not happen. What happened to the old fridge? It stopped producing cold air, like a month ago. So it turned into a box. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't have any ice to put in it to make it an ice box. Which, yeah. if I was clever, I would have done a long so time you ago. What was the landlord's argument for not replacing or fixing? Um, I spent three weeks being unable to get a hold of him. And then today was like, they're coming, they're coming, they're coming for like eight hours. And then they didn't at all. Ah, so he had no argument. He was just avoiding no. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, best of luck in the future. Thank you. Thanks for being on 12 Hour Day. <laughs> My, My friend, what, have you, what did you do today? Um, I went to work. I actually work for that refrigerator repair company. Oh, what? <laughs> Guys, the world is an amazing place. Let's make this happen. What? Wait. Okay. What was wrong? With, what was happening? What was the sound it was making? No sounds. Just no cold. Silent. Air. Silent. No, this silent is not working. It's a dead one. A dead one. <laughs> oh my goodness. What's your name? Liz. Liz, yeah. is this true? You work for a refer- No, unfortunately not. Oh, my oh. God. No, no, hold the on. The world is not an amazing place. <laughs> Where do you actually, what industry do you actually work in? I work in the internet industry. Do you do pranks, like internet pranks? <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, that's the only internet industry that exists. <laughs> There's pranks and emails. We should go to the back. Yeah, my friend. My friend, what have you done today? Hey, I've done some dishes. Oh, yeah? Yeah. What was the worst dish today? Uh, the one that you're like, if I didn't have this dish, I would have been... I should have thrown it, just, just thrown it away. It was caked and caked in things. Many, many old dishes. Oh, vintage dishes? Vintage, well, no, no. The, the oh, food, the things were old. The food on the dishes and the dishes themselves were At old. At what point but, do you give up on a dish? You know, uh, when it's black. When oh. it, when it, <laughs> like burnt? No, like the race. Oh my God, too edgy. Uh oh. <laughs> Alternative comedy. Oh, no, he's, by he's, the way, yeah. By the way, I'm the karaoke guy. You're the karaoke guy. Yeah. What's your favorite? What's your go-to? No, no, don't do that. That's don't a terrible do question. What's, what's the worst song? What's, what's the worst what's song, song that, that anyone can ever do? You're you... like, no, I won't sing to that. No, no. You see, there's songs that are bad. Right. But, but those can often be those good karaoke songs. Those can be good songs. karaoke songs. Yeah, right. yeah. Uh, the worst song to hear is probably Bohemian Rhapsody. Bohemian Rhapsody. If any of you do it, you're out. Good. My friend, what, what's happened to you today? I'm bummed out. I didn't do anything at all today, actually. Oh, that's not true. You're, you're underselling your own life. I, no, I, I, I did not. I mean, right now you're standing at attention in case anyone needs uh, libations from the bar. Right. And that's, <laughs> that's what you've done all day? That's pretty much what'd it. What did you do when you woke up? What's the first thing you did? I woke up around noon, so. Okay, so you looked out, you I saw. Walked, I walked my dog in and then just went back to bed because I worked night, so. All right. Well, that's not bad. That's not a bad day, Nothing though. Wrong with that. What's the name of your dog? Jilly. Jilly? What kind of dog is it? A papillon. Uh, papillon. Named after. Papillon. Named after anything in particular. How'd you settle on Jilly? Uh, I, I meant to call it Jelly, but then I just stick to Jilly. Or... You made it. You made a mistake naming I mean, your own dog. It was an accident. <laughs> my friend never have kids. Oh my. <laughs> what happened to you today? Crackers, and I was talking about what kind of new flavors we should sell. Oh my what god, what kind of new flavors should you sell? I don't know, what do you think we should sell? Pumpkin, uh, pumpkin crackers. No, that's everything. <laughs> don't do that, that's everything. No. How about salty Ooh. pumpkin cracker? Townhouse crackered flavored oh, Ritz cracker. <laughs> really on. fucking mess with them. How about is a townhouse? Just a like, just to see, yeah, that is a competitor, so we should okay. like see, like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm big in the Ritz field. Townhouse. <laughs> 
Nothing really, no. How about like a creme brulee Ritz? The one that like the top has that kind of, that the bottom has kind of the, the bottom of creme brulee and the top is the top of creme brulee? Would you buy that? No, but I mean some of <laughs> But I'm not your target market though. I'm fine with classic Ritz. Don't ever change the classic Ritz recipe. All right, do you buy them today? I didn't buy them today because I don't need to because they but last so long. They're, they're in. Yeah, I do eat them. Okay, thank you for your business. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> Sounds like we're done here. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Dave. Dave. How you doing? Hey, how's it going, guys? All right, good. That was a good story. Cool. <laughs> hey, Mark. Mark, hey. what'd you do today? Uh, I worked at my job, which is t-shirts. <laughs> what type t-shirt did you make today? Uh, we made some samples for uh, a company called uh, Laquan Smith. They are doing Heineken dresses, and they were getting Heineken printed on them. Heineken dresses? Mm-hmm. For, like, uh, women who go around passing out Heineken samples at tennis events. Ooh, very exciting. What was it? Was there a graphic element other than a Heineken logo? Nope, it was a three-color print. Just a straight-up Heineken logo. Mm-hmm, a right chest. Uh, they actually gave us the, like, cut pieces of fabric, and we printed on them. The dresses weren't assembled. Okay. So today was just like by the numbers. Uh, yep. <laughs> yeah. Average day. Was there any flair that you threw in today too that you were like, this is this is the Ledgerwood touch? Uh, we printed chairbacks for Urge Productions. I don't know what they do, but uh, James. Buck. Urge Productions are a snuff film company. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking forward to watching and uh, enjoying. The they films. didn't direct, but they produced the ISIS videos. <laughs> <laughs> and now you are soaked in blood money. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. My friend, what did you do today? I installed a fake door at a hotel. Wait, Whoa, another, what hotel? Pr- another prankster. The W New York downtown. Oh, never mind. A, fanc- <laughs> a fancy fake door. Why a fake door? Uh, the SPG, Star Preferred Guest, is launching a keyless initiative so you don't have to go to the check-in counter. When you go to your hotel, your key is in your smartphone. Wow. Wait, so wait. What Why is a fake, a fake door? door? To demo the locking system. Oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> So I'd say it's more like a demo door. A demo door. It's a real door. It can't open. It's a real open. door. It opens. It yeah. does open. To an empty box. So it's a fake room. Real door. Correct. Demo door, non-room. Correct. Okay. Good we sorted that out. Hello there. What's your name? Hi, I'm Blake. Hi, Blake. That's a great name. Thank you. Ah, oh, God, that's a, I wish I had a name like that sometimes. <laughs> I know a lot I'm of good Blake. Yeah. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. All right, what'd you do today? Uh, I applied for a bunch of new jobs. Yeah? What's the one you want the most? What's the one you want the least? Uh, I'd really probably like to do like SharePoint administration, uh, which is like just like collaborative website stuff for internal purposes. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, least, <laughs> <laughs> uh, least favorite would probably be like you know just like doing what other people tell me to do. I don't know, like like so a being la- a slave. Lackey. You like don't want to be a slave. I don't want to. No, no. So you applied for a you slave applied position, for like an indentured servant. <laughs> but you prefer the SharePoint administrator job. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Great. Yeah. That's, a, right. that's a good exchange. Well, best of luck. My friend, what have you done today? Uh, I actually did some wedding planning today. Are you getting married? I am. I'm the one getting married. Oh, congratulations, well, my thank friend. Thank you. Are you a wedding planner? Don't applaud. It could be to someone horrible. Uh, I'm not a wedding planner, no. So you, you're just taking matters into your own hands for your own wedding. You're planning it? No, well, my fiance is like, she kind of makes the decisions, and I kind of like sign off on them to make sure that I'm okay with them. Oh, sounds See, like... you're the, questioning your clap now, aren't you? <laughs> that sounds like the job that, that Blake didn't want. Yeah. <laughs> You're just doing whatever she tells you to do. Well, I mean, like, I'm going to, if it's a decision I don't like, I'm going to veto like, it. I don't want the opal colored invitation. No, opal's a horrible color. Right. I don't want you to marry this other man at our wedding. <laughs> I might, I don't draw the line at that, so I might be okay with that. Oh. Oh. <laughs> my, 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 how European. <laughs>
Hey, see, how are you? I'm great. How what are you doing? What did you do today? Uh, I just went to work and came here, basically. That's great. What did you do at work? Um, I'm a barista, so I just pulled espresso all day. You pulled espresso? That's what you call it when you um, use the machine. It's pulling espresso, pulling oh. shots. Okay. Yeah. Huh. It's nice, but I just smell like coffee 24-7. You like the smell of coffee? I do, but not 24-7. Oh, if you could have like one hour off from it, you'd be like, that's enough. And which hour would it be? Um, uh, <laughs> probably between uh, 9 and 10. And AM or PM? PM. Really? Yeah, I guess. I work in the morning, so by then it should be gone. Huh. Hmm. <laughs> 9 is like a really active time in my life. I might choose dinner time. Uh, I sometimes have coffee with dinner. Oh. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's fair. Even, uh, is it, if you didn't smell like coffee, do you think you'd have coffee with dinner? Um, probably not. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Casey. You're welcome. My friend, what did you do today? Uh, I taught children. What did what you, you teach them? them? Uh, they're three, and I teach them improv. Oh. <laughs> I know. Yes. What was one of their, their initiations tonight? <laughs> That's a bold uh, word to use. What was, one, what was one of the things that they said? Uh, two of them just held each other for like three minutes and screamed, My little pony! My little pony! My little pony! Mom, what is it? An initiation. No, reaction. Give me something. That's a, actually a great initiation for a scene. That sounds like a scene that I would initiate. Yeah. Yeah. What was the, what did they say after they finished saying My Little Pony? Well, they just were like almost in a trance and yeah. they just kept screaming it and then I kind of <laughs> stepped away because I was scared. That seems more like you're teaching them openings. <laughs> that feels like it's like a that good sound and movement. movement. Well, <laughs> that was the second beat of Reverse Herald, so they're very good. There you go. Okay. Alex, what have you done today? Um, I slept through a practice group and then I uh, stayed in bed all day. That oh, was... you're so cool. <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel about that? Um, I feel it was a it was a day off from our 301. Like, uh, you know how class like just won't. Sure. So they were like very um, ambitious and decided to schedule uh, a class during that slot, and I just kind of slept through it. I don't feel great about it, but I also don't feel like I like did anything super sinful, you know? Yeah. Sure. Sure. <laughs> okay. Well, let me ask you this: What's the yeah. coolest thing you're gonna do tomorrow? Coolest thing I'm gonna do tomorrow is uh, just probably the same thing all over again. Sleep in. Don't be in a practice group with Alex. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let's uh, let's try and get behind the. How yeah. Do you get yeah. What did you do today? Uh, I flew in from Chicago. Where in Chicago? Uh, downtown. I had a wedding. Ah. Were uh -huh. you getting married? No. Who was getting married? Uh, one of my buddies from college. How was the flight? Real shitty. Who'd you sit next to? Uh, one of the other people who was in the wedding. Oh. oh. Did you know the person? Yeah. All right. Was it, <laughs> did you choose to sit next to him, or was it happenstance? No. Spirit put us randomly next to each other. Wait, spirit, spirit as in God, or spirit <laughs> as in the airlines? Both. Ah. Oh. How was the wedding? Wait, can you solve something for us? Did you check a bag? No. Did you carry on a, a bag? Yeah. What you don't have to pay for it, though. They on Spirit, like, they don't pay, they like don't pay for checks? You're supposed to, but they didn't check on it or anything. You could have just walked it in. What do you mean? What? <laughs> you can check your own bags No, like you're supposed to pay for a carry-on, but no one was ever like, oh. Oh, you're supposed to pay for carry-ons on Spirit Airlines? What? 
Yeah, 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 they're real cheap. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Some spirit that is. <laughs> All right. I don't know why we're kind of blaming you, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, change that policy, buddy. Yeah. Hey. What did you do today? I, uh, I worked, uh, wrote a mobile app. A mobile app? You yeah. wrote a mobile app? What's well, I was, it do? I was working on one. Oh. Yeah, I was working on What's one. What's it going to do? It's, uh, it's supposed to find you all the best deals in the country, all in your on your phone. Yeah, but if one, best deals. if one person uses that app, don't they ruin it for the rest of them? Like somebody, <laughs> they got all the 20 best deals. Yeah. Oh man, it's like stuff that everyone wants. <laughs> but if best... everyone uses it, won't they wipe out all the deals and there'll be no deals left? This app sounds like it's the end of the world. <laughs> I know, so if you want to be the first, go to the app store and download Trending by Yipit for your iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> but... <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> Hi, friend, what did you do today? Hi, I went to work today. Where do you work? I work where Mark works. I'm his coworker. Oh. It's like legit just us two that work there. Plus one girl that prints everything. Who's better at making shirt designs? <laughs> you or Mark? Uh, Mark, by far. Really? Yes, what are you better far. at than Mark? Uh, What's the thing that if in a pinch you'd be like, no, no, Mark, I got this. Uh, taking out the garbage. <laughs> Mark's bad at taking out the garbage. Yeah, yeah. He just he, leaves it. Yeah, he does this thing where like he'll like take the cardboard boxes and he won't like break them down flat. He'll just kind of like leave Mark. Them cool. Yeah. I, I know. <laughs> You're this. Not my job. You're the Spirit Airlines of trash taking. <laughs> All right, well, thank you. Thank you. My friend, what did you do today? Hey, um, I, uh, I taught music classes in the morning, and then I went and dropped off some equipment uh, in Brooklyn later. And what kind of equipment? A speaker and a PA. Are you a roadie? Uh, no, I play in a cover band. What's, what band do you cover? I cover all the bands. All the bands? You just cover music. <laughs> yeah. They uh, want music, hire you. Yeah, totally. Anyone. Do you take requests? Like if people are like, I want you to cover this band. It's someone you're not familiar with. Will you learn it up? Yeah, actually, yeah. We had one uh, gig that we played once where people were requesting uh, towards the end of it. And we were just taking our phones out and putting it on the music stand and just like playing them. We played Cher. Do you believe in life after love? Now, oh. are you able, do you try to replicate the auto-tune in that? Because that was a pretty heavy <laughs> auto-tune. Or do you sing it straight? No, we sang it pretty straight. We sang yeah. it pretty soulful and pretty straight. Yeah. That's a pretty good song, I think. It is actually. You know? It's like when you take when you just like strip it down to. Final like, question. Oh, I, I Final ask, question. I got one question after no, your no, question. No, fine. Just do your question. Do you believe? Do you believe in a life? That after was my life? question. <laughs> my friend, what did you do today? He, uh, he didn't work. answer. <laughs> do you believe in a life after love? Yes. <laughs> All right. Cool. Uh, after uh, no, during work, I showed a picture of my Halloween costume to my coworkers, uh, and it was significant because I was a vagina for Halloween. Why were you a vagina for Halloween? It was uh, a pair's uh, costume. My uh, fiance was the gynecologist, and she made me this giant paper mache vagina. You guys are adorable. Thank you. Very much. Thank, you very much. Thank you. What did she find? What did she find? Polyps yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Was, yeah. No. No. It's okay, she's a doctor, she'll deal with them. Hi, Fred, what'd you do today? Uh, worked and went to the library. As in the bar across the street. Oh, not the actual library. No. Thank you for not pranking us. We've been pranked enough in this segment. <laughs> That's all the internet is these days. Pranks, pranks, pranks. No, I just went from work to the bar. Yeah? Yeah. Where are you going from here? Home. Where's home? Brooklyn. You like Brooklyn? I've been there all my life. Do you like it? It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, 
Do you ever, do you, I have a quick question. Yeah. What's the biggest emotion you've ever felt? <laughs> Surprise. 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 Uh, you're, wearing, you're wearing a Mets shirt. Are you a Mets fan? Huge Mets fan. Now, uh, do you get really excited? Go Mets. <laughs> <laughs> that was my impression of you in a Mets JD, uh, For listeners who don't know, JD just spoofed his uh, demeanor. <laughs> um, oh, hey. We got it. We got it. All right. All right. We're way over our time. Are we? Oh, way over. Wait, way that? over. I thought we were going to do like a Herald off no. of those. No. No. We're like double our time right now. Well, I mean. Thank you for being on 12 Hour Day, episode five. Thank you. Sorry we ran over. No problem. Still going on. Oh, my, there my, there right, right now, hearing me. It's going pretty good so far, I think. I don't want to be too It's just like your podcast and it just goes around with the yeah it's called A small letter A and it's uh, it just goes around uh, in 1969 with like a tape recorder and he tape records everything that happens oh, oh for stop. a few days yeah. and then he gets these high school students to type it up yeah and then they make all these mistakes but he leaves it in yeah. and then he publishes the novel you can still buy it A I'll, it's I'll look at it. I'll uh Tell our readers to look it up. Our listeners to look it up. They're also yeah. readers. Andy Warhol. Andy Warhol. A. a. Yeah, it's one of the great novels. Okay. Kind of yeah. unreadable. But like an uh, uh, an experiment, a literary experiment, literary yeah. slash social yeah, experiment. Exactly. Yeah. Like when I went to college in 1971, I would sit around reading A. Yeah. And I would think this is the future of literature. This is what literature will eventually all be. Yeah. Well, it's kind of a little bit like Twitter. It's like Twitter and it's like po- more like podcasts. Podcasts, yeah. More, and maybe like blogs used to be. Yeah. Um, where'd you go to college? Cornell. Cornell? Cornell flunked out. Yeah? I flunked out after two years. Yeah? Did, you didn't like it there? I, I don't know if I didn't like I usually like everywhere. I kind yeah. of liked it. I didn't hate it. I didn't like... I didn't like being maybe in an Ivy League college. I didn't like being in college. I wanted to be a hippie. Yeah. Yeah, so I would say you, it feels more like you kind of dropped out than flunked out. No, I, mean, I really even flunked if you out. Like, I flunked out. Were you trying your hardest and you flunked out? Or were I was you trying like, my hardest, yeah. Okay, so it just wasn't for you. Well, I was a biology major, which I didn't understand science. Yeah. So I was that was my problem. I was not studying the thing that I could understand. Yeah. Like, if, I can imagine that if you'd been a literature major or something, exactly. you probably would have been fine. Maybe fine. Yeah. Except I still didn't want to be in college. I wanted to be out in the commune or wherever one went. Did you live in a commune? Seventy-three. Where did you go after you flunked out of college? Where did I go? I lived in a sort of commune. I lived in a collective with yeah. my friends. But I was already li- yeah, I lived in Ithaca. But half of us were students. Half of us flunked out. Yeah. 
And then I ended up, me and my girlfriend hitchhiked to Florida and lived in a boarding house in uh, St. Petersburg. Yeah. What brought you to this show tonight? I, I'm in, going through a period of like uh, uh, fanhood. Uh -huh. I'm like a fan of uh, free stand-up comedy. Right, right. So I stumbled upon this like a few months ago, and I found it kind of interesting. Yeah. So you're just so, kind of checking out the scene. Yeah, I'm interested in comedy. I find it interesting. I don't yeah. know why. It's there's something I prefer because I'm a little bit in the literary world, as you intuited. Uh -huh. So I'm sort of sick of the literary world, but I, uh, I'm sick of people standing up and reading their fucking poems about their tragic lives. Right. You know? I kind of like looking for some left turns. Yeah. Yeah. That unexpected moment. Yeah. Which doesn't seem to exist really in literature much. Yeah. People read it off the page. I just went to the reading just before uh -huh. this. Yeah. So I saw what it's like when people read. Yeah. I mean, I like anything as long as it's free. I just like to be distracted and amused. Yeah. I like performance. Yeah. I like the idea people are going to do something. You're going to watch them. They start. They set up. I'm very interested in the setting up part. Yeah. Then they start, and then you watch it, and then it's over. I find it very interesting. Yeah. It's like, it's like, it's like ancient. People mm -hmm. have been doing this for like... The oral tradition. About, yeah. Maybe for like... I just looked up how old are human beings. They're not as old as you would think. I thought we were like 2 million years old, but I think Homo sapiens are only like 100,000 years old. Yeah. But basically for about 100,000 years, we've been doing something pretty close to this. Yeah. You know, somebody talks and everybody else listens. Yeah. Usually the guy talks. But maybe that is just since the patriarchy took over you know, 5,000 years ago. It might have been before that, the women talk and the guys listen. I don't know. Yeah, who knows? I, yeah. My wife used to know. She was like an eco-feminist. She was like a yeah. believe, goddess-worshipping yeah. eco-feminist, and she thought, like, basically, the patriarchy took over X number of years ago. Not that long ago. Like, yeah. about 5,000 years ago. Yeah. That's why I use that term. But I'm not sure. But I think the patriarchy is dying out, which is partly what's going on here. This is a little bit the end of the patriarchy. Yeah, it feels like it, doesn't it? I mean, this this comedy boom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> comedy is basically the patriarchy dying, the sound <laughs> of the patriarchy dying. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? When I was a kid, men were like men. They didn't act like women. Yeah. They had to behave, they had to be, you know, strong. Yeah. Silent. Yeah. You know, sort of, they were like made out of steel. Yeah, comedy's all about vulnerability and weaknesses and fractures and... Yeah. Or a lot of it is anyway. Sadness. Ah, yeah, that's the word I like. <laughs> that's the word I like. Yeah. Sadness. You like that word? Yeah. Or that uh, experience? I like that. Well, I don't like the actual experience, but in terms of comedy, I think that's where there's a lot of comedy in sadness or a lot of uh, ways to deal with sadness through comedy. Yes, I suppose. The Com you think it. all comics are depressed? A lot of them are. Yeah. Um, and I think there's also, you can sort of search within your own sadness and find what's funny and it helps you through it. Right. Whereas like being happy is not very funny. Nah, it isn't. Yeah, why is that? I don't know. It always bugs me in like movie trailers for comedies. They always have shots of people laughing. Oh yeah, that's terrible. Uh, and I, it always bugs me. Why? I don't know. I think it's because I feel like the trailer's trying to trick me into thinking something's funny by showing me characters laughing at something within a comedy. But the characters char laugh at the punchlines in the yeah, comedy. They'll cut to shots that are not contextually right, but in the trailer they'll use it as an effect. Like yeah. if there's a shot of someone laughing, they'll use it as a punctuation mark in a trailer to give the suggestion, like, you'll laugh, because look, even these characters are laughing. And I'm like, yeah. well, I don't want characters laughing in a comedy. They shouldn't know it's funny. Yeah. Trailer editors are idiots. 
or geniuses, but maybe uh, yeah. manipulative maybe geniuses. Yeah, types. Yeah. But I haven't seen a great trailer in decades. What's the last great trailer? trailer? Probably Psycho. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I yeah. can't remember any Where the trailer. Wild Things Are. Where, yeah. Oh, yeah. The trailer to Where the Wild Things Are was the best movie of that year. The yeah. movie was nowhere as good as the trailer was. What about those like, uh, those like uh, the night before Halloween? You know those like Tim Burton movies. Right. Yeah, yeah. Tim Burton movies have really great trailers. I think. But so. But I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with that. Yeah. They're really basically trailers made into movies. Yeah, and I think um, the modern trail, like Christopher Nolan's trailers, are always really good. Christopher Nolan. Who was yeah. he? He did like Inception, all these things. The movies are like oh, just Inception, sort of like. Inception, I saw that movie. Yeah, yeah. Like, Memento. Memento, I did not but see. But his trailers yeah. are always very. Uh, Kubrick always did really great trailers. Right. Really? I don't know the Kubrick trailers. Yeah, if you, uh, Santa Kubrick's trailers were always really like exciting. Trailer yeah. to Alien was one of the best trailers of all time. Really? Alien, yeah. Scary, you mean? Well, yeah. It used the um, alarm sound as like an editing device. It was really great. And that sort of got taken by a lot of people now, and it's in the sort of zeitgeist now trailers. But that now was, it's like there's a decline, and that's, that's ruined trailers, maybe, that great trailer. Right, yeah. Well, now what's ruined a lot of things is that everyone's just trying to ape whatever the popular thing is, so we have a lot of same I wonder if anyone's ever read, written, like, the great book of trailers, you know? I bet someone has. The history of trailers. I had a friend who had a blog that was all just him writing it, Rob Malone. He would just write about trailers. Yeah. Oh, yeah? Yeah. He went to all these movies just to watch the trailers? And, and oh, you, you can find watch them all online. Yeah. That's right. You right, don't have exactly. to go to movies anymore. Right, exactly. I forgot. And nowadays, <laughs> movies movies rarely have... They'll have trailers, but they also have advertisements. What do you mean? In the, When you go to a movie theater? Instead of a trailer, sometimes they'll just show like yeah, a BMW. No, I know ad. that. Yeah. I occasionally go to the... I hate the movies, but I once in a while go. There's good movies, though. There's great movies. There must be great movies. Yeah. Presumably. Right. But what? Which one? Oh, I saw a great movie. Which it's one? a masterpiece. It's called Ida. Ida, you know Ida's what? Ida's really good. You saw it, right? You see Monocomena from last year? Monocomena? Yeah. It was, no, I think I one never of heard top, of it. One of my top ten favorite films of all time. What is it? It was, uh, did you see Leviathan from no. the year before? What it's, is that? Um, the Harvard Ethnography Lab uh, helps produce these films. And Leviathan was a, a documentary about a fishing boat where they just had cameras mounted everywhere. No narrative, it was just sort of a visual documentary that was so powerful. Of, made, real, of a real, real of a whale boat. ship? Uh, yeah, it was a fishing boat, like a crabbing ship. But it has so, such powerful So the imagery. Leviathan is the ship, yeah. not the whale. Exactly. I see. And then the, um, the, the people who directed that produced this documentary called Monokamana that is about Nepal. There is a, a temple at the top of a mountain that used to be like a four-day walk for people, and they would take a pilgrimage there. Right. And then now sometime, you can take an escalator. Right. Sometime in the 70s, they built the tram, and the tram ride is eight minutes, which is the length of a 16-millimeter uh, roll of film. Huh. And so basically what they did is they shot uh, this documentary that is um, five trips up and five trips down, and it is one of the most brilliant films. It's and on it, 16? Uh, it actually might be 35. I think it's 35. But it's, you know, eight, eight and a half minutes is like, you know, whatever, uh, 800 feet from 35 or whatever that is. Um, or a thousand foot can or whatever. You're in the film business. I am, indeed. Oh, yeah? But that's your real life. That's my real life, yeah. Uh. But it's such a beautiful documentary because they shot it over a year. And so we're only seeing 10 trips, but they've made hundreds of them. And the people that are in the tram... 
they, because they're doing these trips so frequently, the people that are in the tram don't aren't aware of the camera really. So you're just seeing this this pristine view of these people's lives, and you're seeing. The what do you mean of, their lives? The lives in the tram? In the tram. You're, basically, it's, it's the small reflecting the big. So you you're mean sitting, they eat on the, in the tram and stuff? They eat in the tram, they talk. They have sex. You see subhouses, there's no sex. Um, but you see different generations of people. You start just in their casual conversations seeing why some people are going up this temple and it's different than others. It's like really beautiful. There's it's, subtitles that tell you what subtitles. people are saying. Yeah, exactly. And it's, if, if there was ever a film that you, if like aliens came down, you could show them one film to explain humanity to them. Yes. This would be the film, I think. Oh, yeah, that's interesting, yeah. What's yeah. it called again? How do you Mana Kamana. M A N A. Oh, I see. Mana, yeah. K A M A. N A. And all people all over America are writing this down, like I'm writing it down. Because that's right. It's on your. Uh, it's a great movie. It's really, it's really, I, it, it's a film that. It's going to be hard to watch in your home. It's a film you're in the scene of theater where you're just in this black box, sort of immersed by this thing. What's the music? It has music? Nope, no music. Oh, good. That's it's, what ruins It's ten films, shots. It's music. ten shots, no editing. Ten sh- oh, I see. It's like that movie Rope. You ever see Rope? Right, yeah. Sort of like that, right? Oh, it's, it's like that in the sense that it's, you know, it's just ten shots yeah. back to back. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Excellent. Yeah. It's really great. It's a little bit like that movie Empire. You know that movie by yeah, uh, I know that. Yeah, yeah. By Andy Warhol. Yep. This exactly. is all I do. Is all time back Andy to Warhol. Warhol. You're a big Warhol fan. Big Warhol fan. Uh, yeah. Well, I just came from the Museum of Modern Art gift shop, where I was like reading the entire. I was paging through the complete magazine illustrations of Andy Warhol. Right. From like 1948 to 1987. What's like. what's up? What's next for you? What are you? What's uh, what are you going to do tomorrow? Tomorrow? Yeah. I do. Tomorrow, I'm I'm going to go to my wife's uh, reading in the evening. I'm going to go to another uh, museum, I think. Yeah? yeah. What's your wife's reading? She's reading in Midtown. She sort of stumbled into this bunch of like aspiring writers. She went to this weird writing conference that was like one day long, cost ninety dollars. There was only one literary agent. You pitch, huh. you, you pay like ten dollars, pitch your your book to the fucking literary agent in like one minute. You know, yeah. weird. Like an elevator, like an elevator pitch. They call this. Right. Yeah. Oh, you're in that business? No, I just I've heard of that thing where it's like. I think it is. What would you say if you had like one minute to pitch your thing to us? Yeah, and it's like it's like this, and you know, unpredictable bunch of people. It's like this. Yeah. You know, this reading we just you know this event we just went to. It's like these unexpected bunch of people who all want to be writers. Yeah. That are all like I don't know what the hell they are. It's in Midtown. They rent a space. You know, it's like kind of for a certain kind of. Kind of ambitious loser, yeah, you know? uh, and maybe kind of youngish amb- ambitious loser, yeah, and some really nice woman who I think is kind of good looking runs it, yeah, and and so my wife got picked, but maybe in a manipulative way, to be one of the four readers at this special reading that yeah. comes out of the conference that she spent ninety bucks for. Now right. she gets to be a, a you know, a, yeah. A, a, um, Admirable, you know. To do you be like? Do you like? Do you like your wife's writing? <laughs> I find it a little meager. Yeah. It's a word that comes to mind. Now, are you okay. able to say that? Are you able to offer that opinion, or would that be hurtful to her? And yeah, she I hope wouldn't... she never hears this. Oh, she'd have to get. I mean, the odds of her getting eleven hours into this podcast. Yeah, I know. Uh, 
But I, I don't trust the internet for stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. I think you can get somehow screwed. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's but, true. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like somehow, because it's, it has to do with the interconnections of human beings. Right, anyway, right. you'll find out how you get screwed. Yeah. yeah. But I do, I do find it, I think she's getting better. Yeah. My wife. But are you, what I'm asking is, like, are you, are, do you have no, that kind I of never, relationship? I never, never tell her. Yeah. I, she doesn't want to hear like, it, and I don't want to tell her. So you're just, like, straight up encouraging and just, like, try oh, your yeah, best, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know? You yeah. know, we've been together. We just had our 25th anniversary. Congratulations. Well, thanks. Yeah. It is admirable. You know, it's exciting. Yeah. We've been married Absolutely 25 admirable. years. Yeah. We have a kid, successful kid. Yeah. You know, we're like a regular married couple in a certain way. I mean, in another way, we're very, un- as you can imagine, from looking at me. Yeah. You know, we're unusual, but kind of lesbians. That's my theory ah. about us. We're yeah. basically lesbians. Yeah. Like, basically, she does everything masculine. I do everything feminine. Uh-huh. You know, like, like if we're lost, I say, let's ask someone. She says, no. We'll figure it out. Right. Yeah, you know. so you're figuring out your own gender roles. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know how real lesbians, like one is sort of the man and one is sort of the woman, but not really. Uh-huh. Like it'll switch all all unexpectedly. Yeah. And that's kind of like us. We're like that. You know, where I'm basically the woman, she's basically the man, but I do all the cooking, I do all the dishes. You just figure out your own rhythms. But then in, there's moments where suddenly I'm the guy. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, discussing Obama. Uh-huh. Like I have a lot of, you know socialist opinions <laughs> you know she has no socialist opinions she just kind of goes with my socialist opinions right you know like in that way I'm sort of I'm like my father who's a fucking bitter old communist huh. even though I'm going to get money from the bank for him you know he happens to be a communist yeah hey. yeah so awesome. uh, yeah. thank you thank, thank you. you thanks for being honest go Mets <laughs> he didn't mind that you insulted him Oh, no, we were just affectionately ribbing him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Fairly, yeah. There's a lot of affection in your shtick. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting. Oh, thank you. Going thank around, uh, asking everyone, it's so interesting. Yeah, it was fun to have all these people on our podcast. Yeah. Yeah, why? That's what you want? You want more people? Yeah, I think nice. it's fun. Right. Uh, trap more humanity into the spider web of what we're doing. Yeah. You think a podcast with lots of people in it is more interesting than a podcast with one person in it? I think more people is always more interesting. In everything. Everything. But maybe you just feel that way. Maybe it's just the way you're the kind of person you are. It's not it's absolutely true that. aesthetic. That's why you like films, because there's a lot of people make them. Maybe that's true. It's like Wait, are you a socialist or a rugged individualist? Me personally? Yes. I think I'm a socialist. <laughs> why? What why? do you mean? Seems like you're suddenly questioning the idea of collectivism and, uh, and of many well, pe- the power of the many. As, a, as an aesthetician, aesthetician, I think might be the term, as a person who's interested in aesthetics, you know, I just went to the fucking Museum of Modern Art. Yeah. I didn't watch, you know, uh, cutouts made by 145 people. <laughs> they were all made by Matisse. Right. And, and when you look at them, you think, like, wow, these look a lot like what every five-year-old kid does, yeah. but they are by Matisse. But yeah. where did you go? What do you mean? The museum? You went to a museum. Yeah. Which was Matisse the only person in that museum? No. What do you mean? The only You artist? went to a place full of artists making stuff. Yeah. And you walked the halls and were able to see all these different things. Right. Would you have just gone to a singular Matisse exhibit? I probably, I don't know. I have a little bit of problems with Matisse. He seems a little bourgeois to me. But 
you took in Matisse because you're at, at a museum full of other people. I might have gone to a singular Matisse show. Okay. I've gone to singular shows okay. in real galleries. I mean, I might, I wouldn't have not gone. I must say, there's a bunch. There's a little room. Like they're kicking me. I'm always like the last person to get kicked out of the museum, but there was like one woman behind me yeah, in the escalator. Right. But like while I'm getting kicked out, yeah. there was this like famous artist coming in, yeah. like me and this German middle-aged woman that became sort of friends yeah. discussing Matisse together. Like she was staring at this like famous artist. Like everybody's getting kicked out of the Matisse show. And then these like famous artists like kind of lean, you know, 78-year-old looking guy with kind of steely eyes and right. like a little entourage of gay guys around him. So it looked. You know, they're coming in while we're going out. That's how famous and important they are. Yeah. And I said to that German woman, who was that? She said, that's what I'm trying to figure out. I said, it looked like David Hockney, but I saw him in that stupid movie about the fucking uh, Vermeer, that rich guy who painted his own Vermeer yeah. painting. And he's in a wheelchair. Yeah. He's not like walking, you know, Tim's cool. Tim's Vermeer, yeah. Yeah, Tim's Vermeer. You yeah. saw it? I didn't see it. Oh, I know yeah. of it, though, yeah. Yeah, there's no reason to see it. Although I thought it was fascinating. Yeah. That's Pro a, that sounds like at least one reason to see it. Produced by Tim Teller. Yeah. By, oh, by yeah, Penn and Teller, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I think one of them directed it, one of them. I think Teller directed it, yeah. Teller, the one that never talked. Yeah. And Penn sort of narrates it. Right. Penn is friends with this guy, Tim. Right, exactly. Which is always a suspect as a subject for a documentary when the creator is a friend of the subject. Not only a friend, but also a very tricky magician. Yeah. <laughs> and, and also this guy's a billionaire, apparently. Someone told me. This guy Tim is a billionaire. Oh, really? I think he's like really rich. Because, I can see that. Because he has to buy kind of everything that was in the room that right. Vermeer painted so that he can paint the exact duplicate using his cookie system that yeah. is related to David Hockney's book about right. the camera obscura. Yeah. But anyway, so that's why it wasn't David Hockney. And then I couldn't think, I mean, I'm not that knowledgeable about the art world. But yeah. because of that, because there was this kind of confusion, I could sneak into this little alcove of Mexican socialist art. Right. So um, as I was getting kicked out, they didn't see me enter this little alcove. Yeah. So I looked at these like five Mexican <laughs> socialist paintings just to show my whatever credentials right. as yeah. a socialist art lover. Yeah. Right. That's why I go to the, to, to the MoMA because as a kid, my father would take me and my sister and our mother because of, we would go on this kind of like pilgrimage through MoMA yeah. and we'd always end up at Guernica. Picasso's right. anti-fascist painting, which my father felt, without doubt, was the greatest painting in the world, because yeah. it was the most anti-fascist painting in the world. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I have this whole, whatever, socialist art history. Right. Yeah. On the other hand, yes, I'm not convinced that uh, if a group of 90 people, I mean, I was in Occupy Wall Street, like, I mean, I was, whatever, a visitor there. Right. Yeah. And I thought it was like the greatest thing that's happened maybe in the history of the human race, personally. Yeah. And it was, in a sense, a collaborative artwork, you know, installation. Yeah. So as, in that sense, yes, it is possible for groups of people to create great art. But in general, I'm suspicious of that thought. I don't think, I don't think the creation of things should be left up to groups. <laughs> yeah, you guys are. I noticed there's two of you. That's not. Is that a group? Yeah. Right. But we're we're sort of the creators of the podcast. But it's fun to get other people involved in the thing we're making. 
Right, but you're still kind of directing it. You're yeah, kind of, right. You're kind of yeah, like we it. moved on from people real quick. We were just yeah, a little exactly. text. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. You're I, you're making this. It wasn't a fucking collective decision. You didn't put it to a vote of everyone in the room. Should we keep talking to this person or not? Yeah. I yeah. Uh, I don't believe in art by democracy. You don't? No. Have you tried it? I have. Really? Yeah, it didn't go well. What kind of, of art? Comedy. What's that? Comedy by democracy? Uh, yeah, I, I, I've tried a couple of things by democracy and it, it never goes well. You need a singular vision. But the involvement of a bunch of people is always important to me. I yeah. think that always elevates things, whether it be audience or as part of the creation process. You mean the more people listen to your podcast, the better it gets? I think so. I would argue yes. Yeah, seems possible. Makes sense in a way. Yeah. I mean, it kind of depends on who you are. I mean, maybe there are people like Emily Dickinson sure. didn't seem to feel that way, as right. far as one can tell. Exactly. You know, there are some people that prefer to be uh, solitude, solitudinous, right. to create their art, I would think. Maybe the very greatest artists prefer solitude, and the you know lesser artists right. prefer uh, big... I mean, I was like addicted to Howard Stern for 15 years. Right. That was one of the ways I've wasted my life. <clears throat> one of the large ways that I wasted my life. Sure. And um, and Howard is like that. He's whatever his talent is, if he has any, he's completely seduced by success and fame. Right. And basically by these like whatever, you know, twenty million guys on Long Island that listen to him. Or guys, I suppose there aren't twenty million people on Long Island, but right. you know what I mean? Twenty yeah, exactly. there's twenty million kind of Assholeish, right-wing, lecherous, right. middle-aged guys, and he is determined to get them to like him. Right, and it kind of wrecks whatever he does. I think it ultimately wrecks it. Yeah, I see what you mean. I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not. I mean, now, did you did you over? Now you said you listened for about 15 years. Yeah. Did you, do you think at a certain point you just burned out on it? It was so weird the way it happened, my my breakup with Howard. Yeah. Because <clears throat> it was like, because I've always worked part-time, like very part-time, and yeah. so I had a lot of time. So, uh, and I never, I don't have any vices, you know, of any kind. So yeah. I do yoga, meditate, that sort of thing. So I had a lot of time that could be filled up, you know, kind of yeah. vacuum in right. my life. And he was on for like four hours a day. Yeah. So eventually I would tape it in the morning. I would have my mornings Howard Stern free. Yeah. Then the rest of the day I would listen to those three hours of tapes. I would just tape three hours of it throughout the rest of the day. So it would kind of fill up my life. Right. And I was addicted to it. I was addicted the way anyone's addicted to anything. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, it had to do with my father and his. I think it had to do with kind of my abusive. Um, father's so-called Jewish sense of humor. Right. You know, that this was very comfortable to me, that yeah. kind of insult, yeah. put down humor. So then, oh yeah, we went to the country. We were living in the East Village, my wife and I, for 10 years during my addiction. So we went to the country one time to stay in a, like a hunter, hunter's cabin. Right. Like um, maybe, uh, maybe uh, 30 miles from Albany. Okay. Our daughter was like three or yeah. something. So we had like about five days in the country. During that time, I listened to my tapes of Howard, you know? Like, that's how addicted I was. Right, yeah. Like, yeah. But then I think I like, yeah, yeah it was like, I think I must have run out of them at some point. So it was yeah. like I was coming back to New York 
Yeah. I can picture the moment I turn on the radio and back to Howard, you know, back in my bloodstream. Yeah. And I'd be like, straight. You know, like the yeah. junkies say. You know, junkies say, now I had to get straight. <clears throat> and then I came home the next morning, turned on the radio, and suddenly he just seemed adolescent to me. You know, he right. just right. seemed like yeah. like a jerk. I mean, not a jerk. He just seemed. So, had, like how long dumb. had you been without him before you turned it back on? Had you like about three or four days? As I recall, it was about five day vacation. Yeah. And part of that time, I was listening to maybe the whole time I was listening to the tapes. I don't know exactly yeah. how it worked. But just a smart, a, a short little break. But it was, it was a, a particular break. Yeah, you know, yeah. Particular time. It may have had something to do with country life. Living in the country. I remember that I stepped on a bee, like, while we were there. I think I'd never been stung by a bee my whole life. And I stepped on it. There were bees, a lot of bees on the on the yeah. grass, for some reason, at this place we were staying. I stepped on a bee. It really hurts to stay. Oh, yeah. I don't know. We're with our daughter. She's this innocent three-year-old or yeah. four-year-old. I don't know what happened. I can't explain you, it. You changed. It's interesting. For, like, whatever yeah. things that you... Like, yeah. he may have been changing... Over time, right. but you were you were in immersed in it. Yeah, but something in you changed in terms of how you yeah. your relationship to it as well. I mean, really. I felt that it was a kind of training for me. You know, I mean, that's the whatever new agey spiritual way I yeah, have yeah. looking at it. It's like right. I was learning something from him, and then suddenly I learned it. Yeah, and you didn't whatever need it, you didn't it is. Need it I don't know what I learned. You know, it's not. Maybe it was from Gilbert Gottfried. You know, when uh, right. when uh, that great Joan Rivers just died. Yeah. Right. You know, I mean, there's still people that I have, like, a connection to. Yeah. From that guy, Emo Phillips. Yeah. You know, there were these... I know there were a lot of great uh, comedians would come on Howard's show. Yeah. And they would talk kind of comedian talk. Yeah. They would always uh, run down Robin Williams, if I remember correctly. Uh -huh. They yeah. all seemed to hate Robin Williams, possibly because he was so successful. Yeah. That, that could be the case. But I think also because they considered him derivative and... So uh, there's great. a lot of weird ruminations in the comedy world, but he yeah. was extremely talented, and <clears throat> for all accounts, for any, anyone that I've ever had known that's interacted with, he was a very nice guy also. Yeah, he seemed... He was maybe too nice a guy. Yeah. Because that's what gets you depressed. You have really two options under capitalism, you know? One is, it's obvious what they are. You know what I'm going to say. Right. You know, one is to be a nice guy, and the other one is to be successful. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, kill everyone else around you. You know, to be a killer. Right. Yeah. And uh, those people are kind of happy in a weird way. They're not exactly happy, but they're undepressed. This yeah. is the thing in America. People, there's two types of people. The depressed people and the people that are undepressed. People that are antidepressant. People take these antidepressants. This is yeah. this is one of my whatever aphorisms. Americans are not happy. They're antidepressant. You know, they That's take antidepressants like makes you antidepressed. Doesn't make you happy. Right. They haven't yet invented a pill to make you happy. Yeah. That's funny. I like that. Yeah. That's yeah. good. Yeah. It seems like the logical end of my uh, spiel with you. I like that though. I think that's a good. That's a good. I think that's a good. Yeah. End point. I think I might have. I run for president. I shouldn't tell you this. Every four years, I run for president. I think I might have thought that up when I was last time. Can I, I tell you something yeah. that's funny about this? Yeah. Because my friend here ran for president. You did. I did against me. Uh, did you run in 2012? Yeah. Yeah. Well, then we ran uh, against each other. Wow. Yeah. Where, did, where did you run? Uh, mostly out of New York. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, like in comedy clubs. Uh, and some comedy clubs. 
Uh, I debated Jimmy McMillan on uh, television. Who's that? Uh, he was the um, uh, uh, the rent is too damn high candidate. Oh yeah. Yeah, I did an hour long debate with him on television. Whoa! What he was television? Running. Real television? M N N Manhattan Neighborhood Network. That doesn't sound very real. Oh, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's real enough. Yeah. Uh, mm, it's as real as this. Uh, but it was also uh, available all mm. over the world on the World Wide Web. Oh, yeah. yeah. I see what you're doing. Yeah. And you got you got a good number of votes, too. I did. I got some votes. Wait a second. How do you know you got votes? Because uh, a lot of write-ins in New Jersey were, were uh, the vote. Some of the votes were, di- were invalidated because write-in candidates. But the, in New Jersey, any write-in is valid. Yeah. You don't need to register for it or anything because... Obviously, you have to meet a threshold before they start really tallying them. Uh, so I got like into the double digits. But, but how do you know you didn't get? No, didn't... people were people were uh, tweeting photographs of their votes, which is a felony. <laughs> uh, but really? not for me. Uh, my because pla- it costs like a hundred thousand dollars to find out. That's exactly. The, yeah, yeah. The actual tally. Uh, my, That's what I've heard. My, do you know what my platform was? Yeah, of course I want to. Uh, then I was <laughs> old enough to be president. Oh, right. That's I was why running. I ran the first time. Really? Yeah. What year was that? It was 92. All right. Yeah. Yeah, I was running because I, when I started running, I was 35. And I said, uh, that's the perfect age. That's the age the founding fathers mentioned. Yeah. And and when we've never elected anyone anywhere close to that age. Uh, well, and Obama's kind of close. But not in his 30s. No. We, we elect people in their 40s and 50s. And I was saying yeah. that uh, we needed older. someone close to 35. But yeah. by the time the election rolled around, I was 37. So I'd already broken my pledge twice. Yeah, to be 35. To be 35, yeah. Because yeah. all of my... All of my... Right. I couldn't do that. But all yeah. of my campaign uh, memorabilia and uh, propaganda material was based on the number 35. Oh, really? You yeah. Mean, like, the like, mystical, spiritual meaning of the number 35? Well, I mean, just that's the constitutional magic number. Yeah, it's an interesting number. They picked that number for a reason, was what I was saying. Ooh. Yeah. I know. It, I found it very interesting, too. There, it's a strange number. Counterintuitive. You know? What's your full name again? I'm going to look you up. Sparrow. S- Sparrow's your full name? Yeah. Uh, was that your given name as a baby? No. What was your my given? day, they didn't have that sort of thing. Uh, People weren't given names. Of so birth. you ran as Sparrow. You run for yeah, president yeah, yeah, as yeah, Sparrow yeah. every time. I, I can sort of. T- if you look it up online, there's a, somebody made a series of web. Uh, what was what was the word for it? A series of videos. Web series. Yeah, but it was before there were web right. series. Yeah. A series of videos that were supposed to possibly get on the independent IFC. Right. Website. Right. But they yeah. rejected them for being too intellectual. Wow. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, if you look up Sparrow for President. All right. You okay. probably will. Uh, yeah, and look might. up, and you should look up. Oh, that's right. Uh, Rat, Ratliff 2012. 35 Ratliff 2012. 35 Ratliff? Yeah. So you're not going to run again? No, I guess I'm already, I'm too old to run again. I, I but would, what are you doing now? Oh, now I'm uh, training to be in the Olympics in, in 2016. Yeah. To win at least one gold medal in the 2016 Summer Olympics. He has little to no shot at it, but he's going to say that. JD, please don't say that. He's gunning for it. <laughs> what, what are you going to, what's your sport? Oh, I, I don't know yet. Oh. What are you, your training? Yeah. <laughs> he's just started a publicity campaign for it. He doesn't lost, quite have the fundamentals of what event. I've lost 15 pounds in the past couple months. That's great. Yeah. And you you go to the gym or whatever. No, I have a recumbent bike in my apartment. A stationary <laughs> what? A stationary recumbent bike in my apartment and a and a, and a, a kettlebell. A what? A kettlebell. 
That's a, a, a kettlebell. It's a small weight that you can lift when you're on your recumbent bike. How's it going? I'm going for the gold. <laughs> In what event is yet to be determined? Don't know. I mean, I got plenty of time. No. Yeah, no, you're no. not crazy. He doesn't have Olympic fever. No. Yeah, that's it. Where is it going to be? Uh, in uh, Rio de Janeiro. I'll tell you where you, I'll tell you, if you go to YouTube, if you look up the phrase old enough to be president, there's a 45 minute documentary that will show you my whole campaign. Yeah. It's free on YouTube. Uh, I highly recommend it. Everything on YouTube is free. But this is yeah. extra free. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean extra? I, I, I'm just trying to sell you on it, you know? Yeah, yeah. sounds good, but long. So funny. No, no, you like you, it. You think it's funny? No, it's great. I just, I like, I think it's funny to connect the, the fact that oh, you guys yeah, both yeah, ran yeah, for president yeah, yeah, yeah. the same year. That is interesting. Yeah. It's too bad you're not going to run again. I'm considering. You're going to run again I've in 2016? Run six times. Yeah. yeah. I couldn't handle it. The campaign was too stressful. Really? <laughs> yeah. Why? Because people get very critical. People attack you. Oh, yeah. Uh, you go places and people haven't heard of you. You know, your mistake is asking for votes. Because I always tell people not to vote for me, just to vote for the Democrats. Yeah. Because I think, like, then it kind of disarms people. Like, well, why the fuck right. are you running if you don't want votes? Right. It's like, well, what do you think, I'm stupid? You know, yeah. that I'm going to win? And it's like, I really believe in voting always for the Democrats. Yeah. I don't care what assholes they are. Right. Because these the Republicans are fascists. So you're, not, that's, very, that's interesting. Because uh, I'm yeah. like that, too. I'm very pragmatic about it. That I'm sort of like... You're always going to find problems with any Democrat who gets that high of an office. Yeah. But it's, I don't like that thing where people say like, well, it's uh, hold your nose, it's the lesser two, where they act like, oh, to yeah. me, to me, when it was Gore versus Bush and there were people yeah. saying like, oh, it doesn't matter. I'm like, it does matter. And then yeah, the I mean, Gore versus Bush, I mean, these guys are like, they're like incredibly opposite. And the, yeah, the thing is like, Gore would have done a million things that I would have hated. But he wouldn't have done so many of the things that Bush did. Like, there were so many things that Bush did that I'm like, this is what we were talking about when we were saying, like, there is a difference. Like, I know. the difference can be so tremendous. And it's uh, it's hard because people want to be pure about stuff, but you got to be pragmatic at some level. This is what I say. Yeah. This is like my whatever, because I'm giving you all my aphoristic yeah. uh, statements. Uh, I say that, like, you should be like a, uh, what's the word? die-hard, committed revolutionary throughout your entire life, and the one time you should compromise is in the voting booth. And instead, people do the opposite. You know yeah. what I mean? They're right. like, they're like absolutely militant. In I the mean, actually, I, I uh, you know, commend the young people, because the young people, basically, the young white people and all the non-white people elected Obama twice. Yeah. And they even elected him the second time when they realized he was yeah, sort like, of a there's fraud. moderate, yeah. Right. So, Conservative so Democrat. I respect young people for not being idiots about this. Yeah. But still, people will talk like this. Like, right. they'll say, oh, yeah, I can't vote. I can't Sorry. bring myself to vote for whatever. Yeah. This fraud. You can spend the rest of your life, whatever, fighting evil. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a, it's, a, it's a democracy. All these people have to get together and agree on one person. Obama's yeah. such a nice guy. Well, and it's the thing is, like, cool. even yeah. with, like, Kerry in 2004... Yeah, Kerry's like, perfectly nice. You can almost guarantee that when it came to, like, the handling of Katrina, Kerry would have handled it better, and that would have been... Yeah. Fewer people would have died in, in miserable fucking circumstances that's the other that were, thing, that were, too, you know, that like... Really, you're sort of... Uh, Betting your ideals against the suffering of the actual people, poor. yeah, and it's really the poor. Because even people, right. even people like 
Chomsky is not a person who compromises, but even someone like Noam Chomsky would be like, well, yeah. there is a difference and it will make a real difference to some Did people. Chomsky say to vote for the Democrats? Yeah. Like, oh, he, yeah. like he basically said, like, there's a million problems he has with yeah. Obama or Kerry and these people, but he also says there are real differences that yeah, actually yeah, yeah, do yeah. affect people. Yeah. You I know? just saw uh, Nader the other day. Yeah. Nader, that, you know, uncompromising Bush elector. He was walking into Cooper Union the other day. Yeah. And I like and I like Nader a lot, but he's also like he's a stubborn guy with an ego that I think you know yeah. did some real damage. That's my feeling. Yeah, George Bernard Shaw says about Jesus that Jesus was like a great prophet, and then he went insane. Like the last <laughs> three years of his life, I think I once read the introduction of one of he writes these like right. hundred page introductions to his plays, and one of the in one of them he says that about Jesus. You know, it's a like, pretty good line. Like he like. You know, started to think he was the Messiah, and that's like uh, Nader. That's what comes to mind when you think of Nader. He's like a really yeah. good guy, did good things, and then went insane. You know? Yeah, saved right. a lot of lives, Ralph Nader. Yeah, he seems, you know. I mean, seatbelts, seatbelts. Yes. If, it, if you'd only ever done seatbelts, that's like amazing. Right. You know, I was just reading these uh, essays by him by chance lately yeah. about his weird uh, Lebanese. Uh, childhood in uh, Connecticut. His parents were Lebanese uh, immigrants that ran a restaurant in Connecticut. And they sound like they were even uh, weirder than Nader. You know, they were like little right. Ralph Naders. I also think Nader's a funny guy. Like, when you just hear him talk, he's pretty witty. Is he witty? Yeah, I think so. Like, I real don't know if I've seen him. Real deadpan. Like, yeah. I find him funny. Like, he, he comes out with something, some things that are like, He's pretty got pretty sharp timing, I think. Oh, I don't know. I, yeah, I don't know. I haven't really seen. I thought Ron Paul. I saw him on, I think Jay Leno. Yeah, right. And He's a pretty funny guy too. He's funny, and um, you know, he knows how to work a crowd. Yeah. A crowd of potheads. Right. <laughs> it's like a crowd of potheads, and Ron Paul is a beautiful thing to see. Yeah. I mean, I kind of, I think he's kind of dangerous, Ron Paul. Yeah. But um, it's interesting. It's interesting, and he's a doctor, so he's like a doctor and say, telling you that marijuana is not harmful, and like all these potheads, like oh, they love it, they love it, right? Yeah, it's nice to see potheads happy on TV. It's like rarely do you see that. Yeah, you know? right. It's somehow edited out. It's so weird the way marijuana is treated in our culture. You know, I yeah. think I don't, I don't like drugs. I don't. I'm sort right. of against marijuana myself, but I mean, I like potheads, yeah. you know? I think they're very sweet. I agree. I mean, that's, they're a good influence in the world, I think. Yeah, gentle. They're the end of the patriarchy. Yeah. That's what I was saying. Maybe you didn't hear that part earlier. Oh, yeah. yeah I was I, saying that comedy is the death of the patriarchy. The, com the new comedy boom. Is there a comedy boom now? There is. Yeah. Absolutely. You yeah. guys are part of it. Yeah. I hope so. Yeah. You well, must be. Yeah. Sparrow, very nice to meet you. Yes, yeah, Sparrow, we'll it's a pleasure, absolutely. How do I? Uh, so I'll find you through your uh, free uh, YouTube video. Yeah, yeah, my name's Connor, and this is JD. I'm JD. Oh, that's your name. Your yep. whole name is JD. JD, your whole name is Sparrow? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's even longer than JD. Yeah. JD Amato. Oh, Amato? I am Yeah, I am indeed. Okay. 100%? No, a quarter. A quarter? Yeah. It's funny how that works with yeah. names. Yeah. It's almost like they've got to think of something else with that. Yeah. It's exactly. Like, actually, I'm actually probably 
Oh, oh I man. see. Not a quarter, probably 616. 616? Yes. <laughs> Italian. Yeah. You're getting more Italian. Yeah. Three, three eighths? Yeah. Very but I was good. doing 16th because I was thinking of my grandparents, right, right. what their lineage is, and my one grandfather was half of them, you know. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And yeah. you're an Irishman? Yeah. Yeah, 100%? actually, not 100%, half Irish, but full citizenship. I have, because my mom is actually from Ireland, so I have Irish citizenship. Wow. Yeah. So you're an Irishman and an Italian. That's right. Yeah. You're almost like Walk a... into a bar. Yeah. You're like a vaudeville routine. That's right. I meet a man named Sparrow. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. You should do like accents, like they used to do in those vaudeville, uh, you know, where they had right. used to have racial humor, ethnic humor. Yeah. Where people did funny accents. Yeah. That that would go over great in current culture. Yeah. No, <laughs> not at all. No. It would have, well, I don't know. Maybe some. What was that guy? It was like a real racist? That guy you were at the bar? I don't know. Like I think I was a black people. I, th I think he was just nervous and tried to make a joke, and it, it failed. Didn't quite hit the mark. I think he was trying to be funny and misunderstood everything. Yeah, that's well. You guys are very uh, forgiving. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. trying to be. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I had a feeling about him because he was the other like bearded hippie. Right. And yeah. It was like these fucking right wing bearded hippies. I've had it. With him. <laughs> that was like my feeling. I love that. Like, I went to a, a fucking... My friend in 1998 bought me a ticket to an Allman Brothers concert in the Beacon Theater. Yeah. And I was surrounded by these guys. These well, guys if you go to an Allman Brothers concert, you're going to get a lot of right-wing hippies. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing is like, we love it. There's like a... The light show includes, like, the American flag and right. like, eagles and stuff. I mean, it's like... Yeah. What happened, you know? It's yeah. like hippies have become like a branch of the of the Republican Party. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's Great. all right with me. What do I do? Yeah. <laughs> it's not much. Very nice right. to meet you, Sparrow. Yeah, nice Sparrow. Good Hopefully. luck with the rest of yes, your Yes, thank you. Hopefully yeah. we'll see you around. Yeah. Back onto the streets back of New York. Back onto the streets of New York. Um, should we walk up. over to the end? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, that was nice talking to him. Yeah, it was funny because he was like the third beat of a lot of the things we had been talking about. Yeah. Like he kept bringing up stuff that like we had mentioned. Yeah. We had a lot of weird callback stuff today. Yeah. Like he brought up the idea of a comedy boom after you mentioned it earlier. I know. It was very bizarre. Except for him, it was the death of the patriarch. Yeah. Um, oh, wait. Where are we? What? We're going the right way. Yeah, yeah. No, I was just disoriented about what even what direction we were in. Oh, we're walking west right now. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, we, we went like 24. Can I get a slice of pizza? Yeah. Uh, two minutes? Uh, yeah, isn't it? Oh, no. It's, it's right there. That's why I was... Oh, just get one that. and then we'll walk over to the end with it. I'm just a little peckish. Yeah, as am I. Um... um yeah, we went like 25 minutes. <laughs> With him? No. Our set? Oh, our set? Yeah. Oh, shit. Like, that was a great idea to just go around and talk to people. Yeah. Uh, when I was at the bar, I looked over at the guy who was doing the thing. Yeah. Uh, not the bar, like the guy who was running the booth. Yeah. We had maybe six people to go, and we were at 18 minutes. <laughs> oh, shit. Can I, I have... can I jump into this Chase Bank? Yeah. Um... And I was like... 12-hour 12 12 hour day is brought to you by and that's Chase right. Bank. 
That's why I kept being like, okay, moving on. Because I realized we were way over. It was really fun. Ah, uh, yeah. I think people liked it, though. Yeah. Um, also, when... Let's be honest. When you invite people who are in the middle of a 12-hour podcast... You don't expect to do them to be thing, brief. Yeah. The, and they run long. You can't be that surprised. Right. It's like if... It would be the equivalent of if if uh, Siegfried and Roy were surprised when they got mauled by that tiger. Connor, going with the going at it. Tough material here. Well, it's about time someone said it. Plenty of people have said that. No, but it's about time almost, someone said it. I think it. almost everyone has said that. Yeah, I told you that was one of the uh, interesting surprises. And in, uh, when I was watching the uh, Every Simpsons Ever marathon, is the fact that there is a joke on the Simpsons that happened about a decade before that mauling that is about a mauling. tiger mauling a Siegfried and Roy type act uh, and it flashes back right. to them uh, you know, capturing the tiger in the tiger's memory and the tiger once it remembers it basically just mauls them both right um, he was a fun guy to talk to yeah he was especially because I, w- I really w- wasn't he surprised me a few times in there. Well, because also here's the thing that a lot of people don't realize or are listening is that this is a man in black socks, <clears throat> like baggy pants, a sort of like dirty sweater who had this like long white beard and an old Jets hat on. Yeah. Who looked, if you were to see him on the street and I said, if there's a lineup of 10 people and I said someone's homeless in this lineup, you would go him. You'd yeah. pick him immediately. But he was not homeless. Like he did not smell bad. Right. Um... No, not at all. He, you, you could tell very, you know, he was not, wasn't he was even, not dirty he wasn't at even, all. He wasn't even off at all. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. He was just a guy that was like, yep, this is how I've chosen to. Yeah, everything about him seemed like a choice. What time is it? Oh, they probably should close. It's closed. Yeah. Wait, did they just close? That's our friend from all the movie screenings. Yeah. Well, for all the good, our connection just did us. Yeah. What's his name again? Uh. Uh, Matt? No, no, no. No. What's his name? Uh, Mike. Mike. Hey, I thought of a good movie that I think we could watch that I think everyone would really enjoy. It's Mike. I don't think it is. You don't think it's Mike? I think it's Mike. It might be Mike. Um, but that was his voice, right? Yeah. Um, it's like a real cool movie, and when I put it on, everyone seems to really enjoy it. But the ending doesn't work? The ending is busted. On the DVD? The ending um, to this movie is broken. Oh, um, we need to decide what we're going to show. We need to start thinking what we're going to show in December for our... Our Christmas screening? Christmas screening. Also, um, also uh... It's got to be a deep cut. Yeah. I think we should. We can find two things, probably. Two different half-hour things. And yeah, I think we should find Chris, two Christmas specials yeah. from TV shows. Ooh. I remember there's some weird TGIF Christmas specials that I'd love to revisit. Um, another thing, though, is going At forward, if, one. if we're able to do more secret movie shows in yeah. 2015, I think we've mentioned this before, uh, showing Penn and Teller get killed. Yeah, I would love to do that. Although, um, you know, you'd have to organize that since I'm not a performer at the theater anymore. Um, now, let me... Uh, 
one of the things that was surprising in the uh, in the conversation with him, like when it started off, it sounded like he was maybe someone who like he had a like his thing that he was saying before you came down. He was talking about how what we did reminded him of this Andy Warhol novel that he gathered just by talking, going around, recording everything everyone was saying, and then he had high school students or something like type it up. Right. And he mentioned Warhol a couple times, and he was also just saying like, yeah, I just love coming out to free comedy shows. I just go anywhere where things are free. Right. I go where things are free, and I and he was like, I. I've been going to readings, but I'm really getting into free comedy because I just like really love like comedy is just more surprising and like right and but I thought he was gonna be like it really surprised me when he said the thing because at one point he was like uh, he said something about like oh it's like me and how you just how I'll, like go off on Obama or something like that and I thought like oh okay so he's like he's like oh, I'm such an old socialist right and I thought oh, okay he's like. He's like exactly the kind of person that I would expect to be like upset because Obama is more conservative Democrat, compromises on a bunch right. of things. He's exactly the right person to be upset. Yeah. Because this is a guy who seems like he's been fighting his whole life for a certain thing and he's not in the mood to brook a bunch of compromises. Right. Um, and then it totally threw me off in a good way to hear him say like, you got your whole life to fight for revolutionary things. And I've never heard that observation Oh, that was the other before. thing is he, um, he touched on that thing that we were talking about before. Which what? Which thing? The voting thing. Yeah. Uh, but, like... And you know what? He might have convinced me a little bit. About what? Well, because before you were saying you hate how people go back and forth. And I was like, I think the process of back and forth is how you learn stuff. Uh-huh. And I still, agree, I still believe my point, but I'm like... Yeah, I guess that is a good point, too, in terms of, like, yeah, everything else is for being revolutionary. Voting is just for making well, the choice that... That is in front is, of you. The actual the choice in yeah. front of you. Where did um, you want to grab food in lieu of... Oh, any, anywhere is fine with me, whatever you want to get. Um, I don't really know a lot of places. I generally don't grab... Like, I always grab two boots because it's right by the beast, but right. I don't really have a lot of, like, favorite... I used to have a lot of favorite places, and they all closed down. And I haven't really found. Is that what you want? No, I was just that. That's just like I was. That was almost Pavlovian. Like, oh, we're near the beast. I get a right. thing of like, oh, I'll grab a. Anytime I'm at the beast, I tend to grab a slice because I'm there, and it triggers it. Right. Uh, I like the. I like the association. Like, I don't really have a place near UCB Chelsea that I grab food. Oh, I do. You like where the? Uh, I would go to. Chipotle or yeah. to BRGR or to Five Guys or my number one place right. that I will always go to if, if that is open is Kobayaki. Uh-huh. You've been to Kobayaki? Probably I have. I don't know. You can Not- get like, you know, like grilled chicken over rice with vegetables or... Yeah. I just don't have an association like uh, Right. I, I guess I go to Gracidi's and get something usually. But um, but I don't have the same like when I'm at the beast I'll be like oh I'm gonna get a slice oh, of two boots. Pretty cute. Um, but I've never heard that phrase that he said before, which and it's a true observation that like people are spend their whole lives being kind of compromising, not passively accepting everything. Uh, complaining but not necessarily doing anything and then when they get in the voting booth they're like I'm going to vote for 
Ralph Nader instead of Al Gore. Right. And nothing in their behavior in the four years before or after will be reflective of like, right. oh, you're obviously a Green Party activist. You do all this stuff. Right. Their one act will be uh, to uh, cast a protest vote that helps ensure that the opposite of what they want happens in terms of that specific election. Right. Uh, and... Well, it's like, you know, it's like if you get to an option of, like, chocolate and vanilla or, like, specialty pecan crunch. Uh -huh. Most of the time, people are like, I'm going to try the specialty pecan crunch just to prove that I have, like, autonomy over my surroundings. Uh-huh. Um... Although, and I mean, I know people who voted for Nader who are, who do live right. up to those values in their life, and that's a different thing. But I feel like there are people who did it out of a kind of adolescent impulse, which is like, I'm going to, I'm going to show everybody how independent I am. Right. And that then some of those people were the people who were the most disappointed in the results, which is just like, well, the election was really only about the results. Right. Um, we are now walking up through the East Village. We're in the heart of it now. I was like, I was like this old sign here, block drugstores. So yeah. I like anything that looks oh, like man, it's been a here a long stuff. time. I used to live on this block. Yeah. Do you miss it? I do. Especially like times like this where it's like. You could just be home. I could just be home. Yeah. Especially it's like 3 a.m. and I'm walking back from like the beach or something. And it's like, man, oh, in the I old days. Been home. Yeah, I mean... But it was a shitty... It was a fine apartment, but it was just a you, small you have, you have one better, bedroom you have better resources. that I paid more for than my apartment in the story that I love. It's a good apartment, isn't Yeah, it? you have a good apartment. Um, I'm like that, too. I mean, when I used to live in Murray Hill, like, my feeling was, like, the thing that I miss... Oh, and my I, God, this is new, too. Everything's new. The thing that I miss is when I lived in Murray Hill, like, right now, it's 1110 on a Monday night, and let's say all of the subways stopped running. Right. I'd just be like, well, worst case scenario, I'll be home in 20, 25 minutes if I just walk home. Right. And frequently my worst case scenario when I'm trying to get home is like, oh, this is gonna be 90 minutes, Murray two Hill's hours. Murray like 28th and I, I was at third, have, 37th right? and 2nd was oh, where I was high, at, a little, little higher. higher. Yeah. Um, I was at the high end of it. And it just, knowing that even if I was all the way downtown, that I could walk home. Right. Actually, living in New York, one of my favorite movies for a long time ago, one of my favorite movies has always been After Hours by Scorsese. Right. And living in New York kind of uh, changed uh, my perception of that movie a little bit because it's... The premise of the movie is he basically gets stuck in Soho and he can't get right. back up town. Right. my favorite restaurant. Now it's just empty. Yeah. It's really depressing. Yeah. Under St. Mark's is really depressing to me now. Oh, my God. I mean, tell me about it, dude. When I went to college, it was Kim's. That used to be Baguette, which was amazing sandwiches. But Kim's was... Kyber Pass is stuck it out there. Yeah, I know. Um, Kim's was a place where... Oh, Being a heaven. film student in college, holy shit! I would spend so much time there. I'd rent so much from there. I would just go in and browse sometimes, just standing in yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. Good. Sometimes it was frustrating. I'm a, I'm a, 
in a big store with lots of things I like, I sometimes get crippled by not being able to decide what I well, want. What was cool is that like you, I would learn about some weird obscure film that got banned in Russia 30, 30 years ago. Yeah. And I'd walk in and be like, do you have this? And they'd be like, yeah, we do. And give like some burned DVD. Yeah. That you could rent for a dollar. I was like, bad at renting things from there because I would get distracted by the obscurity of something. Right. And I would rent things that were just like, oh, I can't believe they have the old Beatles cartoon show. Exactly. Or Eat the Document by Bob Dylan. But that was what I loved. But I would get that and then I'd be like, oh, I should have rented something that I think I would have really liked. Yeah. You know? Oh, and just look what's there now. I know, this is the worst. Yeah. See, I remember walking up those stairs. Oh, that was actually one of my... Although, wait, what? that's Barcade now, though, right? That's actually not bad. Hold on. Is it? It's a, it's a video arcade. Really? It's a, it's a they, bar where you play old video games. That's what... Uh, they turned this into a barcade? That's the same as the one that's up near... Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's weird well, to me the that they're expanding games. so much like that. Yeah. I like it, though. Um, I, that's better than what was in there before. Which is a, uh, it was three Korean karaoke places. Yeah. One of my favorite moments. Oh, I mean, if we're talking about changes. Yeah, this is huge. Gosh. We're at Astor Place now. I used to go to this pizza place all the time in California. Yeah. Um, this used to be right there was the, it was a Cooper Union building. And then for a while it was a Starbucks. And then they turned the Starbucks into the quote-unquote New York Film Academy Cafe, <laughs> which New York Film Academy is like the biggest scam in the history of the universe. And they had a university cafe, but then they knocked everything down and put up this giant eyesore. But someday, the people who... That's where Lincoln gave uh, his uh, stump speech or whatever. His big address. Yeah. This is like, he did it right there. Pretty cool. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm glad Lincoln can't see what Under St. Mark's has turned into. One of my favorite moments uh, in coming up was when I was Lloyd Kaufman's ghostwriter. Uh-huh. Lloyd I, Kaufman from Troma? Yes. I was his ghostwriter. So any interview that he did, I wrote it. What about the book? I've asked you this before. The book? Uh, the reason I quit was because I was asked to write the book <laughs> for $200, and I declined. Oh, shit. Oh. I'm going to get more than that for the half-hour improv show I do tomorrow. But I wrote some of the outline for producer on Game Movie. Yeah. $200 to write that whole book? Yeah. That's unbelievably cheap. I can't yeah. believe that. But they were like, well, James Gunn read the other one, and he made Slither, and now he's like this huge director. Yeah, he did Guardians of the Galaxy, right? Yeah. Well, what's funny is... Uh, Should have written that book, J.D. You could have done Guardians of the Galaxy. Well, Lloyd always said, he was like, I think you're going to be the next big talent out of the brackish waters of Tromo. You, you and James are going to be up there. So now that James Gunn's doing well, I'm like, all right. That's I, right. All right, I'll do that. But I wrote this interview for Lloyd for Penny Blood Magazine, which was a gore magazine. Yeah. And I remember one day going to Kim's video and walking up, and the cover was Lloyd Kaufman and said, exclusive interview with Lloyd Kaufman. And it was like really fun to walk up and the whole wall was plastered with these magazines. Yeah. Of an article that I, you know, of an interview that I had written. Yeah. 
It was really fun. That is fun. Um, it was my first moment of like, oh, I made something that people in the world are going to read and see. Yeah. Something you get your phone. Every now and then it just dies and I have to just do a battery pull to get it to start up again. That sucks. What really sucks for me is that BlackBerry has a new phone that looks like it's pretty good, but BlackBerry and T-Mobile uh, separated their arrangement, uh -huh. so I would like have to change my whole thing. So I'm just trying to hold on with this one because I don't want to change to a different right. phone service just to get the new phone. Right. I don't know if there's a way to hack the new BlackBerry to get it, but... I don't know. I don't have know. I told you this before? What? This is the old Wanamaker department store. No, you haven't. And um, every year at the Armory Games here in New York, which is the big... Or not the Armory Games, the Milrose Games. Um, here in New York, an indoor track meet, they have what's called the Wanamaker Mile is their big race. It's a mile race. And it's because uh, the workers at the Wanamaker department store built a wooden track on the roof of the building uh, and they would have races up there uh -huh. like um, quote unquote underground but truly above ground yeah uh, running races that they'd all bet on yeah and apparently there's still remnants of those tracks they built up there oh wow that's interesting how do you know that uh, yeah I just know it from I follow track and field and I know the history of that race mm. We're now in the subway station. Yeah. I think uh, it's pretty packed, so I think we're probably close to a train arriving. I think we've made good time here. Um, I think we're going to do what we need to do. But I think... Hey. Oh, hey, Brandon. Oh, a recurring guest on our podcast. Are you this is the second doing appearance. a podcast right now? Yeah. yeah. You're on oh. a 12-hour day. Great. Uh, this is my wife, Mariella. Hi. I'm Mariella. Nice I'm to meet you. Nice to meet you. We are on a podcast. We're on 12 Hour Day. And this is the second time you've appeared on 12 Hour Day. The second time I've been a guest on 12 Hour Day. Right now we're at the uh, New York University 8th Street stop of the end. It's already more detail than we gave about where we are. That's yeah. fantastic. Great. I feel like every time we record this, the only times I run into are when we're recording this podcast. Yeah, that the last time I saw you was recording the podcast at yeah. the Beast. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And how are you, Brandon? I'm good. We just uh, got done with Improv Nerds. Now we're, we've oh, been yeah. waiting a long time for a train. Oh. I think there might be train issues. Oh, no. Yeah. We might never get home. That's true. Our podcast is going to run long. Yeah. Because I think we just hit the 12-hour mark, like, right, like, it's 11:19, so we're right. about exactly the 12-hour mark. So we were figuring, like, well, the train ride home will be, like, a little bit of extra. We always run a little over. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But now, who knows? But we just forever. walked from the, we were at um, 25A mm -hmm. doing a, there was an indie show there. Uh -huh. um, so we probably just walked the same oh, yeah. probably journey that you walked. Um, what do you think the train issues could be? Um, I tried to look up on my phone, it doesn't say. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. I know that they're doing um, some different routes through Brooklyn, although I don't know why they would slow it down this much. Yeah. yeah. I feel a rumbling. I don't know if that's. Do you there see anything coming? Oh, yeah, there's something. Something coming? And it's got a red light. 
good chance it's an engine. If oh. it's an R, I'm going to be real upset. Yeah, Yeah, R for real upset. Um, if it's an N, I'm going to be you, not right? upset. What? R works no, for you. No, it doesn't. No, it would work for me because I can oh, take the R to, but it doesn't work for me in this context because right. I want to stay with JD until Queensville. It's an end train, everyone. Oh. Guys, we're fine. Price is averted. Unless it's too packed. It doesn't look to me. Or the end stands for not in service. Yeah. Uh, there's some nice sort of natural drama to this podcast where the listener would be like, what's happening with this train? Is it going to come? Yeah, you're good, great for that. Oh. Visit at Queen's Bell and local train. The next stop is 14th Street Union Square. Um, how did how did Improv Nerds go? Oh, hold on. Uh, Improv Nerds was good. Um, yeah, we had a fun show. Um, started a little late. Uh, the Nat Townsend Hour had some uh, uh, guests that went long, I guess, but it was fine. We went long in our in our set in the indie show. Mm-hmm. We went over. We had we had a twelve minute set. And how long did we go for? YouTube? Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, we had a twelve minute set. We did twenty five minutes. <laughs> nice. Yeah. You were calling your one out. No. What we did is we uh, we interviewed every audience member for the podcast. Oh great. But so everyone enjoyed it. And it was and like, everyone was everyone, com- everyone was complicit in our like they all contributed. Right. Every person in the room contributed to the delay. Right. Right. I don't think it was a real problem. Was there one indie team sort of hosting it? Yeah. It was uh, yes, Water Trash. No, not Water First Trash. First Crush. First Crush. Water Trash. out of the uh, indie team. Circa, I don't know those. I probably it's a new. I think students. it's their first show. I yeah, think it might be their first the, show. Those are like the two indie teams I know. Okay, cool. Water. Actually, yeah. What were the names of your guys' indie teams? I was on Jump on 3. I remember Jump on 3. And then I was on Swag later. Right. Were those the only ones? Was Jump on 3 your first indie team? Yeah. Uh-huh. But that was back in a period of time where, like, I feel like our generation is very much like you have your team and that's your tribe. Right. You stick with it. But I feel like also your generation was people that would be, like, on three or four of them. I feel like Phil was on a bunch well, of them. Zach Phil, was on a ton. Phil was, was on Jump on 3 and Dreamboat, and that was considered, like... That dude. Blasphemous. Like, the two teams that are somewhat rival teams. Right. And you are the one that created Dreamboat. It's true. Another callback is that the the thing we were talking about earlier, which is that the the noise has turned off. Uh, When they turn off the generators, suddenly you're just in this quiet room with a bunch of strangers. The the noise of the subway is gone. Yeah, it's disconcerting to suddenly. so quiet. Uh, what indie teams were you on? Secret Man Group. I remember that name. Yeah. Uh, I was also on the Shucks. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's a group that exists. Yep, I remember that too. Um, and a few other groups, but those were my main two groups. Okay. Yeah. Mariel, what do you do? Really? Okay. And on purpose, you're like, I'm going to take improv classes, but I don't want to be seen with these people. And she interns at a uh, film company. 
talked to a guy named Sparrow for quite a while, who is a kind of an old hippie radical guy who was at this free indie show, and he's just going around to see free free comedy shows. Is the thing he's into now. But he also like is very proud of like he'll go to he'll go to like MoMA and just try to go around the gift shop, read all the books, go sneak into the rooms that he's not supposed to be in, like kind of mischievous but principled. Right. It was very funny though because like. In talking to him, he would just naturally bring up topics that were like sort of like third beat callbacks to things we've been talking about throughout the day, just naturally. Yeah. And then even at one point, it was like such a weird moment. He's like, "Yeah, you know, I ran for president once," and I was like, "Well, Connor ran for president too," and it was like all these weird connections and things like that. Yeah. That was fun. Was he excited that you had run for president? Yeah, I wrote it. He wrote down information to look it up. He's going to look up my documentary. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen you in a while. Have you been in New York? I was in L.A. for two and a half months. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and I got back like two weeks ago, a week and a half ago. Were you working on like a specific thing out there? I was directing a show and then I was writing for a show. Oh. Yeah. Which, what were they? I was directing a pilot for Funny or Die and Telepictures and then I was uh, writing for a new Comedy Central pilot. Awesome. Yeah, it was really fun. Yeah. It was, I was... I was going to be out there for three weeks, and then suddenly it was two and a half months. Take the egg to a transfer. It's so nice about it. Is that, was that your first time living in the uh, Yeah, it was. And, like, I spent the first, like, half of it, like, staying on, like, Phil and Will's couch and, like, other friends. And then eventually I just got an Airbnb. But it was, like, a very bizarre experience. Right. What did you think of the living experience of the uh, it was fine. Like uh, the thing that I'm trying to dissociate is like between this guy. He's had a frustrating day. I can tell. But they're like fun jobs, so I'm trying to separate whether I just like the fun jobs and what part about LA I like because I can see it being a very lonely place when you're not working. Because everybody there, like, all they think about is film and TV, and all they want to talk about is what what thing they booked or what thing they're writing or what they're working on. And for the second half, I didn't have a car, so I was just Ubering. And every Uber driver had some script of their work trying to pitch or some show they wanted to make, and it was just like... You couldn't find a person that was just like a human. Exactly. So it was. It was fine, but I don't think I'd ever want to live there without. I, I like go out there for work, but I always want to have one foot in New York. Yeah, I'm impressed by people who go out there. Like I think it makes sense if you book something from New York go out there I can see doing that the people who are just like well I know there's more stuff out there so I'm just going to move and hope it happens like that sounds especially if you're moving like by yourself like a recipe for possibly some like miserable months yeah well you know I've sort of we have a lot of friends that live out there now 
And so it's interesting to see like the people who are working are really enjoying it, but the people who sort of aren't or sort of went out there. It's like you know how it's like you should never be in a relationship to like solve a problem, right? right. Similarly, like you should never like move somewhere to solve a problem. So I feel like there's a lot of people that were living in New York and things weren't really happening or they're feeling depressed or lonely and they're like, I know, I'm going to get my career going, I'm going to move to LA. But it's like, it's a city that's not collaborative, a city you that's fix yourself not... first. Exactly. And so it's the kind of thing where I could see, I could see you going out there and yeah, immediately just... Because even for me, who I have lots of friends right. out there, it's very isolating because... You go home. There's not like a bar to go out there. It's not a theater to go out yeah. to. There's no like community space. There's not. You can't in New York. It's like even if you're lonely, you can walk out, just wander the streets and be among people. LA, that's not a thing. Even if you're Exactly. Yeah. I do feel like people maybe in LA do more sort of like a planned things with friends. Like, let's do this together. Or I'm going to come over to your place and we'll watch this show on this night. Yeah. Um, as ways of like continuing to be social. Because you're not going to run into something. Exactly. And I think it's the kind of thing too. It feels like everyone's always, like, metaphorically, like, in their car. Like, it's very much like, I'm just going to do my thing. Whereas in New York, because everyone's on top of each other, you're always sort of like, here's the thing going on with me. Which I find a little more interesting. Do you like driving? Uh, not in L.A. Like, I like driving in the suburbs where I grew up. And, like, I like that feeling of just, like, at night, you know, I'm going to go for a drive. But in L.A., it's not like that. It's like... Late night. Yeah, that's, like that's a big thing with deciding if you want to go to LA. It's like, how much do you like driving? How cool are you with being in traffic? Yeah. yeah. It's such a different style of driving. I used to take a book with me. Right. Because I would literally be Right. Yeah, like yeah. when I visit, last time I visited LA was in 99. I was visiting a friend and I was like, oh, the traffic. When you visited LA was 99? Yeah. Wow. Really? You haven't been back 15 years? Yeah. Wow. Um, I've had no reason to be there. Yeah. Um, I really have just gone to visit New York friends that have moved out there. Right. But, like, you'll be in, like, bumper to bumper, but really fast traffic, and be like, ugh, this is terrible traffic. And my friend was like, no, this is great traffic. Bad traffic is when all these cars aren't moving. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, ugh, I hate it. If this is the yeah. nice traffic, I hate it. Yeah. And then I sort of lost my mind, too, with every day it was, like, 71 degrees and, like, partly cloudy, which is perfect weather. It's great. Right. But then after like a week of it, another week, and then like two and a half months of it, I was just like, give me one cloudy day just to make like the nice days. Right. And the last time they've had substantial rainfall in Los Angeles was three years ago. That's an insane statistic. That's insane to me. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. See, I felt I the last time I went to, I went to LA maybe a year ago, and I think it did rain part I was there, and I felt cheated. I was like, well, this is the one thing that I should have as a guarantee. Right. I should have four days of sunshine. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, I was out in San Francisco earlier this year, and it was raining so hard on the last day that I was there that I couldn't do anything. I just went to the airport early because I was like, I don't have a car. So I'm just like getting around and I'm getting drenched and I'm checked out of my hotel 
and I can't just wander around with my bag in the rain. So I'm like, I'm going to go to the airport, even though it's a, I could have a whole day. But I couldn't really, like, it was raining so hard that I was just like, Ugh, I can't believe I'm in San Francisco, but I can't really afford to go anywhere. I'm just going to go to the airport where they have free Wi-Fi and I can sit down and be dry. Yeah. Uh, uh, there's a corporate tour cut thing in Portland this uh-huh. week. I went with uh, Chelsea and Kevin and Abra. Yeah. And at the least, it, like, was sort of drizzling. Yeah. And the most it was pouring the right. entire time we were there. Yeah. We were there, like, Tuesday and Thursday. And uh, so we just had to do every, like, we did, like, a walking tour in the rain. We did, everywhere we went was by foot. And everyone there has the like I think identical coat, which is like a hood that like goes out further over your head than like normal hoods go. Yeah. No one very few people had umbrellas, which I liked because I don't like New York, that's one of the things that's like miserable is everyone with their giant umbrella. Yeah, I got jabbed in the neck by someone's umbrella the other day. Just like the spoke went right into my neck and I was just like It's ah. when you're tall. Right. They're like eye level. Yeah. Yeah. And people don't Think. Yeah, they don't have an awareness of how big they are. Either. You guys should do a podcast called Tall, Tall Guys. It's getting it done. Yeah. yeah. The amount of it's like problems. Yeah. yeah. Small basements. Small things basements. Like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm gonna see you tomorrow. Yeah. Connor and I are doing another corporate a show for Ford Motors. I think so. For four people. Ford. Ford. Motors. Ford. Oh, Ford. Ford yeah. people. Ford. Ford. Ford people. Your, hard people. people. Uh, yeah, like eleven in the morning. We're doing a half an hour. So. Wear your wear your denim and your uh, beaten button ups. Is that, that a, oh yeah? Get that Ford what's this, strong. What's the slogan? Ford quality built tough. Is that their thing? Built tough. Built Ford tough. Yeah, I think. Yeah, Ford tough. Yeah. I think we're interviewing like a high up there and then doing the improv based on that. I've heard that you guys have done corporate stuff. I've heard that never goes well. When you do like the interview the boss and then do improv based on it? The one we did in Portland, we did it for uh, Wyden and Kennedy, the ad firm. And the guy we interviewed was super cool, very funny, good interview. And the funniest part was he was like, he was probably in his 50s, but he had like sort of like beautiful long silver hair and like very cool glasses and he was like dressed very casually. Um, and so when he said he was the boss, we were like, oh, you must be like the crazy, he's like, oh, there's one like uh, serious, you know, buttoned up guy and then there's two art- artsy guys. He's like, oh, you must be one of the artsy guys. He's like, no, I'm the buttoned up guys. You should see the creative dudes. Because um, he is the like most like chill Portland right. guy. Yeah. Um, Stepfathers did a corporate thing a year or so ago and it was for HBO. Uh-huh. It was for like HBO's big meeting and... Um, and we were, it was a surprise for one of the higher-ups that she, she, she was going to be interviewed and do the set. And uh, the first scene that happened, uh, Jordan stepped out, Jordan Klepper, now on The Daily Show, he stepped out and he started doing a scene. Hold on, I wait for this guy to stop talking. It's like that thing where he's excited that he gets to do it, yeah. but he's acting like he's exasperated by it. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so Jordan steps out, and the first thing that he, the first 
like specifically throws in the scene has to do with taping the show Homeland on his DVR and he was just doing it without thinking that that's a Showtime show and not an HBO show and uh, the whole crowd thought he was Try, doing it on purpose Razzing, to like yeah. to razz the so there's like this murmur throughout the crowd and then Jordan and Jordan I think is the last guy on the stuff college to do that as yeah. an intentional yeah, thing yeah to like jab someone yeah and uh, you could see him like trying to figure out what did I just do and then he was like oh it's a great show it just uh, needs to be on a better network <laughs> saved yeah it's yeah. okay to pander when it's a corporate show yeah yeah like, whatever gets us out we did a uh the best tour coach trip we've ever taken was a corporate one where this company brought us down to the Dominican Republic for their like they had like a retreat and they brought us down to perform for them and everything was great about it we had a really fun uh, show we went long like the first half we did probably like an hour and so afterwards they're like oh that's probably you probably don't want anymore right because people are starting to leave and they're like no just do like 20 more minutes we love it we're so cool we love it go crazy do whatever you want they're like, all right. So we like all had a drink at the bar, came back and did the set. And um, then in the second half, there was like one of those improv things where you were like looking at a sonogram of a baby. Right. And it became a thing about, uh, oh, is that his leg? No, it's his penis. Like sort of classic improv thing. But eventually it led to a scene where later in the show a woman was delivering that baby. And in our like, we had had like a drink, so we were pretty loose already, and like everyone loved us, so we were like, let's just go for it. And what happened was the doctor said that the baby had an erection, couldn't be delivered, unless someone was to masturbate the baby. And so we did that, so someone like reached so into the- So who was the group? It was just me, Gabrus, Fran, uh, <laughs> Shannon, and Gavin. Of course, that's, of course that's it was. Almost exactly how I expected it was. And, um, then we got like in trouble afterwards and people like at the event went to their HR representatives and complained about the fact that we, we masturbated a, a, a baby during its delivery a baby so you guys got fi- like you got told on by corporate like, uh, they were like oh yeah that company was really mad at us they didn't want to pay us they that's really funny for the shuttle bus now, do you still do Torco stuff at all, or do you just do whenever they ask for, like, corporate stuff? I'll do, like, the corporate workshops mainly. But you're, the, uh, you're the director of Torco. Yeah, I'm, like, quote-unquote the director. Basically, Torco now has uh, rehearsals, which we never used to rehearse. And it's more of, like, a smaller set group. So I, like, coach the Torco team, basically. Okay. Yeah. Which is fun. Yeah. yeah. A lot of funny people on it. Uh, yeah, it's cool. It's, like... I guess the pros and cons, like the con, I guess, for a lot of people is um, it used to be your chance to perform with all these people you normally wouldn't. Yeah. Like if it, they weren't on your team, it was your chance. Like, oh, the con, like I never performed with yeah. until Turco. Um, but now I guess there's like a little bit more cohesion of like you're always playing with a set team. So there is like, a, I think, especially at this point, they've been together a few months. And at this point, I've already done a lot of shows in reverse. Right. But there's like more... I think group mind to their, their shows than there necessarily was with like a random group of four. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we had some fun shows. We went to St. Louis. We, yeah. Connor and I we got went stuck to the in top of the uh, uh, arch. Yeah. We went to a brewery. Yep, we went to a brewery. We tried to leave St. Louis and they wouldn't let us. We had to stay, go back yeah. to the hotel. Yep. Good times. We went to Finland. Late night. Yeah, we also went to Finland. 
I'm glad that St. Louis was loomed larger in your mind than yeah. uh, Finland. St. Louis is the first one I think of Finland, yeah. Yeah, Finland was particularly weird. We talked about how, and if you're just listening to the podcast now, the train has become very crowded. It started off with seats. I'm sitting, my wife is sitting, you gentlemen are standing. Yeah. Um, it's gotten very crowded. Now it's just a question of how hard I get pushed into this metal bar. Uh, <laughs> Right now, I'm at the point where I can bear it, but I could imagine one one more person as far as displacement, and I would be like folded around it, where that would be like the bar would be indented into me. I'm yeah. very excited for the final speech. This guy's he'll, he'll be able to give it up at Queen's Row. Oh, yeah, you would hope. Yeah. yeah, this is going to be his curtain call. He has to go up in the back. Well, yeah. So this is, we're we're hitting the, at the tail end of the podcast now. I, I can jump off at Queen's Row. Okay. Wait for. Oh, wait for a seven. Right. So we, usually, we usually do the opposite. Oh, right. Right. That makes sense. Where do you live right now? Astoria. Oh, yeah. What's up? 30th Ave. Nice. Where do you oh. guys live? Uh, Dimars Boulevard. Right. Yeah. Two good stops. Yeah. yeah. Uh, contingency, though. What if we get to Queens Road and there's already a 7 in the station? Then we, then we got to end it frantically, we right? we got to end it frantically. Yeah, but that we'll, we'll do that when it happens. We're one stop away, regardless, listeners. Viewers. Yeah. Well, don't. Listen, just let it ride. They'll know it ends when it ends. I know. I just want to brace people that coming up, the end of the fifth episode. So how long have you lived in Astoria? I moved in in April. So, so just April. How, how are you liking the neighborhood? I love it. I used to be, I moved to New York in October. And when I used to visit New York, I was just a stay in Manhattan. And I used to be one of those people who like, I never leave Manhattan. This is gross. I don't know any other boroughs. Yeah. Well, yeah, you moved to the Lower East Side first. Oh, yeah, I did. In the projects. So that was your first experience. Where'd you move from? England, London. I lived in London for a few years. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Clapham Common. I was in Clapham South, actually. That was my stop. Clapham South. I used to live in Brixton, and I always used to say, yeah, I live in Clapham. Yeah. Great movie theater in Brixton. Yeah, I saw Rushmore there. Yeah. I once tried to go see the movie Microcosmos. Uh, at, at a movie theater in Brixton. Do you know that documentary, Microcosmos? You've probably seen it in video stores. The, one, the, the cover of the VHS, the DVD, is a praying mantis wearing sunglasses in front of a sun. Maybe I have. It, always, of, it looks like a weird comedy, but it's just a document, nature it's documentary. It's lots of like, really close-up bugs, really close-up photography. And I saw that there was going to be a screening on Saturday morning of this movie that I missed when it was first out. And I was like, oh, great, I'll go Saturday morning, I'll go see Microcosmos. And I went, I wasn't living in Brixton, I went all the way to Brixton, I went to the movie theater, and they wouldn't let me in because they were like, this is a screening for like kids and families. <laughs> and so I was furious because. But I was like, I was like, I came all the way here to see this. And they're like, you can't come in without a kid I'm like it didn't say that in the listings it was just this and I'm like look it's just for kids and I'm like I resented being treated as if I was trying to do something right. horrible and I was like I just want to see this movie I've never seen it I'm I not- just want to see these bugs close up <laughs> but I've never seen the movie you should have just grabbed a kid and be like I'm with this kid yeah. I think I would have probably that would have exacerbated the situation yeah fine really to solve my problem of being treated like I'm some sort of creep I'll just grab a random child to get into this movie I wonder if the people who made the film 
like had approval over how the box looked. If they looked at it like this is not a movie, it's like this looks like such a dumb comedy. Why did you put sunglasses on a book? If I remember, I think is it released by Weinstein? Might have been. I think it might have been. Who at that period of time were sort of famous for like. We know what we're doing. I guess modern exploitation in the sense that they're just like, how can we market this movie to make it right. make its money back? And that was, it came out really in the like video store era. So I do think that it was like, put sunglasses Look, on you the made a, madness. You made a movie about bugs. We're doing our best to try to make it cool. Right. What was it? Was it Kangaroo Jack that was also like the advertising was changed? Yeah, that's just a documentary about kangaroos, but they were like, let's call him Kangaroo Jack. Wait, I don't know that story. I could be wrong. I feel like there's something where like Kangaroo Jack originally was like a small character in like a larger comedy, and they like screen test and everybody loves Loves Kangaroo Jack. Reshot it so Kangaroo Jack is a much bigger part, named it Kangaroo Jack, and then released it as Kangaroo. Oh, weird. (laughs) I hope. I hope that's true. Yeah, like probably one of the worst of all time. Yeah. Oh man. In we're, terms of money spent in people guys, whose we, minds were dedicated to it. Right. Guys, do we really want to end this for our podcast by shitting all over Kangaroo Jack? Is that who we are? Is that who we want to be? What if they're listening? Can you imagine? Sorry, if, Jack. If Kangaroo Jack is listening to this podcast <laughs> and he gets all 12 plus hours into it just to hear this, I'll be devastated. If I'm not wrong, Kangaroo Jack rapped. And sunglasses so. and a beanie during the trailer. Yeah. yeah. If, oh, who was in it? Sean Williams, what's his name? The Sean Stifler? William Scott? Yeah. It was Sean William Scott and what's his name? Um, um, uh, the comedian, black comedian, heavy set. Uh, Cedric? Who died? No. Oh, wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cedric the Entertainer? No. Oh, um, I know who you're talking yeah. about. Uh, what was his name? He was very funny. The black um, comedian that died? Yeah, he was heavy set. I saw him do stand-up once. Like the only joke I remember was him like talking about like waiting for buses and like fantasizing about punching people next to him. Right. He was really funny, and he was always on Tough Crowd with Colin Quinn. Call back. I taught improv to a one to his ex-wife. Really? Yeah. How did you come about knowing that? I, I, I always ask people in my tutoring classes what they do for a living. I'm always curious. And sometimes get things that I'm like glad I ask because they're interesting. Um, but she sort of at the time, her, I think, job was sort of overseeing his like foundation or something. I think there was like maybe some sort of scholarship in his name or some sort of charity or something that she sort of ran his... Uh, Estate, I guess. Weird. Oh, his was his ex-wife or his widow? Widow. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Make, I thought it was his ex-wife for a second. I was like, that would be weird to divorce someone and run their estate. Yeah. We're approaching Queensborough Plaza. Ever been, to, ever been to Scandals? No, I always look at it when I uh, stop here. It's, it's a okay. very bizarre. Queens, I met my wife at Scandals. Oh, there's All right. Well, keep your mic. Keep yeah. your back there Wednesday. I will. Yeah. It's been, it's been a... Happy 12-hour day to you. We've had a very nice day. A very good day. Thanks for having this day with me. Thanks to our guests.
Thanks for a guess. All right, see you, Kyle. All right, I'm going to try as much as I can to keep I'll let you talk. broadcasting. We're now evacuating the train. Everyone's pushing real hard. Oh, God. Ow. And there's no fucking way I'm going to get on that train. It's a claustrophobe's nightmare. I'm not even going to fucking attempt to get on that train. Yeah. I'm not going to even fucking attempt to get on this fever dream of a train. Oh. Yeah, let's have a nice seat. Yeah. When I look at a train, when I look at a train that's that packed, I just think, enjoy your fucking nightmare. Well, then we can end this. We can end this more oh. ceremoniously. Yeah. There's I, something funny about us sitting here with both of our trains right away. Yeah. Something about friendship, Connor. Yeah. I think uh, I have a policy, even when it makes me late to work in the morning, that when the trains are running late or when the trains are running overcrowded, I won't get in a train if I think I couldn't bear to be trapped under the water in that train for 10 minutes. Right. Like, when it's so packed that people are squeezing their way onto the train, I just think, oh, I'd rather be late than being yeah. in that for... Um, I will time. often walk from the this stop, Queensboro, to the G train over yeah. there. I always walk by the Korean Times building there. Yeah. And you see them printing that newspaper all the time. I think that's sort of fun. Oh, here's me. Here's you. All right, well. All right, Connor. Thank you for having this 12-hour day with yeah, me. Yeah, thank you for having this 12-hour day with me. I, I, I hope this was a good episode. I think it was. I think people really probably would have enjoyed it. Uh, especially the end of it. It's a, the ending of this we, we close strong. Yeah. Uh, uh, thanks to all our guests. And uh, JD's going to get on the train now. And this is a much more reasonably uh, yeah, this not crowded train. And I think my seven's going to be pretty good, too. Yeah. I've got a good feeling about it. I think you're be I'll good. I'll text you and let you know if it was good. Okay. Let me know. All right. Uh, yeah. Uh, and to everyone out there having days, we hope that your 12-hour days are as nice as ours. We consider you our friends, and thank you for spending this day with us. Yeah. Hopefully we'll see you on the next one. Yeah, which will be sooner than the last one was. So long, Connor. Bye, J.D. Bye, Connor. We're now... Uh, My train's tra- He's leaving away. on the train. I'm standing on the platform. We're going to lose Connor and very soon. I'm alone. Hey,